Test, 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 JD. This is JD, JD, JD. Testing, testing, testing. Testing, testing. This is Connor. I am testing. This is Connor. So, Connor, here we are talking right now. It's true. You nailed it. That's exactly what's happening. How come I feel like whenever I set the levels, yeah, they sound great, and then we start recording, and they seem all over the place. Is that just because I'm moving positions and stuff like that? It could be that. That's probably what it is. I'll move this closer to my diaphragm. See, now I'm getting more resonant. Uh, no, I think I'm fine. Okay. We'll just go with this and I'll deal with it all later. All right. I'll put this on hold. Okay. All right. <clears throat> So we are, wait, let me just make sure. Okay. Mm. Connor? JD? Okay. I'm fine with this. We'll go with these levels. We'll adjust them probably later. These are the levels? I think these are the levels. If they're bad, I'll fix them later. Eddie, I do appreciate the fact that you handle so much of the, I mean, all of the tech for this. Well, you know what? I, I, I feel like our trade-off is that... You'll sometimes take a secret nap, tell me months later? No. I feel like I do 12-hour day and you do Terry Withers. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Like, uh, I do all the, like, busy work and, like, tedious things of yeah. this. And, and you I do, do all busy the work busy work and tedious things of that. That's true. That makes sense. Um... And then if we were to, to do a third project, we'd have to really split it. Yeah. Um, it's just a podcast about a guy and his boss and the two projects where they split things. Stop that. I'm not your boss. Technically, you are. Don't you think you would have the hiring and firing decision? If I did something wildly inappropriate, you'd probably be the person who'd be like, Connor, we got to let you go. I am actually your boss. See, why would you say but you we're friends before? first. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah, because I think... Uh, yeah, because I think the... I was trying to think of what the flip side of it would be, but, like, it's easier to imagine a circumstance in which we amicably decide, oh, let's not do this job. You, you know, like, I wouldn't do it or you wouldn't do it. Or, you know, something where I would be like, oh, that than it is to imagine a, a situation where, like, amicably we decided to not be friends anymore. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I do. I, that is my favorite thing about how the concept of uh, the concept of this podcast changed, that it started off just as two guys who were friends, and then at some point during it we realized that technically one of them became the other one's boss. Yeah, and then, like, <clears throat> episode, like, 17 or 18 will be the episode of a murderer and his victim. And who knows who? Evidence. Who knows who? I think it'll be way later than episode 17. Uh, I imagine oh. we'll be taking more breaks. God, can you imagine what a nightmare that would be for the police if they're like... Oh my God. The lead, the lead suspect in this. Uh, he made a podcast <laughs> with his victim. Like, oh, you got to listen to all of them. It's 12 hours long? Because that they'd have... hilarious. They'd have to... They'd have to listen to all those episodes. This would be a police... Well, there'd be like lawyers in the case that would be like... The lawyers would have to listen to it all. Like, listen to every single minute. So they'd, like, 
One of us killed the other one. And they can't but quite then, prove it, so they have to listen to these to try to establish motive. Yeah, but then, like, they're, like, they're like hour 10 into, like, episode 3, and we're doing King Bad Boy and fucking... Yeah. Talking about which Muppets... What new Muppet we'd create. Ooh, it would be a nightmare if one of us was falsely accused, and then they started listening to this for evidence, and they got to the part where we were, like, openly speculating about a harrowing future to that, that place in Arizona or wherever, in the rain... Remember that? No. We were speculating about one of us killing the other. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, that would be a nightmare because it'd be hard to explain. It's like a weird joke we're making. They're like, they played that excerpt in the court. Let's give, let's give the courtroom right now <laughs> just some easy sound bites they can use in the case of our murder, one of us murdering the other one. Look, I could do it. And they'll never be able to prove it, because everything I say is a joke. No, what, what I'll say is, uh, I don't like doing this. <laughs> you know, why? Are you nervous? One of us actually gonna kill the other one? No. Are you worried this will actually come back and bite us in some way? No. I mean, if this is our first episode of 2016. And it's been such a, in, in many ways, it's such a cruel year. My God, how's it been? Yeah. Not, it's been, but cruel in a very targeted way. Like, there are other years where, like, it felt like there were bigger, more disastrous things happening, where you could be like, there's this happening in this part. Of, and those things right. are still happening, obviously, but it's felt more personal this year. You know? What do you mean? Just like... All these, like, famous deaths, um... Oh, my God. Feel... It's not like there weren't famous people dying last year. You know? But these ones feel like direct shots at you and I. Yeah. And everybody kind of seems to feel like that. They're, they're going... It feels like they're going after... It's like the end of the Godfather movie, where they're, like, taken out of the heads of all the families, you know? Yeah. Like, the fact that in, we're now up to, we're about to do the eighth episode of season two of The Gethard Show, and there have been, so of, uh, and I've done six of those seven episodes, so out of six Thursdays going to work, one of those Thursdays Gary Shandling died, and on another Thursday Prince died. Yeah. So it's like... I now have, like, a slight association with the day that the show tapes being kind of like, oh, maybe maybe a, a famous legend, a famous groundbreaking cultural person is going to die. Like, I've gotten to the point now where, like, when I wake up on a Thursday, I kind of have this impulse of, like, oh, Thursday's today. It's almost like it's like, oh, it's Taco Tuesday. Yeah. That I feel like, oh, who is the next person going to be? I think we should... Quickly establish who we are. Yeah. For new listeners or viewers. Welcome, new uh, listeners or viewers. Um, I'm JD. I'm Connor. And we host the podcast 12 Hour Day. That's it. That's all you need to know. 12 Hour Day with JD and Connor. We're the titular characters. Connor and I met. Uh, we're both comedians. We in, met. In New York City. New York City. But we're both from the Midwest. Yeah, we met years ago. Connor's from out the suburb of St. Louis. Uh, yeah. Wait. Suburb of uh, 
No suburb, just its own city. Jefferson City, state capital. Oh, right. Oh, right. But my dad Why grew up I, in... No, you're a suburb of Jefferson City, you're not from... Well, Jefferson City doesn't have suburbs. It's not a big enough city to have that. Right, but aren't you from a... Isn't the town you're from got a name? Jefferson City. I guess that's But true. it's not really a city. It was voted... I can't picture Jefferson City as my problem. Because uh, when I picture you growing up, I picture a very similar Midwestern uh, suburban... Look up Jefferson City and uh, Most Beautiful Small Town. Because there was a thing recently, and it's one of those, it's one of those websites that's like, you go to it and it's just all clickbait articles about how great, like, you won't believe how great this Nebraska gas station restaurant is. And it'll be like, um... Is it this video? I don't know. There, but there's a website that is, um... Right now I'm looking at a video that's titled Jefferson City MO 2013 Winner Most Beautiful. Yeah. So one Rand McNally's most, be- music Oops. most beautiful small town in America. Well, now I'm just seeing a gentleman biking. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the beauty? Is this a, is this truly Jefferson City? Yeah. Mm. That I believe is the Katy Trail. Um, that's Missouri River. I mean, these aren't. I don't haunt these locations very often. Let's see. Looks like it's now there. I've been around there. That's the Capitol building. Capitol building is very nice. Um, but any kind of Capitol. I, that's the Governor's Gardens. I used to do Shakespeare in the Park there. That's the Governor's Mansion. Um, we did uh, Shakespeare in the Park in the Governor's Gardens a few years, and then we moved it to a place called Memorial Park. That um, is the Loman Opera House for a while. That that almost was a theater that we worked in uh, when we were doing plays, and it there was, it's right next to a Taco Bell. You didn't have much to say about Giannis Coffee Zone. Um, oh, I've been there a few times. That's nice. Um, yeah, it's mostly the downtown area that I'm seeing here in this video. I think that was a prison. I think that that was a library. It's a barbershop. Um, it's funny that the prison... Uh, Central Dairy is great. Um, it's funny that a prison because it's architecturally interesting, was mixed in among those... Oh, it's a weird-looking baby. (laughs) Weird-looking babies. Plus, not a good baby. Yeah. Is that how you picture me growing up? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Let's let's look up Wilmette, Illinois. Most beautiful city. (laughs) Yeah. I I have a feeling every city has been voted this at some point by Ray McNally. 100... Oh, you made the top 150 Illinois cities? That's a hilarious list. The top 150. Oh, look at this. Look at this one. The 10 snobbiest places in Illinois, according to Road Snacks. Fucking Road Snacks. No, it's always it's always the Baha'i Temple. What's the Baha'i Temple? So, uh, you know the the Baha'i religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have one temple in wherever. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm gonna look it up. Uh, Uh, where are they? I believe it's in India. Mm-hmm. And then they've built one at the exact opposite spot in the world, on the other side of the world, and it happens to be in Wilmette. And so, we'll, at least that's what we were always told. That might not be true. 
that's like the 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 town knowledge mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And it's basically a Baha'i temple in a you know, a very non Indian, non it's like a very white Yeah, so it's a little John Hughesy world. But uh-huh. there's just this beautiful giant temple in there. Do you go in there? Yeah. It was real pretty. It looks beautiful. Um little snobby. Yeah, you know. I don't know why. This is a video of yeah. It's the most Top, most expensive homes. I don't know, this is not what I wanted to see. I'll just look up Wilmette, Illinois. Yeah. Here, we'll learn all about Wilmette, Illinois. Ooh. How long is it? You're gonna learn everything in ninety seconds? Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, a bus? It's a car. Where is this? Oh. So this is just suburban homes. Yep, that's a street. A person can walk. Yep, that's a street. That's the Crystal Cave. Very quickly, there's was three ways to get around. Yeah, here's where the train. train. Yep. Four ways. Train, I assume, is more for getting out of Wilmette there's or the getting lake. there. Look at the beautiful lake. Swim. Gilson Park. Amazing park. Boat. Boat. This is where I would try to work in the summers. You ever play there on that playground? Yeah, that was a great playground. Played there many times. Did you play sports on that grass? That's the Baha'i Temple. Yeah, this is Gilson Park. This is... Mm. Okay. This is this is the school where I grew up. Wow. Uh, McKenzie. PTA meeting on Tuesday. Yeah, that was always the big night in the middle. <laughs> uh, where is this? Is this 4th and Linden? No, this is... Yeah, this is the central hub downtown. Um, anyway, so Connor and I are both uh, Korean friends. Yeah. We met... Um, one of our first big conversations that we had was on a rainy day. And we were both in, in, in New York City. And this is some I'm sure this is something we've talked about before on this, but... Uh, maybe I'll say it differently, so you'll get a different twist on it. But um, the improv comedy scene in New York, you know, people take classes, there are various theaters, UCB is sort of the, the central hub of learning and trying to get onto like house teams. But there's an indie scene when you're taking classes where you form your own teams and you either try to host a show and get other teams to perform in it or you get booked on other people's shows, and you try to perform various little indie venues around town. And JD and I were both uh, on teams. We both had indie teams that we'd set up. It usually happens when you had a few classes and you start to get a little bit confident, you want to get some stage time and experience. And JD and I, I the first conversation I ever remember having was us sort of realizing that we each had an approach towards the way we wanted to do our shows. Uh, you remember this conversation, JD? I remember the... I don't remember the content of the conversation. We were both just talking about how um, the way Jump On 3, your oh, group yes, approached shows, and the way Secret Man Group approached our monthly show, that we tried to make it a good show overall. And Connor's not talking about the content of the show itself, but more just like the... Well, the content was a part of it, but it was the experience of going to the show should be like a yeah. night out. Yeah, and the structure of the show. And I think I remember getting excited because... 
It's interesting because now that I think about that kind of situation, I think for a lot of people, that conversation would be a competitive one. Right. But I remember getting excited thinking like, oh, it's not stupid that I think about shows this way. It was exciting to meet someone else who also thought like we wanted to like because you book guest groups as a way of getting people to come see your show. But we both prided ourselves on try- like J- Jump on Three would do big conceptual kind of event shows, right? In Secret Man Group, you guys tried to t- create a show that was like a yeah. We would do a show where we, must w- attend. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to do a show that we would open the show, and then the other group that co-hosted with us would close the show, and the guest groups would be sandwiched in the middle, so that because a lot of times people would host a show and it'd be a single group. And the the typical structure is like the the main group would perform last, the host group. But sometimes, uh, for a lot of shows, not jump on three, but a lot of shows that had that structure, the the show would open with like the weakest groups. Yeah. And we always felt like and then close and whoever hosted it. Yeah. Yeah. And so we always felt like even if we had like a newer group or something like that in the show, that we wanted to open it because we felt like we wanted to set the level for the show. And then we found that even for newer, even for less experienced groups we booked, that they would tend to try to the energy of the room. They would rise to that level a little bit, um, as opposed to you would. It would go the other way sometimes, where you would, if you had a new two prob group or a new like indie team that opened and maybe they didn't do so good, that it would kind of spread like a cancer through the show. Yeah. Um, but I remember it was raining. I think my parents were in town because we were we ended the 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 conversation outside the. Hotel yeah. where my parents were staying, and that I think was our first actual uh, conversation. And now I work as a director and producer, TV. And Connor is a executive producer. There we go. EP. And Connor is a successful actor and local personality, writer, creator of his own. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's who we are. Yeah. This is what our voices sound like. And we've been doing this podcast for a few years now. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Because when, we st- when, I, when I first proposed this idea, it was almost as like a dare. Yeah. And now it's become a thing that, we, that people identify us with. Because we're, we're, we're closing in on, I think, a two and a half year anniversary. Yeah, you want to know interesting thing? Because yeah. I don't know the exact people, but there's been one or two people who have found the Gethard Show through this podcast. Yeah. And someone recently sent me something. What was it that they found through the podcast? Someone It was Joe. Uh there was uh she showed me there was a fan yes. letter and it was someone who discovered Joe Firestone through Twelve Hour Day. Yeah. It's so fascinating to think that anybody discovers For this to be an entry point to anything. This, this be- is like this is like <laughs> Entering a building through the, like, service entrance. It's I, like, maybe once or twice someone will accidentally have this be the entrance point to something. But it is yeah. the least welcoming, least sort of available. Like discovering the Plaza Hotel through the basement service entrance. Just yeah. like, oh, what's this? Open the door and then realize. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I was, I really like that. that that's how, it is kind of that thing, like, I discovered Elvis Costello through his... Uh, string quartet album and then listen to all the other ones and I'll meet a lot of other Costello fans will always be like that's a weird entry point yeah uh, that most people that is a a, 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 a cul-de-sac or a yeah yeah 
So it's interesting. It's like, it's like the the Matrix being your favorite movie because you saw the behind the scenes first. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because thinking back to because uh, I just had the t- the second year anniversary of this show that I do at ECB uh, called the George Lucas Talk Show, which which JD has been on a couple times. Yeah. And uh, where I pretend to be George Lucas and interview people. And I think it wasn't the first episode where I was like stressing about trying to organize a venue. Yeah. For that was like maybe the second episode or third. That might have been the third episode. Well, what's interesting is that when we set up to this podcast, we're always like, it can be sort of a time capsule of where we were in our life. Yeah. And it's weird to think that already, so the JD and Connor that you're listening to right now are so different than the JD and Connor that if you just, if you just click, Nine episodes back. Yeah. We were in such different places in our life then versus now. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like your personality has changed. Oh, no. Not in a bad... No, not in a bad way. Uh, what, in what way? I think you have a lot more confidence now. Oh, no. Not confidence. <laughs> I want to... Not confidence like... Competence? No. No, no, no. No, definitely not. Definitely not that. No, more... Um, You're more sure of what you want and are more determined to get it. Like, I feel like the Connor of two and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. like, there's certain things that you want to do that you, well, we've talked about you wanting to turn things into TV shows and things like that. Yeah. That you're like, let's do it. Why are we not doing this? Let's do this now. Let's sit down and have this thing. Whereas two and a half years ago, you were like, you were were fine working in a bookstore. Uh... And yeah. you, I think your exact quote would be like, nah, talking about that stuff, yeah, I don't like it. It, it. it stresses me out. I don't want to. It still stresses me out. I still don't like it. I still don't know if I want anything. But two and a half years ago, yeah. well, you I told wouldn't you. be the one going, hey, let's turn that. What are we doing? Why isn't this a TV show yet? Well, that's, I mean, the, I mean, we'll talk, we'll get into that. <laughs> I do think. It's interesting on the on the twelve hour day subreddit. Uh, Ramona po- posted the thing that was the um, personality. Did you do that? Yes, I did. There's a thing. It's Yale. Is it Yale? Uh, it's a personality analysis where you post. Oh no, I didn't do that. I did that. I did Myers Briggs. Oh okay. There's a, a Have thing. Have you done a? Uh, or wait, is that Myers Briggs? Uh, yeah, it sounds right. Um, there's a thing where you can. You put in large blocks of text that you wrote for anything, like Tumblr posts or Facebook, long Facebook posts or articles or essays or whatever, and it analyzes your personality based on the writing. And I was thinking it was going to be like a horoscope, like just a vague thing where it would, yeah. it would kind of, and it was like alarmingly specific, specifically about my, it was saying like this person has, uh, 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 an unconventional way of thinking about success or failure. Right. Um, doesn't have normal success goals. Um, which is an interesting... It is interesting to me how it's a, it's a central issue for me. Not in a bad way, because I think I'm always... I always feel comfortable. That's My problem is I don't ever... I don't ever feel particularly unsuccessful, even if you were to define it by, even at the moments where I feel like things aren't going well, there's a part of me that doesn't value it enough 
to feel bad about it. Right. Um, but like, I feel I, in some, sometimes I feel like I'm too healthy in the, in the sense of it, not defining my, uh, uh, self-worth. But I think it all, that also probably is a thing that you're I, not broken in the way that it propel, propels you forward. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like I am the opposite. Really? My, yeah. My failures are the, th- you know, like the things that are the things that you could look at and be like, oh, that's not a healthy perspective are the things that yeah require me to always be moving and doing things. Like, I think about, I think part of it is I look at very successful people and how they feel when the success fades and... Uh, when we recorded our last one, had we talked about, I'm sure we had talked about this overall, but like we recorded our last one before or after Force Awakens came out. When did Force Awakens come out? December. So we haven't talked about it? Have we not? How have we not? Maybe we haven't, because that was late December. I was right, but can't imagine Let that we would have... Let me look at see when last episode... ...was recorded, not posted, because it was posted... Cool, because I always title the episode the day that it was recorded. That's so smart. Um, but look at Lucas. 12 day. Episode 10 was December 12th. So that's before we've seen it, so... Oh, my God. I mean, there goes the episode, guys. guys. The, the amount of things that we have to talk about this I mean, episode that's it. That's are crazy. It. If you don't want to talk about The Force Awakens, if you don't want to hear us talk about that, I'm going to say go ahead and skip to the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, but look at, here, look at let, someone like... Let's do a quick table of contents of things that we have to discuss. I wrote down a bunch of things. I didn't write it down, but I thought about it a lot. Okay, you probably have a better memory than I have list. I've been in the hospital twice Oof. for serious things. Once because Once immediately after the last episode. Once immediately after the last episode. Yeah. For your finger. No, your wrist. Oh, that was in the episode, though. Well, then that's three times. Three times. Because your hospital was after the episode. You did the little extra recording, but... Right. Yeah. So So three times. There's that. Yeah. That was my arm, not my finger. Yeah. Then I had... There's another thing that I had to go in that was like a very serious, scary thing. Yeah. And then... That turned out fine. That turned out fine. Turned out great. But it was terrifying. Terrifying. And then... An accident. You can look up this photo online, right? Yeah, we with this table of contents. It's just table of contents. Yeah, I know. That sent me to the hospital that I'm now recovering from. Ooh. Every time I approach you now, when I see you at work, I gently touch you on the shoulder. Thank you. But I want you to know I'm always aware of it. I'm, I, it's never close to me. If there's part of you that ever feels like, oh, it could have been bad. No. I'm always like it's very never, aware it's of it. It's never that. Okay. Season three of the Get There show has begun. Season two. Two. Gosh. Freudian flip. Yeah. Uh, season two of the Gethard Show has begun. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of it. Yeah. A lot of stuff has happened with that. Yeah. Um, I think there was other stuff. Force yeah. Awakens. Oh, the we have to get back to the deaths of these deaths. Uh, major celebrities. Yeah. God. Three. Are there more than three that come to mind immediately to you? I mean, there's Bowie a big could, three for me. Bowie could be us talking the entire episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. Bowie, Prince, and Shanley. Yeah. The big three. All. And all surprises. That's the main thing. They're all surprises. They're all people nobody expected to lose this year. Yes. Bowie knew it was going to happen. 
Shanling didn't. Prince, I think, even though there was that little thing of him having the flu the week before, so there... Prince was slightly telegraphed only in the sense that a week before when Prince had the flu, there were all these stories saying, no, no, 2016, don't take Prince too. And then a week later... Yeah. It seems like maybe there are people who may have or could have known about Prince, maybe. What? But it's hard. Was there a It's all still uh, unexplained at this point. There's stuff that hasn't been released publicly. I heard a thing last night that he had, like, Percocet on him. Yeah. And uh, in his house... Um, but, so it's three different kind, all surprises, but three different, like, levels in terms of, like, I think Shandling was just, like, a heart attack, so it was just out of nowhere. Right. Uh, Bowie kept it a secret and knew, like, that he would, he would, Bowie, of the three of them, Bowie was the one who was able to kind of, like, wrap it in a ribbon, sort of, um, and have a final statement. Right. Bowie basically pulled a Charles Schultz, which is that he he died with his art. You know, yeah. like the album comes he out pulled, on he, Friday. I, he pulled a literal Charles Schultz where he was working up mm-hmm. until his last days. Yeah. Schultz's final strip gets published and then he dies. Bowie's final album comes out and he dies. Yeah. Like Bowie was able to see on the Friday that like people are loving this album if he chose to. Yeah. Or if that was a thing that was on his mind. Uh, so that's those are things that are all on the docket for this episode. New Star Wars. New Star Wars. That Connor and I saw. Together. You saw together. it for the night before for me. I saw it the then, night before, and then I saw it again the next morning with you. Yeah. And then I saw it two more times in theaters. Yeah. I saw it uh, twice in Missouri when I went home for Christmas. Uh, and then I saw it again when I came back to New York. Uh Last night at the George Lewis talk show, one of the prizes was a uh, a DVD of my, of one of my, my record breaking George Lucas's record breaking films from last year. I just gave away my Strange Magic DVD. Hilarious. Uh, Which record was that? Uh, lowest grossing uh, <laughs> animated film to ever be released on three thousand screens. Amazing. It is amazing that he broke two box office records last year. Yeah, on opposite ends. On opposite ends of it. I mean, that's... You've done it all at that point. But this ties back to how I was starting to talk about Lucas, which is when you look at the way Lucas responded to The Force Awakens and the success of The Force Awakens, it definitely seemed, like, um, painful to him. Like, it seemed like the existence of this movie genuinely seems to make him unhappy to the point where... Like, the him on the red carpet being interviewed, it looks like you would think this man had never had a success. Yeah. Even though his whole life has been one, one big... Even his failures are successful at a level that most human beings in history have never come close to. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this lately. I've been thinking about the way that, like... Things fade, their influence fades, and then it becomes like a special... Things that were like huge hits become these special things over time. Like someone who's like my age or your age or younger who discovers like the button-up mind of... The button-down mind of uh, uh, Bob Newhart, like his comedy records. These were like number one records. Not just just comedy chart spoken word, but like 
number one records, huge hit records at the time they came yeah. out. Someone who's discovering them now, um, it's this like obscure thing. Yeah. That it's, uh, with the passing of a few decades time, the things that were the most popular thing become these uh, cult niche items. Yeah, well think about Star Wars. Yeah. Okay, if you're a kid that's born today, yeah, 13 years from now, you're going to find Star Wars. Someone's going to make you have to check out, oh, you like science fiction? Star Wars is the best of all time. Yeah. Then they go, wait, but look at the Star Wars movie. See how they're labeled number one, two, three, four, five, six? Yeah. Don't watch one, two, and three. Watch four, <laughs> five, and six. Yeah. Then so complicated. you can watch one, two, and three, but just know... No one likes them. And then uh, new people took over. So it's not the original creators at all. Yeah. But man are the new ones. No one's going to do that. Anyone that does that for things, to me. Yeah. Anyone that describes. It's uh, becoming like Doctor, what Doctor Who is to me. Yes. Where I'm like, I don't know when to start. I feel like I should start when they were like black and white shows. And I'm like, no, no, don't start with those. I'm like, but I have to. Yeah. And then like, no, start with this, start with this, start with the new Doctor, start with this Doctor. No, and skip this season. I'm like, well, how, how, how would I, skip, I do that? How, how would why I, would I do that? Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm exhausted. So like, yeah, on the one, you're right. Because now that Disney's going to do a Star Wars movie a year, it's going to get to the point where... Um, there will be 20 Star Wars movies. A kid that's interested will be told, start at number four, go f- four, five, six. Oh, and by that point, number four will be, will be like watching a Charlie Chaplin movie. It'll just be like, slow. Yeah. Uh, I bet there'll be a whole generation of people who episode seven is where it starts and they never explore those earlier ones. But that won't, I don't know if that'll work. I think episode seven, I don't think stands on its own. I weirdly, it's so full of fan service. And if you watch it nice and you might just be like, why is this person saying this right now? Why did that person look at the camera? (laughs) Um, I don't know though, because I mean, I know I've I've met people who've just seen that one and haven't seen the other ones and they enjoyed it. Interesting. Um, it may be that like I'm not one. I understand intellectually the people who the the common line has become on this point at this point about Episode Seven Force Awakens is that it's just a remake of a New Hope, and I understand what that means. Yeah. But to me. Uh, everything that they replicated has a significant uh, difference or distinction to it where they're also doing something that has never been done in a Star Wars movie, like going behind the scenes of uh, a stormtrooper, seeing like who an actual stormtrooper is. That's something that in six movies has never, or has it? No, I, I just thought of something as you okay. said, the Stormtrooper thing. Mm-hmm. There's a crazy fan theory out there. What is it? Um, what's her name? Sergeant Phantasma. Oh, Captain uh, Phasma? Captain Phasma. Like Sergeant Phantasma. Sergeant Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, there's a theory that she is Sindel. Who's Sindel? I haven't read the novels. Ewok, Ewok movies. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, I, I was just thinking of her as a little blonde girl. I've heard that too. And so the idea is that, like, I love the idea that it's like she became like 
disgruntled by the hardened hardened disgruntled by the rebellion because she was her her and her family were left left for dead. Yeah, and her parents were killed. I hope that's true. Ooh, I also. But there's no way that Disney would be like, you know what? We want to wrap into the canon of this the Ewok movies. I don't know. You know, there's a part of me that thinks. I think Disney's being pretty sharp about this. I think they're... I'm really impressed with... Because this could be a nightmare. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many ways that... There's so many ways they could blow it. And it seems like the people they've been choosing overall and the decisions they've been making are impressive. I think this Rogue One movie looks fun. I think it looks interesting. Yeah. And it looks like I want this movie to look. Um, and I could imagine... I mean, it is interesting to me culturally how much depends on there being people in certain positions who get it. That, like, that's... There's all these creative people out there, all these creators, who are at varying levels of, like... Really good, really great, not so good, okay. You know, there's all these different levels of creators and creative people. But within this big entertainment system, sometimes what it requires is that a person in a in a non-creative position just be the kind of person who's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And you either have that person or you don't. And that's often what dictates whether a cool thing happens. Like, you look at certain TV networks, and you're like, ooh, all the shows on here are pretty cool. And that probably just comes down to there being one guy who might not... They might not be a person who would ever be able to create their own thing, but they have the taste to be like, ooh, yeah, that's good. I think people will like that. And for the right reason. I agree. Um, And it seems to... My assumption is when I look at the way these Disney Star Wars things are happening, it's kind of like with these... With these... Disney Marvel things as well, that it's kind of like, there has to be someone there who's like, yeah, I think people think this is cool. Like, it's hard to imagine when you, when I, when you read stories about like when they were making like Warner Brothers cartoons of the classic era, that there was a guy named, there's a guy for a while named Leon Schlesinger who was in charge of it. And then when he quit, there was another guy whose name I can't remember. It was something stupid like Eddie Seltzer or something. I don't care to remember his name. Um, this is but, the most Connor story also. Yeah. But there's this great, great stories about what an asshole this guy was. That he, he was in charge during like the golden age of Warner Brothers cartoons. The golden age of like late 40s, 50s when all the like real, real classic ones were, were happening. And this guy had no sense of humor. His most famous quote is bursting into the animation room when they were all like breaking a, a story and they were laughing. He bursts in the room and he says, what the hell has all this laughter got to do with making cartoons? And you know that Bully for Bugs, that cartoon where Bugs Bunny is a bullfighter? Yeah. That only existed because this guy saw one of the animators like drawing a picture of a bullfighter and he was just doodling. And he came in and he was like, bullfighters aren't funny. I don't want to see any cartoons about bullfighters. And they just looked at each other when they left the room and were like, oh, well, now we have to. And they make this, like, classic cartoon that I think got nominated for an Oscar. And it was just because they're like, oh, if that guy thinks that it's a bad idea, then it's probably a great idea. They weren't even considering making yeah. one. 
and it's like the idea that um, sometimes you have things that exist because there's a guy who doesn't get it and you're doing it in like in spite of them in spite of them but I think of all the times where like I mean he couldn't do anything without everybody like that guy didn't know how to make it so he kind of was just like a frustrated high school principal but you think about all the people who are in positions where they're probably are just prevent like their main job is they're just preventing cool things from happening yeah and they don't understand why why things aren't going well for them yeah and i think it always comes from a place of fear oh yeah a place of trying to hold on for dear life to whatever you have and thinking that anything that disrupts that could put whatever you have in jeopardy yeah when i worked at the bookstore there was there's a person who I believe recently either quit or was let go at a higher level. But there was a person who, if you just went around the bookstore, you went to any bookstore in New York, any Barnes & Noble, and you ask them, uh, and you ask, hey, who's someone who just meddles and causes problems? This would be a person that everyone would say the same person. And I, I had a handful of dealings with this person, but it was one of those things where you're just like, it's fascinating when you observe a person where you're like, man, your whole life is f- dealing with people who are completely frustrated with you. Yeah. What must it be like to be a person? Do they know? They, they must sense it, or I guess a lot of them don't. I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that comes from it, where it's like, yeah, they can't see that it's them. It must be the world. Yeah. Acting crazy. It's like the thing, you know, it's like the people that are like, everyone I date is crazy. Yeah. It's like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from the, uh, it's maybe an old phrase, but I only heard it off when, uh, on the Elmore Leonard show, Justified, but there was a phrase where it was like, you know, you, you, run in, you wake up in the morning, you go out, you run into an asshole, eh, you ran into an asshole. You spend all day running into assholes, you're the asshole. Yeah. And it is that thing where it's like, they must just feel like, boy, what a crazy world, everyone's difficult to me. Yeah. I think that's why sometimes when people move to L.A. Uh-huh. F- for no reasons, I sort of feel like that, where they're like, I got to go where the work is and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's, I, I, I have that mentality sometimes when I think of people that like mm-hmm. just flee to Los Angeles. Yeah. Because there's a certain category of people that just like, I do feel like it's like fleeing to Los Angeles. Right. Where they're like, there's no work here. The whole industry's there. Da, 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 which yeah. I don't think... There's some aspect of truth to that at a certain level. Yeah. But I think there's people that are premature to that being something that they're right. going to be pro- party to, to. And so then they have this mentality of like, you can't, you can't make it happen in New York and there's nothing. And it's like, well, is it the entire city of New York? Mm-hmm. Or maybe... Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a, there are some people like... like this is the we are on the it's the 7th of May last night I had two shows at UCB and two of our friends uh, who were in both of those shows Don Finelli who's been I've been on a team called the Stepfathers with for years and JD and I've been friends with him for years and he's done lots of stuff with the Gathered Show he and his wife Laura Wilcox have moved out to LA so I've lost like Good friend and weekly improv yeah. partner uh, leaving, and they're an example of like they're I think a couple who of people who will go out there and They'll snap find up opportunities. Yeah, yeah like uh, 
that if anything, they're maybe overripe in terms of like, uh, yeah, how prepared they are for it to happen. I think, uh, uh, the fact that both their families are East Coast has probably, uh, uh, that's been a bigger delay than anything probably. The magnet's probably, been stronger. Yeah. yeah, it's a strong, there's a strong play, and they'll be back all the time. Then Sean Disson moving out for, uh, Playing House to yeah. write for season three of that. Um, I'm hoping that me, I'm hoping Sean, he's all, he's my co-host on George Lucas Talk Show. I'm hoping he'll come back after that job, but you never know because one thing leads to another, one thing leads to another. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of my nightmare that I'll just suddenly have an opportunity and it'll be something that I have to move to LA for. That's kind of my. Why is that your nightmare? So I don't, I don't, I don't want to get pulled out there. I, my nightmare is not having control over. I'm okay with it in small batches. I'm okay with like a thing happens and it's like, these are the days it will happen on. You now have, these days belong to this thing. And it's good. It's an opportunity. It's a thing to be uh, excited about. And this is something I should be striving for. My nightmare is that I'm happy. I like my living situation overall. And that suddenly there'll be a thing where it's like, here's this big opportunity and it means you have to leave. It means you have to pack up your apartment. You have to pack up all your things. You have to move to the other side of the country. And you have to do this. It's the lack of uh, feeling like I could say no if something like that happened. Right. I don't like that feeling. Because um, it might even, it could even be for something where I'm like, ooh, I don't even know if this will be a thing that I like. Um, that, to me... That's the thing I didn't like about being an actor before. I haven't warmed to it. I've warmed to it in terms of I can handle it in small batches where it's like you have to do this, you have to do that. Yeah, but you don't. You have agency. I don't... When they when these things happen, I don't feel like... Now, thankfully, I haven't had something pop up where I've felt the... Where I've had reason to be like, no, I don't want to. Um, I mean, I guess there have been a couple of things where I've been like... Um, where there's been another reason, like another factor in terms of like, oh, this won't work because I already, we can't work around this other thing or something. But they've also happened to be things where I've looked at it and be like, I don't think this is very good. Right. Um, the, uh, yeah, like if you got an email that said you had to go to LA right away, I think you would have a much more, um, um, reasonable reaction to it. I think I would have an emotional reaction to it. Uh, I, if I had to move to LA, because mm-hmm. I think I've taken jobs in LA, but I always keep my apartment in New York. Yeah. Which is financially not smart, but I, I know just I'm, want my home in New York. I feel like that too. I'm glad to hear you say that because I always have this thought of like, I've had the same apartment since like 2007. I don't want to move my stuff out of it. Yeah. I like it there. Um, even though I know I would be like, Almost anything that would happen, I'd be like, "Well, all my all my money is going towards keeping this little spot." Yeah, I would like to be bi-coastal. I think that would be nice. Yeah, but I, so I've actually recently decided that I believe I'm going to start send, dis, spending December's and January's mm-hmm. not in New York or maybe in LA, but maybe just somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Just because the past couple of years I've had not good experiences in December and January. Because of winter? I think I, I think I get pretty serious seasonal, defa- 
seasonal affective disorder. Oh man, I should do that for summer. I have it for summer. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I just feel myself get into a bad way and then I think it affects my health very negatively. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, then I was like, well, bi- being bicoastal isn't so bad. It's like, you know, rent means that I have an apartment on both sides. Then I was like, well, I don't need to have an apartment in LA for all of the, uh, all of the time that I'm in New York. I can just get like an Airbnb in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to do that now, I think. I mean, December is a one month of of the year in New York that I absolutely would not miss. Yeah. Can I say something I, yeah. funny? Is that I'm having to not look at you. Connor's eating yogurt right now. Yeah. And I have this weird childhood holdover thing mm-hmm. where that image of yogurt disgusts me for some reason. So I'd yeah. like look away while you're eating it because I was like... It's okay. It's gross to you. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's a gross-looking food. It looks like futuristic food. To me, it looks like something that like monsters eat in like an '80s movie. Fantasy food. Yeah. No, not fantasy. But it looks like the genre of fantasy. Not like it's your fantasy, but like. No, I don't think the genre. Goblins. The, I think it's the a horror. The genre. Oh. The genre of horror. Well, like Freddy Krueger eats that. <laughs> no. Not, yeah. I imagine Freddy Krueger <laughs> yogurt eating yogurt with his claw hands. <laughs> Just um, sifting his claws through yogurt. That would be such a horror movie for you. Yeah. Um, I hate seeing it wiggle on the spoon. Mm. I don't like Jello either. Ooh, that really wiggles. Ugh, I hate all that stuff. Um, it's, it, it, I get why January would really be depressing in New York because, and this is part of my thing of like, they should keep the lights up until Valentine's Day. Take down all the Christmas ones, but leave the ones that are like snowflake, any winter theme ones. Because I do agree that in January, after so much festive decoration, pulling everything down, I think is a mistake. To me, it's not about, to me, it's just the tightness of being cold. Yeah. Uh, Whereas like when it's warm, you just feel much looser. No, for me, heat kills, it cooks you. I don't like I don't like extreme heat either. Yeah. But I just can't deal I can't deal with the shivering just like tense. Everything is stiff. Like you're trying to run from place to place because it's so cold outside. Yeah. I hate that feeling. Uh no, I find it so invigorating. <laughs> and I find even this week there were a couple of times where it started getting a little hot this week. It did not get hot this week at all. It started to feel like it was inching towards it. I can feel the summer coming. It got hot like four weeks ago. I much prefer summer. I much prefer the sun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the popular view. I feel like that would win in any contest. You know, I don't think I was always that way, but I think when I started dealing with mental health stuff, Mm -hmm. I found myself more reliant on the environment around me. Mm. I feel like growing up, I, I liked it when it rained. I liked it when it snowed. You don't like rain anymore? No, I like rain now, but like, so right now we're in a, we're in like a two week rainstorm. Yeah. I think it's been about a week or two since we've had a sunny day. Yeah. I think tomorrow's supposed to be sunny and it's like. Sorry to get you. Yeah. Waking up each morning being like, it's still gloomy. Ooh, no, I. Like I like when it rains knowing that there's sunny days Sweeping the, sweeping the clouds away. And I don't like, yes, and I don't like when it's just cloudy. 
Yeah, and a little rainy. Either one, cloudy, no rain. Cloudy, lots of rain. Yeah. I hate this middle stuff. For me, I don't particularly like uh, when I'm having to get places and it's rainy. But I love when I am someplace and it's rainy outside. Exactly. And it's just like, to, like to me, if it was rainy right now, it would be perfect. If it was just like yes. rainfall outside, I'd love it. The so. idea of it raining and being at a library is like my favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, being like tucked away, settled in. God, I want a house at a library someday. Here's, here's, here's the things I want in my mm. dream house. Yeah. A library with like mahogany wood you know what I mean like that like dark wooded mm -hmm. library kind of spot where yeah. it is quiet and you maybe all you hear is the like of like rain or like the heating system working yeah but I also want a basketball court because <laughs> that's that's a place where I find myself able to relax it's like yeah. there's something very zen to me because I think it's I grew up doing it yeah. every night it's just like being outside Shooting baskets, dribbling around. Yeah, those are the two things I really want. Wow. And I'd love it. I'd love an art studio as well. And a screening room. N actually, no. No screening room? Are you kidding actually, me? Actually, no. Why? You just want to watch stuff on your phone? You know, because I grew up. I grew up in high school, and there were very wealthy kids at my school, and a lot of them had like the like screening room movie theaters. Yeah. I don't like that experience. Why not? To me, it's fake. It's like fake going to the movies. Like, you just want a nice room to watch stuff? Yeah. Uh, I almost feel like I, if you're going to watch a movie on TV, I want it to be like a living room. Yeah. Because I don't like the thing where it's like people make their own movie theater and then it's like all the accoutrements of movie theater without the actual experience of like... I feel like half the experience of going to a movie is like, you know, giving the ticket taker your ticket, seeing them rip it, saying, mm -hmm. Theater 7, enjoy the show. And then, like, walking down there, walking past all of the posters of the movie, seeing people come in and out of movies, and they're in, like, different states of, they just saw a horror movie, they just saw a romantic movie, they just saw a comedy. Yeah. These kids are excited to go see Minions 10. I never think of it as a replacement, though. I never think of it. I guess... I, but it always becomes that. Really? Those people are, not, are never like, let's go to the movies. They're all like, well, you can just get it inside. Especially now, when VOD... Day and date. Day and date. Exactly. I never want that. I think I, I cherish the experience of sitting on a couch with friends, family, alone, watching a movie. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a different experience. Oh, it totally is. I, and it requires me, a couch, and it requires you to see the edges of the TV screen. To me, um, watching movies at home is very hard. Um, that's why I make a point of trying to go see stuff at the movies, is because... The great thing about going to the movies is, and this is why it was so horrible, that, that notion that was floated recently about when they were AMC was speculating about whether they would allow texting in some screenings. Oh, my God. Um, which I understand why that's an extension. They have those like um, ones you can bring babies to, like those 10 right. a.m. screenings that are like for yeah. people with young babies. Right. So they can just cry. Everyone can cry through the whole movie. Right. I get that. That's a very specific thing. But uh, to me, you go to a movie and it's you turn off your phone and you don't have anything else that can distract you. Yeah. Because you've agreed you're going to watch this movie. I agree. Um, did I tell you about my Cloverfield Lane experience? No. Do you know Cl Cloverfield Lane? So here's the thing is that I, I'm 
very much obsessed with podcasts, mm -hmm. video podcasts, and things like that. Yeah. And I want to say in high school, all throughout high school, all throughout college, I was like one of the first people watching video podcasts ever. I remember watching the first ones. I remember when like Tiki Bar TV and like Twit and all these things were like the only video podcasts that were like really available. And then like Dignation and all that stuff. And then I got obsessed with this show, The Totally Rad Show. I didn't get obsessed with it, but I'd wa I would watch it. Uh huh. And it was three friends, uh, and they'd review, review movies, video games, TV shows, things like that. And it, they sort of, they all did everything, but they sort of split their degrees. And the one guy that was sort of the movie guy, he went to film school, and he also like made some commercials and things like that. And that was known that was his job outside of the podcast. Well, the end of the podcast because he got some big job and blah blah blah. Ends up he's he directed. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, wow. So, like, I watched years of this person talking about movies, and I remember their review, I think, for Cloverfield and stuff like that, and, like, seeing them react to it for the first time. And so it's so funny to be like, yeah, I got to see that. I got to see him. Did the movie reflect, like, did the movie reflect the things that you felt? I haven't seen 10 Cloverfield Lane You haven't yet. seen it? It's terrific. I know. That's what I've heard. And I, I want to see it, too, because I want to support this guy so much. you got to go see it in a movie theater, J.D. Yeah. Is it still out in a movie theater? Maybe. Oh, maybe we'll go see it today. Maybe we'll go see it during the podcast. That would be unheard of. Um, I bet it's out. You bet it's oh, out. Theaters. Like, no, it has to. Oh, God. J.D., I'll be so upset if you don't see this movie in the theater, because I really do think. Uh, no, there's some. Is it possible? Could it happen? You really want to see it during the podcast? I mean... If, they ha if they're playing it at a story coffin, that would be perfect. Let's see. I'll look at a story coffin. No, it's... Uh, it looks like it's playing two theaters. The AMC 25 and the Lowe's 19th Street. Um, this isn't, I'll tell you a little bit, um, I, and I'll see it in theaters. We don't have to go today though. We don't have to go today. Sorry, listeners. You just missed out on hearing 10 Cloverfield Lane. The entire audio of 10 Cloverfield Lane. At one point we did, right before we started recording, we did speculate that not, I don't think it'll happen today because we got too much to talk about and we got stuff to do. Yeah. But there will be an episode where we just go see a movie like eight, eight hours in. I think it would be best to go see one that's not a new release. Because mm -hmm. I'd feel guilty about going to see a new release because people could listen to it and feel like they saw Tell it. people to skip ahead. You know, but now I'm saying, like, I feel bad for the movie. Ten Cloverfield Lane would not be a movie that if you listen to it, you'd think that you'd experience it because there'd be so many parts of it where you'd just be listening. And be, if anything, you'd, it would be the best advertising you could do for the movie in some ways because if someone really did listen to the audio, they'd be like, I got to go see what that noise was. Have you ever gone to listen to a movie? What's that? That's a web, it's a website uh, for people like that. I'm, I almost don't want to say it out loud on this podcast because it's targeted towards the same people that listen to our podcast, which is people who have long commutes, have long jobs. Want yeah. And where it is, it, they just rip the audio of mm -hmm. all movies. Yeah. So you can listen to a movie while you work or while you do something. You're worried that we'll lose our entire listenership to that website. Yeah, they'll all go listen to the Matrix right now. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you want. Go do it. No one's stopping you. Yeah. No, wait, we're stopping you. Stop. Don't do it. We can't stop them, JD. Um, there's also a great website that is, it's just the, um, oh my God, this is something that 
think the people Pat they've missed the boat on experiencing this. I think this is something that's very specific to like people that are our age. Mm-hmm. Is that there was a thing where you would play, you'd watch DVDs of your favorite TV show, mm-hmm. or you'd watch a movie and you'd fall asleep during it, mm-hmm. and then while you were sleeping, what would be ingrained into your head? The DVD menu audio loop. Right. And so there is a website that is just the DVD menu audio loops that you can sleep to. Like, like I remember, yeah. I remember taking long naps with the Arrested Development. Um, yeah. Like, in fact, I'm trying to think. I might be able to remember like the quotes because Arrested Development. The, yeah, the DVD menu. The DVD have, like, a handful menu of was quotes. like, and then it would go. Yeah. Like, Tobias, what are you? You can't. You know what I mean? It'd be like yeah. quotes from the movie. Yeah. And those are just on a loop. So there's a website you can listen to those also. Ooh. Um, Anyways, 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Maybe the movie I enjoyed most this year, I think. Certainly the most, like, movie movie that I've enjoyed this year. And um, it's... uh, Do you find it's, it's nice... Uh, you know, uh, you and I every now and then are, are coming across people that who's who we've seen their work, and then we're in a context where we're having conversations with them. Yes, and I like it when I think it's fun when you actually have something because sometimes it's like you're trying to come up with stuff to say, and it can be kind of like hard work, like you're making conversation. Right. And other times, it, that's why it's great when you actually have something. That you're like, oh. You might find this interesting, you know, where it's, yeah. and um, John Gallagher Jr. did ASCAP monologues. Okay. And he's one of the actors in 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I went to see 10 Cloverfield Lane, and the, it was on a day when I had coaching improv at a certain time, and I had a window, and the, to- the time when I, it was when I was able to go see it, it was in the AMC Prime Theater at right. the Times Square one which is one of those theaters that has like big plush seats yeah. you can recline and all this. and it's prime experience. The prime experience. And uh, went and saw the... And, and I had a window where I could go see it. So I go into the movie theater, and there's a pretty sizable number of people there. And the movie, without spoiling anything, the movie opens, and there's this sequence, um, like a prologue to the movie, where there's no dialogue, and there's music scored under it. Well, you can still, it's intriguing because you're not, you're, they're intentionally, you're not knowing what's going on. You see character, you see there's like a phone call, but you don't know who it is and they don't answer the phone, et cetera. And then you see it ring again, they right. ignore it. Then they're going someplace else. And, just, and I'm thinking like, ooh, this movie's starting with like some intrigue already. Like you, it, there, it's a very kind of like, like the TV show Lost, one of those things where you're like, wait, right. this flashback, where are they from? Why are they doing this? And... Then they get to a point where uh, a character's phone rings again, and they pick up this time, but you don't hear the conversation. And you, so it's like, man, they're really starting out in an intriguing way. Then something happens, and then you're in, we're in, uh, then there, there's a situation where a certain character is disoriented, and they wake up, and there's a character that they're having a conversation with. I don't know what this is. What do you know? Like oh, then it's like Saving Private Ryan, where right. like, the gunshot goes off and destroying it. And this we're we're closing in on maybe twelve minutes into the movie so far. And then there's a scene starts. 
and you just start realizing like, oh, there's no way this is intentional. Uh, something's wrong with the sound. Hilarious. On the but, uh, and, and you just immediately, like this scene starts and it becomes clear like this can't be because right. it's just exposition, <laughs> clearly important right. information. And you just see one person jump up and run out. It's kind of like anytime something like that yeah. happens, there's always that first person jumps up and everyone's like, oh, I think they're going to get. Yeah. And then everybody starts start squirming as we realize, like, we're not seeing the movie. We're not, yeah. this isn't the movie we're supposed to be experiencing. And then it stops. And then the lights come on and a theater employee comes out and, like, ladies and gentlemen, we're very sorry. There's something wrong with the projector at the system. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, please bear with us. So I was like, oh, God, you know, because we were so into it. Like, we were hooked. Yeah. And then... Um, a couple minutes later, they came in and they said, we're so sorry, we, we're not able to fix it, but we do have another screening of this is starting in 20 minutes in, the, in such and such theater. Uh, and at that point, I was like, well, I'm out, because that includes the, that doesn't include 20 minutes of preview. And I was like, I don't have time now to see it. Right. And so I got passes to uh, see it again and another free pass for an extra movie, which... Uh, when, when something like that had happened before at a theater where they just gave me one pass, I'm like, that's not, right. That's the equivalent of like, it's not compensating. Yeah. It's just giving me exactly what I paid for and didn't get. Right. And so when I went back to see it, I realized that like 90% of what I had experienced was exactly right. But there were a couple of other things that like you did hear the phone call. Right. But it, most movies you would have caught on so much quicker. Right. Like if that happened in the Avengers movie, you would have known the second there were like yeah. five lines of dialogue. They're like, oh, I don't know. Something's wrong. But because they did it in such a, uh, uh, they were playing with that device anyway. Right. It made so much sense to just rationalize when characters started talking. We didn't. Like, yeah. Nobody jumped up that first time it happened. Exactly. Because we were just like, oh, of course. It made so much sense. But I'm curious when you see it as to whether or not the uh, this guy from what was it called? Totally rad. Totally rad show. Yeah. Totally rad show. Curious. Whenever you see the movie, how much uh, the way that he talks about he talks about movies, movies is reflected in the way that he makes a movie. From what I've seen online, it seems like very much so. Yeah, I would be. I mean, from I, I think it's a really well made movie. And uh, the kind of movie that when it happens, you realize that, that, ooh, I like want more movies to try things like this and to feel like this. Well, what I think is cool is it's like, you know, you often hear reviewers of people that you like or f- that are fans of pop, pop culture talk mm-hmm. about stuff. And then you're like, they're like, well, if I did it, I would do this. This is it's sort of like how you and I talk about stuff. Yeah. But then for that person to actually get a shot. Yeah. And then to do it their way is sort of cool. Well, I have a real... I'll talk about this in a blind item sort of way. I don't want to name any names. Uh, I mean, not, I don't have anyone particularly in mind necessarily, but there is a thing that really bugs me uh, online. I see it on Facebook, which is people who get real savage about, like real specifically about like, what they think sucks. Yes. And then, and they'll be like, I think this thing sucks. I think that thing. And they're talking, specifically I see a lot with comedy stuff where they'll be like, this sucks. It's not funny. Yeah. Like that. 
and then they release their web series. Yes. And the more negative someone is about comedy or entertainment things in general, uh, the, the more inclined I am to sort of when that thing pops up, click on it and kind of watch with my arms folded with a little bit of like, yeah. okay, okay, pal. Yeah. Like, I've heard your very high standards. Yeah. And I've, I've seen you consistently talk about like some very, very great things in ways that are like, not wild about this. Yeah. I don't like this. So, and then when I see what they're actually doing, I'm like, cause I do, I do try to have one standard if I can for, it's a hard thing to do. Cause it, we all have this like little disconnect yeah. of like, if our cousin makes a thing like, Oh, my cousin made a movie or whatever, right. you know, that it's hard not to like, Oh, you were so good. Or, Oh, you did a good job. Or this is good. Like, you know, someone and they make something, um, but I, I, I find it kind of important within myself to try to, I want to have a somewhat consistent standard and not bend it too much based on if I know a person or don't know a person. Yeah. It's I, hard. I agree. And that's also why it's funny because I think you and I rattled this in this podcast because we'll sort of forget the recording. Mm-hmm. And then like, I try not to publicly comment too much on like movies or TV shows in the negative. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I think we've only done it a few times in a large number of hours. Well, so I recently sort of broke my own rule and then I had to sort of go like, do I believe in this? Yes or no. Yeah. Like, is this my one standard or am I just saying this right now to be flippant? Yeah. But it's my friend's. Uh, my old roommate from college had a podcast. He's a podcast with his girlfriend. Yeah. Where they watch TV pilots and then talk about them. Uh-huh. And they're like, we've been on the podcast. I was like, sure. And I told him ahead of time. I was like, just a warning is that like, I don't, I don't like to say negative things about TV shows. Because like, I know how hard it is and how it did it. You know? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, the pilot we're going to watch is the new Rush Hour pilot on CBS. Yeah. Which is a remake of the Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. Yeah. TV show, uh, movie, movie series, but it's as a TV sh- series with none of them involved. Right. And I watched it and I really didn't like it. Yeah. And it like, did it not, get picked up? It did. And I don't, not only did I not like it, but to me it represented where we are with a lot of movies and TV shows now where it's just, we're doing things over again just cause. Right. Yeah. And not bring anything particularly new to the table. Yeah. And then I got really negative on it. And it's like, that was the entire podcast. It's just me like getting really worked up about like how much I didn't like this thing. Yeah. And it got me in my head where I was like, should I have done this? I know how hard these people work on this. But I was also like, but I think also part of my job is to take a stand on the things that I truly believe in or like or don't like. Yeah. And then the flip side is like, well, then, yeah, my own work does have to stand up to that same qualifier. Yeah. Um. And I definitely had to think, like, do I think I could have done better? And some some aspects, the answer is no. Some yeah. aspects, the answer is yes. But I don't know. It's a, it's a tough thing. It's interesting because, like, I do like, like, there's an element of, like, uh, I li- there's podcasts I like where the purpose of it is, like, to make fun of things they don't like. Like, I think yeah. how, how Did This Get Made is a really fun podcast. Yeah. And... That's and that's just comedians like making fun of disastrous bad movies. Um, in that case, I think it's because the people involved are funny enough 
and they also do good work generally, the people who run right. it, that uh, hearing them talk about uh, like the movie Junior right. is funny. Like they're actually making something that overall is funnier than the experience of watching the movie Junior. Right. Hearing them talk about the movie Junior is its own kind of work of art. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good distinction. Whereas like someone's stupid fucking Facebook post. Yeah, and also like, and that's why it is like, if there's someone who is like super snarky about a thing they don't like, and then they release their thing and their thing's fucking great, then I'm kind of like, oh well, that's why. Like, you can, uh, you can be uh, uh, critical of this other thing because you've lived up to it. There's still times when it's. Unnecessary. It's unnecessary. There's still times where I might be like, you didn't have to say that or something, you know, but um, in that context, the the way they do it is funny enough that it is its own justification as opposed to just being like, hey, guys, I don't like this show that I saw, uh, which on its own feels to me like a, a like people say TMI about usually about personal stuff, but yeah. oftentimes that's when I feel like TMI, when it's like someone who just, just posts they don't like a thing. I'm like, I don't need to know if you don't like a thing. Well, the thing that bothers me more than, I think even that, yeah, is people who have harsh criticisms or have strong opinions or consider themselves comedians, mm-hmm. but then all they do is post Facebook jokes. Right. Or tweet. Yeah. It's like that's not... Shouting to the void. Yeah. That's not, that's not the same thing. Because being funny and being a comedian or being a writer yeah. are different things. Yeah. Because being funny, a lot of those people are funny, are extremely funny. Some, some funny people I know. But it's like the other part of it is the hard work and the risk and the confidence that comes with going, all right, now I'm going to make this thing, see to, see to, it, to it. Yeah that it finishes, that I bring it to its end and get it out there and then put myself on the public chopping block of I've made this thing and you can judge it. Yeah. You have sort of, you have a, you have a smile of intrigue. No, it's just, I, I find this topic interesting. Uh, I don't know, I brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is one of those things where it's like, I was remembering someone did a post, I can't remember who did it, someone did a post that was, um, it was a comedian, I wish I could remember the name of who did it because it was very funny. And it was a chart. It was like one of those like, yes, no, go in this direction, yeah. go in that direction. And it's, it was for whether or not you should, um, whether or not you should make a joke in response to someone's Twitter joke. Yeah. And almost every route led to like, no. Yeah. And uh, it does, I'm always fascinated when I see someone who is either on Twitter or Facebook, always the person who... They never make a joke on their own, but when someone else makes a joke, they have a follow-up joke for it. Right. And the follow-up jokes are almost uniformly, like, not good. Right. But you'll see it, and you're just, like, all day long. It's just like, oh, you just, like, wait for uh, people to make a funny joke, and then you have a, a second line to that joke. Right. And you look at it, and you're just like, oh, man, this is rough. Like, when you watch, you'll just see, like, at, the, at this Twitter address follow-up joke at this it's just all tweet replies facebook comments uh and it really made me laugh when i saw someone had actually codified it into a system of like there was almost no circumstance in which you uh should like 
It's like no. Yeah. It al- no. It almost to me it almost feels like the equivalent of like rushing the stage. Yeah. Where it's like you didn't rehearse this play. Like yeah. get back in the audience. I thought you were gonna say one of my favorite things is do you ever see Alexis Pereira's uh, top ten funniest movies of all time list? Yeah, that's the thing that Drew always reposts, yeah. right? So Alexis has sort of a Facebook character. His persona on Facebook and yeah. on the internet is a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was so Alexis, Alexis makes enough stuff and things like that that I don't think he. I'm not, I'm not saying he falls into any of the categories we just discussed. No. But he did one Facebook post that was like, he atten- intentionally says stuff that is just like, to get a reaction, defiant, get a reaction. But he does it in a way that like his yeah. sort of his the voice of when he speaks on Facebook is like comes from a place of confident ignorance and just like assuredness that is so confident that it's just like come on and he made a post that was I believe like um, here are the top 10 funniest comedy movies of all time um, and it was like movies that he genuinely liked and then at the end he you know he was basically like uh, Woody Allen isn't funny like so and so isn't funny it's like also just like if you have any alternatives to this that you think made unless you were wrong and here's why and everyone got so worked up, and it was so funny to read the list. It was like, ah, it was just, I love it. His tweet last night, or it wasn't a tweet, I guess it was on Facebook, said, tonight is Don's last stepfather's, Laura's last Bucky, and Sean's last law firm, and let me just say from the bottom of my heart, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it is that thing where it's like the confidence of... yeah. Uh, Knowing that that joke is going to get a rise out of people. Um, That's funny. Um, Here, I found his list. Oh, let's read it. It's a post from May 30th, 2014. (laughs) And the title is 10 Funniest Movies of All Time. And the text is, Here are the 10 funniest movies of all time in no particular order. The Big Lebowski... Midnight Run, Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, Shaun of the Dead, Coming to America, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Airplane, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, My Cousin Vinny. Note, Mel Brooks isn't funny. The Christopher Guest movies are kind of funny, but not that funny. Steve Martin and Chevy Chase movies suck. Woody Allen is a funny person, but his movies are more drama than comedy. And it has 200, it has 200 comments. <laughs> Half of those are Drew Johnson. And I think it was fun. Someone pointed out at one point that um, it had like 200 Facebook comments and like hundreds of people talking about it, but only like three Facebook likes or something because it's like everyone was like, Alexis. But I just think that's such a funny list to basically just say, hey, here's, here's everything. Um, and it's not a bad list. He says, the only funny thing Mel Brooks ever did was name his movie History of the World Part 1. Caddyshack isn't tight enough for my taste. I mean, even when the... The funny thing about that kind of opinion is that even... I think even diehard fans of Caddyshack would say it's not a very tight movie. But it's just But like, there's some of the phrase, Caddyshack isn't tight enough for my taste, that sounds like you've assumed uh, a position that no one appointed you to. Right. Like that people were disagreeing with you, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that's such a funny idea. It's just like here's the ten funniest movies of all time and then taking direct shots at things that people other people might suggest. Yeah. Um the It's interesting how there are like 
some of those things, it's weird because uh, that's also the kind of list that uh, as time goes on, like, it's an interesting thing about comedy lists that there's some things that, um, like, Dr. Strangelove is, no, is almost always on any respectable list of the right. top comedies. Some Like It Hot is always on there. Right. But in 2016... It's not unreasonable to assume that if you show most people some like it hot and Dr. Strangelove, they won't laugh. Yeah. They might not laugh once. Right. And, uh, but they're there because they're great works of art that are respected, that people also feel somewhat obligated to like make sure that we have like a proper canon. Of, well, it's like how Man with a Movie Camera is always in the... the uh, sight and sound top 100 list right and man with the movie camera is just like random footage of people doing stuff yeah it's not particularly good by modern standards yeah it's, but it's interesting and it's significant and it's interesting to watch now because it's like such old footage and it's like you know what I mean yeah and it's that was the first time so much but it's not a Good movie. Yeah. If you if you were with a bunch of friends and they were like, we just want to see a great movie, I wouldn't be like, guys, <laughs> let's sit down and watch Man with a Movie Camera. Because yeah. like five minutes into just like these like silent shots or these shots that people have like underscored post-temporaneously, people would be like, what the fuck are we watching? Why are we watching shots of people in a factory work? Like what? Yeah. What is this? Did um... But it is now consistently like number... Five in the list of top films of all time. Did you ever see Chimes at Midnight? I didn't. I think this is must, must have been a few months ago. It must have been like January that I did this. Tom Levin and I went and saw oh, yes, it at yes. Film Forum. I and, remember that. Um, Tom Levin and I have notoriously bad luck. We realized recently we, uh, we went to see uh, King of Comedy. Right. And we realized that we have great luck if we go see a movie we've both seen before because we know. Like we went and saw the Alien and Aliens right. movies a couple of years ago. And that when we go see something that we were both excited about that we neither of us have seen, it's always a disaster. And, and we're always baffled by it. Because the Chimes it, at Midnight, that's the Orson Welles. Orson Welles. I've heard about it for decades because it was one of, it, it's always been referred to as like his masterpiece. Like people, right. it's one of those that I realize, I realize now having seen it, that it's one of those things that people were saying like, it's a masterpiece because you couldn't see it. Right. That. It it was, there are some things that are historically interesting about it. Right. But I think, I, I, I feel confident speaking for Tom in this, that we both left that movie thinking it was unwatchable. Like, unbearably unwatchable as a movie. Right. And interesting that it exists. But, like, because, you know, Touch of Evil is genuinely great. Super watchable. Citizen Kane, genuinely great. Super watchable. Like, both those movies are yeah. super watchable. It makes me so angry that Chimes of Midnight mentally has existed in a... Right. Mi- I've held the number three slot for Orson Welles my whole life because I've always heard about how, like, when Mel Gibson made Braveheart, he screened a copy of Chimes of Midnight to learn the battle scenes. When, I think, Kevin Costner for Dan... You always read about, like, directors who are going to direct big battle scenes. They would get a print of Chimes of Midnight and screen it in like a Hollywood screening yeah. room, study it. And that's like a few minutes of the movie that is like genuinely like, oh, he filmed battles in an interesting way for a low budget film. Right. But 
the whole film is dubbed like one of those videos I used to make to promote improv shows where I would just in three minutes yeah. dub over. Yeah. But it's worse. Like I actually think I did better on most of my little right. YouTube videos where I would dub over found footage. Uh, and it's really hard to sit through that in a big screen movie theater where none of the, none of the dialogue, the dialogue was all recorded years after he finished shooting. Right. It. None of the scenes match. There's literally a shot in the movie of a dead body and it's a cutaway. It's like a, like a too quick cutaway. Like, yeah. And in it, the actor playing the body moves. And you're just watching. You're just like, they could have either not cut to the body. Right. Or you're telling me they didn't have three seconds of, right, three different of the body seconds. not moving. Like that, that's like Ed Wood level bad. Right. And I understand it was like financing. And he was at the point where like it was just impossible for him to get a movie made. But it made me furious watching the movie that... Because uh, I was at Film Forum, and I think it's going to be a Criterion movie, and it's pro- and historically, yeah, it's a significant thing, but it made me angry that for so long, I believed in it, and I right. thought, I thought it would at least be really good. I thought maybe it wouldn't be great, but I actually like got to the point where I was like in the movie theater, like, oh, get me out of here, like, like it was so boring, it was so boring. What's so funny is that like we just did a classic. 12-hour day thing. Yeah. We just had a discussion about how we don't like when people, like, well, talk shit talk about shit. Pe- people that we can't match the skill of, and then yeah. we immediately go after Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah. I feel okay going after that, that Orson Welles movie. We're like, yeah, we're, like, we're like, if you can't do as good, it doesn't matter. And then we're like, well, Orson fucking Welles. Well, here's the thing. You uh, fucking hack. The uh, Anthony King and Will Hines podcast, uh, Don't Get Me Started. Yes. Um... Anthony King and Will Hines do this podcast where they talk to people about their obsessions. And in one of the episodes, they didn't have a guest, and they both t- just talked about Billy Joel, because they're both yeah. huge Billy Joel fans. And I talked to Anthony after that episode. That I talked to, I, it was either Will or Anthony, something about how Anthony felt bad after that episode. Right. Because he felt like he was way too critical of Billy Joel. But I was like, every time he was critical about Billy Joel... It was in a way that you could tell he loved Billy Joel. Like, he loved everything about right. Billy Joel. And to me, you look at Orson Welles' like, whole career, and, like, uh, it's... I mean, he clearly was, like, had a big ego. Like, a right. big egomaniac guy. But it was justified, because you look at Citizen Kane, and you're like, he's doing things that... Like, he's made a film that... Most films that are that innovative lose their watchability pretty quick. You know, they like, they fade because who cares that you can see the ceiling in a shot, an indoor shot on a set? Like, who cares? We see right. ceilings all the time. That shouldn't matter. But the fundamentals of Citizen Kane are still pretty fucking cool. Like, like the, the way that story is told is still more interesting than the way most movies tell their stories. Just right. even the fractured uh, uh, one person's word against another. Uh, it's still a pretty pretty graceful and... Uh, uh, unusual structure for a movie, and this is a part of the podcast where Connor tries to backpedal. Well, tries to tries to sell us now on Citizen Kane being a good movie. Well, some because I feel like some people don't watch it because they think yeah. they've seen. You can literally cut together Citizen Kane out of Simpsons references. To I just Citizen think it's Kane. like it's like it's, there's no less riskier stance than yeah. you respect Citizen Kane. I've heard people say it's boring now. I don't think it is. Uh. 
there's parts that a modern viewer would probably be like, oh yeah, really? Fuck those guys. Who needs modern viewers? Uh, <laughs> the, Connor oscillating back and forth between respect and, and pure anger. Yeah. No, but it is a thing where I my anger at Chimes of Midnight is not at Orson Welles, the artist, for making a movie that I find unwatchable. Right. My anger is at the people who pretended right. for decades that this was not a... like. The thing I you'd most likely hear it described as is as a flawed masterpiece, sure. Or like a da- like it's always uh, there's always a qualifying adjective for it being one of his great accomplishments. Right. And I'm like, this is not his number three movie. This is not like what is his number three movie? Um, probably I mean Magnificent Ambersons would be uh, um, easily before this, and even though that's one that got like chopped up by the studio. Um, I mean, this, this is like a, uh, like Chimes at Midnight almost feels like it's, uh, instead of watching Chimes at Midnight, unless you're a film historian, I would be like, just watch like Lost in La Mancha, like watch a movie about Terry Gilliam struggling to make a movie and it falling apart. Uh, because it kind of is like you're watching one of the great filmmakers of all time, just kind of stagger around Spain trying to make this movie. Right. And in the end, you have this, like, badly dubbed... Uh, um, it, it, it's really, like, I found it tragic to watch it because I was thinking, like, all this guy needs is funding. Right. The only reason that Chimes of Midnight isn't good is because of money. Because when he had money for Touch of Evil, which there's not that, there's not that big a time frame difference like it was just like he just needs the resources you're just watching a hobbled genius right having to claw and scrape i mean just having to record all the dialogue for your movie after you finish making your movie yeah i know that's a thing that you can do a little more gracefully now with proper adr but even when you have like great facilities to do it this feels like it was done on a reel-to-reel. Right. Uh, just wherever they could record audio. Right. Now you could at least, if they did it, it would be in a studio somewhere, and they'd be like, let's go again. That didn't quite match. Yeah. Whereas, like, this feels like... This feels like... Um, feels like you had to go to work and the improv show was that night. Yeah. This is like uh, Robin Williams at the beginning of Mrs. Doubtfire doing the dialogue as the animation right. runs on the screen. Right. Uh yeah, so that's my take on Orson Welles. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, but... But the, it yeah. all, it all, this all came from talking about Facebook. Yeah. Um, now, you're describing, right before the podcast began, yeah. some Facebook drama that I've only be, I'm only acutely aware of Yeah. in the New York improv comedy scene world. Acutely aware of? I mean, like, I know... You're, like, you're peripherally, like... Yeah. Like, I've heard people describe it, but I, I'd be interested for you... Because it sounds like you know the whole story of what I don't happened. think I know the whole story, but I may know a, a smidge more than you. It sounds like there's a venue... <laughs> there's a venue... And what I know of this I, delights me. I think this is incredible. It's interesting how many layers are, because they're basically... For those of you... Let, I'll explain the New York improv scene for those of you who <laughs> don't know what this is. But, like, New York City... Um, there's the Upright Citizens Brigade 
two theaters and a training center where people take classes. And the classes are usually the pathway to people who want to perform at the theater. And there's uh, the pit and the magnet. And it's another place where you can take classes and then perform. Yeah. And these are sort of like the three main bathrooms. Yeah, and there's the, UCB. The, anno the annoyance. Uh, oh, yeah, and the, the annoyance. The, and and there's this, like... Um, UCB is definitely the big power hat, like the... UCB, like, the pit and the magnet both spun off of UCB, so it's kind of like, um... Uh... UCB is sort of the, the center of the hub, and then you have these other, like, quite healthy communities where there are classes and regular shows and, and venues and everything. Right. Uh, but as I was saying before, there's the indie scene. Pit is maybe the Frasier. Magnet is maybe Joe the Fratelli's. UCB is Cheers. Um, you think? Wait, Magnet is Tortelli's? Uh, I don't know. I guess. I mean, I always Maybe thought that hits like wings. Um, I feel like if I was more well versed in the way all those Norman Lear shows spun off from each other in the seventies, like there was like All in the Family and Maud yeah. and Good Times and the right. Jeffersons. Uh, I feel like UCB is All in the Family. It's hard to say. <laughs> um, the but yeah, they like they're related, but and and you know like like we performed. Uh, have you performed at, like the Pit and the Magnet yes. both? Yeah, we've yeah. all performed at at all the different theaters. But there are certain people that like UCB is my home theater, and there are other people who would definitely consider themselves like the Pit is their home venue. But they might also occasionally perform in shows at UCB, etc. But then there's the indie scene, and the indie scene, there's lots of different scattered venues around town where you can just and, rent a theater for the, the night and do a show. Right, and the indie scene is people that have organized their own teams, there's yeah. no oversight, and then they find sort of these venues that are, uh, yeah. that are amicable to the idea of people coming and performing, and then you sort of get your own audience to come out. And either it's places where you pay, or it's like not that great venues where you don't have to pay, but... Yeah. So it's basically that's a whole universe. Yes. And and so speaking of not great venues where you don't have to pay, there uh that's where we bring up uh should we name it? Yeah. Okay. So the there's a place called the Triple Crown which is a bar restaurant that has a little downstairs room. And years ago that downstairs room was like a dining space you could rent for events. Yeah. And they would let you clear out some of the tables. And just like perform in front of the or, pra like, or practice or practice in front of the bar, but it was like very much not a theater. It was just no. a basement room that they'd let you have people down into. And here's the thing: um, there's a bar in uh, there's a bar that is sort of the traditional UCB bar called McManus, where people go after shows. And this dates back to when the theater, before it was in its current location in Chelsea, dates way back to the beginning of the theater. That McManus was a bar where like. The UCB4 and all the early Herald teams and Horatio, they would go to. But in our generation of UCB classes, the Triple Crown was a bar that when you would finish your class at UCB, it was like a block away, and people would often go to the Triple Crown after classes. Because um, also McManus was seen as a place that was more for performers. Yeah, McManus was always crowded, and McManus kind of felt like you went there if you were on a house team, but Triple Crown, classes would go there. Yeah. And, and it felt... Like oh we had a place to go to I remember there was a there's a bar two doors down yes from Triple Crown that I went into once with some people and they were on TV screens you could see a, a live feed of what was happening on the magnet stage 
Yes, and that was... And I was told this is a magnet bar. Yes, and that was. And that was that is Mustang Sally's. Mustang Sally's. And that was where all the magnet and pit people to a certain extent, but mostly yeah. magnet. Pit people know more because pit has their own very nice bar in their theater. Yeah, but the pit used to be very nearby, so that was mostly yeah. pit and magnet. Now I guess pit loft people might go to Mustang Sally's. Um, but... But, I remember finding that very funny that yeah. there were two bars, two doors down from each other, that were Serving territory it. for rival improv schools. To me, it felt like, oh, this has gotten very strange. Yeah. And so the triple count was where upstairs people would get drinks and that, and then downstairs you could basically reserve the space for no charge. Yeah. Long-time listener viewers of this podcast will remember, maybe even, will remember me two years ago when I had an interaction where I, I try, was trying to book a place to do the George Lucas Talk oh, yes. Show, and I forgot that I had emailed the Triple Crown and the Producers Club, and I, got, I, booked the, I heard nothing from the Triple Crown for weeks, so I just forgot about it. Right. And then when I booked the Producers Club, uh, I emailed them, got no response, and then I called Producers Club and booked it over the phone with my credit card. Then I got an email from the Triple Crown saying, we're sorry, but we're booked on that day. And I emailed them back thinking it was the Producers Club responding to that email they'd never responded to. And I was like, oh, no, I just booked over the phone. I've already booked it. I think this is just a response to that other email. And Triple Crown, and I just wasn't looking at where it was coming from. I just thought it was the same date or whatever and assumed it was Producers Club. Triple Crown emailed back and was like, "Uh, I have no booking. And I'm like, what? What? I gave my credit card information. And then Triple Crown person was like, we don't charge... For the space, who did you give your credit card information to? And they were like panicking, thinking that like I had called the Triple Crown bar and booked over the phone. Yeah, um, some employee had stolen. Some it. employee, so they were like panicking about. It. But so you've so, heard us. You've heard us relate to the Triple Crown before. Yes. yes. So the Triple Crown. Um, and so here, here's another note: is that the Triple Crown. Like again, it was just like a basement space. You'd perform in front of like a, a beer ad mirror back in the days. Yeah. And then they noticed more and more people were performing there, and it meant people would buy drinks and like that. So they like put up like what are like uh, like reptile lights hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. To make it more of like to make the the corner where you perform like have light on it. It's been different every time I've been in there in terms of it feels like they were always trying to put up some kind of makeshift stage. And then they built the makeshift stage, which is like a six-inch riser, yeah. but still next to the bar. It was really awkward. And then they moved all of that stuff out and then just relented and built like a bigger, more substantial stage yeah. on the opposite side of the room and then brought down benches and turned it like once and for all into like a performance space, which is what it's been for the past. Like, they have since changed it again from that. Oh, really? It's moved back to the other side. The bar is gone. Like the bar is completely gone. Right. And now there's a stage on that side. Right, right, right. And that's been like that for like a year, maybe. Yeah. Um, I performed I, there once since then. But I remember performing there back in the days when it was just like, yeah. oh, there were the, the circular tables that were for dining purposes that you would move out of the way so that you could perform in a corner next to the bar. I remember uh, Gethard, when Gethard was coaching uh, the opera, remember him talking about how they were... They were practicing in the basement of the Triple Crown. When Harold teams at UCB, they have to um, practice every week. And Triple Crown was free, and Gethard specifically, at a certain point, was like he refused to coach them if they were there. Yeah. Because he was just like, it's too depressing down here. Yeah. And uh, 
there are there are I would say there are two shows because uh, there's a show that our friends uh, Matt Denny and Josh Sharp, Sharp run called Cool Shit Weird Shit. Actually, now it's a bi-coastal UCB show. So I think Matt Cohen, former oh, right. guest Matt Cohen, co-runs it out in LA, right? Yeah, producer Matt. Um, intern producer Matt. Uh, I'm gonna have a seltzer. Do you want a seltzer? No, I'm fine. Okay. Um, the the uh, Cool Shit Weird Shit began in the basement of the Triple Crown. It did not. Where did it begin? It began at Auto Shrunken Head. Oh, but then it moved on to have a run at Cool Shit Weird. I didn't know it began at Auto Shrunken Head. Yeah, it began at Auto Shrunken Head for the first like three or four performances, and those were really weird. Yeah. Each time it ended with Matt Denny getting into a shouting fight with the owner of the the really? venue who would come in and try to shut it down so that they could get some like, you know, like uh, like beach rock band to get set up. It was like so weird. Um, it's funny because that's how the that's how the run at Triple Crown ended. Mm. Really? Well, Cool Shit Weird Shit was one of two shows that I ever saw in the basement of Triple Crown that I actually thought it actually was working down here. Yes, like, like it made that it's it's interesting that the two shows that worked at Triple Crown as functional shows were also the two weirdest shows. Right. Cool Shit Weird Shit made sense down there, and. Uh, in some ways, it sounds weird because I'm happy they've got runs that you see. In some ways, that show I think made its most sense in venues that in, yes. that weren't right. That felt underground. That felt like yeah, that it shouldn't be happening. Yeah, um, undoubtedly. But the final cool shit, weird shit at Triple Crown, I believe, was the one where the group before them ran long, and then they. So had to start late, and then another show was coming in after them. Right. And they got shut down, like they weren't able to finish their show. Right. And I remember Denny, it was one of the few times I saw Denny be actually angry. He was actually furious. Yeah. Because it was just like, how did we not get an extension? Like, you let the other show run long, but we're being kicked out. Right. Even though we have, like, performers who are, who've come here who aren't being able to perform because of this. Yeah. Mm. The other show was Terry Withers... Um, Short, short form, form is yeah. the only art form, um, which is this very, very strange show that also made... He would... <laughs> Terry would do that show after Harold Knight. Yeah. After... The, it was a midnight Tuesday night show. He was married. I mean, it was just like... so ridiculous. That, and that show would go to like three or four in the morning. Yeah. I did it twice, and then I was like, Terry, I can't do this show anymore because I, I have to be at work. Like, it was literally like I did that show and didn't... Wasn't able to sleep. Yeah. I didn't have time. I went home and then went right into work. What a nightmare. So, that's the Triple Crown. So that's the Triple Crown. That's a brief history of the Triple now Crown. Now the drama. Now apparently... Uh, oh, and it, it was a place you could just freely book. They had a couple of stories like... Uh, they have a big rule about outside food and drink and people yes. get banned for bringing in like a bottle of water. Right. And then there was the one time where... The fire? There was a fire. And they, got, they locked every, all the improvisers in the basement. Yeah, and they didn't tell anyone there was a fire, and they, in fact, closed the door. Yeah. Which was not easy or able, possible to open. Yeah. It, like, automatically locks. So That's it. probably what they're most famous for now. Yeah, is that... The venue that locked comedians in the basement during a fire. Yeah. Um, and it was just, like, a kitchen fire, so no one actually got hurt, but it was this moment where it was like, hey... Yeah, we would have... I mean, it's basically what the Dirty Dozen did to the Nazis at the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Spoiler for that movie. Not the, uh, the Hateful Eight. No, the Dirty Dozen. That's, oh, it, yes. They locked the Nazis in a... 
Underground 3 and then throw, uh, I guess that is also uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. I don't know why my brain, my brain I know was, what you meant. Yeah. Um, but so all of a sudden there started being this flare up on Facebook about, I, start, I first saw, I think Rachel Chapman posted a thing about, I had a lot of good shows, the good memories of Triple Crown. I'm sorry to see that it's d- yeah. done now. I'm like, oh, I guess it's closing. I guess it's going out of business. And then I started, people were doing like hashtag RIP Triple Crown. Uh, and the, and then started seeing more and more people, some people saying like, this is hilarious. I love this. And it basically is that, uh, from what I could tell, uh, the, the way it's been talked about is that someone made a power grab to become the artistic director of the Triple Crown. That's maybe the funniest way that it's been phrased. It really is. That's like someone being coming the artistic director of a street corner in New York City is what it feels like. The, uh, like the artistic director of Times Square. Of the characters, no, cause, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, exactly. The artistic director of like outside of the M M&M and M store, um, but it basically the the image that you would see a lot uh, is a, a a nice guy and I think a funny guy that I've uh, coached a handful of times. A guy named Steve Ling, uh, and you just started seeing this image everywhere of the Triple Crown schedule, and it was like a month, and like eighty percent of the slots were just his name. And it made it look like, like, it made it look like, I mean, if if you saw the schedule at the House of Blues and Dan Aykroyd's name was on it that much, you'd be like, what? It was just like too many times for anyone to perform. Uh, like, unless you're printing, like, like mailing labels, you never see someone's name next to itself that many times. That's exactly what it looked like. It's like you've got to print out a bunch of mailing labels. Um, so people being very angry about it and it really is more just that like if you want to book things you have to go through another person but it was fascinating you have to go through him and he's in charge of like approving if you but what it'd be like is like if someone went to like you know how like pools they have like lockers yeah someone went to the pools and like put a quarter into every one of the lockers and was like now if you want a locker you have to get the keys from me right that's what it seems like was because it wasn't like it was established through the venue at all from what i've heard it was just like this dude just booked up every spot and was like i'm the king now i am not sure whether or not i'm not sure what the origin of it whether it was a thing where they were like steve you do stuff here a lot you organize it but what if that was the case why would they put his name on every i think he put his name on everything uh <laughs> That's a, that would be, imagine if Shannon did that. If Shannon was the AD of the theater, just put Shannon O'Neill on every slot at the theater. And was like, now if you want a show, you gotta, you got to unseat me. It was a fascinating glimpse into the way... Because for a few days, this was the the talk of, of Facebook within the yeah. New York City improv. It was kind of refreshing to have... I also don't know this guy. I think I went back when I would uh, help out at the improv jams or whatever. Yeah. I did scenes with him every now and then. Yeah. Um, it seems like a fine person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a really nice guy. I, I've seen him do some funny stuff. Um, but I think it was also refreshing to... I think for once... It was refreshing to have, like, 
a comedy scandal that felt uh, ultimately very low stakes in terms of like, right. even if it was just that the Triple Crown closed, people would be like, oh, too bad. Right. But that would be it. So having a controversy around it um, is, uh, I think it felt like people, it was mostly people doing bits about, because there were also people who like moved to LA two years ago who hear about it and they're like, what? Uh, <clears throat> well, it's just, it feels like just like such a madcap. It feels like the stakes are so low, but the way that it was being st- spoken about, it felt like such this like power move, like um, yeah, intentional land grab for something that was like, why, why would someone want that? Yeah, I think that was the fun, funny things. Like, no, like, it's not that. So it's not a paid it's not that, position. It's not that he unseated someone or that, like, he took a role that someone wanted. It was like, that's a job no one would wish upon their enemies to be in charge of a space. And it felt like someone, like, moved in and grabbed the reins forcefully in a way that was like, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, it almost would be like a Game of Thrones plot where it was, like, someone not fighting for the Iron Throne, but trying to control, like, this one area that the map never even goes to in the opening right, like, credits. Like the toilet town. Uh, <laughs> the um, town of a bunch of broken toilets. Yeah. Uh, um, I, just, I just think that's so funny. The, here, I'm going to go to a dark place um, with okay. an opinion, which is... And this is something that I, I tweeted a little something about this, but it was also the kind of thing that... Um, it was also the kind of thing that I felt like I was kind of holding on to talking about it on this because I, I kind of felt like you know certain opinions where you feel like I really need to unpack it. Right. Because otherwise it's just going to... I knew certain kind of discussions, certain kind of uh, uh, conversations lead very quickly to a back and forth on Facebook that becomes just like exhausting. Right. Where you say a little bit and then they say a little bit and then you say a little bit more and they say a little bit more. Um, but... You saw, you saw the whole, um, uh, well, this is, I guess, about our boss, kind of your boss, my boss, uh, Will Ferrell. No, I didn't see Did this. you see the thing about the Reagan movie? No. Okay, this was announced, it was one of the scripts that was on the blacklist, that was on, like, right. the thing. And there was this script that came out um, that it was announced Will Ferrell was going to do it, and then immediately it was an uproar everywhere, and the next day he backed out of it. And... It was a script about. It was a script called Reagan, and it was about President. He's going to play Ronald Reagan in the the last years of his presidency, while he's like suffering from Alzheimer's related dementia. Right. And I believe the plot of it. I believe it was, uh, from what I've read, it was the kind of thing where it was like a White House intern is assigned to convince him that he's pl- he's in a movie and he's playing the president to try to like make him functionally right. the president. So immediately there were... Uh, um, Patty Davis, Reagan's daughter, uh, immediately came out with a statement, an open letter to Will Ferrell saying, like, don't do this movie. Right. Don't make... There's, uh, and the, the quote from it was like, there's nothing funny about Alzheimer's. Um, and then saying, please don't do this. It's painful. It's horrible. I think another one of Reagan's kids came out and said it. And then the uh, Alzheimer's Association released a statement um, that said... The Alzheimer's Association is appalled that anyone would plan to develop a film that satirizes an individual living with Alzheimer's or another dementia. Would filmmakers consider using a fatal form of cancer 
or another deadly disease for comedy, it's time to stop this forever. And that got my that got my dander up a little bit. Right. Because I get why I get why if I get why the Reagan kids don't like the idea of someone making uh, a movie that is described as a comedy. They see Will Ferrell is going to be in it. Right. And it's a comedy about Alzheimer's. But it no, really. But I, I don't. I, I see why they're upset. It's a comedy about their father. Yeah. Yes. Going through. Yeah. An awful thing. Yeah. Uh, they also probably wouldn't like it if someone made a drama about things that were yeah. critical of the Reagan administration. Um. I didn't see Ron Reagan come out with anything one way or the other. I never. I looked and I was, didn't see any public statement. Maybe there was one and I missed it or something. Right. Because uh, he tends to be on the uh, other side of the political spectrum. He's always a liberal right. commentator and so might have a different cultural take on it. But the thing that really jumped out at me in that statement was the... And the Alzheimer's Association, I'm sure, I don't know a lot about them, sounds from the description, I assume they do great work. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it's such a well-intentioned thing. And there were all these articles that came out of me that were saying, like, of course... This sounds like it was a terrible, misguided idea to try to do a movie about this. Right. And the thing that I kept coming back to was like... That last line. It's time to stop this forever. And I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, you're actually talking about, like, stopping comedy about a topic. Like, it's not even like uh, we're talking about, like, blackface or something where it's like there's a specific tradition right. of Alzheimer's-based comedy that's offensive. There isn't, is there? No. I mean, other than, I guess, maybe... There's a, the, the only Alzheimer's comedy I know of would be that people make a joke about Alzheimer's and then, like, say the same thing again. Like, that sort of, there's a... I think Mr. Magoo is the only Alzheimer's joke I can think of. He's blind. I thought his was a blindness joke. You thought he has Alzheimer's? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of, like, what's... I think the only Alzheimer's dementia-esque thing is, like, confused old people. Yeah. Um, which I'll often, a, a note that I've given a, a bunch of times to improv groups is, <laughs> what? Something so what? dark about being like, Mr. Magoo had Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would make sense because Mr. How Magoo, can... if you look up any Mr. Magoo cartoon, his confusion, his bafflement goes beyond not being able to see how can you find Mr. Magoo funny? It's a harrowing look at a man <laughs> suffering with Alzheimer's. I mean, Mr. Magoo will mistake things that are clearly like a ferocious lion for like a, for like a person because he can't see them, even though it's clearly like growling and like, oh, yeah. There is like an extra level. Mr. Magoo was never meant to be laughed at. Yes. It's like <laughs> tragic cartoons that were not uh, interpreted correctly. No, I have given a note to improv groups where I've said like, I'm not interested in seeing your old man character who comes out with a walker and talks right. like this. That right. I'm like, play a real, like, you're actually, there's actually a lot of comedy to be mined with the absolute horror that awaits us all. Yeah. If we're lucky. Right. Um, that I'm like, this is a rich vein that everyone is only tapping in the shallowest possible way. Right. And that does tie in, I think, to... Uh, I get why with the public out, outroar that it was going to, it was immediately, I get why he would pull out because it's just like, oh, this is more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. But it really does bug me. That, that statement, there's nothing funny about Alzheimer's. Yes, Alzheimer's is terrible. But if there's nothing funny about Alzheimer's, I'd be curious to see Patty Davis's list of things that there are funny things about. Right. Because I think once you start thinking about comedy and that, and 
She's not a comedy person, but she is a screenwriter. She wrote like a Hallmark movie of the week about Alzheimer's that I would bet I would have less interest in watching as someone who has like Alzheimer's runs through my family. Right. I don't want to watch a sentimental movie about uh, the way that your brain... I mean, comedically, as a comedian, like, Alzheimer's is terrible, but like most things that are terrible, if I think about it in comedic terms, your brain starting to shut down is in the same category. It's an awful thing, but it's in the same category. It's like, it's not funny to fall down either. Right. Nobody likes falling down and getting hurt, but that's like a staple of comedy is like falling down in a ridiculous way. Well, the statement that was to me more like, well, was when it was like, in the same way there's nothing funny about cancer or any other serious disease. It's like, well. Terms of Endearment has got a lot of funny scenes in it. I bet there's a lot of funny stuff about, I mean. You can make a comedy about nuclear war. Having dealt with my fair share in life of seeing disease and things and yeah. awful, unfortunate things, like one of the things that prevails is being able to laugh at a situation and yeah. be able to make light of it, not in a way to diminish it or be uh, uh, um, it's how we disenfranchise survive. it as a serious topic, but as a way to emotionally part of how we deal with it. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, granted, this movie is not necessarily that. But it could have been. We don't know. Yeah. I think to me it's more like, was this movie a good idea? Probably not. Because yeah. it's like someone who's had to publicly deal with something and it's like, just let them have dealt with it. Yeah. But then to say, not only should you not do this movie, but also no comedy ever should be deal with this thing. This has to stop forever. Right. It's sort of like, well... I've never in my life had more of a desire to make an Alzheimer's comedy than upon reading the statement, this has to stop forever. Right. It is just one of those things where I'm like, whatever good works the Alzheimer's Association is involved with, is there anybody on earth... Their comedy editorial team is not the same. Yeah. Is there anybody on earth who wants to cede control of what is or isn't viable for comedy to the Alzheimer's Association. Would you allow the Alzheimer's Association to book the comedians at any event? I think... Maybe. I think the Alzheimer's Foundation should be in charge of booking the Triple Crown. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Um, Steve Lang, get in touch. It would be great if you just saw the schedule and just every, every slot on the schedule just said Alzheimer's Foundation. That would read as a cheap joke, wouldn't it? It would read as a cheap joke. Um, but it is a thing. I do feel like people... But it's another interesting thing. He's good at it, but we just... we just uh, Did you watch any of the, the Washington... The White House Correspondents' Dinner? I actually missed it. Um, it was good. It was weird how we've had two terms of Obama doing it. Right. And... It's interesting how the narrative on Obama has changed because when he was running for president, I remember all kinds of pundits talking about how the president isn't funny. And I remember thinking, like, I think he's pretty funny. Yeah. And now the narrative has slowly shifted to now everyone acknowledges that this president knows how to tell a joke. And I'm like, half of these people all were, like, dismissive of him right. having any comedic timing or impulse or anything. Also, it's so funny to see now in the current political climate how everyone is like, God bless the Obama years. We're going to miss these mm-hmm. as we now enter a 
harrowing political future. Yes. It is interesting to me, it's been disguised how weird it is because Obama's been so capable at it that actually most comedians who've had to follow him have been like, shit. Like, yeah. This used to be a thing where a comedian follows uh, a passable performance by George right. W. Bush or Bill Clinton. Right. And now they've had to follow someone who actually like kind of, ki- of kills charm. in the room. Yeah. And he's not writing the jokes, but he knows how to sell them. And he knows also how to, he knows how to recover if one doesn't work. He knows how to like comment right. with his reaction, whether it works or not. He knows how to kind of like, what he brings to it is like, he'll deliver the joke that someone wrote for him. And then he'll kind of smile or give a look. that will be like, that's your touch on it. That's your yeah. twist on it. But now we're going to make whoever, whoever becomes president next is all like, Trump is campaigning in the mode of the White House Correspondence Center. Like, he never leaves that mode. Right. No one's going to think it's weird to see Trump get up and make a bunch of jokes. Because that's, that's basically all he does. What would you legitimately do if Trump became president? Um, you mean when? You think Trump's going to win? No, I don't. But if Trump became president, what, what, what do you think? You, would, would you do anything? Um, I mean, what can one do in that instance? Would you stay? Would you stay in the United yeah. States? Yeah. I mean, I do have the option to move to Europe, but no, I I stayed through uh, I stayed here through the George W. Bush years. Yeah. I mean, the he'll he would be better and worse in different ways than George W. Bush. But Bush Cheney, that was a real low point, and yeah. Our lifetime, and I think in American history, in terms of like, I mean, no, I wouldn't move because uh, this is my home. But I would, I think what I would do is I would make more of a point of as things go wrong. I mean, I've been very frustrated with the fact that. The, the people who voted for Bush and Cheney to be in charge for eight years have spent the following eight years screaming about the guy who's cleaning up the mess that their votes caused. Yes, that's very much true. I find that incredibly frustrating that you vote for uh, someone who burns down everything and then spend the, fo- the, the period following the Great Fire yelling at the fireman. Yeah. And saying, you caused this fire. Quit spraying water everywhere. You're getting everything wet. That's been the tone. And the the thought that they would then get to elect an even worse person next. Right. I would think that my goal would be to see if there's any way of making, is there, and maybe this is impossible, is there any way finally, finally of making this stick where it's like if Trump were to co- become president and things start going badly, to start saying, like, let's look, who voted for him? Okay, we're going to talk to you. We're going to focus on you because you spent eight years yelling about Obama, but now we're in a real problem situation, and it's time for the people who keep doing, making this happen to have to do something other than complain. People who vote for someone like Trump will not take responsibility for the bad consequences. They'll be the first people to start saying it's someone else's fault 
when Trump starts causing problems. Yeah. And that would be the movement, I would say, is we need to start looking at the people who are voting for people like this because they're always the people complaining the most loudly about problems that they themselves have contributed to causing. Right. Uh, all those angry Trump voters who are like, like Trump's angry about the Iraq war being a big mistake and Trump voters are fine with it and they cheer it on. But all those people who cheered it on voted for Bush Cheney twice. Right. Mm. They need to, there needs to be some way of making more people a little more self-aware of what they themselves... Their culpability. Yeah, their culpability, and exactly. Um, but, uh, no, I wouldn't leave. I, I, I'm, what would it take for me to leave? Say it would take something bigger, something bigger than who's president for, for me At to what leave. point are you no longer... What, at what point do you age out of a draft? Um, I don't know. Selective service? I mean, there is no draft, so I don't know. But you have to fill out a draft card at age 16 or whatever. Yeah. Right? We'll have to register for the draft. That's the selective service, right? Yeah. Um, but that's something. Uh, 18 through 25 is when you register, but let me see. What, and there's a button that says men, 26 and older. Um, um, yeah, what happens if you did not register and are now 26 or older? Um, yeah, I don't know what happens, but I think I've aged out of it. And you'll age out of it someday, too. Hopefully I'm close. Um, That's the thing that I think, you know, we talk a lot about, like, gender mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And I think that's, I forget who I was talking to, but I think that's a thing that uh, a lot of young women aren't aware of, is that when you turn 16 as a male mm -hmm. in the United States, you have to fill out a document and basically sign something saying, that if there is a war, you will join the army if called upon. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty fucked up thing to do. Yeah. That's a fucked up thing that is like a rite of passage of all men. It's like, well, if you, if you, when you turn a certain age, you basically got to, you know, you turn 18, whatever the age is, you got to sign the thing that says that when some people you've never met in a political system, you probably don't understand at that point, make certain decisions you're going to be on the front lines, right? You sign on, you sign off on that. Cause if you don't, you're in trouble. So you got to sign off on it. Yeah. It's a very, uh, it's a frightening thing. There's a document somewhere with your name on it, Connor. Yeah. That you've signed saying, yes, I will fight for the country in time of war. If I'm called upon, I think I signed maybe, or maybe I don't, I don't think you can and possibly. Um, I think it's just you have to say... I know that um, when I was in high school, do you remember there was a point where a year where you were getting, were you getting phone calls from recruiters? Yeah. Mm. I was at the young end of my grade. Uh, they changed the age requirement like a year right. or two after I, so I was younger than everybody. I was like usually a year younger than everybody else in my grade. So I saw my friends getting these calls all the time. 
we'd be like hanging out and there'd be a call and it would always be a recruiter, a recruiter. Yeah. And so I thought I would nip it in the bud by, as soon as I got a phone call from a recruiter, I would go in and talk to them and just make sure that they didn't call again because I didn't want to deal with all these phone calls. Oh, that's not how that works. Uh, and so I went into the recruitment office and uh, sat down with the guy and he was like, uh, hey buddy, how you doing? Hey pal. And he's like, hey man, how's, how's it going? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk to you about your future, Connor. Because when, when they called up on the phone, it was like, he was like, hey man, uh, is Connor there? I was like, this is Connor. Hey buddy, this is, uh, this is Mark down at the uh, United States Army Recruitment Office. I just want to have a, see if you uh, have an appointment to talk about your future a little bit. And I was like, okay, yeah, when? I could come in tomorrow. So I went in. Hey buddy, how you doing? Sat down with me. Yeah, come on over. Come on. So yeah, so I just want to have a, talk about your uh, about your future. Uh, you're getting ready to uh, graduate high school uh, this year. You're a senior. Ah, cool, cool, cool. Um, well, you know, do you have any plans? Do you have anything? Yeah, I'm going to be uh, going to be going to uh, college. Uh, oh, great. You know, that's awesome. And you know, uh, um, it's great because the army can actually you know help with that. Like that's something that we can. Uh, a lot of people use, uh, a lot of people will, uh, army will help pay for your college. Uh, and I said, uh, he said, do you know, uh, do you know what you're going to, you know what you're going to major in? You any idea what you're going to study? I said, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a theater major. And he was like, got quiet. And the, uh, this was also, this was the early nineties. So this is at the height of don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. That was the big, uh, right. hot button issue of the first year of the Clinton administration was gays in the military. And I could tell when I said theater major that some part of him was like, oh, this guy could be a gay guy. And he, he was like, oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, God, and there's, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of direct uh, ways in which uh, the military, like the army would be able to, uh, like, it's not anything specifically like theater related that would be, but, uh, you know, Don Knotts was a drill sergeant. I remember there's just a long pause on it. Wow. And then, and then he just kind of ended the appointment. He was just like, all right, well, cool, cool. Uh, you know, and I was just like, and then I never got another call. From, really? It was the w- only call I got. So it actually did work. Hilarious. In the best possible way. because. I, but I just love that last little... Just like, here's my last glimmer of... The closest thing you could think of was that Don Knotts was a drill sergeant. It's like when you're running to catch a train. Yeah. And like you're like running down the stairs and then you see it pulling out. Yeah. And then like the last step or two, you still have... You have like, a little burst of momentum. Still a little burst of momentum of just like a... I know this is not helpful, but I just, for myself, have to... Yeah. Claim that I've given my full effort. Yeah. Him, uh, just to him just like... Don Knotts was a drill sergeant. Don was a drill sergeant. Like, uh, well... Everybody tweet that sentence in quotes. <laughs> Everyone listen to this now. Don't add anybody. Don't add anybody. Don't tweet it at anybody. Don't, don't tweet at the handle. Don't hash anything. Don't Just hash it. Don't handle it. Don Knotts was a drill sergeant. In quotes. In Don quotes. Knotts was a drill sergeant. Uh, and if you see someone else has tweeted it, retweet it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, 
I look at my list of topics. Um, bam, bam. The uh, would yeah. you ever join the army? I, mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine it. I think you're the least likely person mm-hmm. I can think of. I I find it fascinating, but I really. Chain of command, I would struggle with a little bit um, because I think I've struggled with it in almost any situation I've ever had with it because there's something about knowing that um, knowing that there are people making decisions who don't know the facts on the ground. But right. that if you're on the ground and they just say, like, did you listen to season two of Serial at all? Uh, I didn't listen to season one or two. Season two is about Bo Bergdahl. And one of the things that's really fascinating about it is part of the reasons why he expressed that he was like, um, he had issues with the leadership when he was in Afghanistan, that there was a... Um, situation where I think they were on like high ground, like they were on a hilltop and there was this tank that had been like blown up. Right. And they were being told to hold and wait there. Uh, And their orders were basically like, bring the tank back. And the people in charge were like, we can't. I think it was a tank. Like, we can't. And they're like, bring it back. You can't leave it there. It's got sensitive equipment. Fix it and bring it back. And the people whose job it is to fix things were like, this is unfixable. It's too big to bring back. It's ruined. It's no good to anybody. We need to go back. We're in danger staying here. And the message they kept getting back was like, we need that tank. Right. And situations like that are so infuriating to me when it's like, just listen to me. Just listen to me. I'll tell you what's going on. And... Hearing that story told of like the expert saying, I'm the one who knows how to fix it. I'm the one who's here with the tank. I'm looking at it. It's unrepairable and there's no way we can get it down this mountain. Right. Can we come home? And they're like, no, wait there and fix it. Where the order might, I mean, they, they lived, but for practical purposes, it might as well have been like, shoot yourselves in the head. Like the order in terms of, what it actually could have meant for them. It's just like, kill each other on the mountain. In terms of like, you would have disobeyed right. that order. Cause you'd be like, no, we don't want to. But wait there to potentially be killed with a very expensive, ruined piece of army equipment. Right. And I feel like stuff like that, more than anything, it, it, like, I had stuff like that at Barnes & Noble where like people would make decisions and I would just be like, listen, you don't know how dumb this decision is because you don't work here in the store and you're making this from somewhere else and you have no idea. Putting that into a, recontextualizing that into a a war zone is the most terrifying thing to me. Just the idea that you could have like, oh, someone who's not here. One of my favorite things in, um, did you ever see Generation Kill, the David Simon miniseries off that? It's, it's, 
it's probably of all the, I love so many of the David Simon things. Of all of them, it's the one that's maybe, I think, the hardest to watch because um, for most of the episodes, it just, I think, feels like being in that situation. Right. It's just not, I, I found it like, I found it watching it almost like, oh, it's like I'm hanging out with people that I have avoided hanging out with when I was in high school, like a certain kind of like right. bullying male camaraderie. Uh, and, but there's an episode in there where they want to send, they want to send a helicopter to save someone. And the person in command is like, absolutely not. And they almost like, they're like borderline mutinying about it. And you're conditioned to be like, yes, they need to do this. Right. And then the commanding officer explains to them, it was almost the opposite of the wire, which is all about the wires, all people in authority kind of making decisions that are like counterproductive. But in this, there was a point where like the sergeant in charge finally was like, let me explain to you why we're not sending a helicopter to save them. It's because if we do that, that helicopter can't go over here where it's saving 5,000 people. Right. And that's why we can't do this. We can't make this. We have to make a choice about resources. We also put ourselves at risk if we send that helicopter over there. And it was just explaining like, We've actually already thought about all this. Yeah. And this decision is not yours to make, and we know what we're doing. And it's not great, but you, like, right. you're not coming up with some new cool idea to save the day. We already considered it, and it won't work. And that's an example of things going well. Like, right. Or the system is working. And I think that's probably also, that's how most chain of command stuff happens when it's blind chain of command. It's also like... Yeah. Like that tank thing, it's like, yeah, there's probably a reason why that was like, yep, we hear you, but this is what we need you to do. And it's like, there's 10 steps, and it's like, I think it feels like the thing that terrifies you about it is that it's like, oh, your best interests are not only not being taken into account, yeah. but they, they don't register. Yeah. But also, I do feel like in Blind me, Chain of Command, there are times where it's literally like, if I could just explain this, if I could just skip your level and go to this person and show them this won't work, that person would instantly be like, oh, come home now. Right. It's ruined? Really? Yeah. Come home. Yeah. But because they don't know, because this person's saying, I have one question I need to get answered, which is how we get in that tank back. Yeah. But I think it's the same reason why like the subways bother you so much and things like that. It's just like, well, you're, when, when, you're, when your autonomy and your sense of worth is not being respected... By the system that is, yeah, um, dictating your actions and your situation. Yes, the the subway situation. Because um, I'm known to complain about subway delays, a lot of the, I'd say that's a mix of bad luck on my part. Occasionally, I make a, a bad judgment. Where I just get on the, I just make a poor strategy choice, and then I pay for it. Right. Um, there have also been a fair number of times when, um, a fair number of times when there's been actual malice involved, <laughs> where on more than one occasion I've had an instance where I've run for a train, the person controlling it has smiled and made eye contact closed the door, and then waited, looking at me. Where I'm like, this feels like this is just somebody 
having fun in a way that is at my expense. Sure. Have you ever had that? I have the opposite. People being nice? I have people that see me run up and they open the doors for it's me. Ha- that's happened a few times to me, but two or three occasions I've had the overt thing of someone where I'm just like, oh, great, a bully drives the train. Although you may look like a person that people want to be like, I want to push this guy over the edge. I want to see what happens. That's something a bully would say. I know, but I'm just saying, I think um, I think people see that you're close and they're like, just one little tap. Do you feel for the people of Williamsburg who apparently are about to go through a few years? That's of, insane. Yeah. What I mean... I get it. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I had a rough weekend a couple of weeks ago where the thing I wish was more possible, I, a rough weekend where they were actually, there, a little bit of what they're doing there, where they're actually taking apart the subway right. at Woodside. And to the point where like the streets down below are all uh, roped off because they're like, yeah. you know, they're like rebuilding the tracks, which is like, oh, makes sense. They haven't done this the whole time I've been there. Yeah. Probably need to do it. Um but the thing that bugs me a lot of the time is uh, when there's one thing that they know is going to cause big problems and there seems to be no effort to compensate for it in the other ways. Right. That um, it does seem, there was an article this week in the New York Times about how uh, how insane the ridership has gotten on the subways over the past couple of years that everything's getting way more crowded. Yeah. And for me, it's like when the seven's not running into Manhattan and it doesn't seem like there's been any effort to even slightly increase the number of ends that run. Yeah. And I'm like, you're having to like deal with like a lot of people who are coming through here. And it feels like then when you, when you get there and you wait like 20 minutes for an end where I'm like, boy, there's just like, there's no like uh, balancing for the fact that, Oh, we could add a couple more yeah. entrains this weekend just to like deal with the extra overflow of people. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure it all comes down to money. Yeah, it is just frustrating. Yeah. But I mean, getting around is frustrating. I mean, I would be no better. I'd be worse if I had a car in New York. I don't think I could handle the personal stress of parking all right. the time. I don't know how people do it in New York. Always looking for a parking space. Always searching for it. Yeah. Always thinking you might get towed. Never fully understanding the signs. I don't think I'd ever fully make sense to the street signs in New York City. Yeah. That's the one thing that's prohibitive me for bikes is I'm like, is my bike going to get stolen? Is it going to get yeah. taken down by the, a building owner? Yeah. Can't you just... Uh, oh, you have a bike in here. Yeah. But you don't know where you're going to go. Yeah, but that's why I'm like, I feel like what I think they should do is like, you know, city bike. Yeah. Get rid of the bikes. Have it just be locks. Yeah. A bunch of city bikes that used to be near FIT were gone really? yesterday. Like the whole thing's gone. Oh, interesting. I don't know what that means. Hmm. I'm going to try riding a bike uh, for a few weeks uh, pretty regularly when I'm in Washington, D.C. this summer. Oh, that'll be nice. I want to try to convince the other people who are coming with me to uh, get like a month long membership and then make a point of like always ride like riding around at night right. on the Washington mall. Yeah. I've done that on a couple of trucos and I really like it. Yeah. It's like a safe place for someone who's not a great bike rider. Right. 
it's so beautiful. Yeah, something I was supposed to, Sean Diston was supposed to go on that for three oh, weeks. Yeah. Now he's not. Um, yeah, anyone who's in Washington, D.C., I think this is, this is a long enough lead time that I can plug this. Anyone in Washington, D.C., I'm going to be in July, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., July for three weeks doing a show called We Know How You Die. It's an improv show. Me, Shannon O'Neill, Molly Thomas, and Brandon Scott Jones doing seven shows a week. Um, I'm looking forward to that in part because I feel like that's a lot of improv to do. That's a lot of shows to do. Yeah. It's more improv in a, in a, in a, it'll be the most like shows I've done in that small amount of time ever, I think. Yeah. Um, for actual audiences. Um, it'll probably match when I was at peak class and indie show. But even at that point, I would have been doing a lot of improv, but it would have been a lot of class things. Um, so I want to try to do a George Lucas talk show while I'm there. I was hoping to do it with Sean, obviously, but I'm going to try to do one and see if I can get some DC movers and shakers to be a guest on it. Like a journalist or somebody. Somebody that I would never be able to get. But but that segue is... Because that, that show, We Know How You Die, is going to be we interview an audience member and then we, we, we do a show based on their life where we foretell the method through which they will die. So that segues nicely into how horrible this year is in terms of David Bowie, Gary Shandling. I don't want to talk about that right now. Why not? I don't know. We'll save it for later in the podcast. I mean, we're already how many hours into it? Not that many. It's noon. Yeah, we're like two hours in. We started when? At 9? 30? What time do you think we started? Closer to 10, I think. Mm. But I think it was like 9.30, yeah. It might have been 9.45. Something like that. Yeah. You want to know how I can tell? Yeah. I posted a picture of us. Or not of us, of you. Where? On our show Twitter. Oh. Um, All right, you're right. We've got plenty of time. Plenty of time. That's the photo two hours ago of us recording. At 10.08 a.m. So I think we started right around 9.45. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking I still have enough time wherever we are at the end to get to where I'm going. Um, what do you want to talk about, JD? Uh, right you, now I'm texting to figure out when I have to go in for this edit today. Yeah, JD, it's not fully a day off for JD. He's got to go work. Is, is. What work, is your day off? I don't really have one this season. Because you used to have a day off. I used to have Saturdays and Sundays off. But not now. Is the schedule this season better for you or worse for you? You're not having to kill yourself to get the edit done in two days. So that's got to be nice, right? What's that? It's nicer this season that you don't have to kill yourself getting the edit done in 48 hours, right? Yeah, it is. Um, oh, but, yeah. You know what we have to do today? What? We each have to call our moms. Tomorrow's Mother's Day. You sure? Sunday's Mother's Day, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it'd be nice if we did it anyway, but I made a point of calling my mom yesterday since I knew I probably wouldn't today, but 
Good call and have her have him on the show. You calling your mom now? No, sorry. I just have to figure out this one edit thing, and then I'll be back. That's okay. Oh, uh, maybe I'll call my mom when you're doing the edit. Um, and although, do you find like in season one of the Gathered Show, we would tape on Tuesday, and it would air on Thursday, so you'd have like a day to get it all done, and then yes, do final technical things on Thursday, right? Yeah. Do you find that having the extra time means that it still ends up being the same thing, but just stretched over a few extra days? Yeah. We just don't work till 4 a.m. Uh, it means we don't kill ourselves. So it's a little better, but like the same pressure. Sh- well, it's twice as much, because last season was 22 minutes. This is 43 minutes. Yeah. So it's twice as much stuff to get done. So it takes more time. And There's now we can do regular business hours instead of having to work until 4 a.m. We can work until 7 p.m. Go home like reasonable humans. Yeah. And not burn ourselves out. And we also imagine that... Are the tapings longer or shorter this season? Shorter. Yeah, so I feel like there's a lot less... Um, hard choices to make, right, in terms of, like, having it overtly just... I feel like in season one, there were a lot more things where it's like, well, looks like we'll have to cut this three-minute thing that Will Ferrell did, even though it was really funny, just because there's no time for it in the show. Well, actually, it was different. What was worse was that. So, um, this season, it's a... Um, can't wait to find out what word JD was gonna say. Sorry, he's wor- no right now. He's thinking of the word, the perfect word for it. This season, it's a, and he's just like scrolling through. Just imagine like a supercomputer scrolling through, just like millions of words. Um, and he's gonna nail it. It's gonna be the best word. Not the word you expect, but it's also going to be surprising. Like, it was right there in front of you the whole time. Not a super fancy word. Croquet mallet. <laughs> oh, it was a non sequitur. All that for a non sequitur. I have no idea what. I forgot. <laughs> I was trying to remember what the sentence was. This season, this season is a. Oh, uh, this season is a 6X structure. And season one was four acts, uh-huh. 22 minutes. I am the four acts, and I speak for the trees. Yes, exactly. I am the six acts, and I speak for more airtime for bits. <laughs> um, so what that meant, in fact, was it four acts? I believe it was. That meant that we had fewer things that we were doing. Mm-hmm. But... That meant that we tried to get more. They, we tried to make the, those few things that we did so different enough, which meant that we had to have like a long setup between them, uh-huh. which meant that every act, the comedy momentum had to rebuild. So it yeah. meant that each act ended up being like twenty minutes of right. time. So it was never like, oh, we have to cut this Will Ferrell bit. It was like, oh, this Will Ferrell bit is ten minutes long. And it needs to be three minutes long. 
Right. How do we edit him down so it seems quicker? And that's what led to all the weird editing things we had to do. Yeah. But every like, now I bet if we had, if somehow we stumbled upon like $30,000, we could pay an editor to go make hour-long versions of all the season one episodes. And everyone would go like, holy shit, season one was actually really good. Yeah. But we don't. We actually secretly did that for one episode. Release the tapes. To prove to that we did it to prove to the network that, that it's it could a be. Long show, yeah. Which episode was it? Uh, Kumail. Yeah. Um, will that episode ever see the light of day? It will never. Why not? Legal reasons? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And just like, wouldn't that just be like? It feels like something like that would be an easy thing where just like everybody gets paid, and they have a free episode that. They don't. It's already there. It's just got to pay everybody. Uh, it's it probably what it's just. There's no mechanism to put it out there, and I don't know if it's. It's not like good enough, new enough content. I think all it would do is anger people. Was make people go, "We want the other ones," or you know, it would just. Yeah, and then you get that momentum, and then they say, "It's like if we release now, because it wasn't meant to be that." Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was more just like a proof of concept. Yeah. And it's not fully finished. It was just like a very raw version of like... But all the footage exists. Yeah. Why don't you... What about this? Never been done before. The closest thing would be like every now and then a band will release stems. Yes. You know? Uh, and you can make your own remix. We should release all, all the, the footage, footage. All of the raw footage for season one. Like... Not of the not of the live stream, but like the footage of the actual show itself. Were you in the room when we were talking about this with the LLC? You were. What? Where we should do the contest, where we have we have like hundreds of hours of oh right 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 all the years yeah I was where it's basically like you can have three hours and you can go through all of it in the Gethard Show vault, but you only have three hours. You have to pick and choose what you want. What would it take legally, legally to release? Uh, all of the raw footage from season one and tell fans, like, edit them however you want. <laughs> would that be... Is that What would be a bigger legal nightmare than that? Uh... So they could probably... They could edit 90-minute episodes of... of Season one things. I could edit feature. H one could be a feature length. Um, it wouldn't be an issue for almost anyone, except for a few celebrity guests whose contracts are more complicated. Yeah, because they have yeah, non compete stuff, and we have to like we can't use them promo that. and and any time that we use their image, it has to be like approved. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that would fly where we just gave raw footage. <laughs> And raw audio stems, which would also, the raw audio stems would also include the, like, between act, you'd be able to hear them, like, like, backstage talking with us and, like, the things that they're saying to Chris between com- commercial breaks, things like that. Um, what would the legal, legal ramifications be of just if the server got hacked? Um, and is it, let me ask this, is it possible... Does the footage exist in a place where, like, a white hat hacker could access the raw footage and WikiLeak it? 
Season two, yes. Season one, no. So season one is in a uh, air-gapped, uh, right? Is that the right term? Yes. It's in a climate-controlled, off the off-grid. Yes. Server. Yes. All the things you've said are true. Wow. But season two, a white hat hacker. Listen, all my white hat hackers <laughs> who are listening to this, take the take the challenge. <laughs> what a bizarre! What a I mean, imagine what. That would be the funniest WikiLeak of all time. It's like WikiLeaks released the footage from season two of the Chris Gathered Show. It would really undermine their credibility as an organization. Yeah, people would be like, we didn't know Snowden was such a fan of uh, bizarre alt-comedy. Have you seen that Burt Reynolds, um, Jay Leno clip that was uh, floating around yesterday? The one of Mark Summers? Yeah. No, I didn't see it, but I saw the title of it, and I was like, what could Mark Summers possibly have? The weird thing about it is, I don't think I've ever seen a, uh, a Jay Leno clip that felt closer to how Gathered Show sometimes feels. Because it just truly was a uh, moment of, like, seemed like a show getting out of control. Really? What happened? Um, I think... I think, from what I can, I watched it once, I think Reynolds starts it by he made some little joke and then Mark Summers made a joke back at him. And this is Nickelodeon Mark Summers. Yeah. Era. Yeah. And I think Reynolds was like trying to, uh, uh, he made some sarcastic joke and then Summers made a joke about how like, well, I'm still married or whatever like that. And... Burt Reynolds responded to that by um, taking... Oh, it was the thing where he's, like, describing these, like, I'm a neat freak. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a neat freak. And uh, people say that I'm a, a neat freak. And uh, Burt Reynolds was like, who says? Who says you're a uh, neat freak? Oh, well, my wife. He goes, your wife says that? Your wife, yes. Your wife would say, like, oh, yeah, he's a neat, th- neat freak. And then Mark Summers says something like, yeah, well, you know, I'm still married. And... Uh, Burt Reynolds then takes his glass, his mug of water, and just pours it on Mark Summers. Just, like, flings right. it. And then he says, oh, you're not a neat freak anymore. And uh, it's clearly not a planned bit at right. all because it's way too awkward. And then uh, the, the saddest detail of it is that I think Burt Reynolds try. He, he does it at least once where he repeats the joke. He's not a neat right. freak anymore. Like, he clearly... right. We could hear it so clearly the first time, but he wants to make sure that his joke is heard. Right. There's which is always get, kind of a pathetic... how great he is for doing this, yeah. Yeah, and then Summers throws water on him a couple minutes later. Bizarre. And... Because it's just one of those things where, like, he keeps at it, and right. so he's just like... He takes this, and he's just like, okay. And then Burt Reynolds is like, that's okay, that's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, I deserved it. I deserved it. I did it first. I did it first. That's the kind of guy I am. And then... Somebody on the production staff goes and gets pies, and uh, they have like a pie face-off. Yeah, but you can. There's nothing about it that feels planned. It feels like the equivalent of like somebody on the thing, like yeah. get him a pie. Let's see what happens. And Leno 
they they try to get Leno with the pie, and Leno, um, it's weird. Leno actually comes across as kind of like, uh, it comes across as genuine and that he's like a little kid trying not to get uh, hit with a pie. Right. Like he clearly doesn't want to. But he, uh, it also comes across as kind of like, uh, kind of like when the little kid is trying to be, would, trying to win at something and it comes across as a little bit like, uh, it would have been more fun if Leno had let them hit yeah. him with a pie than him running away and getting like a little bit of pie on his suit. Yeah. Or like he comes up and he deliberately like knocks the pie out of his hand because he's like, doesn't want to get yeah. pie on him. Very weird clip. Bizarre. Um, oh, here's something we can talk about. What is it? You had a, uh, a f- it didn't necessarily totally confirm. Oh, yeah. But it got close to confirming. And I think it might be confirmed by the time, uh, I have hope that it might get confirmed by the time this is out. Yes, it could, potentially. Uh, which is, we're talking about Connor's long-held theory that a character in Arrested Development was named after his handle on television without on pity. television without pity message board. Yeah, by the time this is out, many twelve heads might have seen a video of me interviewing Tony Hale for the Chris Gethard show for a web exclusive, or not a web exclusive. It was in the episode. Yeah. Um, but by now, by now it will probably be available somewhere online or somewhere online. And not only did Tony Hale remember Middleman like instantly. Yes. But his quote was, I remember Middleman. I love him. Oh, that's Mitch Horowitz's quote. No, but Tony Elserson was like, I oh, remember no. Middleman. When I said, like, I was oh, yes, Middleman. Yes, 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 yes. He goes, I remember Middleman, because I used to go to television that right. all the time. It is weird how quickly this culture changed with regarding television. Right. Because one of the big things I was posting about in the final year of Arrested Development's third season was... Why isn't Fox selling this on iTunes? Because it was right when iTunes started selling TV shows where you could, like, subscribe to the season. Right. And the number one show for that first, like, year of TV shows being like that, The Office was number one on iTunes. And this was, like, season one of The Office. And a big reason why it got renewed for season two was because it was the number one show on iTunes. Because the ratings were not, not so great in season one. And the reviews were not so great. But it showed that there was an audience that wanted it. Yeah, and it showed advertisers, like, this is a show that has a fan base that is willing to pay, even though this show is available for free on television. Right. They're willing to pay to own the episodes. And I was so furious that Fox wasn't putting, I couldn't fathom it. So weird that now, like, well, what I was starting to say a little bit earlier about how, like, everything becomes a cult thing eventually. Right. Like, the, every popular thing eventually fades to the point where it's like, as it, as it becomes an older thing, you know, if you listen to Jack Benny radio programs, you know, you're like a stamp collector or something. It's like a... Right. It's like a peculiar little... Right. ...hobby. And we're kind of in a phase now in comedy and entertainment where there are some big things. Star Wars is big. Marvel movies are big. There's, like, big things that happen. Right. But increasingly, you can be... 
you can have a successful show without it necessarily having the kind of numbers that used to define a successful show. Right. That, like, there was a time when the number of people who might be watching, like, a show like Veep or Silicon Valley might not have been enough for it to be considered successful. Yes. But now those are considered successful because there's, like, a consensus about their quality and... Like, even that was the thing when Arrested Development was on, that I remember when it was getting 7 million viewers, and it was being described as the show that no one is watching. Right, which was such a bizarre moniker for something. Yeah, because that was a low number for network TV at the time. 7 million. But I remember thinking, like... And now that's huge. Yeah, and I, but I also remember thinking at the time that I'm like, the Daily Show is... No, one's a, no one at that time, 2005-ish... Nobody was saying that no one was watching The Daily Show. Right. Because the standard is different for Comedy Central at late night than it is for Fox in primetime. Right. But it's such a... I always just really objected to that phrase. Because I thought, this is like trying to kill the show by saying no one's watching it. I'm like, if 7 million people bought a book, it would be a bestseller. It would be a phenomenon. But even when they aired those final episodes up against the Olympics, it was 4 million people. And I'm like... They did everything they could to bury them. And I'm like, four million is still like, if four million people watched an Adult Swim show, that show would be set, it would run forever. Yeah. Um, but I feel like now we're in that we're in that age where, while while you you might not ever get another Beatles type phenomenon, you have a lot more Kinkses, even though they were big hit band. But like, yeah. you can have a lot more like. Bands that don't necessarily set the whole world on fire right. or, or shows that aren't Cheers. They aren't the, the last episode of MASH. But more good things can exist now, I think. I agree with that. You're packing up a bag. Are we going? I, uh, I have to be in the edit at 2. Ooh, so we should head out. What's up? We should head out then. Well, no. That's an, that's an hour and 20 minutes away. So You're probably hungry or something, right? We can leave here in like 30 minutes. But I just bought this new bag uh-huh. for my mime makeup. Uh-huh. And I was wondering if maybe it was going to be a good fit for this. So you're testing it out right now? Yeah. And is it a good fit? I think so. I'm going to see how this works. Do you want to describe that bag? Um, it's a small, I think you'd call it a tote bag. Well. Looks like it could be. Um, it's a production case, but it's. Yeah, like a case logic type bag. Yeah, kind of. Um, and I bought this at B and H because the recorder we use is a very small recorder, and so it doesn't really have a case necessarily that you can buy for it. And the ones that you can buy for it aren't big enough to also hold um, wireless lobs. So bought this one for makeup, but then as I was realizing that it was getting close to time to head out, I was like, oh, maybe maybe the audio gear will just fit in here nicely, which it seems to be the case. I can't totally tell, though, because this recorder is better to be like sat on a table than it is to be something that's mobile. Mm. So let's see if this works. I do this. Right now I'm slinging it over my shoulder. I have headphones coming out from the side of it. Let's see. Test. 
Test, test, test. Yeah, this seems pretty good, I think. You think it'll work? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to see how sturdy and mobile it is. It seems pretty good, though. Is it good? This is too small. Let's see. All right. Um, Let's see how this is looking. Um, this seems to be pretty good. I think. I guess maybe have to be on this side. Yeah. Yeah, I can do this. I think this works. Here, can you talk for a second? Talking like I'm talking. And you can hear it, and it feels good. Yeah, this feels pretty good. I have a bag too. If you need me to carry anything, if there's anything that's too heavy in there. No, this is. There's nothing heavy in here at all. Okay. This is Great. A pretty good setup. Great. We've our podcast has gotten is stepped up technologically, or not technologically, practically. Yeah. Um, wait. So did you tell the end of that story about Mitch Hurwitz? Oh yeah. So he texts him, which was one of my requests. Um, one of my requests within the interview. Uh, was if he remembered Middleman and if he could text Mitch Hurwitz and ask him if he based his character on me. Um, and he texted him. He said, I'm interviewing uh, Middle... Do you remember Middleman from Television Without Pity? I'm interviewing him. He's a huge fan. And Mitch Hurwitz's response was, I love him. Which, for a fan of anything, is a pretty good... Yeah. Um... The uh, so I'm hoping when this video uh, I'm hoping when this video goes online in a way that I can link to it that uh, I can use that as a point of contact to maybe get an interaction with Mitch Roberts on Twitter get a confirmation. Tony Hill followed me on Twitter the other day. Yeah, I saw that. Um, That's nice. Yeah. And um. Does make me every time something like that happens, it does make me start to think like, uh, oh, I sh- should I? It does make me think like, I sometimes forget what I'm tweeting, that it's going to people, you know? Yeah, I mean, should we? Not yet. Okay. I think that's I think that's a topic for later, right? I think it's more fun if that's later. Yeah, I think so. But let's just say hello to any new listeners. Hello, new listeners. We hear you. Thank you for listening. Um, it brings us great joy. The um, to know that you are listening. Oh, I know a topic. I know a topic that uh, it's been so long. This looks discreet. Yeah, this looks good, doesn't it? It looks great. Uh, I know a topic that's been on the back burner. What's that, that? We we have specifically avoided talking about because uh, we're it's May now, so January, February, March, April, uh-huh. all that, and most of December, half of December. It's the longest gap between episodes. I saw for the first time the Dark Crystal. Wait, you did? Yeah, and I mentioned it to you, uh, and you were like, "Let's not talk about it till the next episode." That was months ago. Okay. Wait, so I'm going to use the restroom. So okay. briefly set up how you saw the Dark Crystal. 
Um, I just, for some reason, you know, it looked scary to me. And I, I think that my parents, most specifically my mom, would have been like, uh, when Dark Crystal came out, I think she made what was probably the correct call that it would have terrified me. And so even though I was a big Jim Henson fan, I think she would have looked at that at the age I was when it came out, and she would have just said, Connor won't like this, it'll give him nightmares. And I think it absolutely would have. Um, and for some weird reason, it's not a film that I ever uh, caught up on. Like, I always intended to, but I never... There are times when it's been showing in movie theaters, and it, it just, like, the timing hasn't worked out. Right. And it hasn't been one that I've necessarily been in the mood to, to watch. When I, I mean, I've watched lots of other stuff that I've hated or not cared about or whatever, but I've just... You saw Chimes at Midnight, but not Dark Crystal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I watched the complete series of Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp before I watched The Dark Crystal. Why did you do that? You know what Lancelot Link Secret Chimp is? I know exactly what that is. I mean, why are you asking me the question? But why would you watch the whole series? I feel like you could watch an episode of that and be like, yep, that's a monkey doing things. <laughs> I mean, I'm conflicted about that show because I think it is... It's undoubtedly that show is made with cruelty. <laughs> yes, there's no... <laughs> there's no safeguards there's no, at all. Yeah. Uh, it couldn't exist now, but there is something about it that I can't look away from. Okay, so you went and saw The Dark Crystal... It was a midnight screening? No, no, I, I bought a DVD. Okay, great. And watched the DVD. And, uh... So what'd you think? I, well... Here's, here's what I will say. Yeah. To anyone that's going to watch Dark Crystal. Two warnings that I always have. Yeah. My, my manager recently show, tried to show it to his kid, and I was like... It's a... Despite it being visually a very interesting fantasy movie... Yeah. It is a very slow-paced movie. Yes. Very slow paced in this like high fantasy. Yeah, and there's a lot of moments where there's like not much going on except characters just. Act. It's like very much like a high fantasy and like puppet demonstration movie where it's like we're going to show you what living in high fantasy feels like and what like great puppetry looks like. Yeah. Which means that there is a lot of time where it's just like a character interacting or walking or doing something or talking to themselves. Yeah. The. Hero, uh, some of the heroes of the movie are almost, and it's not done for laughs, but are comedically slow in getting to their destination. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's <laughs> just yeah. like, there are characters in the movie who are so slow that they literally spend the entire movie trudging from one place to another. Yes. Um, I... I'm fascinated by what the film was going to be. Yes. There, the, the, the deleted early versions of it where you weren't going to hear language. Yes. That's fascinating. Because there's a little bit of the language still in there. Yeah. Of the um, Gelfling language. Yeah. Uh, but just the idea that you would have had... We were kind of cool. That it would have just been... I mean, that's so... It speaks to a level of ambition that... It almost reminds me of, there's a James L. Brooks movie called I'll Do Anything. Yeah. Which was filmed as a musical with songs by Prince. Did you know that? No. 
Nick Nolte, um, uh, Nick Nolte and uh, Albert Brooks, Julie Kavner. It's not a bad movie, but when you watch it, you can feel like you can feel some of the. It's a Hollywood satire. The best moments of it are Albert Brooks as a studio executive who's basically doing an impression of Joel Silver. Um, there's a great scene where Nick Nolte. There's a lot of stuff about like the way like a group of executives casts an actress in a movie based on who in the room would have sex with the person. Right. Um, and, but you can feel as you're watching the movie that the rhythms of it, there's something not r- quite right. Yeah. And it's that they were building it to have Albert Brooks sing a Prince song. And uh, Dark Crystal, you can feel something in that, like, I was stunned but not surprised when I saw the deleted stuff afterwards of them doing the language. I'm like, oh, so we would have just, like, not known, but we still would have known what was going on, but when they were, like, trial, but, like, when they decide who's going to be yeah. the king by fighting. Yeah. Uh, all of that would have made sense, but it just would have been a lot more, like, you know, just, like, Kaliwa. Um... But you can feel that uh, how much... It, it's also very strange watching the character that was originally voiced by Frank Oz. Yes. Those scenes are... Like, when you see with Frank Oz, I'm just like, it's just Yoda Fozzie. And it's, it's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. Um, but uh, I did like it. I really... I mean, it's one of those things where it's like... Uh, the humiliation of the... I don't remember what the creatures are called. The ones that are bad birds. Skeksis. Yeah. Um, the one trying to be ambitious. You kind of said bad birds and sort of did bad a, little, birds. a little shoulder yeah. smirk. The death of the king and the way he just crumbles Yes, would have haunted me so much. And he's like this just like skinny, disgusting, weird bird yeah. thing. And still like trying to hold on to power right before he dies. Uh, like, he, I'm still the king. Yeah. And he, like, crumbles. And then the that one, the main sort of bad Skeksy, yeah. um, trying to take power, losing power, and then the way they, like, strip him and banish him, it's so intense. Yeah. It's so intense. Like, Game of Thrones level intense for a kid's film. Yeah, and then when that whole, like, village is, like, destroyed. The drumming like, village? Yeah. Yeah, the little egg people. Gelflings, yeah. Um, I guess they're not even gelflings. They're like whatever they're called. They're like bippers or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I did like it. I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. Um, Great puppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh... Man, you know, I would like it if... I do like when movies toy with slowness. Yes. Um, I think some of the slow parts were a little frustrating, but some of them I really liked. Like, when it really was... When I think of movies that I really, really like, a lot of them figure out it, it, a lot of what I like about some of my favorite movies are that they figure out slowness. Have you still never seen Playtime? Jacques Tati, my favorite movie. 
No, I saw that in the theater. Really? Yeah, well, then they showed it a couple of years ago at... Oh, you uh, went to one of those? Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, that's the perfect example as a film that, like... Yeah, the one that's all the big building stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the big whole dance thing in the restaurant. Yeah. It, it, it just knows its pace so well, and it toys with moments where there's nothing happening and stuff where there's a million things happening. Yeah. I mean, when I think of the movies that I've really, that have really hit me, a handful of them pop into mind, like uh, Under the Skin. Yeah, I actually never saw Under the Skin. Under the Skin plays with, toy- with slowness in a really compelling way. Jerry, uh, the way it plays with, sl- the way it deals with slowness, where slowness without feeling boring is a real good accomplishment. Like, I even yes. feel like All the President's Men is a great example of a movie that, like, there's no car chases in that. There's no gunfights. The most exciting scene in that is probably him just trying to get away from a parking garage, and it's like it moves at the pace of, like, a light jog. Yes. But it's... When you can feel a wet... When you really are being interesting, you can go slow. Well, well, there's stuff to think about. Yeah. Um, Slowness. Slowness is only a problem when it grants you the opportunity to take entertainment into your own hands. Mm. When slowness is an opportunity to like soak in what's going on and like there's something to think about. Yeah. It's like that's how you know you're great. What you're doing is you're able to say, I'm not going to have something here because I know you're going to be thinking about what, I, what we just did. Yeah. As opposed to something's not there and so you're just going to be like, why am I sitting here? Why am I watching this? Why, why, why? going home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, now, will it be a bummer to you if you discover that the character is, in fact, named after you? A bummer? Yeah. No, why? Because the adventure's over. No. Then it's all about legacy. I will be remembered. But... But not really. But not really. <laughs> because not even you were put that on it. my Put that on my tombstone. I will be remembered. Dot, dot, dot. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> that is a That's a great tombstone. Um, put is that there on something my... fun and not knowing? No, I mean this isn't a Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner situation. I got other stuff. No, oh. I actually no, because here's why. The there is there was a point a few years ago. This is the one the one thing that I asked pretty much everything that I wanted that I felt would be in the context of that interview. Uh, I had my list of things I wanted to bring up and I got most of them out. Because uh, this is like, how long did I interview him for? It was like 45 minutes? Close to yeah. an hour? Yeah. yeah. And um, the only thing I didn't bring up that was even a temptation was the fact that... Uh, I have a peculiar pride in the stepfathers having three members of it who have been in Arrested Development because Secunda and Husky and Zach are all in season four. Right. And I think that... I was thinking, is there another improv team that has more 
members in Arrested Development. I think Respecto Maltaban has either tied or beaten that. Right. Because McBrayer's in it and uh, Rob Hugel and uh, Riggle. Right. Um, but I... Here's why it won't it won't be a bummer. It would be a bummer to me to find out that they either had no memory of it or that it was a pure coincidence. Yeah. I, that would be a bummer if I found out. It was like, oh, no, that interesting. But no, it wasn't named after that. Because it's entirely possible. It could just be like, he's a surrogate. He gives a go-between. So to call yeah. him a middleman, it's fine. Yeah. But uh, that would be the only bummer. Finding out that it was me... The reason that wouldn't be a bummer is because even though it's the end of something, it's a nice end because it confirms a, a long-held thing. But I also feel like if I get to a point where it's confirming that, I also feel like there's uh, there's still other stuff to hope for in that realm. Um, even down to the fat, even down to something as crass and careerist kind of as. Uh, if they make another season of the show, that I've now worked on two different adjacent shows, and that I worked a little bit on Veep, I have a little right. part on Search Party, so I'm I'm warming my way towards the point where it's not unthinkable that I could get a one line part in a season five or six, right? If they did something like that. Um, because that would feel like a, a the, anything that I ever do that's connected to it feels like it would be connected to that original thing. There is something uh, uh, strangely funny and ambitious to think that someone who was on a message board in 2005 and got a character named after him would eventually be swimming in the same right. circle of comedy, uh, even in a, even if it's in a, a distant, shallow end of it. It's still the same pool overall. Yeah. Um, I there are. Uh, can you think of something that you've done where you got to the end of it and you're like, "Oh, I wish I hadn't." Huh. Um. Because <laughs> you had the impulse to ask whether it would bum me out, so I assume you might you might have had an experience like that. I don't know that I relate to that necessarily because I always sort of feel like, well, there's always something else. Yeah. Let's see. You know what actually might have been a little bit of a bummer? What? Is going to the Jim Henson workshop here in New York. Ah. Because it was very cool. Yeah. But, but it, brought, it was also, brought it down to earth. Well, it was very familiar. It was like, oh, this is how any small to medium-sized production company looks. Yeah. And... It may have been more exciting in the 80s or 90s when it was at its peak and when it was at its actual Manhattan location that was like multiple stories and I know all the all the yeah. rooms and they, they had their big handcrafted uh, entrance table and the mural of all the Muppets. On, you know, yeah. that probably would have been more uh, awe-inspiring. But to hear everything about all that stuff and then go there and know they have this library of all this stuff that no one's ever seen and then like to walk behind the library is like a couple bookshelves that like could fit in my apartment and to see the people that, you know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, not it wasn't underwhelming, but, but it, it was, oh yeah, I work in film and television now and I know exactly 
yeah. how this works and there's the magic isn't there in the same way that yeah being on set isn't as magical to me because it's now just what my day-to-day -day is so I think had I not gone there I might have always lived in this my, my mind is like yeah this amazing beautiful but also I've never been to the LA one and that's the bigger one that's their actual never go there that's their never actual studio lot. never ever yeah, exactly um I'm trying to think if there's any mysteries that have been solved that was like, that came out in the thing that I wanted, but was then was like, okay. Mm. I'm trying to think if I have anything like that. I mean, there's always that thing of like, don't meet your heroes kind of. Have you ever had a situation like that? I don't know if I've overtly had, I've had good situations usually with, meeting people that I like a couple of situations where it was like when I, when I was working at um, Barnes and Noble where I got to meet um, Robert Crumb and Gary Trudeau. Right. I had a couple of situations like that that I think I've probably talked about on this before. And in, in each instance, the, it went just about as well as I could. Like I, I the only the only thing that would have uh, made it different or better in any way would be if at, if it had ended with them saying like, "Hey, give me your information. I want to, right. you know, what I mean, that the, it would have to go to such a ridiculous level to get better than it was because it was already pretty solid, you know." Right. Um, well, that's not. Oh, that was a point. Um, the uh, I'm trying to think if there's a mystery. Probably for me, I mean, I've had chimes at midnight style situations. That's the closest thing I can compare to that sort of thing where something's built in my head for such a long time and I, you know, like watching or listening to something and then when I finally hear it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is fine, you know? Um, but I'm trying to think if there's something that I've actively pursued as a, like, gotta solve this, gotta figure this out, and then I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, I was just that, okay. Uh, no, I don't think, I, I don't think I will for this middleman thing. I do genuinely want an answer. Because I, I, I sort of, like, I'm trying to think of if I, ha what other kind of goals I have like that, because, like, one of my goals uh, and this was just in a fun way, but one of my goals when I started doing well at UCB was uh, that I knew at some point I wanted to cross... I knew at some point I would cross paths with John Hamm again. Right. And I knew that it would, when it happened, my sense was, oh, I bet this will, it'll be cool when it happens because I remembered him being a cool guy when I was in high school and he was in college and I was in the play with him. And I remember thinking, anytime I would read stuff about John Hamm being like a comedy nerd, like a, a, even like when he was out right. in L.A. before he'd made his name for himself and he was just getting started, he would like go to UCB shows all the time. And I remember thinking, oh, I bet, like once I got on Stepfathers, I remember th thinking that where I would like watch Mad Men and I'd think like, he does so much comedy stuff and he he's like... Uh, um, always got one hand in the same 
pool of comedy that I'm yeah. in. I thought when it happens, uh, it's going to be neat because we're going to be uh, like if I like if I met Kevin Klein. Yeah. Or someone that, like, I have, like, huge admiration. Kevin Klein, I think, is someone who doesn't get mentioned enough in uh, comedy conversations. Uh, he's, like, the, one of the only people who won an Oscar for winning overt comedy, right. for an overt comedy performance, and he deserved it. It's never an Oscar that anyone looks what back for. for Fish Called Wanda. Oh, right. Nobody ever looks back at that Oscar and is like, why'd he win? Because it is like, yeah, why don't we give trophies to more really funny performances like this. But like if I met him, I don't know that I could ever, I, I, I don't know what the context would be where I would ever not be like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, yeah, uh, you know, like I'd be freaking out about it. Whereas I had a feeling that I'm like, on some level, despite the fact that John Hamm is one of the most successful actors there is, that I'd be like, oh, we did a play together and now I'm doing this thing that he has like a, a mutual respect for like yeah. that I knew that we would be able to just click as people. And so when I got him to do George Lucas talk show, it was exactly that rhythm, which was just like, he was cool about it. And we were able to have like exactly the kind of interaction that I thought was probable. Right. Uh, whenever I first started like floating up a, upstream a little bit at UCB. So I've had things like that where I've sort of, uh, that's probably the closest thing in terms of like whether something will or won't be disappointing. It's like when you have an idea of a person and then you meet them and whether or not that's, whether that matches up or not. Yeah. Um, cause, cause it's, there's so many factors in terms of what you think something's going to be or what someone's going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had mostly good experiences in that scenario. Once or it's never been a bad, it's always just been like a, like it could be shit nothing experience I'm like okay yeah but like working with Buscemi yeah working with is I say in quotes because it's like he was on set for half a day and we just say directing Steve Buscemi but like again it's not even that you know it's like just say we it. basically just like it's like hey I gave I gave him the like maybe two notes total you know what I mean like it counts one note's a flute two notes is directing right because it was just like, he's the nicest guy, he gets it, he yeah. understood what we're doing. And he also, well, you wouldn't, that's also a great thing, is that he didn't require lots of extra well, directing. The thing is yeah. that like, a lot of performers, it would take some coaxing to get them, and then mm -hmm. for him it was just like, nope, here's one perfect way to do it, and then my note was like, let's try this other way, and then nope, he did that, he took the note and made it better than I could have imagined, you know what I mean, like... Did you didn't happen to see his? Uh, he was on Colbert talking about John Kasich. No, I didn't see it. Uh, it was pretty cool what they did. Um, whoever it was who brought this up as like this is what he should talk about when he's on the yeah. show. It made for a really good segment, which was apparently John Kasich in his book. He had a book I think called like Standing for Something. It was like one of those that like right. governors put out their book and it's meant to like right. keep their profile high. He apparently wrote for several pages about how much he hates the movie Fargo. And that Colbert had Buscemi read it uh, on the show, read the passage by Kasich. Right. And it's hilarious because it's Kasich 
describing in detail the process of renting a movie as if it was like right. climbing Everest, like it, as if it was something that you'd need to read about to yeah. fathom. Well, this right. is how it works. You go, and so he's like, I, I, I was in the video store and I asked for a recommendation. He dra- recommended this movie. I walked over to the new release section. And there it was. Then I took it up to the counter. So he rents the movie, goes home, watches it with his wife, and then says he got to the part where they were disposing of a, a, a person's body in some sort of wood thresher. And at that point, I threw up my hands and I turned to my wife and I said, what the heck are we watching here? And turned it off. And the first of all, what I love about that is that feels like classic metaphor for a certain kind of politician. He turned it off before the scene, right before the scene where Francis McDormand's character, Marge Gunderson, says the whole speech about how all for a little money, like all this, all this suffering, just over a little money. I'm like, that's a scene that like a conservative politician could stand to. But I also like that in his idea, the movie Fargo is just a movie where humans feed other humans into wood chippers. He's like, people like this? He also made it so far into, that's the end of the movie. Yeah. He made it through so much stuff before he got to that point. Right. That, uh, but I like that's his takeaways. It's like, that's... Yeah. This movie's just about people putting each other in wood chippers. What chip the heck are we watching here? I mean, he makes himself sound like a character in right. Fargo. Oh, heck. What the heck is this movie? Uh, who are we watching here? I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. What is this going oh on boy. here? Why is he putting him in there? He's dead. Like people don't go in there. That's not for. That's for wood. He's not a wood. That's for trees. And so Buscemi reads from the uh, book, and then they uh, did. They act out a scene of him as Kasich returning the movie and complaining. It was just really, really uh, so fun. That's great. Um, but he was great. Oh, and then who else was great? Will Ferrell. Yeah. So I mean, also Will Ferrell, just like nicest, most genuine person. Yeah. But like, has so much care for the Gethard show, and so much like it's, it's clear that he cares about the show, in a way that's like really cool. That's so nice. And Seth Meyers, I've worked with him several times, and he's like the most professional, kind, person. I think that comes across. Like he's number one, so professional. Yeah. Like on that show, we'd have like all range of comedians of different success and a lot of people would come in and not have their lines memorized. Seth Meyers, who his life is just scripts and lines and things, yeah. he came into our web series with his part, which was like a four page monologue, like memorized. Yeah. He's a good actor. I actually think I think he was uh weirdly underrated as a performer on SNL. Yeah. Like, he did so well when they moved over to Update that it was just like, oh, head writer and, you know, just like fit into that. But I actually thought in 2004, his John Kerry was one of the more underrated political impressions that show's had because I thought he actually nailed it. And it got kind of like some negative buzz, I think, over people's lack. I think it was like lack of enthusiasm that people were having for actual John Kerry. Right. Bled over into like people not recognizing like, this is a pretty good Kerry. For like for like a person, I like John Kerry a lot, but yeah. he's not someone that there's a really good comedic hook to sink your teeth into. Right. Um, but 
Also, Seth Myers is one of the funniest, just like sharpest, like straight funniest people. Like, yeah. understands comedy and how to create comedy faster and better than almost anybody. Yeah. Just, he is funny. Yeah. Um, when a lot of people think of hosts, I don't think they think like, oh, that person's really funny. They think like, oh, that person's on a show that is built yeah. to make them do funny things. Like, no, no, no. Seth Myers is a comedic genius. Yeah. And he's just so nice. Even just the fact that like, in season one of Gathered Show on Fusion, that uh, even just the fact that he did the show, yeah, when he's got five shows a week of his own uh, and a life, right, that he would come to the studio after doing his show is already a thing where it's like because uh, he has nothing to gain. Yeah, literally. I mean, the fact that he did the show at Gethard's apartment, right. He was the guest in the show at Gethard's Woodside apartment when it was a UCB show. Right. Um, that was already a sign of like, oh, like this guy must be. He's cool. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of people like that. Yeah. I uh, I was saying to um, Adam Wade last night. Uh, you know Adam Wade, right? Adam Wade. The storyteller. The name's so familiar. Um. Uh. You would love him um, if you don't already. I'm sure you must have crossed paths at some point, but um, I just might not know he's won the, the Moth a bunch of times. He's sort right. of like, he just came out with his first like comedy album, and he's like probably one of the sweetest people I've ever met. You'd love, uh, um, his album was on Spotify. It's called The Human Comedy. He just had a profile about him in The New Yorker. Um, and his stories are, he tells a story that's about, how, like a lot of his stories will be about like, um, like how he has a crush on this uh, waitress that he works with this restaurant, and how she has this boyfriend who's a jerk, and uh, about like how he wrote her this poem and he reads her this poem and she like gives him a hug, and like these stories all have these kind of like moments in them that are just like heartbreaking but also right. funny, like. Similar in, in, like, if you were going to, like, let's say you have a Blockbuster-style video store where you got some broad categories, you would put Adam in the same category with Gethard and his, like, stand-up work, solo work, in right. terms of, like, they go to real places. They have different, uh, uh, very different angles at which they come at yeah. things, but you would definitely, if it was a Blockbuster store, be like, yeah, these go in, like... Different street, same town. Yeah. And um, he has a story about... Uh, stealing a Playboy magazine from like a another like an older boy, and his dad uh, making some comment about how his son would never have a Playboy magazine because it disrespects be disrespectful to his mother, right? And him feeling so guilty that he knew secretly he did have a Playboy magazine that's hidden, so he hid it in a box of a, a Cabbage Patch doll that had been bought for him as a gift as a kid, but as an investment they had to keep it in the box, right? And uh, he tells this whole story about how he, like, he really wanted a Cabbage Patch doll at a certain age. And he would, like, talk to this doll like it was a friend of his. And then at a certain point, he decided the back of the box behind the thing was where he would hide his Playboy magazine. And how it was, like, such a genius move that he could hide it here. No one would ever think to look for it. And then he comes home one day uh, from school. And his mom has sold the Cabbage Patch Kid doll for like a good amount, for like a couple hundred dollars. Right. 
to the one, the old woman who plays the organ at their church. And he's immediately like, Oh no, like what? And then the next time he went to church, this woman, uh, comes up to him and says to him, uh, something along the lines of like, hi, Adam. And he's like, oh, hi, hi, hi. It's like, so Adam likes the girls, doesn't he? And he's immediately like, oh, like he ends up with this like weird, creepy, yeah. like where he's like, uh, and she, I think she says something to him at one point. She makes a joke. Like, they have this secret shared joke. Like, she's not right. going to write him out. But it's almost worse, this thing of, like, she... I think she's like, so, I looks like I have a secret dirty boyfriend. And it's kind of... It's just, like, he tells these stories that are all kind of, like... Some of them have, right. like, these sweet turns at the end. Um, but the reason I brought him up... So, he did the show last night. Yeah. And I was realizing, talking to him beforehand, because he was, like, very enthusiastic about doing the show. Right. And... I realized that doing a show that is a weird midnight show. Yeah. There was a point like when we started doing this at UCB where we had different time slots. Like I remember at one point, I remember like, Oh, we had like a Monday at eight one time. That's when like Sashir did the show. Right. Cause it was like Monday at eight. Yeah. You can get somebody to do Monday at eight. Yeah. And then it got a little bit harder once I actually got a solid slot and it was always the first midnight right. Friday of the month. There's just like certain people that you can never get. Yeah. That you could get for a seven o'clock show easily. Um, and what I realized was like, oh, you know, I kind of, if I, I don't know, maybe I would accept if I got a different slot now, but there is something about it. it's harder to book, but it also pretty much guarantees that anyone who agrees to do it wants to do it and knows what they're getting in for. Right. That nobody. There's no stakes. There's, there's no and, delusions of grandeur. Well, and also there's. N Anyone who'd be like, wait, what is this? Just would say no to the midnight. Right. Like, because I was a little, because I d had to take a month. I missed last month's show because of uh, filming for Search Party. Right. Um, so I had two months off, and it was Adam Wade and, and David Johansson and his stepdaughter, Leah Hennessy, last night. And I was like, part of me was like, oh, I just got to focus because I haven't done the show in two months. But I was genuinely like, wanting the show to be good. But I was also like, I know that whatever this is, like, they wouldn't have agreed to do it if it wasn't something that they were, like, down to do. Right. And uh, David Johansson showed up, and he was exactly, I'd never met him before. He was exactly what I would have wanted and imagined for David Johansson to be. Because he showed up, and he was wearing, like, a beret. He's got this goatee. Right. He was smoking, like, an e-cigarette. And... Uh, it, he was in such a good mood. I think they were a little bit, I think they had gotten a little high beforehand. Right. But he was in such a good mood. He was so down for anything in the show. And he hung around for like an hour after the show. That's great. And he was there, it was him and his wife and his stepdaughter who they were, they came in, they looked like they were like a family of like a Salinger story or something. Right. They looked like this family of like, traveling artists that were I like I got the feeling that like their night was just beginning right they were just like gonna find whatever the next fun thing in New York was at two in the morning right but they were both like they were all talking about how like the how much they liked the vibe in the theater afterwards that people were just like hanging out after yeah uh and it was so nice uh 
I, I, I thought of, I got into all this just by talking the fact of like Seth Meyers showing up to do the Gethard show. Yeah. He would just say no if it was something he di- yeah. didn't want to do. It's great when you can like build a mechanism by which no one's going to accidentally show up and be like, what? I don't want to do this. Right. Like you get to a point where it's like, if you show up to be on this, even if you don't fully know what to expect, you're already down for something. It's like sex shops. Right. Like, when you're inside a sex shop, no one feels any shame or discomfort. Because it's like, if you're inside and you're able to make eye contact with someone inside a sex shop, yeah, they already know they're inside a sex shop. Yeah. If they didn't want to be in there, they would have turned around immediately. Yeah. So it's like, we're all here in this weird place doing this thing. We all know we're here. We all know yeah. why we're here. So let's just be up front and enjoy the situation. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, not that your show is a sex shop, nor is, but the idea... Although we did, because um, uh, uh, Leah Hennessy is in a punk rock band. She made a, 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 she had a seven-inch EP with Ryan Adams. Right. And the name of the, of the band is Pornography. Right. So uh, hard to Google without adding other search yeah. terms to it. Um, and so I did a bit last night where I was describing it as George Lucas about how hard it was to... Uh, Find it because I actually yeah. bought a copy of their seven inch and gave it away as a prize during the right. show. Had all of them sign it, all of them signed a copy of Strange Magic, too. That's hilarious. Uh, I gave away my DVD as one of the prizes. That's one of the weirdest things you could possibly own is a DVD of Strange Magic signed by David Johansson. On its own, it's probably a rarely owned DVD yeah. signed by David Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> I do love when stuff gets signed by people that it makes no sense that right. they Where were it's like this it. is the only crossover of these things, yeah. Um, but, uh, one of the things as Lucas was, I was talking about how I accidentally stumbled across Star Wars pornography when I was trying to find information because I've read in biographies of him that when they first came, when the first like Star Wars pornography spoofs started being made that Lucasfilm employees would like be like, oh, it's funny, you know, and they knew very quickly that anything that was like a dirty Star Wars spoof that do not bring it up in front of Lucas. He does not have a sense of humor about it. Like, it was just, boss right. comes in the room, and you're just like, stop talking about it. And um, so I almost brought a clip from a Star Wars porn parody uh, for the thing. I uh, torrented a Star Wars porn parody to see if, like, there was a clip right. that would be funny to use in the thing. And ultimately, I opted against it because I was right. like, nothing that I could find that I wouldn't imagine someone might, it might ruin their experience of the right. show somehow. Um, but it ended up being that at the end, when I queued the last video, uh, Mike Sapp brought up, a, he had access during the course of the show, like, a clip that was, it was exactly, it was exactly the right amount of showing too much, right. but also just enough that it's not too much. Yeah. That when I queued the last video, it immediately was just like some like a Han Solo fucking a Leia right. and saying like I'm using the Force, I'm using the Force, and uh, and that it was like a great moment to just like uh, as Lucas be like horrified that yeah. that it exists. That's really funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, what was that? I was, oh fuck! I was just gonna say something. And I completely forgot what it was. Sex shops, Seth Meyers. No, no, no. no. Um, Star Wars pornography. Oh, man, what was it? Eye contact. There's a fun thing that I was going to mention. David Johansson, Strange Magic, signed signatures. Um, Ryan Adams. Um, 
Torrent, BitTorrent. No, wait. Oh, God, what was it? Fuck. I don't know. There's something I wanted to talk about that I completely forgot what it was that your thing reminded me of. Lucas. He wasn't, he didn't like when people made dirty jokes. No, I'll remember it, I'm sure. Oh, man. This is going to kill me now. Gosh, what was it? Um, Don't, just let's sit in silence right. for just a minute. Okay. Just a minute as I try to figure out what it was. It was something. Man, I hate that. That's the worst feeling. Because when you know your brain just like swallowed something. It hasn't. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs personality test? I don't think I have. You should do it. Well, I like it. It tells you what your personality is. Uh, I don't want to know. Um, you should take one. Maybe I'll take one when you're editing, when you're in the edit. Yes, you should. Because it basically it gives you the category of what your personality is, and it's interesting. Um... I think I know the answer to this because my, my assumption is you're too busy. Uh-huh. You haven't watched Horace and Pete, have you? I have not. Um, this is what I was thinking of whenever you were mentioning Buscemi. He's so great on that show. Buscemi. I say it, I'm used to saying Buscemi, but it is Buscemi, I think. You want to know how you say it? What? I can tell you right now. Is there a... Website to look up how you say it? No. We put it in the script. It's in the script of Cop Show. Oh, I, he said it on Colbert. Buscemi. say half it he goes Busemi Busemi um I mean Horace and Horace and Pete uh is one of my favorite things I've seen and it's I'm really excited at the idea that he's gonna keep making more things in this direction uh because it's the kind, like, it's, there's something about it that's really new and there's something about it that's really old. It's a nice blend of real traditional, like, just going back to, like, theater. Just going right. back to, like, plays. But also there's something about it that feels like, in both the delivery of it and also in the feel of some of it, that it feels like, oh, yeah, this wouldn't have been something someone would have made. Right. Right before now you know yeah I'll have to watch it 
Um, but as a showcase for the actors involved in it, just like such a such a dynamite like showcase for good acting. Um, and it's it, it's so um, it's so interesting to me. I and mean, it's really almost predictable the way that like when he revealed that he'd gone into debt for it and then all the stories started coming out saying he lost millions on this and it really is just no I'm making the money back and I own a TV show right uh, that it is like all the, it felt like all of the articles were like almost like <clears throat> rooting against it as a model for it even happening, even though it can't take off as it's not going to stop. It's not going to, it might lead to some more people doing something like that, but it still involves like an individual with a lot of means believing in something enough that they just like make it happen. Right. Which still just requires like, there's a limited number of the kinds of people who do that kind of thing. Sure. You know, that, like John Cassavetti's existing didn't lead to everybody trying to do that. Uh, like putting your, all of everything you have into trying to just get movies made your way. Most people still like have more comfort in trying to like, oh, I want to work my way up through the thing and have a company pay for a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine ever uh, trying to make a film where you funded it all yourself? Um, yeah, I could. I just have no money, obviously, right now. You Kickstarter it. No, I'll never do a Kickstarter. Um, never? No. Why not? I Give people a free Frisbee if they give $20. I think Kickstarters, for certain projects, weird things that there's no method for which they can get funded. I think that's great. But for the most part, it's a lot of people who either haven't explored, don't know how to, or aren't ready to be given money to make something, begging for it. What do you think when it's something like MST3K where um, they use it as a proof of audience? Um, where it's like... I think it's... I don't think it's great. I like MST3K. Yeah. Um, but I think it's lazy on behalf of whoever is going to fund it or whatever. It just feels like there's got to be a way to show that without yeah. ordering the fans to give you money without there being a contract in place of if you do this, I'll give you this because that's not what Kickstarter is. Well, I think I think for for the MST3K one, it's at a, some of those things are at enough of a level where you actually are. You're kind of like pre-funding it where it's like you're going to get DVDs of these. But you're not. You're it's not? not guaranteed, especially for things like that. Yeah. There's no guarantee. They don't have to produce the thing. Really? That's the Kickstarter thing. Is that like, and that's in the Even video, if they raise the, all the money for it? They don't have to. Oh, that's interesting. In the video game world, that's the thing that's been happening quite a bit is that you are donating. Yeah. It's a donation and you're giving given a, a reward for donating. Yeah. So in video games, there's been a, a lot of huge cases where people have crowdsourced millions of dollars and then things they don't really know what they're doing and then things get tied up in development and then blah 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 suddenly it's they don't get the thing then it never gets made 
So it's like you're not pre-ordering it. You're not doing anything because it's there's you're donating money to this thing, and you have to keep in mind that it might it may never come to fruition. Ooh, that'd be frustrating. And I also think a lot of times it's you know Kickstarter is you trying to beg your community of people around you to uh, fund something, and a lot of times it's people in a creative community begging other creative people to fund their thing. And to me, it's like, well, then what all that's creating is a system whereby you're betting that everyone else won't do this. You're betting that everyone else isn't going to ask you for money. Because otherwise, it would just be an even exchange where I'll just be handing money back and forth, and then no one would have enough money to make their thing. So what it is is you saying, I'm going to beg you, and my assumption is that not all of you you that are giving money, I'm not going to give money back to you guys at the end of the day. And it's not an overt version of that, but it's a tacit sort of understanding of that. And it's usually sort of goofy where it's like, well, you're you're wanting us to pay for your creative work. Why? Because oh, you really want to make this. Well, why don't you go through the, you know, we've had decades where we've built an industry that's created a proper, you know, a somewhat proper filtration system for getting those ideas funded and put out there. And there are outliers of projects and ideas and things like that that definitely fall outside of that system. And then they do need to be funded by people outside of that method. But most of them are Most of them are awful web series, awful short films, things that just end up being awful, undercooked, people that don't quite have... All right. Well, I'm going to... I wish you told me this I'm going to take down... Put up a Kickstarter. Don't go to it, 12 Heads, to fund a 15th hour this episode. Um, yeah, because we hit a... Honestly, this could be a longer podcast, but we, we hit a financial wall. We hit wall a financial wall. Right after Sometimes we'll go hours. into that 13th hour, and we'd be willing to do a 14th hour, but a 15th hour I'm going to need funding for. Exactly. And we were going to raise that... We were going to raise $100,000 to fund that 15th hour, because that really... That... I feel like that would fund, like that would pay for us doing the first 12 hours for nothing. Yeah. And then do an extra 13th and 14th hour. And then that 15th hour, JD and I split. There's probably, what would you say, what would you take off the top before we do the 50 50 split of that 100,000, JD? If we got $100,000 for the 15th hour of it, yeah. what would you take off the top? This is my fee, you're saying? Or like expenses, uh, anything that anything like that. Take off the top. We're gonna split that hundred thousand and fifty fifty. But first, I think you'd have a crack at it to be like, I pay for batteries. Usually, it's the other way around. We're taking something off the top. What do you mean? It's like the fee that goes to the people, not the fee that goes to pay for the actual thing. Mm. The foundation is usually not the top. Take it off the top. <laughs> Take off the top. The actual cost. Yeah. I mean, it'd be ninety thousand dollars. Because what we need is basically the 15th hour, we've sort of agreed, Connor and I, that like the only way that it's appropriate to record 15th hour is at Abbey Road. Again, you blew out our budget. This is why, I mean. Well, because we do the 14 hours yeah. however we need to. And then we've agreed creatively, just creatively the vision of this project, the 15th hour is at Abbey Road, full producers, full everything. And we're not getting their coach. We're getting their first class. We're not going to fly their coach because it's going to be it's going to get us out of that creative flow. So if we do we do fourteen hours, it can be in the street, it can be phone calls, we can be going back and forth. Oh. And the moment we hit fifteen, we're hearing the crystal clear sounds 
of the entire analog Abbey Road studio. Oh, man. Right? That's what yeah. we agreed. Yeah. We've been on the same page from day one. Just now our fee's 5000 each. But it sounds well, great. we make 5000 bucks. I know, but we were going to make 50000 each. But you know that goes to Abbey Road. That goes to getting all the best producers. I know. I know. It's just we're, it really should have known you were going to go all out. You were going to go all out for we that 50000 We talked about hour. this. Yeah. And we're not get we're not we're not going straight from the airport right to Abbey Road. We gotta have hotels. Yeah. Are we gonna get how are we gonna get a hotel? Double decker bus? No way. Why not? Double decker bus fun. Connor. We're not going there on a public double decker bus. Uh, we've talked about this. Double decker buses are pretty dope. Connor, we've talked about this. We gotta get there we gotta get there in style. Set creatively it just feels right. George Martin's dead. George Martin? Not the writer, the producer from Abbey Road. Yeah, well, we're going to get George R. R. Martin to be our producer <laughs> in Abbey Road, which is also... No, that's another... George George Martin is one of the deaths from this year that wasn't shocking because... Yeah. Um, he was old enough and had lived a f- very full life. But that's another name. I, that one, I'd even forgotten that that happened recently. Yeah. Uh, we should probably head out. Yeah, let's do it. Um... I'm going to see if this all works. Oh, wait, real quick. Yeah? Um, so read this email, which you've never read. Okay. It's from one of our listeners, and I've told you about this project that they've created. I read that louder to myself. Uh, to yourself. Okay. Because it's very thick text. And I don't know how much this person wants all of it to be out there. But I think we can talk about what it is. And as kind of reads this, I'm going to think about what the thing was that I was going to mention. Um, so uh, now is the system so this is a system of of archiving references to every pop culture reference we make yes on this podcast so what this person did now I don't understand one of the rules which is that if you if you mention Twin Peaks that counts if you mention a specific season it counts or a specific episode but a scene from Twin Peaks doesn't count well, so I think it's the opposite, isn't it? That's what I thought, because then I thought if you could isolate an interview on Howard Stern Show, that would count, but not if you just mentioned the Howard Stern Show. It seemed like opposite rules. Don't they? Um, I think what it is is there has to be, it has to be like, Something, uh, something a person could see. A something you could reference, almost as a uh, an endnote in something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like Twin Peaks. It's like yes, someone could watch all of Twin Peaks. Yes, but there's no. 
there's no place to find the scene. Right. Unless you give time code, you know what I mean? Yeah. But so what this person is doing is they're working on an archive of all the instances in which we've referenced outside media. And so far, they're up to 1,409. 1,409 separate instances. That's pretty crazy, huh? Yeah. Let's add some new... <laughs> let's, 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 let's really ratchet up his work. Yeah, let's right do now, a we-didn't-start-the-fire-style rattling off of uh, pop okay. culture. Um, um, Rocco's Modern Life, Season 2, Episode 1. I thought we were going back and oh, forth. Oh, back and forth? I mean, I'm just looking at my thing so I can quickly come up with stuff. Yeah. Um, Clumsy by Jeffrey Brown. Uh, uh, Labyrinth on beta tape. Um, the Elvis Costello bootleg, The Gangster is Back. Um, hey, oh, wait. We have, to maybe, we have to maybe put it into a sentence that it has context. Oh, I own a copy of the Elvis Costello bootleg, The Gangster is Back. Uh, Connor, have you ever watched The Wizard of Speed and Time? On VHS? Never. Never. Have you ever watched uh, Hooperman? The uh, Stephen Boschko dramedy, single camera comedy, starring John Ritter from Three's Company, Three's a Crowd, and uh, the episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer entitled Ted? No. No, I haven't. Connor, have you ever... um have you ever watched the film Fortress of America? I never have. Which I believe has an expert excerpt in the DVD by George Bush. Which George Bush? W. Fortress um, of America. Hey, did you ever read that uh, book of letters by George H.W. Bush? Um, did you ever see the episode of Sesame Street that was sponsored by the letter D? Um... Probably. How often do they repeat letter sponsorships? Uh, How do they decide that? I don't know. You mean like, like is there a season letter? two, episode three of Sesame Street, or season two, episode four of Sesame Street could have different letters and numbers? Like, what's the most common sponsor letter on Sesame Street? Uh, Which letter is sponsored? Probably the most RSTLNE, Wheel of Fortune Rolls. Fortress of RST. That's in Wheel of Fortune. Those, they always said those are the ones they give you, you know, because they're the most common ones. So close to being R.L. Stein. I've always thought that as a kid. Well, I always thought it would be funny if it was like, um, I always tried to think of like what words only use those letters. So they're like, as always, you get R-S-T-L-N-E, and then it's just like, Steelers. <laughs> like, this is, this is the name of the football team known for their all-black uniforms. Oh. Well, test, test, test. test. Uh, check your battery level on your uh, yeah. transmitter. Battery is at so good. It looks like good. Fortress of uh, uh, Adam for Franklin went to your show last night. Oh, I saw him there. Yeah. I saw him there. He was going to go home, and then Patrick was like, "Yeah, I'm going to George's talk show." And he's like, "What?" Yeah. It's like, oh, this thing Connor does. And he was like, and the guest night is David. And he was like, what? Yeah. I have to go see that. Um, it went really well last night. I, I, 
honestly, it is always just my goal at the end of it that um, the guests have fun. Yeah. Because I always feel like if the guests have fun, that means the audience enjoyed it. Right. Uh, so I was really relieved. I was really relieved when I realized as I was going. Like, there, I did that thing I, I said I was going to say. First of all, I, I came up with one thing on the spot, which was I talked about how the New York Dolls uh, in the early 1970s were really... There wasn't a punk scene then. So there were... There was like the Stooges maybe a couple years before. But there really... Punk rock didn't exist when New York Dolls started doing it. Right. And so they really were like inventing the next phase of... They were looking toward the future. And I said at that point I was making American Graffiti, which was looking back two decades at music. And I said, in a way, you could almost say that at that moment... Uh, I then pivoted as you looked to the future of the music, and what did I do next? I went into uh, Star Wars and Outer Space. So even though that takes place a long time ago, really the, the sense of it was that we were both pivoting towards the future at that point. Hilarious. Which um, he really liked that. And then there was a point where I, brought a, I had a screen grab from New York Magazine listing um, Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade, and then... One other movie, and then the next one was Let It Ride. Right. And the search, I had highlighted George Lucas's name and highlighted David Johansson's name. Yes. And um, the and said like this that this was as close as we had come to crossing. First, I asked him like, I don't believe we've ever crossed paths. Am I am I misremembering? And I was kind of you know in case there was some instance in case where he was like actually. Yeah. Because he, you know, he he was originally the voice of uh, Oogie Boogie in oh, Nightmare Before Christmas. He recorded it, and uh, apparently Tim Burton decided he didn't like it. But he still gets like he says he gets like a royalty check every year because it was a pay or play deal. Oh, interesting. Um, but we are now outside of JD's apartment, and there is stuff going on. Um, the, um, but it actually led to a fun thing, which was that I was saying, like, and you, of course, work with Richard Dreyfus in that, who was in American Graffiti, so I'm like, this is as close as, right, as you and I have come to working together. Uh, and then he said, he said, yes, yes, I did, I did work, uh, quite a lot with Richard Dreyfus in that movie. And he said, uh, let me ask. Uh, you worked with him as well. How did you find? How did you find working with Richard Dreyfus? And I said, "Well, I said I I don't want to uh, I don't want to run someone down. Uh, I don't want to say anything. But I said, uh, let me just say that uh, it's not a coincidence that increasingly uh, I made it my goal to work with fewer and fewer actual actual actors and uh, <laughs> increasingly work with uh, CGI." CGI. Yeah. Um, he told this. Uh, he told this story about. Um, Did he but, laugh at that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because he was trying to bait you, he into was like, like he was a nightmare on set. Yeah, yeah. Um, the. Uh, That's really funny. Yeah. I. Uh, so he seemed like he was a really good sport about the whole thing. Yeah, he's. He showed up in a great mood, and. Uh, 
hung out for a long time afterwards and uh, yeah I think it's really like because uh, we've been doing that it was our two year anniversary of that show last night at ECB yeah that's crazy um, and I'm curious to see what this Rolling Stone little piece is going to be yeah. about it Every, I feel like every little thing like that helps a little bit, especially because there's a part of me that's like, one of the things I like about doing that show is that it overtly doesn't have a goal beyond its own existence. Right. Because I feel like... There's no next step of it. There's nothing you can do with it. No, it would be impossible. Yeah. Uh, and there, I feel like increasingly that is kind of a, a, a rarefied thing within entertainment it always feels like everything is like well this could become a this right or maybe this could become a this right uh and i'm like no this is right. what it has become this is the most it can possibly be yeah the the only the only side aspect of it is i feel like there is a skill set that i hone when i do it that could be transferable to another thing yes that i could imagine doing something that didn't have any of the concept of this but was still as kind of unformed right um in terms of not not pre-planning and seeing what happens right uh the uh man time sure flies you know that's what made you think that just now just the fact that that i've been doing this show for two years at ucb so two years and two months since that episode where I was like freaking out about trying to book a venue for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and now, you know, that also means Terry Withers we've been doing for how long? Like uh, it'll be it'll be two years at this like Thanksgiving. Right, which is like sort of crazy. Yeah. Um Yeah, I uh <laughs> I uh That's the thing I'm, and that of all the th of all the things, that's the thing that I have the most confidence in. Uh, in terms of like whether or not it's realistic that anything could ever happen for, uh, from it, it is one of those things that I'm like on a on a quality level, on just the level of like believing in it as uh, a product. Right. That I'm like. This show, like I had a, had a weird, weird realization at one point in terms of, uh, there we go, we are, just to let listeners know, we are heading for a train, and I think we're going to make it. I hope we're going to make it. Oh, running up the stairs. Okay. We are on the train. We did it. Um, that. Uh, that. Sorry, I'm catching my breath from right up the stairs. Uh, believing in it as a thing that. 
it being one of the funniest things I've seen, meaning that, and judging the reactions that we get from audiences, meaning like, this thing that we make, that we've like, corralled into existence, is I think something you could honestly look at and say like, yeah, this is one of the funniest things that happens in New York. Sure. And that puts it at a level among funny things that happen that is like, uh, how many states in the union could we transfer that to where it would automatically be like funniest thing in the state? Yeah. Probably most uh, of them. The, so whether or not anything actually, because then you, anything actually marketable could ever happen with it. There's just something about it as an achievement that we've made, created this thing and like bundled this talent in a way that uh, it's become something even different than I think what we thought it was going to be. Uh, that feels like on its own is already like one of the things I'm proudest of in terms of like actual accomplishment. That's great. Feels good. Uh, Do you have any plants in your apartment? Plants? No. Do you? No, Keith Haskell recently gave me plants. And it's been like, teach me how to care for different types of plants. Yeah? How are you doing? <laughs> Good. It's a weird thing, though. I, I, it's like a whole skill set that I assumed was easier than I... Than it is. But they're doing well? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to do much, but it's like, each one has different things, you know? Yeah. So Keith's a plant guy? Very much so. To the point that I think Bethany is annoyed by it. Oh. Because he has so many plants. And then I started thinking, like, maybe I should bring plants to my apartment. Oh, you can keep the plant in your office? They're all in my office, yeah. Well, that'd be a big move to bring a plant home? Yeah. Oh, like that? Living with a plant? Yeah. Uh, what kind of plant do you have? I don't even know, actually. I don't actually know the name. I have no idea who they were. But what do they require that's different? Uh, one, you start out in a cup with water and no soil and let it grow and then when it's big enough then you put it in the soil this other one is already big you water it like once a week but it keeps growing in a weird direction so I have to keep like getting rid of the branches that are like going places where we go I don't know it's a whole thing it's a whole universe yeah. all the plants I don't know busy train for a uh, Saturday yeah how do you get in where do you, where do you get off uh, well, usually what I do is I get off at Lexham Avenue and then take the 4 or 5 down one stop. Or if the 7 comes, you can also jump to the 7 train. And you know that right away. What's that? And you know it because you can look out. Yeah, well, you can look and see if the like, 7 train is within like two minutes. So if you don't see it by eye, then you just don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You know what I love? It gets me like. Ooh, now we have to go in because I have to watch the edit of this episode. I should probably have grabbed food. You have grabbed food on the way to the studio. Yeah, there's no food. Everything's closed on the weekends in Midtown. It's a weird thing. It's a weird phenomenon. Even around Kips Bay area? Kips Bay is farther south. 
It's like oh, I like over closer to uh, the Grand Central side of it. Uh, yeah, there is some stuff by Grand Central. I used to live around that neighborhood. Actually, it's weird. It's weird that that's the studio that we're at because that's the street I used to live on. Really? 37. Like, literally, if I li- still lived in my old apartment, I was at 37 and second, so I would have been, like, right. four-minute walk. Yeah. That's funny. Did I say Bad timing. I hate... It's a, the worst feeling when you're at, like, your, you're near your old apartment. Yeah. You still have to go home to your new apartment. You're like, man, if I still lived here, I'd be home already. Yeah. I miss living in Manhattan a little bit just because of the commute. Yeah. There's something coming about being, like, knowing your commute was only 10 minutes as opposed to whatever. Yeah. Uh, what I found comforting was just knowing that, if necessary, I can walk home. Yeah, exactly. Like... I remember when I lived in Manhattan, there'd be times when the subways would be crazy, and I'd be like in Soho, and I'd be like, you know what? Yeah. I can walk up to 37 a second from Soho. It'll just, it'll take me 45 minutes. I walk home to Astoria sometimes. We'll convert you. From Astoria? We'll get you going. From the studio to Astoria. That's a good cartoon. And then get, where do you walk in Astoria? Home. All the way to your home? Yeah. How long does it take? Uh, 45 minutes an hour. That's an not hour, bad at all. Probably an hour, closer an hour. I feel like... Hour, actually maybe more than an hour, but it's a pretty good walk, but then once we're on the bridge, it's nice, and then once you're in Astoria, it's, you know, it's like an easy walk for you. Walking the Queensboro Bridge is really nice, actually. Yeah? I find. I, uh, I started walking it after we did Terry Crystal work. Yeah. The whole, that whole thing. Yeah. Because I realized I never, I never knew how easy, how, where the path ended up. Yeah. And it's pretty convenient. It's a nice big path. I know, like Brooklyn Bridge, like that is like very. Is narrow. it near here? Yeah, my dad said. Where is it? Where is the part where you get on the bridge? Uh, yeah, it's just right under us. Right under here. Yeah. They were so good. It takes forever to walk from here to Woodside. It would be a long walk, and it would be a pretty. You'd be under the train for most of it. It's uh, from here to the next stop is feels long. Yeah. From here to 33rd Street feels really long, and it's like all a very annoyingly gradual uphill. Right. Hey. Yeah. We have to get this episode ready, send it out to everyone for extra notes and things like that today. I think it should only take an hour tops, though. So what's the process of what you're actually going to do right now? Well, the editors have worked on it on Friday. And so today... How many editors? Two. Two. We're going to do a little bit of watch down and probably some small tweaks. If we're way over time or something, then we'll have to do tweaks. But if we're close to time, we can just pretty much watch it and send it. And I think this episode, while we shot a lot, it was pretty easy to choose what we're going to cut or not cut. Now let me ask one question that was going around I heard a couple different people talk about it was was it difficult uh, to edit uh, Gary's bit? I don't think so because he staged it really well. Good. Gary said he's like I don't know how they're going to edit it and then I heard a couple other people say like because it was all such a slow build but you're saying it's not that tricky. No I think it'll be actually pretty easy because we just were there was one main path and we just kept taking diversions and you just chop off those branches. Yeah. There was like a five minute section where Gary talked about in slow detail 
how his son smoked weed. There's like five minutes of that. Which yeah. is like, yeah, we could just cut stuff like that. It was so funny, but yeah. like, you just can't fit that. Yeah. No, it'll be great. Yeah, I feel like uh, I've I've watched I've been able to watch most of the episodes this season as they air. Yeah. On my Roku. Uh, I feel like they've all turned out really satisfying episodes of TV. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, you watch my Roku now? Yeah. They're on YouTube also. Yeah. Uh, there's something satisfying about watching it on a TV set to me. And even, even I have to watch them live. I can't, like, DVR it or anything. Yeah. Um, but there's something about watching them like an old-fashioned TV show with commercial breaks that feels like, oh, like, because... As different as it is from, like, the Eminem version, yeah. watching on YouTube could kind of be like watching the Eminem one on YouTube, which was how I, like, I never saw the Eminem version on a TV set yeah. either. Whereas this is actually like, oh, it's on my TV set. I mean, I guess I could watch the YouTube on my TV set, too, but right. uh, there's something about seeing the end of a show, and then it starts, and then commercials, and then... Because uh, I did that for the um, Trump, uh, Trump versus Bernie thing. When it aired, I watched that yeah. live with that. I watched them late because they rebroadcast them. I was out and then home. Um, I got called for jury duty recently. Yeah? Yeah. Did you go? I did because it was during the show. Yeah. And it was federal jury duty. Cool. It's far away, right? Yeah. It's all the way in Brooklyn. There's Brooklyn and there's Long Island. And I got called to Long Island. Which is in like, uh, like Maspeth or somewhere. So I sort of picked up on a railroad to get there. What uh, What do you do? So I wrote them a letter to postpone it, and I said, anytime after June 5th, is when I'll be done. And then yesterday I got a letter that was like, great, your new jury duty is June 6th. That's pretty funny. Now what happens if you're gone? Well, then what happens? If what? They, what happens now if you're gone? If I don't, if I can't do that? Yeah. I'll have to another letter. Yeah. And they'd probably be like annoyed. But I I want to get it done with because then the boxing check will be good for a couple of years and I think between projects is a good time to get it done. Yeah. Because I did it whatever three years ago. I did Queens uh, County. So I think if I do federal, it means you can wait like five years or something. Yeah. Have you done it recently? No. Um. That's yeah, the whole thing. I don't want to do it, but I'm also like, I should do it and just get it done with so that I don't have to be forced to do it during a job. Yeah. And we're now at Lexington Avenue and we're going to get the downtown train. All right. Pretty crowded. Pretty busy Saturday. Yeah, for a Saturday, it's pretty busy. Um, JD and I are now separated. He's up ahead of me. We're not that separated. And, I can uh, still hear I'm going to try to catch up to him now. And I'm going to try to keep going so he can catch up. There we go. We are on the go. We're on the move. 
and JD is going way faster than me through this crowd. See, I told you I was getting really fast. We're far enough away that he can't hear me, but he's trying to lose me. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh wait, we're gonna make the ahead of me. I also like that whenever we do this, we sound like such crazy people on the train. Yeah. So it sounds like we're truly getting on the train and go, well, we're on the train now, and yeah. <laughs> the train's about to go. Now it's going to start. It feels like we're part of, like, a uh, like train anxiety group. Yeah. And, like, this is our first be okay. day of exposure therapy, <laughs> where it's like, okay, so we're just here. Just a train. And the train's moving. And... Anxiety does not define me. Today I thrive. Terry, sunny side. Anxiety can affect anyone and is treatable. Let's talk openly about mental health issues. Together we can heal. I agree. If you want to learn more about mental health, visit nyc.gov slash thrive New York. Thrive in. Why see? Thrive What's the most fun thing you do all week, JD? Nothing. Oh. Yesterday I did Griffin and David's podcast. Uh, the Blank Check podcast. Yeah. And we talked about they're they're now on the Wachowskis every episode, like every they take a director who's been given blank checks and they go through all their films and discuss them. Uh-huh. And they're doing the Wachowskis right now. And so they're doing the Speed Ranger episode and they like, so it's me and Emily Yoshida, The Verge. And we discussed Speed Racer and it was like a two hour long conversation. That's good. That was fun. So I will go to bed hard for Speed Racer. Still haven't seen it. It's a good one. I know, I need to. I, point. I, mean, I feel like I, I feel can't like, really talk. I don't want to talk about it because I just did two and a half hours on it. No, but here's what I'll say about it is let me know if you ever see it showing someplace and we'll go see the screening of it. Yeah, I bet it won't. You bet it won't? No. That you'll, would be you'll, fun. you'll have to curate it. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is you'd want to see it in like 4K, like full. It can't be like a DVD. You know what I mean? This is yeah. Grand Central, 42nd Street. Um, Transfer is available to the 6th. What are the odds that there'd be a retrospective of their work including the fourth day? That would be cool. Right? That would be cool. It could happen? Yeah. Have you gone to that new theater, the one that they were all going to... I went know, last night. How was it? Saw Hannah and her sister. Oh, uh, Patrick said that the print was a little scratchy? It was a bad print, but it was, it's a really beautiful theater. Uh... I like that that place exists. They have really nice seats, too. Ooh, They're, like, good. not fancy What's the name seats. of the place? The Metrograph. The Metrograph. Great name. And they have a real hip waiting room and a real, real hip concession stand. What do they serve, like? It's, like, boiling soda. And like, oh. Yeah. I'm going to lose time right here. Right, he's trying to lose me again. Oh. He's kept away from me. Why? Why? 
Why is JD trying to run away from me? I thought that was good. Alright. JD knows these corridors. He has specific goals for where he wants to enter and exit the station. I know them well. I never go this way. Really? No. I've walked these halls all day, every day. I live here. Here's the thing that I don't like they do, though. That's what? the real exit I want to take, but they gate it up. Why? I think because it goes into a private building. They, they gate what? The exit, look. Oh, right. Like usually that's how I would skedaddle. Okay, let's go with this one. Alright. Now we are leaving the subway area. And go out into Grand Central. Grand Central is the place to be. Farm living supply for me. Now we could leave out this door, but I always like to walk through Grand Central. Yeah. Uh, that. What? That hallway right there, Vanderbilt Hall. That's where I'll go and talk to my parents before I get on the train some nights. I'll call them and check in and I'll You're stand hungry. there. You're hungry, you can go to the dining concourse. I know, have you ever been to the dining concourse? Yeah, I've taken trains down there. Have you ever been to the Oyster Bar? No. It's one of the top places, seafood places. Uh-huh. I think it's more the ambiance than the food, but the food is really good. Beautiful Grand Central. Beautiful Grand Central. Look up and look around. Look at the the, uh, the cigarette brick. What? That, see that? Okay. See the corner there? Yeah. That one brown brick. Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? Where? In so which like part? Follow, follow the that big line with the yeah. dashes. Yeah, in I it. see it. Yeah, yeah, one brown brick. So that was they refurbished the ceiling. Yeah about, I don't know, like decades ago. And that was what the ceiling used to look like because of all the cigarette smoke. Yeah, so they kept one just to show it? Yeah. Wow, where'd you learn that? Uh, I think Keith Haskell. The plant man? The plant man. Well, Farm living is the life for me. Nordic flavors coming to Vanderbilt Hall. Finally. Savory breads, powerful porridge, tasty granadas. Um, do you ever eat at Pershing Square? No, have you? No. It says it's the best breakfast in New York. Really? Yeah. Who says that? 
says it on the uh, busiest and best. Let's make this. I'm living, it's the life for me. Um, she got our breakfast here. I know we should have. Do you want to grab lunch as we walk over? What? Do you want to grab lunch as we walk over to the edit? Sure. Is there something in particular you'll eat? Whatever. That's not true. I'll eat whatever. Ever been to Numpang? Sounds wrong. It's a uh, Bon Mi sandwich place. Yeah. Do you like Bon Mi? Bon not me. You don't like it? I don't think I would. Just like pork sandwiches? Maybe. I'm not super hungry. I had two big yogurts. Okay. So I would chase your taste. All right, I'm gonna go there and get get yeah. lunch. You're a working man. You got a working plan. Hungry. Working man with a working plan. Hungry. Hungry. We'll go there as we walk over. If I see something anywhere, I'll grab something. You're going to grab the food and take it with you to the edit? Yes. Yeah. Right now, JD's sending messages. He's reading stuff on his phone because he's shifting towards a working mode. It's the working podcast. How many podcasts do you listen to where in the middle of the podcast they go to work? We could have gone to a movie. Instead, we went to work. Oh, You know, it's okay, though, because I think the work segment might be fascinating. A little behind the scenes, a little glimpse behind the curtain. Exactly. Now, a lot of we are unhappy people waiting for a bus. Yeah, in the middle of a, what is it now? It's 2.15 on a Saturday afternoon. 2.15 on a Saturday night. Ah. 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 We are at Lexington and 41st Street. Yeah. Oh, we can make this. Near the everyday... Gourmet Cafe. It's open every day. Every day. Um, what else has happened? I was in England for a week in January. Oh, yeah? Uh, uh, went over and did some improv workshop stuff. And now we're going to Numpang Sandwich Shop. Here we are. It's a great one. They have the, it's set out for a waiting line, but no line, because it's Saturday after the lunch rush. We're within the hour, so. Oh. How are you? Can I get a pulled pork sandwich? Uh, with chips, a cookie, and a lemon gingerade. Thank you. Absolutely. Hi, how are you? 
Oh, I'm good. Hey. Um, I'm not hungry right now. I had I had two I had too many yogurts this morning. You know, too many. Yeah. Well, a different food schedule than you, JD. I know. Um, I feel like I'm on a responsible food schedule though. Yeah, probably. This isn't, this isn't well, I had my I had my smoothie this morning too. I had my vegetable smoothie God, right before that. It's left. so weird that you do that to me. What do you mean? Because you hate vegetables, but you just really just. Choke it down. How do I do that to you? No, you didn't, I didn't do At least I, so weird, I thought you said it's so weird that you do that to me. I said it's well, weird it's so you. weird to me that you do that. It's what I should yeah. say. Um, it would be weird if I did it to you, though. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's um, <laughs> It's just like nutritional. It's just it's just getting nutrients in. Yeah, but I just the amount that you dislike vegetables. Yeah. I mean, people can see finally in the Tony Hill video how little you like vegetables. Yeah. Uh, the way you behave eating a pickle was bizarre. I mean, think of something that you hate. Is there something that you would hate to eat? Thank you, you too. Is there something that you would hate to eat? Yogurt. I mean, yeah, you looked away. Have a good day. If you had to eat a whole yogurt like that. Also, now is our, our uh, per episode time where Upon saying thank you, I'd just like to shout out our friend who told us that we were too nice. Oh, were we nice just now? Yeah, we were just nice. Oh. And we were criticized for being too nice. Well, you know what? Fuck it. Right? Well, he also recently tweeted I know. at us. I know. Saying that it bothered him how we could always bring it up. So well, now. now it's a classic segment. That's how a segment is born. Yeah. I think now, per his wishes, we have to be rude to someone on the street. Yeah. What, what do you say that's rude? How, how do we... So you're like, where do you think you're going? All right, the next... You lost? Do you need help? <laughs> oh, wait, you went, you went back to the uh, nice uh, thing. Uh, hey, what's your deal, man? Is there any way we can be of help? <laughs> I didn't think so. All right, the next person we pass will go, excuse me. That's so rude. That's so rude. Here we go. All right. Here we go. I'm getting, I'm shaking. I'm nervous. Okay. All right. Okay. And excuse me. Oh, we did not. Uh-oh. Oh, look what happens to rudeness in New York. Those drivers could sense it. Yeah. We, we started the flow of the... Ghostbusters flying beneath the city oh. with that. Hey. This is all on you. Um, I'm fascinated by the phenomenon. I mean, it's it's more, it's not that it's a fascinating phenomenon. I am just like stunned that it actually exists. That that whole story about like the Ghostbusters trailer being the most disliked movie trailer in the history of YouTube. Yeah. And how they can basically track, like it doesn't match any patterns other than, oh, people are actively trying to make this happen. Yeah. Um, that combined with the reactions of uh, people to uh, Rogue One having a female hero uh, after Force Awakens having Rey yeah 
that it does seem like, I'm hoping that it's just like a loud fringe, but like the kind of thing where like Trump has a following and it's scary. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, But but if you actually start looking at the numbers, you're like, well, it is scary that there are that many people who like Trump. Right. But there's also an element to which, um, like, if you look at, I've seen reports on TV that are talking about how, like, Trump could win New York. And if you actually look at the raw vote total for right. New York State, and especially New York City, he's nowhere near it. Like, it was just impossible. Right. Like, uh, he he's nowhere near the neighborhood of even coming in third uh, if you had everybody running and you were counting all their vote totals. Yeah. That, like, in New York City, he got 69,000 votes right. in New York City. So he didn't even crack six digits. And... Like, Bernie and Hillary, like, Bernie got, like, almost half a million, uh, and she got, like, half a million. Right. But that doesn't get reported because it's kind of like, no, the story is, like, Trump's on the march. Yeah, exactly. And I'm hoping that, like, it's so hard for me to imagine, like, it's easy for me to imagine someone not being enthusiastic about a Ghostbusters reboot. Right. But the people who are actively mad on, along gender lines... Right. Seems like how I'd love to have an actual conversation with someone who is actually upset for that reason to well, try to figure out what damaged them. Interesting. See, I think I think what it is to them is they feel like um, there are outside forces uh-huh. that are mandating that all of their entertainment have female leads and be female skewed. Right. Which to them, I think they would argue not that they are against females in leads or whatnot, but that it feels like it's being pushed upon everything. Right. Which I think is a nice way of them, you know, uh, cognitive dissonancing themselves out of just wanting all male leads and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right. Or it's like for the first time something's not right made just to be an image of them and it's like that's striking to them. Yeah. And they feel like it's an attack on them to some degree where it's like like you know like if you're at like I don't know like if you're in a family with a bunch of kids, right? And it's yeah. like, one kid's like, I'm going to sing now, I'm going to sing now. And then, like, they get up and sing and feel like, hey, look at me, I have all the attention. And the parent's like, all right, all right, now it's now it's someone else's turn. Yeah. That, like, feels like a a jab, even though it's not. You know right. what I mean? But I want to And I it. think that's, exactly. It's like, wait, wait weren't, I thought we were all enjoying me singing. Yeah. And I feel like that's how these people feel. Oh, that they're like, like, I thought we were all enjoying all movies being men. Yeah, exactly. I thought we were enjoying all of the things that I like. Um, that's, that's the thing, though, that, like... And then they're always flabbergasted. I think that these are the same people when, like, girls that grow up and, like, aren't obsessed with Star Wars, and they're like, Why not? what do you mean you haven't seen Star Wars? What do you mean you don't like Ghostbusters? Yeah. That's crazy. 
And then now when people are like, what do you mean you don't like that trailer? They're like, it just seems like not for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that's even a false equivalency because the Ghostbuster trailer isn't for women. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me how it's, much... Um, we live in a society where, if anything, like if I were to speculate on what a what you or I would consider a problem, one of the problems we would consider is that like there's too much, there's so much media to consume. Yeah. That there, even though it means there's a lot of bad media, there's actually too many good things for us to ever experience them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why I probably have. Uh, a hard time processing how much energy a lot of people spend on uh, hating the stuff that they hate. Right. Is because to me the more exhausting thing is like, oh, I'm never going to get to see all the good stuff I like. Right. Because uh, there's just too much of it. Uh, that, like, I found an interesting thing. There were there's an interesting phenomenon. Like, I think you and I were among the lucky majority of people who. Really enjoyed Force Awakens. Yes. And had a fun time with it. And I don't think either of us... We both approached it wanting to have a good time, and so we did. Yeah, exactly. And... We went into it going, hey, this is a new Star Wars. I hope this is fun. Yeah. I hope this feels like Star Wars fun. And there's things that are not good about Force Awakens. Sure. I know that. Yeah. But I just ignore them for the fun parts that I do like. And to me, it's also like, there's things that aren't good about... A New Hope, but I've yeah. never focused any attention on them because they're so dwarfed by all the things that are good about it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also what I found was like, I do have some sympathy for some of the people who saw it and didn't love it and felt like left, like angry, like in a left out sort of way. Right. Like everyone else is having fun. Because I've had that a couple times with things where I'm like, Everybody loves this, and I don't like it. And it feels like, why? Why? You know? Right. Because I would rather like stuff. Exactly. Um, And the... uh, There were a couple of people that I talked to that I realized... uh, A couple of people that I talked to where I realized that part of it might be, like... Oh, like, they're like, yeah, it was good, but I didn't really, you know, I don't know. And I was like, you know what it might be? It might just be that, like, this kind of thing isn't for you anymore. Like, right. it's a, like, it's totally logical to think that someone who loved Star Wars when they were a child might be shown a perfectly good example of it as a middle-aged adult and it not ring their bell anymore. Right, exactly. And that... The answer to that surely isn't, we need to make this more appealing to middle-aged men. JD is hopping to try to make his uh, security thing. Got it. Happen. Uh, we're now in the... the uh, hello. Hello. We're in the, near the edit bay. Mooj? Billy? Nobody. Empty offices. Um, okay. But yeah, like that thing of like, there's no shame in getting to a point where it's like, uh, 
There's stuff I liked when I was a kid that if they made new ones that were just as good now. Right. Like, I watched the Smurfs when I was a kid, and I liked them, but if, if someone made a perfectly great Smurfs series now, it was every bit as good, maybe even better than the original, I don't know that I would be in the mood to watch it. You would it. be like, yes! I would be like, oh, these new Smurfs are good. Right. Um, but if everybody else was reacting like, oh, man, you got to see these new Smurfs. Right. It would feel weird because it would be like, yeah, I saw it. I don't get it. You know, it would just right. be like... I'm trying to think if there is something that was like that, that everyone liked and I just don't get. When I think of it like... That I, that I tried. Because there are things like Game of Thrones that I just don't watch. Yeah. That I don't get it, but only because I don't know it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I, it's not that I don't understand it. It's that I just... It's, you're not in it. You're not, I'm not in you're it. You're not in it. Yeah. Like, that's, when I can think of the handful of things where, like... I, I guess there are people... I know people who don't like it as well, but, like, when, when the movie Moulin Rouge came out, I really didn't enjoy watching it. Right. And it felt... And, it, and I got angry watching it. And I have a feeling that I'm probably... I'm probably in the wrong about it on some level. Not in terms of my feeling about it, but just in terms of like, oh, this isn't really... Uh, like, what I felt... The anger I felt watching it was more frustration, I think, at knowing how many people were really having fun right. and that it wasn't a fun time for me. And... There is something about that that triggers like a sense of like being left out, being excluded uh, from a fun time that everyone's having. I mean, it's a yeah. really privileged problem to have. But, uh, is that a ghost? What up, Mooj? Um, JD is now setting his lunch out. I'm setting my lunch out at the writer's table. Do you always eat at the writer's table when the writers aren't here? No, because we're rarely on the side. brainstorming producer's table. What up? Nothing. Connor and I are recording 12-hour day. We're in the nice. middle of it. So you are on the air. Have a great time. Thanks. You're, you have a great time being on the podcast. You're currently on it. Oh, wonderful. You're right now. I just got on me. Connor didn't get on me. Because I know, have two yogurts like and a smoothie. And it's like vegetables. What kind of smoothie do you have? I had a vegetable smoothie. But I didn't have a smoothie for pleasure. I had a smoothie for health. Okay. I put the, the straw... As, Far back as I can get it. <laughs> All right. Leah, let me know. I'm ready to jump in whenever. It's uh, basically when you're done with your sandwich. Oh, great. Ooh. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to eat this sandwich then. Take that time with the sandwich, though. You know? Enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm going to undo my wallet, so. Yeah. So they'll just be on the table. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I'm real tired, JD. Really? Yeah. Is it noticeable? When did you go to sleep last night? I didn't get home until about three. I don't think we can do that anymore. If I had the show. Like, I don't... I can't really do midnight shows. I go to sleep at like 11.30 now. Like a boss. I've changed my entire life schedule after all my weird health stuff. Yeah. I don't generally do it, but... Uh, like, I knew, I knew going into this weekend that I'd be like, oh, once it starts on Friday night, it doesn't stop. Like, once I headed in last what night for shows... Tomorrow? 
uh, coaching an ASCAT, and I'll find some time here and there to rest. Because even when I'm done with this podcast, going to see that show, um, I'm going to be sleepy. Yeah. Um, Tammy Sager and I are, are having a, uh, a pen and paper hangout tomorrow. Yeah. Because she's really into pens. Pens. And I've just begun getting into that world. So now she's like, you got to come over and see all the pens. Yeah. Uh, she brought like a carrying case full of pens to ask at once and was showing them to me. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, that's fun. hear that show in the other room yeah um hi boy boy I we're gonna be done with second season in three weeks no how do you feel about that fine no, it'll be nice to be done. Yeah. But it's been a fun season. Yeah. Um, I... How do you feel about that? Oh. I mean, this season feels different than the other ones, I think, because it had the biggest break preceding it. Um, because even the break between M&N and season one on Fusion, there was that long period of pre-season right. uh, build-up, so it really only felt like a month or two off, whereas this was like the better part of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, did feel a little different. Uh it also feels a little different because the uh, each audience feels a little different, right? Because of the new method. How have you been feeling about that in terms of like uh, getting good response? In terms of like, are you do you hear stuff or feedback from like first timer people, audience people, people who are? Yeah, everyone really enjoys it. Yeah, that's good. I think you found a good rhythm too. Yeah, I feel like the last couple of weeks have really been. I think last season and. Being in this scene a little bit, I was like, Connor, get back out there when like we were breaking of that. Yeah. And now you've sensed that it's like, oh, the moment something stops, I jump in. Yeah. In a way that's been. I did in the other nice. night, but that was because I thought you were still doing pickups. I didn't want to run out while oh, pickups no. were happening. Uh, but otherwise, you've been doing good. Um, I like doing that mind melt thing. Um, Whatever that ended up with you fucking a pig on the ground. That was Shannon's fault. That was a moment where I was like, Connor, I mean, we've lost them. <laughs> the, uh, actually, uh, a, somebody said to me, an audience member came up to me and specifically commented on how they liked that moment, which I was surprised by. But the point of crowd work is not to um, yeah. endear a single audience member. Uh, the uh, Well, they say if you can make... Just one person happy that you <laughs> succeeded. 
Yeah, it's like Andy Kaufman doing warm-up material. That's that's the warm-up comics uh, creed. If you can, if you reach just one person, you've made a difference. It's not at all. Um, that the no the mind that was me offering to do any impression that anyone wanted, and that was Shannon's suggestion. I felt like I had to comply with it, but it was counterproductive. <laughs> it did not. Necessarily warm the audience up to anything. No, um, but I did feel proud that I was discreet with it because I feel like there were a lot of crude ways it could have gone. Where I felt like I went with the way that was, it was that was an impression of Sinead O'Connor fucking a pig. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but the thing where I started having the audience, we're all going to think the same thought and we're all thinking the same sentence, and then it's right. a long run-on sentence. I think I did that in the comedy, something like that in the Comedy Central pilot. I think with the Comedy Central pilot, it was a thing where there was a long chant that kept having more long bits to it that were so complicated that they weren't like normal chants. But I think with this one, the longer it goes on, it has that story of Everest quality to it. Right. Where the longer it goes on, the more people kind of get into it. Right. And it's a good one for when the time needs to keep stretching and there's no known out point for it. Because every person is actively involved in it. Right. And it's... I think I tend to like the ones that lean a little closer toward the cult. Uh, right. Uh, I feel like that suits the show better than it would another show to go to that kind of like, we are all... We are all... Yes. You wouldn't be there at, like, that wouldn't Fallon. Ru- yeah. it would, I think it would ruin almost any other show. Uh, or it's or it's the wave of the future for all shows. Exactly. Um, all um, right. Are you going to do the edit? I'm going to do the edit. Where are we better? Where are we better taking the podcast? Are we better me? You keep the mic in here so you can get work done, or do we want to get a glimpse behind the curtain, or what's best? Um. I can also make some phone calls on speakerphone for the podcast. Why don't you do phone calls first? Uh-huh. Because we'll have to have a discussion of, like, what's working, what's not working, and I don't want that to be... Public. It's yeah. private. But near the end, when we're just, like, watching through, that's... Come in and let me, let me know whenever it is. Yeah. I'm going to turn um, my lob off, though. Okay. Unless you want to use that for your phone call. Yeah, you can use that for the phones. Uh, oh, for for speakerphone? Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll be back. All right. Uh, uh, um. Well, let's see. Do, 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 do. All right, so it's just me. I'm in a room here. Oh, hey, what's the code for... The bathroom. Bathroom. Three five zero. Three five zero. Great, great. Um. Well, now it's just a portion of the show where I'm gonna maybe make some phone calls and see what happens. Who should we call? Who should we call? Let's see. I'll look through my phone and see. Let's call my mom. 
Yep. Nope. No answer. No answer. Let's try Will Hines. I have an email from Will Hines. Let me just see what this says. Mm -mm -mm. Will Hines, please leave a message. Nope, nope, nope. No message. Should we try calling? Let me look and see what our options are. Do, 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 do. I'm going to call my friend Tom Levin. He's a, he's a good egg. A bad day. Nope. No luck. Boy, oh boy. Here, let's try calling. Um, who can I try calling? Do 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 do. You know, there are times when it feels like. I don't have that many phone numbers in my phone. Here, I'll call Casey Jost. He's fun, and I called him at one point, and he answered the phone. If you haven't, if you don't know who Casey Jost is, he's a fun guy, funny, talented, multi-talented. Hey, Casey, this is Connor. You're on. The, you're on. I'm recording you. You're on Twelve Hour Day with JD and Connor. Uh, I figured I'd be okay, but I wanted to say it right off top so it wasn't a prank. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I would have, you know, I prefer pranks. I know. But. I know. Yeah, I appreciate that. This is my second appearance on it. That's right. Who's that? Casey Jost. Hey. Yeah, JD says hi. JD's at work here, so I thought I'd make some phone calls. Um, he's in the edit. We're in the editing bay for Gethard Show for a little while, and I thought I'll call a few friends and see what's happening. That's so nice of you. What hour is this? Uh, well, it's almost 3 o'clock, and I think we started about 9.45. So uh, we're... we're I, can't, I, I can't do math like that. I can't do math that quickly with time. Uh, we're not at the halfway point yet, but it's close. Um, cool. And, uh, yeah, because I think... Yeah, because when, when we get to 6.45, we'll only have three hours left. And I feel like it's not, so I think we're at, we're at yeah, actually 2.44. I wait that, let me see. We're, we are at the five just, hour, we're exactly at the five hour mark, I think. I think like people just doing math on a podcast is like, you, you could like kind of separate, you could make a whole new podcast with like just people talking about like Ooh. time and math, counting. Well, that's a great idea. I wish 12 hour day was part of like a, the head of like Nerdist, how Nerdist was a podcast, but then it became like, Nerdist Industries and part of the Nerdist Network. Yeah. Like if 12 Hour Day had like a, a network of podcasts, 
I would accept your pitch for a math-based podcast that's just people doing math because they want to, not because they like it. Wait, because they want to, not because they like it? Yeah, that's the pitch. It's intriguing, right? Yeah, very. Because it doesn't, it sounds like a distinction without a difference, but you would, every week you would maintain that we're, this is a podcast where people do math because they want to, not because they like it. That's fine. And then we could do a spinoff of that of like, um, you know, like grammar intention, you know, and like, you know, sort of breaking down, like what we just did, like breaking down, like the distinction between wanting and liking. Yeah. But that's like, they're just keeping the network going. Yeah. It's like you and I know in comedy that there, there's a very, it's very important to distinguish, distinguish between, between comedians and humorists. Yes, yes, you're right. Right? Yeah, are you a comedian, or are you a humorist, or are you a stand-up, or are you uh, a comic actor? I feel like I'm a comic act. I feel like I'm a comedic actor. Comedic actor, different than comic and, actor. And local personality. That's true. I don't feel like I could say that I'm a stand-up because I haven't put in my time. I haven't done. I don't I haven't done the chops. You know. I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I feel like I've, I've even done, a, you know, a, a, a fair amount of stand-up, but I don't consider myself a stand-up. Yeah. But I don't think I, I com I don't think I complain enough to be considered a professional stand-up. But, but like, I want to, I want to consider myself a comedian, just because like I am on stage all the time doing comedy. Yeah. So I think like that that should count, and I also think like a, I think like a comic, a comedian, a comedic actor is. Is, is sort of like I, as an actor I want to be just an actor I don't want to be loaded to just comedic roles but yeah, I uh, I probably mostly will get those so I want to be a comedian and an actor um, I f started feeling comfortable referring to myself as a comedian after the New York Times wrote that review of the step of D DCM that mentioned the stepfathers and said yeah. that it was made up of veteran comedians and so I was like cool. well now I can say Veteran comedian says the New York Times about me. Because you could cite your reference. Yeah, I, yeah. Show your work. That's the name yeah. of that's the name of our other math podcast. Show your work. That's great, and it's not about math at all. It's just about like, uh, like it's kind of like a weird way to brag. You like just yeah. show articles about yourself. Yeah. Um, and you show you show like you know projects you've done, and it's just the same. Like you know, different people come on and just show their work. Um, I haven't seen the episode of Inside Amy Schumer yet that you guys were on this week, but I've seen the screen grab. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it, was, it was it was fun to shoot, and then it was kind of funny to see that bring that house and like where you shot into the be in like a full sketch. Mm -hmm. That was kind of cool too. Yeah, and uh, it's fun. It's like a three seconds, but it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of nice. It's really nice. I'm looking forward. I, when I get a chance, I'm going to watch it. Um. Yeah, and then uh, I was, it's funny because I was also, I filmed another, like, small bit on that uh, for the show, and then it was, it's in the same episode. Ooh. So it's like a duble. Double your jost. Double your jost. This is turning into show your work. Yeah. Uh, it's like a backdoor pilot. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, It's yeah. like when Gary Sinise showed up on uh, Law and & Order, and then they gave him his own Law & Order, and before him... David Caruso showed up on a Law and Order, and they gave him his own. No, that was CSI, CSI, not Law and Order. Like there was CSI, uh, and then they went to Florida and hung out with David Caruso, and then they had CSI Miami, and then I think it was a CSI Miami episode where they went up to New York, and then they made CSI New York. 
Dick Wolf stuff, right? Is that Dick Wolf? Does he do CSI? Oh, I just assumed. I don't think he does. I think he does Chicago I... blank and Law and Order blankety blank blank. Okay, so CSI is like a different. It's a different. It's a different franchise. It's, it's CBS, and I feel like Dick Wolf is pretty solidly a, an NBC guy overall. Because now he does like yeah. Chicago blanket store, Chicago sandwich emporium. Oh, what, oh, so wait, what's, what's Chicago Fire? Is that NBC? No, that's NBC. Chicago Fire, their fire department, right? And is that Dick Wolf? Yeah, it's Dick Wolf. Chicago wow, Med, okay. it was like a hospital or whatever, right? Yeah. Do you, let me ask you this, Connor. Uh, do, uh, do you watch, have you ever watched that show Grimm? I never have. I used to read the comic strip Mother Goose and Grimm. I don't think it's related. Grimm is basically this weird, it's basically law and order, but with like um, fantasy characters and stuff. And it's, I've, I, it's a really bad show, but I've watched every single episode and they have over 100 episodes. Ooh, you like it. I, I can't say that. Well, I, I could say that I like it, but I can. I, but I'll also say that it's not a good show. You can like something that's not good. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, but it's it's not even like I, I I it's not it's it's weird. It's not even like it's a train wreck that I like to watch. It's not even like it's like Maury or um, uh, like a like a like a like Jersey Shore. It's not like that because it's not a guilty pleasure. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of just like, oh, like I, I, like I know all the storylines and stuff and I, I read it. It's like pulp. It's like uh, maybe reading one of those, like, you know, like, uh, like my mom reads like kind of pulp novels, you know? Yeah. You like it. It's okay. It's, yeah, it's fun. Ugh. But it's, it's funny. It's, I, I watched it as a joke at first and then I just watched every single episode of the season and then I watched everyone since. That's good. But otherwise I don't watch much TV. Um, <clears throat> anything happening with your learning channel show? Uh, it got, uh, it was, it, uh, the learning channel passed on it. That's a hard no. Yeah, it was too, it was too, uh, highbrow. You know? Um, I think they, they're going to, I think they're going to, that company is going to try to fish it around a little bit more, but it, it's cool. I mean, I think there might be other places for it. And if not, on to the next one, on to the next one. What you got? Anything you want to plug? You got any th projects you want to promote? Um, let me think. Projects I want to promote. Uh, I, I've been I've been having a lot of fun every Friday on Take It Personal with the uh, Sex of Sounds and Ooh. that crew. You're doing tribe called Yes. That's at nine o'clock on Friday. That's at nine. Nine at that's a beast. You're gonna actively. So fun. You're gonna do this to me. You're gonna. I ask you. I give you a, an outlet, and you actively promote a show. <laughs> That happens across town at the same time as my show. Wait, which one? Uh, oh, the stepfather. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, you know they said you had balls, Casey Jones. <laughs> but I didn't know they were that big. <laughs> I was. I, I when you said it, like the, the show is at the same time. I was like, George Lucas show's not at night. <laughs> I was like, that's that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> um. I heard that J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, was at the last George Lucas uh, talk show. Last night? No. No, no, I don't, no uh, the, the, the one of, you know, a few weeks ago, J that J.J. Uh, Abrams was there. That's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, I asked you to do that. Yeah, that's right. And it was me. <laughs> Are we going to show your work? No. No. We're back on 12-hour day with J.D. Oh. and Connor. Um, I, have, I had 
so much fun doing that. So we, I, I would, I would, I would really like to have. I liked when you called in. I'd like to, 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 to like to be a guest again as JJ. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely gonna have JJ back. Definitely. Are there any characters you do that are are not? Um, that you like don't talk about like you're as like, like you think it's another like you say it's another person um I guess you wouldn't say this <laughs> I guess you wouldn't if that was true I you don't wouldn't think say so it. I think um I usually uh, the only thing I do with that is I, I it's not that I do a thing where it's like oh he's real who are you talking about or whatever um similar but different I do compartmentalize bits where it's like when people tweet at me because uh, usually they're way out of date. Usually I'll get things where like, hey, I thought you were running for president. And I'll be like, yeah, four years ago. You know, like I'm not doing a different like there'll yeah. be people who they their awareness of the of the bit is that I'm still running for president. I'd be like, no, I've been training for the Olympics for four years. Right. And what's funny too is I consider like those to be characters. Like, I, and then that is your name. Yeah. And that's I your also bit. I it's also like, consider. Well, that's the thing. When people tweet at my Twitter with either Olympic or presidential things, and they want to interact like that, they're like, "I thought you were. What about this or whatever?" I almost always am just like, "Go over to this Twitter. That's where I do that." Um, yeah. And I do. Yeah, I, right. I like, which is different than saying like. Like, I consider that a character uh, in the same way that I expect when I'm doing presidential or, or Olympic stuff. I don't want people to bring up, like, he does improv at UCB. Right. Like, that's right. actually the more important distinction is that when I was doing those character versions of me, those characters don't do comedy shows. Yes, of course. Because... Yeah. It wouldn't make sense for me because then it's a joke. You know what I mean? So it was like the version of me that's running for president, the only thing he was really interested in was his age and that he wanted to, to accomplish this. And, right. and it kind of weirdly um, diminishes the bit if then you're like, wait, you're running for president? Are you going to still do Stepfathers on Friday night? Like, it suddenly is like, oh, this is no fun for some reason. Yeah. I think that's... anything like that, it feels like if you were going to include in Star Wars a shot of Mark Hamill walking to his car. You know, like, yeah. it would immediately be like, oh, this movie's less fun. They should have cut that part out. It really kind of ruins it, the whole film. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. I, but you didn't, want to, you didn't want to do a different name as those characters. No, because... Part of what was funny about it was that it's me. I'm the character. Definitely for 35, that's important because, like, if you're saying your, your, your character is 35, that, that might as well be not true. Right. You, know, you could do that any year, you know, or for the rest of your life, say that you're 35, and it undermines it, but it, so it had to be you. Yeah, and the Olympic, the Olympic could be someone else, but the, the narrative of the person who went from wanting to be president to uh, be Olympic is very funny. Yeah, and... Yeah, and it's an important thing that I can, like, pick and choose what parts of me are up for grabs. Like, it became part of the narrative that I was fired by Tom Hanks from Band of Brothers. Right. Because it got brought up in the context of a show where I was doing the Olympic thing. So that just became fair game for part of it. Because I feel like, oh, that's still funny. Like, that's funny that this character had that happen to them. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it is like a pick and choose, but, but which is different than me being like, Connor's not here or whatever like that. Well, I mean, we still got a few minutes to fill on this podcast, but okay, yeah. I guess live your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, James McCarthy's over. We're, um, we're, we're working on some stuff for that. Is James there right now? Yeah, he's in the other room watching uh, TV. What's on? What's on TV? Uh, we're watching Bad Grandpa. Dead Grandpa. Bad Bad Grandpa. Oh, bad Grandpa. Is that the De Niro yeah, movie? What? That's the De Niro movie. No, bad, uh, bad Grandpa is the uh, Jackass movie. The uh, the um, he's Dirty Grandpa. Johnny, Johnny Knoxville, Dirty Grandpa. Uh, yeah. Is are you gonna watch Dirty Grandpa? Um, not today, but event, like maybe one day. I, actually, I feel like I'll never watch that movie. Uh, let's do it. You want to watch it? Yeah, let's watch Dirty Grandpa. Let's watch Dirty Grandpa, and, and we should do a commentary track for it. And, and tell it on yeah. our other podcast network All right. where we do, comment, we do commentary on movies that we never made. I think that's great. Uh, can I say hi to James real quick? I won't take up any time, I promise. Sure, sure, hold on. If you don't know who James McCarthy is, he's really funny. Oh, cool. Hey, Connor, how's it going? Hey, James, how you doing? Next to Lisa Kleiman watching Bad Grandpa. How is it? It's not great. Do you think it's better than uh, Dirty Grandpa? I didn't see Dirty Grandpa. Which one was that? The De Niro one? Oh, uh, no, that's on my queue somewhere. Do you, th- what, well, do you think that one's going to be better or worse than Bad Grandpa? I think... I think better. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I just... Pretty good, pretty good. We're we're about forty five minutes away from the halfway point. Oh, awesome! Congratulations. Who's, oh. who's there right now? Is JD there? I'm alone right now. JD's editing, so I started making some phone calls. You, Casey was my my first call that made it through, and then I was glad to get right. an extra chance to talk to you. Say hi to Lisa for me. Alright, do I talk to Lisa? Sure, yeah. Alright, I'll around. Nice talking to you. Right, nice talking to you. See you soon. Hi, how you doing? This is Connor. You're on a podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. What's... Oh, no. Something happened to your voice on the connection. Oh, yeah. We have bad reception in our apartment. Oh, it was... Now it's fine. Now it's fine. We normally have a landline, which is something that you can know about, but I'm sure the listeners will love to know about Casey and I, is that we have a landline because our apartment does not have good reception. Uh, also, a landline in an emergency is great. Well, it is, except it's connected to our internet and cable. Yeah. So, actually, an emergency would be completely useless, we realize. Oh, so it's not a proper landline? No, no, we got it through Time Warner. Oh. So, but we were like, oh, this will be great in the case of an emergency, but then we are like, oh, no, it's just, it's just not. It's just a digital phone line. Exactly. Oh, that's too bad. Because I know. Uh, back in the great blackout of 2002 or whenever it was, 2003, uh, 
all the powers out, but we had a landline at that time, and it really was great. That was like the best thing like ever, right? Wasn't it like in the summer and like everyone was just like having a great time? Um, yeah, not a great time, but I, some people probably had a good time. Or maybe I'm confusing it with the NBC black. All the shows had a blackout. Do you remember that? Yeah, um, yeah. All one show after another. Caroline in the City had blackout, right? Yeah, yeah. Friends had one. Yeah, I think Mad About You. Yeah, that was great. That was like a great, uh, like kind of like sweep, sweep concept. Yeah, I, uh, that's like a, they used to do that with TJF shows too, where they'd be like, there'd be a big storm or there's something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't, it's harder to do now. How would they do that? Like all the movie, all the shows on Netflix would all of a sudden have a birthday. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, it's so nice. what hour are you in? Uh, we are at it's three o two, and we start about nine forty five. So we're get, we're in the we're in the we're in the sixth hour, but we haven't hit the six hour mark yet. Cool. Yeah. Um, what were you and I, we were bonding about something recently. What was it? It was at Sal Gentile's uh, birthday, birthday party. party. Yeah. And what were we talking? Oh, we were talking about The Force Awakens, right? Yes, I liked it. Yeah. We were just sharing enthusiasm about it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like, uh, like Star Wars isn't 100% my thing. Like, I saw all of the originals when yeah. they re-released the theaters. Yeah. And that was really fun. Yeah. I think that was the first time I had seen them. And then I couldn't, I didn't have any patience for the, the new ones. I also don't like the ordering system. It's very confusing. It's very me. dumb. It's very dumb. I mean, if, if, the, if the prequels had been great, it would have been kind of a cool thing. Right. But the them not being very good, it kind of just is messy. It's very messy, because I want to think that one, two, three are, you know, Star Wars, uh, Empire, and Jedi, but they're not. Yeah, but they are really in, in the heart's and minds yeah. of people who know the difference. But yeah, I thought The Force Awakens was so funny. That's what I, that's the first thing I always say to people when they ask what I thought of it is I almost always say like I liked it. It was fun. Like yeah. they, had, they had jokes. I feel like one of the keys to making a Star Wars movie work is having uh characters who like kind of make jokes of how much they don't want to be in this. Like, I feel like that's a crucial thing in terms of making those movies believable is I love how quickly there were characters who were like, I got to get out of here. Like, I feel like that's like the key, like having like, even though it wasn't like a, there were jokes in it, but like uh, um, uh, Finn just wanting to get out of the situation. Like, rather, it's not that he wanted to go on some big crusade for the force or anything. Yeah, they got like, like, they got like, Wrapped up into something by accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you see Deadpool? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, did you like it? I really liked it, but I feel like no, like not a lot of like comedy people have seen it. So I'm like, when I was watching, I was like, is it this fun? I thought it was so funny, but I, I, I feel like, is it hacky for me to think it was so funny? But it was great. But no, I can't, like, commiserate with any other people because I feel like no one else has seen it. James McCarthy says he liked it. Casey liked it. Um, I don't... Isn't Deadpool... He's, he's like, nasty, right? He's really sarcastic. He's very sarcastic. Oh he basically gosh. is, like, 
he talk, you know, he talks to the camera. It's like very, it's like best version of Ryan Reynolds, but it's like very much yeah. that thing. But there's a ton of like there's nonstop jokes. Like the opening credits start with jokes, which but it like it works. I gotta go see it. I should go see yeah. it soon. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, I find comic book movies to be a little bit boring because they're so like epic. Yeah. Um, but this one, I, I, I really, uh, really got me. Well, I'm going to try and go see it while it's still in the theater, I think. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. Thanks for the recommendation. Hey, hey you got it. Did you see 10 Cloverfield Lane? I had it, but the trailer's so dope. I wanted to see it, but I heard it maybe doesn't live up. No, I think it's really good. I really liked it yeah? a lot. Yeah? Yeah, I really the thought The trailer was, cool. was, like, really cool. Yeah, I think it's a really cool movie. Oh, that's cool. I like, I didn't love Cloverfield, but they're not super related, I heard. They're related in a way, but I I liked Cloverfield. I really liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, are, have, oh. have the gentlemen gone into another room? Are they working on a project together? They're, they work together at um, Impractical Jokers. So they're coming up with pranks? So I think they're doing some bonding and some research, looking through some looking through some old school uh, prank shows, prank movies. We're watching Bad Grandpa. For pranks. Yeah, just I think to like see how they did it. Um, it's not that good. Yeah. Last week they watched Jackass, the movie, which yeah. was... You know, it was it was just like the Jack like Jackass the TV show, and it was pretty funny. You know, you you know what you're getting into. This is like very like boring. I feel honestly, I have a certain kind of respect for Jackass, but I have to say this: I never really watched the show. Yeah, and I watched the second Jackass movie because that's the one that I've heard people compare very loftily. Like that's the Godfather Part Two of Jackass movies. Oh, that's. Such a funny phrase. And, I mean, I don't know that I've heard anyone say that specifically, but I feel like I've always heard that one <laughs> talked about it as if that's the pinnacle of Jackass movies or shows. And the reaction I had to Jackass 2 was that it made me incredibly sad. Yeah. Because, And I'll tell you why. It's because I felt like, and I could be wrong about this, but I couldn't help feeling it. I just felt like, I didn't like that that was the way they were friends to each other. I see that. That's funny because I watched the first one and I was like, the thing I like about this most is like how much joy they get from this. Yeah. I was like, well, at least they're all like, they're just like, I love watching people like just be so happy, yeah. you know, and like the reactions of them like all laughing, but it is like a really sad thing that bonds them because it's so dangerous and like abusive well like when i you know they know what they're getting into and obviously this is the thing they like to do but i, I feel like i can't get past the fact that when they do that thing where it's like yeah, the guy puts his dick through a hole and then it's dressed like a mouse and then a snake bites it <laughs> like i understand why that's funny but at the same time i don't think i could be in a room with any friend of mine and not be just concerned for them yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's they, they, there's like valid reasons 
to be concerned for all of them. One of them died, and the other one, like Steve, was like has like a lot of addiction problems. Like they're not like necessarily in control when those movies happened. Also, which is bad to look at backwards. Like there's something where they like there's like they 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 I can't remember. It's like on a jetpack or something where it's like they're flying and it's like burning them and all those like stuff that happens yeah. that everybody's laughing at it and I'd be like this could be a thing that really hurts that that guy and they're all laughing there's nobody there who's like oh god like is he okay I know I think it's that skateboarding like background that they had it's like we were talking about where they were like from such a young age so used to getting hurt oh. you know yeah and like watching each other get hurt that I think that they are just like I don't know. I feel like their threshold is different, and they're like, uh, yeah, there is, there is like not like there's not a lot of empathy. You yeah, know? I think that it made me so sad because I was just like, oh, like you know how like freaks and geeks. Mm-hmm. Some people think freaks and geeks is depressing because they never win. Like the note they always got from the network was like, when are they going to get to win? When are they going to get a victory at the end of an episode? Uh-huh. And their answer, like Paul Feig's answer to the network was, these are the victories. The victories are that they have each other yeah. as friends. So it's like, they might not like get the girl to go out with them, but these three guys are friends. Yeah. And that's the victory. And when I watched Jackass 2, I felt like, okay, these are all friends, but it felt like, oh, but <laughs> none of these people know what it actually feels like to have someone else care about them. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, like, Freaks and Geeks would be closer to probably, like, our groups of friends than it would be, like, the jackass group of friends. Yeah, and to me, I just couldn't relate to it. To me, it didn't, I was like, I don't count it as friendship. It's watching, uh, to me, it was like watching an abuse film that had uh, funny pranks in it. Yeah, that's really valid. Oh, I couldn't handle it. I'm too sensitive for it. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. I know some of it's me. I'm just not relating to it because it's not my world. Your world is putting your dick in a, in a hole and then getting a steak bit in it all? No, I mean, I do feel like, and having said that, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, I do work on a TV show that is probably closer to that area than I would like with the Gethard show, just in the sense that, like, uh, there there can be an element of like uh jackass to the dynamic at the Gethard show. But, Is there anything that was like that was like veto that was like no we just like cannot do that that like went too far? Like in that kind of like genre? You mean at the Gethard show? Yeah. Oh I'm sure. Yeah. I mean either stuff that got vetoed by the network saying you can't do this or uh sure, yeah. Um, was there one thing that, like, you guys really wanted to do that the network was, like, absolutely not? Uh, I'm sure. I'm not really in those discussions, so I don't know. I'm sure there are things that they really wanted to do that they weren't allowed to. Um, I mean, it's a kind... There is a, a, a more of a warmth and a kindness to it. I think that's the difference to it. For, for me, sure, is, yeah. Is that you can do those same things, uh, but have them under the full understanding that... Uh, actual human empathy is still in play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your show is very, is very fun and rowdy, but has like a lot of heart. Yeah, although they did fire a, a tennis ball cannon w- with a tennis ball directly at Gethard's head the other day. <laughs> like 50, 50, yeah, 50 so, you 50 know. 
jackass is creeping in a little bit. Yeah. Now in Bad Grandpa, they dressed his, like, movie grandson up as, like, a, a John Anthony Ramsey little pageant girl, and now we only can imagine what's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. So many hijinks. So many hijinks. All right. Well, this was lovely talking to you. Yeah, you too. Good luck with the rest of the six hours. Yeah, I, I mean, we're gearing up. We, we're at five and a half hours. That's awesome. That's great. I, I feel honored to be at the five and a half mark. All right, thanks for, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Yeah. And anything you want to plug? Um, you know what, guys? Go to UCB Theater for Fuck Nostalgia. Yes. A new show on... Thursday the 12th and uh, the 19th. The 12th and the 19th of May? Yeah. All right. Hopefully this podcast will be out by then. If not, okay, if not check the check calendar. Out for the check news. that calendar. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Lisa. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That was a good phone call. That was a good 30-minute phone call. Very good. Who should we talk to now? Um. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, here. I'm going to play a piece of exclusive content. And this might not be great sound quality. Very likely it won't be. But, um, here is, uh, a... Okay, so when I do the warm-up for the Chris Gathered show, here's a segment that, um... There's a thing I do for this in-studio audience, and we can't do it over the live stream, so it always just happens in the room, where I perform every week with the LLC, whatever the number one song in the country is, on the Billboard Hot 100. And um, the uh, for the first half of the season, it was Work by Rihanna. And uh, then the past couple weeks, it was the song Panda by Designer. And we've been doing it in a version that you're not going to hear now because it's a, we do like a swing version of it where I don't have to sing the whole thing. But when I was trying to learn the whole thing as it was, I recorded a demo for myself so that I could learn the words more easily hearing myself sing it. So I'm going to play that demo for you now. Um, here we go. This is me singing Panda. Like a six, 
ridiculous understanding. Huh. Panda. for a second where the audio cut out and that was because uh, that's one of the reasons I don't like uh, that phones are the dominant thing for listening to music because if you get a phone call it interrupts your song and you don't have any say in it no one right now just you JD hello Connor how are you I'm good how's the edit going it's going good yeah yeah any big stumbles no it's just you know there's a lot of material this episode so we're trying to make it all come together would you say more grumbles than stumbles? More shuffles than stumbles. More shuffles than muffles? Uh, we're muffling shuffles because people are grumbling about our bumbles. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, I just played uh, the work demo that I recorded to try to memorize the whole of Panda. So I played that and used that as a chance to go to the bathroom. Oh, that's great. And then you oh, could also you could I bet what? you could, you, know, you could bet you could get away with what? if you played another episode of Twelve Hour Day, <laughs> I bet people wouldn't notice if it just slips into another episode. Yeah, it would take, I wonder how many minutes. Some people would know right away. Yeah, other people would be like they're repeating themselves. No wait, no wait. Uh, it's an old one. Yeah, exactly. 
You could cut right to the episode where we're like throwing the tennis ball in the old old studio. Fashioned um, clip episodes. Uh, we should do a bottle episode, except That's every, so. even though every episode of us, our podcast is a bottle episode. Not every episode. It's like, we're like, oh, we're stuck in this fridge. Well, remember when we, uh, what if we did a bottle episode, but played every episode, like every, the entirety. So it's like, I mean, it'd be, do a- you remember, remember when we first met, remember when we first did this podcast and it's yeah. just a 12 hour, why don't you, that could be like a 180 hour is, podcast. Can we, um. Can we, can, this is just a major rendering nightmare on your part, but can we do an episode called The Best of Solar Day? It's literally just every episode. And with, with a, a little bit a of little commentary bit of in between each one. That would be so funny. <laughs> it would be a hundred, it'd be like 130 hours long or whatever. Hey, what do you think about, that, about this uh, John Malkovich movie that Roberto Rodriguez is uh, making? Don't know anything about it. He's making a movie with, uh, or made a movie with uh, John Malkovich, and they announced that it's, not, it's being put in a. Uh, some kind of a time lock safe that it won't open till uh, twenty one fifteen or something. What? Weird. Uh, so it'll be. It's to show people a uh, hundred years from now what the world was like. Yeah, uh, and not, but no one can see it. No one can see it in our well, lifetime. He's gonna say some weird shit. Then you know he's like, "Fucking this person sucks." <laughs> you know, there's some like awful aspect to it. Yeah, I have to jump back in there. All right, have fun back in it. Feel free to sneak in a full episode of one of our previous. Or, uh, I mean, we're so deep in. Does copyright even apply here where we are? Each one a DJ? Or just like play some other very popular podcasts within the podcast? You should do it. I think it'd be hilarious. Um, all right. Well, what I was complaining about before was that I've never been, even though I have access to music on my phone... The thing I like about an iPod Classic compared to an iPhone or any smartphone where that's your new source of music is that, like, I was playing that song, and then my good friend Tom Levin calls back, and the phone decides, time for music to stop. That's not a phone decision. Don't do that, phone. I decide when the music stops, not you. Okay, let's try calling Tom Levin back and see if he... uh... See what happens. Maybe he, maybe he has something to say. Do do do. Oh, now you don't answer the phone. Now when I call you, you don't answer. No messages. No messages. Who else should we call? Who else should we call? Do 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 do. Go 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 go. There's so many people in the world. Um. Yeah 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 yeah. I don't know who to call. You know what I mean? It's hard to say. And we're gearing up. It's three twenty-four, so we're in the we're we're in the uh, stages of closing it on the end of the first half. I'm gonna take my watch off, set it on the table. Maybe, maybe I will 
drink a seltzer. That's something I might do. Um, here, I'm going to play a little music in the background of this, maybe. Let me see. Uh, oh, how about this? I'm going to look up. Because we're so deep in the in the realm of, of copyright, but I feel like I'm going to search for public domain music and give it a little score. Here we go. It's 565 videos for the YouTube audio library songs. Let's go ahead and play this and see what happens. Hey, you're listening to 12 Hour Day. This is Connor. And we are back in hour six, gearing up on the, the end of the sixth hour. And we've got all kinds of topics. Uh, so far, we've JD's in the edit bay. And he's working on a show. Coming up, uh, we're going to be discussing culture and finance. As well as morality and mirth. We'll be taking your calls and answering your questions. Email us at 12hourday.email.com. What? There's no at. That's right. It's not a functioning email address. Don't write to it. This, uh, I feel like this, uh, Automatically, this, this music uh, really changes the tone of the podcast, doesn't it? Let's try this one. This feels like the type of thing that I could tell more of like a reported story to. America, 2016. Today we're talking about crime and how to prevent it. The first step is personal. Obey the law. Now this should be enough. If everyone obeyed the first rule of crime prevention, which is to not commit crimes yourself, well, that would take care of it. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Step two, prevent others from committing crime. This is where it gets complicated. All right, that's great. I feel like, let's see what the next one is. Oh, you're listening to 12 Hour Day with J.D. and Connor. And in the next hour, we're gonna be sharing some recipes, some down-home cooking, or snacks that you can eat on the go. We'll be talking to Patrick Cotnar about what it's like to book guests for ASCAP, the popular New York City comedy show featuring celebrity and guest monologists and improvised comedy scenes. And we'll be talking with Tom Levin about what it's like to be a filmmaker on the streets of New York City. You're listening to 12 Hour Day.
Like everything, every piece of music really does define the tone of the thing. Now this next one is called Microchip. Let's see what this is. You're listening to 12 Hour Day with Dr. J.D. Amato and Professor Connor Ratliff. We're going to be talking about science and how it relates to culture and finance. You feel like these like music beds really do change the tone of the show. Let me try this. It's a 12 hour day with JD and Connor. Welcome back. We'll be coming at you with some more conversation and solo monologue personal feelings, and individualized theories. We'll be taking your calls and answering a few of your emails. And don't forget to check the Twitter and the subreddit for more from 12 Hour Day. I feel like I could just use these public domain songs to create bumpers that we would use to promote the show. Um, let me see. I gotta call a person. I can't sustain this on my own. It's not interesting enough. Um, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to call people. Let's try Jeff Valzone. See what happens. All right, Jeff. Now this is a phone call from New York City to Oregon, so it's a cross-country phone call. All right. I'm going to try calling Joe Firestone. I'm sitting in the writer's room. Or not writers, they're consulting producers or whatever. Joe Firestone, this is Connor. I, I, full disclosure, you are being recorded right now. Why? Uh, I'm I'm in your workroom at uh, at Gethard Show, and I'm, we're in the middle of twelve hour day, and JD's oh, in the, okay. JD's in the edit bay, and oh right, yeah, is that okay? You can say no and hang up. Yeah, no, that's fine. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, we're about halfway through. I'm real tired. Real sure, sure. Who wouldn't be? Real punchy. How did the? Uh, no, listen. Think about the fans. You know what I mean. Think about the fans. Oh God, the twelve heads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey. Yeah. You're not sitting at my desk, right? Um, I'm at the big writer's desk. Where, oh, I guess I'm at the the show side, not the desk side. Okay, good. Why? I just didn't want you sitting at my desk without asking. 
Oh man, I wish I was now. Well. The um, what would be upsetting about that? Because you share a cubicle with Noah. Does he ever sit at your desk? Never. And you've you've let him know that it's not allowed. Sure. You've said it to him. You've communicated it to him. Yeah, with my eyes. Okay, that's a little bit of a dodge. Um, no, I'm at the uh-uh. I'm at the head of the uh, one of the heads of the main writers table over on the editing studio side of the street. Um, oh, okay. You really got worried that I was sitting behind your desk. That's a real point of because uh, mm-hmm. I yeah. did I did sit in the other cubicle. I did sit at Julio's desk once. Well, did you ask him? No, I apologized when he came in. I got up. And he was like, no, no, sit there. I was like, no, it's your desk. Well. Yeah. Did I interrupt? Are you in the middle of stuff? I mean, always, but no, never. Always, but no, never. Um, what are you working on right now? Can I ask her? Is it, uh, is it proprietary? Sure. Um, well, I, uh, I am... I gotta go through the Plunderdome cards. I guess I made that card game, and I gotta go through them to see which are children friendly, so that I can redo them. Because we're doing a special pack for Toys R Us selling this Christmas. Ooh, I mean that's—I like to ask people to plug stuff. That's by far one of the most exciting plugs that anyone's ever had. So just I don't to know be... if it's that exciting, but it's—I mean, now I, got, I just gotta go through and take out the nasty stuff. The game comes out. Now, this is Punderdome, which just celebrated its five-year anniversary this week, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and, yep. The, and the game... Oh, and I also got to prepare for the debate against you. On Debate Wars, available soon on CISO. They, fi- they finally asked you to uh, wor- work on it, like prepare something? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we're already we're already all done prepared. Um, I'm on whatever. I'm on rebuttal, so whatever you say, I'm just gonna attack. That's what they told me. Oh no, I don't even get to. Oh, that's really frustrating that I won't get to rebut you. No, you can't. I will. But I told them. I said, you know what? I have a lot of experience rebutting Connor Rattles. Oh, oh, oh. Well, listen, listen, um, Ponderdome just celebrated five year anniversary and you have a game coming out in a very short time now, right? When's yeah. the, the release date is, uh, Independence Day weekend, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like July 5th or something. Yeah. So it's the perfect. Be the 5th be with you. Yes. July the 5th be with Ponderdome. It's yeah. a perfect post post-patriotic game. Okay. And if you want to wait till Christmas, if you're scared of a little filth, you want to wait till uh, Christmas or buy it for a family-friendly, for a child, uh, yeah. or child environment, Toys R Us at Christmas. Yeah. Toys R Us. Well, let me ask, how did... Now, I told you about, I told you about my friend Claire was, my friend Claire's dad was the inspiration for Jeff's the giraffe? The giraffe, yes. Jeffrey? Because his name is I Jeffrey? Like and he has a long neck. I think I told you that at Panera once. And he has a long neck. Because you told toys. me. 
No, he t- but you told me that you knew the, the mascot for some hot dog stand in St. Charles, right? No, it was that I named the mascot at uh, a custard stand in St. Right. Charles. The, the, the right, right, right. I'm mascot sorry. is named Le- Leopolitan Lion. Yes. Um, now, one interesting fact on the comedy scene in New York City is that every month when I do the George Lucas talk show, you mm. you are in the main stage at Chelsea with the incredible game no, show showcase. No, main stage. I'm on second stage over oh. at the alternate venue. Connor, did you have a good show last night? Yeah, I was surprised it didn't sell out, though. We had a rough show last night. How was the show rough? Dead silence until 20 minutes in. Oh, man. Oh, that's hard. They hated us. Why? They truly hated everything. Well, the warm-up game was someone had to pop ni- the 99 red balloons that were on the stage to the song 99 Red Balloons. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't like that? They hate that. And then we do this weird opening where we, like, come out and kind of set the stage. Like, who wants to be a millionaire? Where we're, like, since the beginning of time, mankind has relied on gameplay. And it's, like, all dramatic and there's dramatic music. Yeah. And they hate it. They hate it. So much they hated it, and then we finally won them over twenty minutes into an hour long show, and then they started liking it. But it took so long. Well, that's a good hard hard fought victory, though. When you can get when you can get them back like that's pretty yeah. great. Now, do you always do that opening? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they usually well, like it. Not, we do. And they usually like it. It's really good. It yeah, because we have to explain our characters, because, like, Corey Palmer is a little baby angel girl, yeah. and Michael Wolf is a lizard boy, yeah. and uh, Dan Glazer is an undercover, no, he's a boy, detect, boy detective trying to find uh, his uh, father, Fenton Glazer, who's a great white detective, uh-huh. um, and then Nick Garcio is the manager of the Gristides Updoors. That's great. Um... Yeah, I I thought for sure that because we got a little New York Times mention that listed the guests, hey. and I thought that that would be enough to fill those back couple rows that are always a little empty. No, and it wasn't. It wasn't enough. It wasn't no, enough. it never is. It's never enough. But the what's show- it gonna take to fill a theater? You know. Yeah, I think we had it full for a little while because people thought John Hamm was gonna keep showing up. Oh. We had a couple of like people that I think probably showed up and weren't there for you the right like reasons. It. No, they just were like, "Oh, last month this happened. Maybe a new celebrity will drop by." And then yeah. after a few months, they're just like, "Nope, doesn't always happen." And then that's the end of it. Yeah, it's weird that people would come to a show at midnight and take that long to warm up into it. You would assume that part of the deal was like knowing the score for what kind I of show. Know. Yeah. And they were just like, what? Like, nobody left. Now give them that. Yeah. But it was just like, for 20 minutes, they were like a true expression of what the fuck. Ugh. Towards us. Oh, it's, look, it's okay. You know, you can't always win. That's um, true. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was okay. Um, 
Jackie Jokey. Um, well, what? How many shows do you have tonight, Joe? Just one. Ooh, what's the show? What are you gonna do? It's called See You in Hell. I don't know really what it is. I gotta find out. Yeah. It'll... But today, this morning, I taught teenagers how to do sketch comedy, and now I'm kind of tired. Yeah. And but I gotta do that pundit homework, and then I gotta prepare a debate against you, and then. And then that's, that's pretty much the day. Did they tell you we're swapping sides? What? That we're, we're, we're swapping sides. You're now arguing the other side of the argument? No. They didn't tell you? What? That you have to do the opposite? No. No. You don't know. You're not, you're messing with me. And I don't, I don't like, I don't like getting pranked by you. That's not your job. That's my job. Yes. I'm a pranker. Yeah. Hey, I mentioned you in an article. What article? So there was this, like, whatever, like, Comedians in Brooklyn article. I'm in Queens. coming out. I'm in Queens. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're the comedian in Brooklyn, <laughs> okay? Hold on a second. You just don't get too flabbergasted, okay? So um, I'm a comedian in Brooklyn, okay, yeah. before you keep going about how you live in Queens. No, but... Hey, do you want me to tell them your address, honest? No. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Uh, you've been referred to as the queen of 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 Brooklyn comedy, right? Okay, and stop. Yeah, okay, so now... So they were like, what's the last thing you laughed so hard at you cried? And so the only thing I could think of was that story about you sitting in the room filled with dolls. And so I told the whole story. I said... About the comedian Connor Ratliff really gave me a doozy. Well, the uh, it's like you got to relive your own uh, prank all over again. But, I didn't mean it to be a prank. I no. didn't mean it to be. Will you tell a story again? Right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is an event. Uh, Joe hired me to do this event. Uh, was it a year ago? Oh my gosh! Oh, you know what? You know what happened last night, what? Connor? What? Last night. So, do you remember that movie we went to, the midnight movie? After hours. Yeah. Yeah. So last night, so before I got to that movie, I had gone to my friend Adina's uh, like work benefit. Mm-hmm. Like I rushed over yeah. to the movie from the work benefit. Yeah. And last night was the work benefit. Oh, so it was like a, that's an annual work benefit. Um, but I thought of you. I thought, isn't that crazy what a year has done? Yeah, it's crazy. So uh-huh. the the it was during season one of Gethard Show because I remember Gethard getting mad, right, uh, that you had put me up to this. Remember what the the dolls thing, the dolls benefit. Oh. Are you telling the story? Yeah, I'm telling the story, but I had to ask that question. You remember, it was during season one of Gethard filming, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a Durst family uh, um, charity organization of some sort. Something that was connected to the they Durst put up, family. They, they put up arts, um, art projects in like vacant storefronts in New York that they own. Right. So... So I had this project where I put up 
put a bunch of dolls in in a storefront and like put them in little chairs at tables. There is a if you look up can, if you look up on YouTube, there's a video, a little video yeah. documentary of you setting up what's it called, Tiny Comedy Club? Yeah, World's Tiniest Comedy Club. Yeah. And so people could come in off the street and tell jokes to the dolls, and the dolls would laugh or cry depending on the joke. And the thing about it was that like they could tell their own jokes or they could have jokes prepared. So there were jokes like hanging from the ceiling that people could grab and tell the jokes to the doll. Yeah. So I restaged this for like a second event that this organization was a charity, a charity event. event. A charity Hmm? event. A charity event. A charity event. So I paid Connor. I paid you to do it. Right. It was a job. It was a job. I gave you money. You set up. You set up the room. You went and set up the room. Yes. And, oh, hold on. I got to get this door. Hold on one second. Hold on. Hi there. Sorry. Um, sorry. Sorry. What's happening? What'd you say? What did you say, JD? I didn't say anything. JD just said something in the microphone. What was it? You there? Joe? You there? Has JD been here the whole time? No, he ran into the room. Uh, um, I had to go get a door, and then JD used that as an opportunity to come over here and talk into the microphone and say something that I couldn't hear. Oh. Uh, before that, he walked into the room at one point and hit a ping pong ball back and forth to me, but he's mostly been in the editing bay. Mm. Hey, you didn't play my message, did you? What message? I left you a message. You didn't play that, right? Just now? Yeah, no, I left you a message earlier today. That's why you're calling me, right? No, I was just going through phone calls. I haven't gotten a message. Oh. I haven't heard a message. I left you a message a couple hours ago. Okay, I will listen to that, but I have not heard it. No, I didn't. Don't, even... well, don't listen to it on. Don't listen to it on the project. Okay, I'll, so, the project. I'll listen to it like six hours from now. That's fine. Okay. Um, okay. So anyway, so yeah, so you you set up the installation, and then all I had to do is show up, and for what I was originally told mm-hmm. would be an hour, I think. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you just had to make the sound effects for the dolls. You'd I would sit there, and I would, intru- I would tell people what the room was, and I would talk yeah. people through if they wanted to get up and tell jokes to the dolls. And yeah. I would either make the sound effects of the dolls laugh or cry. Mm-hmm. And... Button. Pressing button. I was just sitting in a little chair in this room, and I was originally it was supposed to be a one hour thing. I think it ended up being mm-hmm. three hours. Uh, give or take, sure. Mm, it was a long time. It was a okay. long time, and but nobody. I didn't set up the room, so I all all I really knew of this was what I'd seen on that video, which was this very charming fun exhibit and um, I didn't see any of the jokes that were on the wall at the back and mm-hmm. so what's like an example of one of the like cute jokes do you remember what like what was one of the cuter kind of light hearted jokes that yeah, they were cute they were fun they were fun jokes I didn't think anything of them do you did you remember any of those light ones though the little easy ones kind of no. no, no, I don't. Um, 
But they were like the kind of jokes you might, some of the jokes were like the kind you might get in like a Bazooka Joe rapper, you know? Like mm -hmm. uh, fun little jokes. And so yeah. a lot of people were coming in and there were families with ch young children and children were very drawn to the exhibit because they would, they're walking around. I mean, I don't know who brings young children to a charity Durst art exhibition, but compared to everything else, this was an exhibit that had, because it had little dolls in it, it kind of, and a little toy drum kit, it, there were kids who kept coming in again and again, and, and there were kids who were like, I want to read a joke. I want to read a joke. And so it started developing a crowd. And then there was a point where the whole room sort of filled up with people who had kids. And the kids weren't reading the jokes, but the, um, the kids were very much enjoying the room most of the time. There were like one or two kids who read jokes. So this guy comes in. And he's with some of it, and the room is packed. And there's a, there's at least a half dozen kids in there. And this one guy gets up, and he's got a drink in his hand, so he's a little sloshed. And he reads a couple of jokes, and then he gets to a joke, and he reads this joke, which is, um, what's... I want to get the wording right. Uh, uh, yeah, what what is it? What's the difference between an an apple and a dead baby? Is that the right question? Uh -huh. Yeah. And the answer was, so already, what's the difference between an apple and a dead baby? My ears perked up, and I was like, oh, no. And then the answer to it, which he read without hesitation, he read it, I didn't even seem to react to it as he read it. The answer to that question, what's the difference between an apple and a dead baby, was you don't fuck an apple in the ass after you take a bite out of it. And... Um, so this man read this joke, and then unfazed put the joke back on the wall. He didn't seem to notice that anything unusual had uh, uh, happened. And the uh, it was such a palpable feeling of everyone in the room looked to me as I ha I was the face of this exhibit, so presumably they were like... I'm really sorry. I should have remembered, and I'm sorry. <laughs> so everyone in the room looked to me like, you monster. Because the other thing is, if you had done it, it would have been... If you were there, it would have been awkward, but I think it would have been, like, a little bit more... Maybe baffling, but forgivable. Um, but I'm... I'm just this man in, in a, I wore a, like a burgundy suit coat so I look, and, a, and a hat, so I kind of looked like a devil, you know, like I, I look like a, a sinister figure, I think. And that's what I had gone for, but I, just, I thought that was just because the tone of the exhibit was a little weird and off. But the room cleared out pretty quick after that. Um, and the, uh, yeah, it was just a great moment of, I I was as shocked as anybody by what had happened, and 
the uh, I had no defense. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. I'm so sorry. Um, and then there were those two women who came in at one point, and they were reading them to each other. I'm trying to remember what the other joke was that they read to each other, and then they both looked at me just like, oh, like what? What was the other joke that was? Because I went out and immediately uh, took that card. Someone else went for that card a little bit later. I was like, oh, no, not that one. And um, and then, what was the other joke that was like, um, do you remember any of the other, there was one other intense joke. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I don't remember. You really don't remember? No, I don't remember. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, but that was another moment where that one felt it was a different dynamic because it was just me alone with these two women and they both looked at me just like, what are you? (laughs) Why would you? No. Yeah. Um, But it was for a good, it was for a good cause. We helped a lot of people that night. Was it? Yeah, we helped a lot of people that night. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. Well, I'm glad that, I, that that story got told in an article. Where can I buy a paper copy of that? No, it didn't get put out yet. Yeah, but where? what vendor do I, what news agent do I go to to buy that article? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. It's probably digital. Why are you messing with me? It's probably a digital online only article. Don't mess with me. I'm not. Yeah, you are. No. Um... All right. Well, I guess I I guess I'll let you get back to your work on Punderdome stuff. Uh, You're done. You're done. Unless you want, I mean, I've got, I I've got nothing but time. We've now passed the six hour mark, so I've got less than six hours left on this podcast. Um, so are you just hanging out while JD is editing? Yeah, yeah. Um, for a while, I tried talking by myself. Um, you did. Did you say anything personal? No, I don't think so. You um, never do. Oh, sometimes I say personal things, but um, tell me a personal thing. Um, oh, let me think. Um, I guess I could talk about my tooth. How I don't have as many teeth as I used to. Any what? Teeth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, do you think it's noticeable? Do you think it's noticeable that I'm missing teeth now? No. Not at all. Um, I'm going to get an implant and then get this crown repaired and then I'll be back to normal. It'll be great. Yeah. feel weird about it, though. Um. Tweet, I, you know what, can I make a request? Oh, yeah, you want me to tweet something? No, I want listeners, the moment they hear this part, uh-huh. to tweet Everybody? All yeah. right. What a nice compliment. They can't do, no, nobody notices your teeth. They say, oh, he's a handsome man. Oh, man, but now I know it's tooth-related. I'm gonna, when I see those tweets, I'm going to be like, oh, it's about my teeth. No, people, I, people only tweet it if you agree with it. Okay. But tweet it at this point if you, if you agree with it. That's great. That's what a nice thing. Do you want them to tweet anything at you, Joe? Okay. 
how's your Twitter? How's your Twitter doing? Are you feeling, feeling okay about it? My Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm gonna go now. What? Hold on. Why? <laughs> not a conversation I ever want to talk to you about. Why? <laughs> not, not anybody. Uh, you don't like to talk about social media. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The only reason I ask is because I feel like you're always on the verge of of dropping whatever remaining social media you have. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. Um. Mm. But you probably can't quit Twitter, right? Because it's too useful, right? I guess I don't know. I think it sucks. Oh, you hate it. What's the best thing about social media? <laughs> this is that try to be a burn, but right? Yeah, it's a burn. Hey, what's the what's this piece of tape on the writer's table for? Do you know? No. I don't know. So it's not like a running joke? I don't know. I think I'm gonna get fired. Really? Yeah. There's only three episodes left. I know. I don't think I'm gonna get fired. I mean, if you are, it's probably going to happen almost before this podcast even airs. So it'd be verifiable. Why, why do you think you're going to get fired? I don't know. Without cause? Without cause? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe because. I don't know. It depends who you ask. Mm. Man, oh, man. Well, I don't, I don't think so. I don't feel like there's any chance that. I actually think there's a stronger chance that uh, Spicy Jigglies uh, gets a spinoff than you get fired. Maybe. You don't think there's a chance for that to be its own show? Um, Connor, I hate to break it to you, but that's a, it's a pretty dumb. It's pretty dumb. I mean, that's what they said about all kinds of shows. I suppose. Like... How do you think they, when people first said American Idol would be a show, don't you think people were like, what, it's just singing? Yeah, different people. Different people get up and sing, take turns. That's the show? Yeah, that's it. Then they vote on what? This, who's best? Oh, you're right. Um, you're right, you're right, you're right. Hey, I haven't been able to catch up on Dr. Game Show. Has anyone been asking for the um, peanut game lately? Nope, no one ever, never. Don't lie to me. Have there been requests for it? <laughs> yes, that's a yes. I invented a game called One Peanut, Two Peanut, No Peanut, Blue Peanut. It's the dumbest fucking game I've ever heard. It's, Infuriating. It's a great game. To the, to the point of infuriation. Well, here's the thing. You should... Doctor, why don't you... Why don't you... Hey, why yeah. don't you spend the next... Okay, so the directions need at least an hour. So why don't you take up an hour with that? Giving the directions for one peanut, two peanut, no peanut, blue peanut on your podcast? You know why don't you take up airtime on your own damn podcast with this dumb fucking game, okay, Connor? Um, I would. I don't think I have a copy of them here, of the rules here. Do you have oh, I'll them? I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I'll send it. 
Yeah, send it to me. I'll read them. No, you know what? I'm just, I'm mad. You know why I'm mad? Not because the game, game was dumb. And it's not because of that. Why? Because you used emotional manipulation to get that game on the air for two weeks in a row. Almost three. You mean when I when I said it means a lot to me? Yeah. <laughs> but also guests after that expressed that they liked that game. And then you yelled at a nine-year-old on the air. What'd I do? You yelled at a, you were in a Sabaro, you called in from a Sabaro in Times Square, and you yelled at a nine-year-old in Virginia. Well, also, I, was, I went into the Sabaro not, that makes it sound like I eat at a Sabaro in Times Square. <laughs> uh, that makes me sound like a... I wasn't saying you're eating it, you're just frequenting it. That's even worse. That's misleading to say that you call in from a Sabaro in Times Square. No, I called in and then I went into the Sabaro to ask uh, if they had nutritional information about bread. <laughs> and they didn't. They didn't have any nutritional information posted anywhere. You were so mean to that nine-year-old. I don't think I was. She was trying to get creative with the game, and you insisted she not. Well, I I don't think I was mean to her. You were very strong-worded. Uh, well, that's okay. People, kids like that. Um, <laughs> Do kids like that? Yeah. Do kids like that? You know what kids like? Boundaries. What? Boundaries. No, I don't. Um, the... Well, here's what I'd say, is that people really like that game. They keep talking about it. And I, and this is not intended as a criticism, but I have noticed that you've become increasingly more tolerant of pageant-style games uh, no. on the show. And no. this was not a pageant-style game. It was a, it, the game had a social aspect to it. It had a learning now, aspect. On. No, no, hold on a second. The yeah. directions took up to 15 minutes to, to say and all. They were long directions. Mm -hmm. And here's the game, in, in essence, here's the game. Do we read you the game? Do we read you the game that you sent to me? Yeah. I would love it. Okay. Great. Great. You got 20 minutes? Yeah. But don't stretch you it do. out. I, here, did you send me the instructions? No, I'm going to read them. Here, I'll, I'll read them, and I'll show you how... No, I'll read them, punk. Okay. I'll read them. <laughs> all right. Hold on. I can see all yeah, of my submissions it. here. I can see all of my submissions. I just went, I just searched for the... Yeah, I see them all here. The game where callers either have peanuts or they do not. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is why it took you 15 minutes. This wasn't part of the instructions, the part where you just... Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's not nice. <laughs> ah. Okay. Hold on. Mm. Clock hasn't started yet. So, what? The, just the, yeah, the clock fine. hasn't started yet. Okay. Um, let's see, one peanut, oh man, I can read you some other games that were sent. I got them all open now, here we go. 
Do we want to, oh, here we go. One peanut, two peanut, no peanut, blue peanut. The game where callers either have peanuts or they do not. What a tagline. <laughs> okay, so, so he writes, this game requires participation from both listeners who call in, callers, and on-air guests players, but can be also be adapted for at-home play with no radio element. I will note you did not include instructions for how at-home play should happen. I, it's no time to read those on the radio. In. Are you done? Yeah. Callers call in and players have to discern whether the callers have in front of them a single peanut, two peanuts, no peanuts at all, or a single peanut painted blue. Now, the, the description could end there, but let's keep going. The caller must have one of these four options for real. If it is revealed that they have any variation other than these four options, they immediately lose one million points. For example, if they try to be clever by revealing that they have two peanuts painted blue or three peanuts, they will automatically lose one million points, as well as the respect of their fellow participants. Even saying something like this as a joke will be considered a violation of proper gameplay and the points will be deducted. You want me to keep going? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Gameplay works as such. Each player must ask one question of the caller to try to figure out which of the four options they have. Callers are encouraged to answer honestly, but may opt to say pass if they feel their answer will reveal too much. For instance, if the player asks which of the four options do you have in front of you, the caller may choose to say pass rather than revealing their choice. Once every player has asked their question, then it is time for each player to make their guess. No two players can guess the same thing in the same round. The correct guess will earn the player one point, while any incorrect guess will cost that player one million points. Callers earn five points for each successful round in which they, are, they followed the rules and told no lies. Bonus points can be earned by the callers if they pause the game to tell an interesting fact about peanuts, as long as the fact is judged very interesting by all of the other players, all of the other players. The number of points earned is at the discretion of the players, but no points may be awarded if even one participant thinks the peanut fact wasn't genuinely interesting. Additionally, peanut facts can be related to actual peanuts or anything having to do with Charles Schultz's peanut. Yeah? What just happened? Hello? Hello? Something happened. Joe? I'm going to have to call back. Something happened. Hello? Hold on. Something happened. I don't know what. Where did you leave off? Gameplay ends. Oh, it gameplay actually, ends actually, with any one participant... What? It actually cut off weirdly. It sounded like, it made it sound like you said anything having to do with Charles Schultz's penis. <laughs> but the, you it, wish. It, no, it cut off in the middle of the word, which made it sound like we were, it was like an odd censored 
moment. You wish. And that game wouldn't make game any sense. Gameplay game ends when anyone participant says the phrase, can we stop? I really, really like this game, but I don't feel well. At which point, one other player must say, okay, these phrases must be said verbatim or else gameplay has not officially concluded. Then points will be tallied and the person with the most points wins. Clear. That was like four and minutes. Was, four minutes. That must have been 15 minutes. That was four minutes. Okay, uh, Connor, do you want to play right now? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you... Is a peanut... Do you prefer peanuts or cashews? Uh, do you have a story behind that, or is that just, do you just know it? Pass. Okay. Um, do you know anyone who has a peanut allergy? Yes. All right, I think you have no peanuts. That's correct. Hey, I got a point. Okay. Um, oh, here's an interesting peanut fact. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What is it? Did you know that peanuts are called peanuts because they're shaped like peas, like pea pods? Is that true? Wow, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'll give you, hold on, let me see. I get, um, I'll give you a half a point. I think that's very interesting. What? I give you a half a point for that. Um, hey, Connor. Yeah? Will you do me a favor? Yeah. Somebody's impersonating Chris Gethard on Twitter. Will you tell Chris Gethard? Uh, sure. Why me? I don't want to tell him. Why? Because he'll get upset? Yeah. Okay. I, how do I find out who they are? Because you don't, you're worried you'll get fired if you tell him. No, I don't want to tell him. You tell him. But he's tweeting. I'm telling him bad news. But he'll see that if he looks up, he'll see that this person's tweeting at you, and he'll be like, "Why didn't you tell me?" Uh. Um. Hey, Joe. Can we stop? I really, really like what? this game, but I don't. I don't feel well. Okay. Hey, that was we did a full game. That was great. Um, and I think the final tally would be that uh, I got I won six points to half a point. Oh, great! Well, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Actually, you got five and a half points, and I got one point because technically you would have been the caller, right? Since you had the peanuts or no peanuts. Yeah. Okay, so. So you got five and a half points, and I got one point. You won. Because callers earn five points for each successful round in which they followed the rules and told no lies. Oh, okay. Congratulations, Joe. You won. Thank you. That's sportsmanlike to say thanks. All right, so what am I looking for to find this impersonator? I guess I gotta tell him. I'll tell him. I don't really want I would, to. I would. Uh, 
I would do it, but... Um, should I tell him? I should tell him, right? Yeah, but I think also you should tell him because this person's also targeting you, so he's going to see that anyway, you know? Yeah, you're right, you're right. Otherwise, I would if it was just a favor, but it also, I think it would it would end up blowing back on you, you know? Yeah, you're right, you're right. Now, uh, I'm looking to see, what kind of stuff are they tweeting? Uh, he's pretending to be Chris Gethard. He keeps... Um, Saying, get to work? What? Is he like, coming to work? Or he's like... At King Firestorm, hi, this is your close, close friend, Chris Gethard, communicating with you from my cool new Twitter account. Wow. Uh, uh, um. Uh-oh. <sighs> oh, well. Oh, well. You know, what can you do? It's another drama Saturday. Is that what they're calling them now? Drama, yeah. Drama Saturdays. Um, the, uh, if you liked that game, make sure to tweet about it, but you don't have to tweet at anybody in particular. Just tweet that you like the game. No, I was nice. I didn't say to tweet at you, but make sure to do some tweets where you say, my favorite game is called one peanut, two peanut, no peanut, blue peanut. No. How can you object to that? Um, I don't see it. I'm trying to find it, but I don't see it. What? JD's in the room. We're doing good here. We're on, moving on to Act 4 with Gregulator. We're cutting down time. We're getting things close. We're, it's all, we're very close here. Hey, is this Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe, how are you? She said... Fine, how are you? Tell, your, tell your concern. Uh, maybe JD will be the one who, who... Maybe JD will agree to tell this information and pass it along. Wait, under He's tweeting at me. I'm trying to find it, but really? it's not coming up. Maybe, I, I guess maybe I'll Joe blocked you. What? Did you block me, Joe? What? I blocked on Twitter. Blocked on Twitter? I don't know. I'm not getting any results. What's the name? What's the account name? Or you don't you don't want to? Oh, I see it. It's Chris it, Gethard. It's a, it's a drama Saturday, JD. It's at white hip hop cop. Yeah. Well, we do. I got I gotta tell him. Oh, crumbs. Got 150 followers. Is he acting like Chris? No, he's pretending. I mean, it's clear he's pretending to be Chris. Oh, he is. He's like actually pretending to be Chris. It's a, it's an it. obvious fake. It's uh, not like a. To yeah. yeah, but it's still like creepy and weird. My don't do that. Yeah. Oh man, I should text Chris. I'll text him right now. This is something. Hey, this is something Chris. Well. Get ready for it to be ruined. Chris won't take this great. No, he won't. This is his least favorite kind of thing. Um. I know. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that. I'm, or maybe. I'm going to jump back in the edit. I'll see you in a second. Um, maybe just sick the geth heads on him. This guy. Oh. That's a good idea. 
Um, yeah, just go in there and say, like, hey, attack this guy. Make him wish he'd never been on Twitter. Well, if he's, maybe I should just say don't do this to him. Yeah. Yeah, say, how about tweet, um, stop doing this or I'm going to tell. What? Say, stop doing this or I'm going to tell. I thought you said, don't do this, it's charming as hell. Yeah, but don't do this, it's charming as hell. <laughs> that, that, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but do you remember in an episode of Freaks and Geeks, the one with the car where she wrecks the car? And then James Franco, the woman is like um, yelling at them. And James Franco's character, he says something to this woman, this like middle-aged woman. And he's like, uh, oh, let me get the exact wording of it. But it's one of my favorite burns. Um, it's where he says she's too sexy. Do you remember that okay. line? Do you remember that line? No. Yeah, um, I'm gonna find this quote. It's one. Do you remember that that episode of Freaks and Geeks, the one where Lindsay drives and she's not supposed to, and she wrecks her dad's car? Yeah. Um. The. And then the woman is yelling about it. And and uh, this woman's yelling, and and then uh, uh, Daniel, James Franco's character, goes, "Who wants to be near you anyway? You're too sexy." <laughs> Don't do this; it's charming as hell. Hey, the old Henry Punos is today. The what? The old Henry Punos. Where's that at? Austin. Austin, Texas. You did, you're not there yeah. this year. You're not there this year. No, I couldn't go. Did they ask? What? Did they ask? Yeah, they're always very welcoming. The, uh... Is that the biggest pun event in the country? Yeah. How many people at that event do you think are going to buy that card game? Um, what? I bet that the card game is going to be very popular with the people at that event. I guess so. It's right, so. Up, right up their alley. Hope so. Do you know what time it is right now, Joe? 419. Uh, yeah, I guess that is right. My watch is a little fast. Well, I, won't, I don't want to take up any more of your podcast. I, you know, I... Uh, I'll tell you what, I just, it's just so much drama today, you know? Yeah, a lot of drama. A lot of drama. Yeah. Sorry for being mean about your game show. It was, I didn't even mind the game show as much as I mind how long the directions are, and also that you did emotional manipulation to keep the game on the air. Is that why I haven't been able to get a second game onto the show? No, I know, I know. She just cut mine. I know, I know. But um, I think you also, 
it's a little bit ahead of its time as a game because it's the kind of game that we played a very short version of it, so we proved you can do a, a short version of it that's fun. Uh, but also, uh, the, I like that it sparked a lot of conversation while it was happening. Okay. <laughs> you know, like that when I when I tuned into it and it was in mid game and they were talking about racism. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Doesn't happen in every game that you get like social conversations where people talk about real things. That's true. Yeah, but my but the the you don't have to you don't have to consider that second game I submitted that you said was too similar. But the third game I submitted I think is a real uh, um, has real potential to be a different kind of gameplay than you've ever had on the show. Okay, well we'll see. Do you think so? Shorter instructions, too. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. Okay. Hey, do you, know what, you do you know what I think? I'll help you have a good day, too. Do you know what I think the new number one song might be soon? What? That new Drake song. Hey, that's great. Do you know that one? Mm, no. That one goes, I need a one dance. Yeah. I think you, what happens when you have to go poop or something? What do you mean? During the the warm up for the Gethard show? No. When I'm singing the song? For day. Oh, um, I don't. Uh, you don't poop for twelve hours. I'm just disciplined about it. It's like when you have to have a surgery. You don't eat the part for the day before. You just have, I just have control over it, you know? Um, and, hey, you know, I'm not bragging, you asked. Uh, the urinating, we try to be as discreet as we can. I always make it a goal for people to not be aware of when the bathroom breaks happen. What? You go into the bathroom with it? Yeah. Ew. I have to. Why do you just go, why do you just walk away? Why do we with the microphone? Um, I don't know. I guess that would make sense. No. <laughs> yeah, you guys should do that. I guess that makes sense, but sometimes it's just like me and JD and JD's apartment, and we'll just be talking, and then one of us will go into the bathroom, and then we'll just be very quiet about it. Mm. Okay. Um, but I don't think people, I think we're pretty good at being unheard. Yeah. I No, but it hasn't been a problem in all these episodes. There hasn't been a moment where there's been a real... Because uh, we don't want it to be a vulgar podcast. It's not a gross-out show. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Do you have any message for the 12 heads? Um, way to go. Way to, way to stick with something. I'm really impressed by all of your attention span. And um, I guess... Um, I guess if you want to know, I know like three secrets about Connor. So if you want to know him, you just have to say the magic word to me on Twitter. There's just two magic words. And if you can guess them, I'll tell you all three secrets about Connor Rapper. Oh, great. What a great competition. 
They'll never guess those words. They'll never guess those words. I'll, I'll tell you something. What? They, the words rhyme. Oh, don't give and clues. No. it's a brand no. name. They rhyme with a brand name? They rhyme. The two words rhyme with each other, and it's a brand name. Not a, a brand name or a slogan? A brand name. Don't you dare insinuate. I don't know the difference between a slogan and a brand name. No, I didn't know if it was like Pizza Pizza or something like that. It's not Pizza Pizza, and Pizza Pizza did not rhyme with it. It's just the same word over and over again. Yeah, well, it's not a good rhyme. Like, it's not an impressive rhyme, but pizza does rhyme with pizza. No, it doesn't. Okay, it's much easier to make an argument that pizza rhymes with pizza than that it doesn't. <laughs> right? That's the heavier lift, right? To say that somehow, hey, you know what doesn't rhyme with pizza? Pizza. You know what I mean? Like, you're saying that you can't rhyme. The same word shouldn't be used to rhyme with itself. But that a rhyme is the same sound, right? Yes, so, Connor. I guess so. That was really furious breathing. So angry. Um, the... All right. Connor, if you can guess the two words first, I won't tell the secret to anybody, okay? My guess was pizza, pizza. It's not pizza, pizza, and that's not a brand name. That's a slogan. And they, it's not a rhyme? Uh-uh. All right, I'm not very good at this. Brand name. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, Bagash? No. Two words. You don't think Osh? You think Oshkosh is two words? No, Oshkosh Bagash is three words. Oshkosh is one word, and Bagash is no second word. Connor, I hate it when you do it. It's truly impossible. What do you mean? Now you Google Oshkosh Bagash, and guess what? It's a three words. No, first word has a space in it. All right, that's good. That's a good noise to end on. I'll keep trying to... I don't think there are any brands that rhyme, though. Okay. Uh, I can't think of any. Okay. Oh, well, have a good day. All right. Uh, good luck preparing with the too. cards. Everyone should go to Amazon and order the Punter Drone game on Amazon. It's a, Thanks, it's a good gift for people. Thanks, Connor. I pre-ordered mine. That's my copy. Uh, but it's also probably going to be like a default gift for a while for people. Yeah. It's really the perfect gift for anybody, whether you like them or whether you don't like them or don't know them. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it'd be a yeah. gift that you could okay. get for a good... Fr okay. Hold on. I think it'd be a good gift, not for an enemy, because it's too good a game for an enemy, but like... You could get it for a close friend, and they'd be like, oh, cool. But you could also be like, I don't know what to get my boss. And be like, get him the Plunderdome game. Right? I guess so, yeah. And imagine when it's like, I gotta buy a present for my boss. I don't know him at all. Get him the Plunderdome game, man.
Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for, right, thanks, for thanks for talking. Thanks for calling. Don't listen to my voicemail. I will, but after. And not on the okay. podcast. All right. Please, please, please do not. Okay. Okay, but that last sentence only made it more tempting, so don't do that. No, I'm not. It's not that. It's really not that. It's I just know. Uh, it's a, too personal. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye, Joe. Okay. Bye. All right. Who else should we call? Who else? Who's good for phone calls? Let's see. Uh, oh, Gether Sexton. Just texting Chris, who's asking about a movie thing. Uh, uh, um, just responding to a text. Apologies for the slight delay in content. Um, Uh, I'm just responding. All right. So I'll just respond to a text message. And let's see if there is anything that is... Um, um, well, how about this? How about I'll call Don Finelli. I'll beg him not to leave New York. That's fun, right? Let's try it. Maybe it'll work. I'll call Don Finelli and beg him not to leave New York City. Let's see if it works. Let's see if we can make it happen. All right. Let's see if I can make this happen. Maybe I can. Maybe I can't. No, maybe I can. Maybe I can't. Uh, 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 uh. Call Alfinelli, see what happens. Don Finelli, I believe, is in Jersey. Maybe he's in the middle of the move right now. Let's see what happens. See if he answers. Maybe he's busy. Maybe we just get his answering message. Oh, doesn't look good. Doesn't look like we're going to get an answer. No. Hello, sir. Don Finelli, how are you? What's up, buddy? Uh, Good, man. Are you in Jersey now? You're, oh, but I'm recording I'm, you. I'm recording you, just so you know. Okay. You're, you're, you're on uh, You're on 12-hour day. JD's, oh, nice. JD's editing right now, so I've just been oh, making, just been calling friends, making phone calls. And you're I, actually, we just, our apartment is totally clear, and we're just kind of taking it all in right now. Oh, my God. Okay, well, this is perfect because I, I set myself a goal, and it's just for this segment of the podcast. I'm gonna, it's, uh-huh. a, it's a Hail Mary pass. 
But I thought, uh-huh. I, I already announced what my goal was. I said, we're going to call Don Finelli, and we're going to beg you not to leave. Don, yeah, I mean, Don, Don, man. Don, look around, look around, look around right now. Just don't go. Yeah, I know. It's tough not to, man. Okay. I'm, you think there's a chance that I can convince you on this podcast? I highly doubt it. What am I? I've spent so much, so much money already, Connor. Oh, yeah. I but, just highly doubt it. But what's, my, what's a little money? Like, remember the end of Fargo? Do you remember the speech she gives where she's like, all this yeah. over a little bit of money? Yeah. All for a little no, money. it's a good amount. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But it's a good amount. You know, and then I also have a wife. So, you know you're, I mean? so you're in an empty apartment right now? Yeah, we're in a completely empty apartment for uh, her sister and her parents. And we just basically cleaned everything. Oh, oh so Connor's it's... on the phone. He's doing his podcast. And he's trying to convince me not to go. Uh, uh, no, not really. It's not working, I don't think. But now think about it. Has it ever been this clean? Think how clean it is in there. Yeah, it is pretty clean. You're right. Nice clue. Perfect, like, perfect to move in a new clean apartment. Yeah. Like you, like yeah, you. No, you're right. You're right. Like, I think my other apartment's kind of cleaner and newer, though. So <laughs> I think that. Oh, God. I can't believe I th- really thought this would work. Um, <laughs> the, uh, how's Laura doing? She's good. She's good? You tell her hi from me? Yeah. Yeah, Connor says hi, Laura. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's society here. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I don't want to take I don't want to take up too much of this moment. We tried our best. Um, yeah, I appreciate it, man. Didn't work. Um, yeah. No, I'm sorry, man. Well, it was a good effort. You know? good yeah. Good job. I know. Good try. I know. Yeah. Um, uh, if you're feeling, I love you, and I, I, I will miss you. Oh, I love you too, Don. I love you and Laura are two of the best friends in the world, and uh, I. I if you're feeling scared or lonely on the way out, I want you to just remember last night's show and just the way my tongue felt on the back of your neck and just take comfort in that. Yeah, it was, felt very good. It was like, it an, anim- good. It was like, an, it was like an animal, right? It felt like an animal. Yeah, it felt just good, man. It All just right. felt really good. All right, where's, uh, where's, your, yeah. where's your first stop after Jersey, do you think? Uh, probably somewhere, I don't know. We're not, we didn't really plan it out yet. All right, well... You know the way back to your apartment where you're at right now, you know? Yeah. So if you can't figure yeah. it out, if that's where you end up, just promise yeah. to tweet at the podcast and credit us with that route change. I will. Yeah, I will. No okay. problem. Uh, I'm going to find the password for the Don Finelli Twitter by the time you get, <laughs> yeah, pass it along. By the time uh, you yeah, get to Hollywood, and it'll, it'll be like a housewarming present for you in L.A. Yeah. All right. Thanks, uh, be well, Don. Uh, Thanks, say hi to everyone for me. We miss you already. Talk to you soon. Yeah, I miss you too. All, All right. right. Later, Bye. Guys. Bye. Bye. All right. That's sad. Um, hey, let's call Noah Foreman. Um, why not? Right. See what Noah has to say. I don't. I can never remember who's been on this podcast and who hasn't. You know. Sometimes it might be first-time guests. Sometimes they might be, um... Hi, this is Noah Foreman. Oh. Please be a pigeon. I'll call you back. No, Noah. Noah is on the phone because it went right to voicemail. That's what I'm interpreting. Um, and honestly, I really wonder who else I can call. Um, let's try Will Hines again. 
see what happens. Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing happens. Oh, now I've been, like, manning this podcast for literally hours, I think. I just realized now that it's almost almost quarter to five. So I've really been... Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So this is Will Hines. Please leave a message. Oh, all right. This is basically a call-in format podcast now, except it's call-out. Um, let's try my mom, see what happens. Ooh, no. How about this? He won't expect it. Matt Cohen. Matt Cohen. Hello? Matt Cohen, you're on 12-Hour Day with J.D. and Connor. Uh, oh, excellent. My favorite podcast. Uh, it's just me, Connor. J.D.'s working, so I just decided I'm going to start calling friends. And, oh, that's nice. And I realized I hadn't talked to you in a long, long time, except digitally. Yes. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, I'm doing real well. I'm just uh, right now. I'm just kind of assembling a bunch of uh, tech for a show Ooh. coming up. Like or- Got, uh, organizing, like organizing background. props and stuff. Uh, yes, and also just doing like some PowerPoint stuff, sound cue stuff. Ooh, uh, very boring, but necessary things. Essential. Um, what's the show? Oh, this is just Mod Night. This is from Mod Night at oh. the UCB Theater. Cool. Uh, is Mod Night at Franklin or Sunset? Mod Night is at Sunset. And is that where you, if you could wish for it to be at either, is that where you'd wish? You know, I've only done it at Sunset. I think people have done it at Franklin kind of prefer the intimate space of Franklin. Yeah. Like, much like, I think, a UCB Chelsea. It's uh, a little bit more of an intimate experience because the audience is, like, right on top of you there. Yeah. It's like the beast yeah. where there's a little bit of diff- uh, distance. And it's like that at, uh, there's that distance at Sunset. But I like at Sunset, it's just a larger stage, so you can kind of get a little bit more, like, theatrical with it, I feel like. Yeah. You can, you can kind of make bigger stuff there so I like that aspect of it but you can't for comedy sometimes you really can't be just the audience right on top of you you know yeah yeah you're like looking them right in the eye yeah it's true there's pros and cons pros and cons to any venue right yes and you gotta you know you gotta just play to the space you're in you gotta make it work for that space yeah um and how many shows do you do a month out there? Because you're in, you're in charge of Cool Shit Weird Shit now out there, right? Mm-hmm. You're the yeah. West Coast Cool Shit guy. And yeah. is it you? We're in, doing yeah. a walking tour this month, which I am excited about, but also a little nervous about. Why nervous? Uh, because we're going to be walking around the UCB Sunset adjacent neighborhood, and we have people doing kind of like this outside and there's always that potential for I don't know what's going to happen I don't know if this will work or not or if something goes wrong right uh, I think it'll be fun and great and I'm glad we're doing it and I'm excited about it but there is that little bit of like oh we can't contain this in some way there's a lot of outside elements 
that yeah. can come into play. Wild cards. X factors. Yes. Um, but that's why we do this. That is why it's it's more fun when there's some unexpected element of it. Yes, I agree. The undiscovered country. Yes. As, oh, as I know a thing I was uh, meaning to ask you about. Oh. Have you seen Midnight Special? I haven't yet. Ooh, I think you'd really like it. I loved it. I think it's one of my uh, favorite movies I've seen in a, a long time. I, I a lot of movies I like. I wanted great. I wanted to see it and I haven't gotten around to it. I need to make time to do that. I just uh, I. I think there was a, a weekend I was going to go see it, and it was also a weekend where they, there's massive subway problems, and it got in the way of my schedule having the time to do it. Um, and, I, and then it wasn't at the theater that I would normally go to the next week or whatever, so I, I may end up having to watch it in a non-theater environment, which is, I, I should look and see if there's still a place where I can go see it, because it feels like I would, it would benefit from seeing it in a theater. Yes, uh, it's it's really good. It really reminds me of I think this comparison is made a lot, but like eighty Spielberg. Yeah. Like and it's I think it's a really smart movie, and it's I think so many movies nowadays they kind of like talk down to the audience a little bit, like they treat them like they're stupid, like everything needs to be explained. Yeah. So this is so much about like the unexplainable and the mysterious, and it just tells you like exactly what you need to know in each scene and it's, it's really better for it and it at, at some parts I think is like truly breathtaking Ooh. in how mysterious and, and magical it feels oh well now I'm definitely going to try and see it yeah and Michael Shannon is uh, great in it I think he's almost always fantastic yes he's yeah he's incredible uh, but yeah great acting across the board just really well done, and yeah, I have to see. I need to go back and watch Take Shelter. I like I Take Shelter. Seen. I liked that movie. Well, I have to see it. Um, have you seen Under the Skin? No, that's on my long list of things to see, though. Yeah, I've been thinking of that about that one lately because that was a movie I didn't know anything about before I saw it. I just saw the trailer, which doesn't really reveal anything. And I really enjoyed seeing that with no context as far as, like, it, it was like a movie where I had to watch it and be like, what's going on? Like, what is this movie? Yeah. Um, which I feel I like... I felt that way a little bit about, I knew nothing about Ex Machina when I saw it. Yeah, me too. I had that too with that. Yeah, I loved that. I thought that was great too. Yeah. Oscar Isaac, I like the part where he dances in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Have you seen 10 Cloverfield Lane? Uh, I have not. I'm not. Is it, uh, is it, I shy away from things that are kind of like horror based. Is it horror? Is it a kind of horror thing? There's definitely some intense parts to it that. I would say it's more of a psychological thriller for the most part. Okay. Because I can handle thrillers, but I've just never... I don't like the feeling of getting scared. I don't appreciate (laughs) terror. I'd really rather not experience that in my entertainment. Yeah, don't go see it then. I would say don't go see it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like how you express that, how the first part of it was like a um, specific complaint as if it was directed at someone who scared you. Like, I don't appreciate being scared in my entertainment. Like, I like that it, it felt like the way you would say it to someone that was in trouble for having scared you. Yeah. Can I just say, I don't appreciate... I really don't. I, like, since I was a kid, even, it's just like anything like the Goosebumps books, I never read any of those. I think I might have read one. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, this is more funny and silly than it is scary. But like the font, like on the title of the book, I was like, I don't want to... Who wants to read this? I don't want to read a thing that's like... All those letters are so messy. Aren't the letters like goopy mess? Yeah, and I really hated, this is, I think, maybe a, a very small complaint, but, like, it was raised, it was, like, raised lettering, so you could, like, feel it. Yeah, yeah. Embossed? Is that the word for that? Em book fair. Embossed? Mm -hmm. Embossed? Is that the word for that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the word, yes. So I was, like, a, at a, like a, did you have these as a kid, like, kind of, like, classic book fairs where you would kind of get out of class and yeah. then go buy a bunch of books? We also had the thing where you would get the little, like, leaflet thing, and you could order the mm -hmm. books that you wanted. Yes, I think we had that. I think I, my memory is we sort of went out of class, like, one period, maybe English. Yeah. was like, let's go to the library, and there would be all these books you could buy, and then you would just buy a bunch of books. Yeah. Which is kind of, I think, maybe strange to do in a school yeah, it's weird. Like you're just telling kids. It's weird because I remember getting so excited about stuff like that. We also had a thing where I remember going to book fairs, and I also remember a thing where you could you got like a uh, a thing. I think it was called like the Weekly Reader or something, and you could order books off of it, and you could pick books. And there was also you could subscribe to there was magazines you could subscribe to like. Hot Dog Magazine and Dynamite Magazine. And, and they were basically like, kind of like Entertainment Weekly slash Us Magazine for kids. Oh. So like the cover one, it might be like Smurfs might be the cover one month or something, you know? <laughs> so I was like, what are the Smurfs up to now? Like a, like no, a, not like, like no, 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 not like, behind, not like uh, behind the music, Sal, but no, just like an article about the show Smurfs or whatever. Okay. Um, like, ah, oh, these Smurfs, they've done it again. Like, another great... Yeah. These are the Smurfs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember always, like, everybody would get, uh, like, Garfield comic books or, like, Calvin and Hobbes comic books, yeah. which I think defeated the purpose of, like, oh, we want kids to read novels. Yeah. And yeah. everyone would just get, like, oh, yeah, I got, a, I got a new Garfield. Yeah. And then everyone would be, like, really excited to pass it around. I remember getting... I would get those, and I would also get, like, the David Letterman top, top 10, 10 books. Yeah. And yeah. that was just, like, I remember reading those, uh, like, in my bed at night <laughs> and just, like, waking my parents up because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is like, let's take the kids to the grocery store so they can get some healthy vegetables. <laughs> like, oh, everyone's buying candy. Yeah. They don't want yeah, no. straight to the candy aisle. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, there's not a chance. Of this happening. It is a weird thing to think about it because I remember the feeling being like it was about instilling like um, books are, are uh, a good thing to spend money on sort of like you get these books it's like 
you can get them. Like your parents will, you know, you buy these books. But now you think about it, it's like, oh, it's just like um, some business selling stuff to kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you brought Barnes & Noble into a school, basically. They're at Barnes & Noble. When I was working at Barnes & Noble, they would have so many school groups that would come in. And kids would think of it like it's – I hear kids always refer to it as like, this is a library. And uh-huh. would just think that Barnes & Noble was a library. And there's just like a library where you like hang out and you can buy a book, but that's, it's just a place with books as a library. Yeah. But they would be coming in and buying their books at the Barnes and Noble store on like a field trip. Yeah. Which is a little, I could, I don't, I'm mixed about it cause it's not bad and I guess there are worse things to do, but it is a little weird to take a kid or to take kids to a business yeah. as a field trip. I think so. I I think it's weird. I think it's smart for Barnes and Noble, and it's good in the sense of like getting kids interested in and getting kids to think about a, a book, a place that sells books as a place that they want to go to. You know? Yeah, that is pleasure. Like, oh, you can read for pleasure. Reading is not boring or laborious. It's a thing you can yeah. Have fun so doing. it's it's not like just taking them to a video arcade or something. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but it is, there is something weird also just thinking about like, well, these kids presumably like some of them have money, some of them don't, you know, like, uh, even regardless of whether their parents have money, like sometimes a kid's parents might have money, but that doesn't necessarily mean the kid has money, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think, I know a big thing and I, I don't know why they do this in schools, but I feel like everything that's assigned to be read is like almost like designed so kids are not interested in reading. Like all these books, like I don't think I read anything written after 1980 when I was in school. No. And it's just like, why not have, there's no current novels, there's no current anything we can read that maybe speaks to what's going on now. Like it was all stuff from the 18th century. Yeah. 19th century. It's like, I don't want this. Like what kid is going to relate to this? Like adults don't relate to this. Yeah, like, I always found it interesting that, like, um, I always felt like Huckleberry Finn being taught in school always felt a little bit to me like most teachers are not at the proper level of nuance to be able to teach this book correctly. Yeah. Because it's it's so complicated uh, to teach a book that is about racism that deals with race and racism in a different time period, but in a way that's very like, like the teacher can't just get up in front of the class and read that book from cover to cover, you know? No, yeah. You have to, you have to set up like the base reality of it where it's like, okay, these were the times and this is also the times he was writing and this is stuff that was like, maybe it's not acceptable now, but you have to understand like this is, was considered normal at the time. So like you just have to accept this even if it's wrong and then here's what this is trying to do. It's just like so much work you have to do. It's so, it, yeah, it's, it feels unfair to a teacher to ha- to make them teach that if they're not like, I want to, I want to explain how complicated this is, you know? Yeah, and you have an audience where it's like kids are just looking for any excuse to like check out. Oh, yeah. So it's just like, it's like the second it's like, okay, here's what I have to explain before you read this. It's like, I'm out, done. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. 
Um, it is. I always felt that way. I always felt frustrated by history class all the way along because what would happen is you'd take American history or world history or whatever it is and you'd start as far back as you could go in September. Yeah. And then I think the furthest the furthest we ever got in world history or American history was we would get to springtime and we would be in the 20th century but we might get to like Truman. We maybe get to Eisenhower. And I would always be like uh, like we didn't learn how the world is now. Like yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I would, felt the same I, thing. It was always like in the fifties. Like we would it would be like May, and they'd be like, and the fifties through the nineties, and I'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Well, now we're just cramming forty years into like a week. And I would, I remember, I would always feel so. I still feel this way. Like I remember watching the NBC nightly news with Tom Brokaw. And they'd be talking about Beirut, or they'd be talking about Israel, and I would be like, "I haven't. None of this has been mentioned in school. Like, I don't know how why any yeah. of these. I don't know why any of these countries are the way they are. I don't know why they have any of the problems that they have. I don't know how we got to where we are now. And I remember when like Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire song came out, and I'd just be like, "Oh, it's just like it's all the stuff." That uh, all the stuff that we don't get to in yeah, it was uh, we didn't start the fire. It was like May the song, <laughs> like it was just everything that you would like briefly touch on in May in school. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's so uh, it's so weird that then, I mean, generationally. It must be so different now because, like, I was talking to somebody about uh, how it was for me growing up, how if there was, like, something that I was interested in, in in our culture, I would just be like, I hope there's a book about it, or maybe there's, like, I hope a magazine article came out about it, but if I wanted to, like, find out about you know, if I wanted to do research on like Doonesbury, mm-hmm. it'd be kind of tricky. I'd have it, to maybe find a specific magazine that might have interviewed Gary Trudeau at one point. Yeah, you would have to kind of go to a library and then ask a librarian if there was anything sort of on that. Yeah, and there might be like a big book about like comics of the 20th century, and it might have one little section. Whereas now. You can just go look up anything online, and even something that doesn't have a lot will have way more yeah, than I ever had access to. Uh, and it's such a different, strange thing. Like, because sometimes you just be like, well, uh, I guess that's all there is to find out about that. Yeah. Um, do you remember how much people freaked out about Wikipedia when it started? Yes, you mean in a like a school context or well, just in a general context general. that people were, people were like, but anyone could change it; it could be wrong. Yes, it's so. Yeah, I remember a big thing was it wasn't just Wikipedia, but when the internet was kind of starting, you couldn't use the internet as a source, or it was like considered like a lowlier source. It's like okay, you have to if you're writing this paper, you need to use like three like library books or encyclopedias and then you can use maybe one internet 
Yeah. It, it was just like, and it was the internet was looked down, and I was like, why is this worse? Like, what? Like, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's not. It's less accurate, and there was always like, yeah, anyone could change. Anybody, it. anyone could make a book. Anyone can like. <laughs> there's tons of bad books out there. Well, there's. Um, I remember I I had a World Book Encyclopedia, so I had like the full set of the World Book Encyclopedia we have on our house. I remember I would like I would like look up the entry on Walt Disney and it was like a medium sized entry. I'd be like, I'd read it, you know, like I'd read the whole entry. But then I'd look up like, yeah. then I try to find out stuff about like Warner Brothers cartoons. And I'd be like, there's no nothing you can look up because Walt Disney had an entry because he was um, he was big enough that he merited an entry in the World Book, but Chuck Jones wouldn't have. Hey, Matt Cohen. Yes, that's JD. Oh, hello. How oh. are you, JD? Good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Connor and I are just talking about uh, internet sources and uh, encyclopedias. Hey, that's pretty good. You guys talk about Wikipedia yet? That's a pretty good internet encyclopedia. Yeah. We're, we're on it. We're it's, on it's, it. It's on the docket. Um, I was going to call you the other day to say hi, Matt, and I didn't do it, but I regret it. Hey, I would have appreciated the call, and I'm sorry I did not call you. That's okay. Were you tempted to? You know what? I was thinking about it recently. I was like, oh, I should reach out to JD. Because I think JD is the kind of person who appreciates like a like sort of a phone call out of the blue. Because I call you out of the blue sometimes and just say hey. Mm-hmm. So you know, all right, we're we're getting closing on Act Four. It's almost done, and then we're on Act Five, and then it's all terrific. Terrific. Um, I can remember being really impressed with there was an article. Uh, I don't remember what it what it was in, but there was an article in the first few years of Wikipedia when it really started gaining steam. Because I remember discovering Wikipedia when it was like brand new and there wasn't much on it. Like I remember being like, "Oh, there's like this free encyclopedia," and I didn't know that you could yeah. edit it. But I was like, oh, "There's not a lot here, but I guess they'll add. They'll keep adding stuff." And I was thinking like, "Ooh, that's convenient," because like the first thing that happened with internet encyclopedias was like. Encyclopedias were these giant, like you'd have to, you couldn't haul it around with you. So the first time it was like, oh, you could carry it, you could just go to any computer and it's an encyclopedia. Um, you didn't have that with like we had. I remember growing up like Microsoft Encarta. Oh no, I had that too. That was a thing like when I was in high school. Um, the um, but the um, the. There was a point where there was an article talking about the way that Britannica and the Oxford, all the different places that made encyclopedias and reference books, how they were more, uh, they cl- they looked down on Wikipedia and anything like that as not accurate. But then this person yeah. reading the article was like, actually. What gets overlooked when everyone's like freaking out about Wikipedia not being accurate is that there are inaccuracies in Britannica and in the yeah. World Book. And they said, for instance, um, we found that there was only like 96 or 97 percent accuracy in uh. um, on like in like Encyclopedia Britannica, but it was. Wikipedia was less accurate, but it was like 94 to 95, so it was close. It was within the same range. But the person who read the article said, however, um, as of the writing of this article, we corrected 
all of the errors in this one. They were like comparing like one article, and they're like, yeah. we corrected all the errors. So actually, by the end of us writing this article, it is one hundred percent correct, and it is actually more accurate than Britannica. And I remember thinking like, oh, that was like a really effective tactic as far as like showing what the upside was of this new version of things. Yeah, and these like encyclopedia makers were scared just because of like, oh, this is going to put us out of business. Yeah. You can edit it quickly and you don't have to wait months to do a new revision. Oh, yeah. And that's effectively what happened, right? Like, I don't know. Do they still make new encyclopedias like Britannica's and World Books? Is that I, I bet I cannot imagine that anyone I bet makes they do, but I bet it's like a very niche thing. Yeah, I mean I wonder like it would seem like it would be an almost impossible job now, just in terms of so much effort going into something that no one cares about. Yeah, I bet they use Wikipedia. Yeah. Um yeah, it does seem like uh, I can't imagine them making it more than a very, very limited print run. Just it's almost like I'd, I'd be more inclined to, to believe they still made it if it was like the guy running. It was like, no, we are always going to make a set for me, <laughs> whatever. Like, there's some like it almost feels like there's a point of pride or something to it now. Yeah, the world yeah, book because it's like who who would order this? Like, I'm trying to think of who. Like, families don't anymore. There's no way. Boarding like schools? A library? I can only think of, like, a library. Yeah. Might want one. The World Book, in, in published print form, remains the definitive resource for higher education. Is this a World Book, the World Book website? No, that's just me being a World Book uh, oh, okay. enthusiast. You can't go to Wikipedia and feel the gold leaf on the edge of the page, the way it pops, the way it pops when you tear it open the first time, you won't find that on your Wikipedia. Oh, you know what? I just went to World Book. Yeah? What it looks like they're doing is they're selling like a subscription service. Uh-huh. So it's like you buy a login essentially, and then you can look up their online database. Can you still get a copy? Uh, it looks like you can, yes. You can get the World Book 2016 Encyclopedia for, do you want to throw out what you think it costs? Ooh, uh, so how many volumes? We're talking like 20-some volumes? Let's see. Uh, we're talking, yeah, it looks like. Because you got a couple, you got a couple of letters that are split 22. up, but then you got one volume that probably has like X, Y, Z. Yeah, twenty-two volumes. Twenty-two volumes. Uh, Over one thousand new and revised articles, including notable figures such as singer Katy Perry, author John Green, historical events, including Martin Luther King Jr.'s "I Have a Dream" speech. <laughs> That's their most recent historical update. Yeah, these are oh, in, in the news topics, such as the Tea Party movement and the Islamic State. Uh, I would update that website every day to add one more new example. It almost sounds like you'd update it like the way on Star Trek, they'll always say like, you know, like Julius Caesar or Abraham Lincoln or the Kralniks <laughs> at, at 
Orton 5. They always, like, yeah. add one thing that's uh, after uh, modern viewer history. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think this costs? I think it's $300. Ooh. Try $999.99. What? What? Yeah. Nine, so $1,000 for, mm-hmm. for 22 books? Yes. I mean, that don't seem right. I know. The cheapest world book for $400 is the 2013 edition. How much is that one? That's $400. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you just picture what an individual world book hardcover should cost, I don't feel like it should cost anywhere close to $50. Yeah, but, I mean... I guess printing costs are up. Oh, it's real gold on the gold leaf. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, man. Uh, That's too much. I mean, that makes me feel like it's just a thing for uh, uh, institutions. Yes. Because that's not a consumer price, you know? A thousand dollars. Nobody's dropping a thousand dollars on a world book. No, you could buy home you could buy half an iMac. Yeah, you could buy that's a that's a computer right there, like yeah. a nice, a very nice computer for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you, world book. You blew it. It feels like everybody's buying it for either sentimental reasons or because it's like, look, if we don't spend the budget, they won't. We won't. They won't match it in next year's budget. Yeah, we got to spend this library God, budget. What a waste! Like what a waste? Tweet that at the World Book. What a waste! <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a like a Donald Trump. It does. Tweet. Sad. Um. Yeah, tweet, um, tweet at the World Book. I don't know what their Twitter is, but maybe tweet at them something like, $900? Oh, no. Or tweet, I don't have $900. <laughs> um, Do they have a Twitter? I bet they have a Twitter. They, they must have a Twitter. Um, are you getting ready? To, when are you, When's voting? Soon? Out in California? Ooh, it's a little ways off. Yes. A month? I think it's one of the last states to vote. Same with New Jersey. A month from I can remember from growing up Holy, in New Jersey. Holy moly. Um, I had a... Uh, I, uh, this is kind of a crude analogy, but it's the only one that kind of occurred to me that really conveyed it in terms of, like, the way people are talking now about Trump. And there's a lot of people who are scared who are like, you know, like... He could win it. He could win it. But I do feel like there's an element, and this, is, this would not be an analogy that would be safe for broadcast anywhere, but it's the one that occurred to me the other night. I was talking to somebody, and I was like, it feels like the, the problem that, that Trump ultimately has is, and I think it's a problem that happens a lot with the way people are in the primaries. It's as if the, the GOP primary process was the process of, like, chasing down a barnyard pig and fucking it. 
mm-hmm. and that's how you win that nomination. But then the general is like, you have to seduce this woman who saw you do that. You know, <laughs> where it's like, you can do one, but it really hurts your chances of accomplishing the other one. You know, it's yeah. it's just like, we saw what you did to get to this point. Everybody saw yeah. it, and it was abhorrent. <laughs> like, it was disgusting what you did. And the next part is like, no matter yeah. how you like put pomade in your hair and put on a nice suit, you're still that guy <laughs> who we just saw run around the barnyard and have sex with a pig. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, no matter how much you like pivot to be like, I got a box of candies and <laughs> some flowers, just like, yeah, we know, we know what you are. We know what you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it is an interesting time. Yeah. We're, a very interesting time. It is a fascinating time. Um, I don't think, I mean, I guess you could say this about a lot of historical events, but it almost feels like unpredictable. Like if you would have told people, this is what our election is going to be, even like 10 years ago, I even, think people would have thought that would it'd be insane. Honestly, I just saw a clip on Bill Maher's show where Ann Coulter was on, and they played a clip from a year ago where they asked her, who she thought had the best chance of winning the the nomination. And she said, honestly, of the people who are running, Donald Trump. And the whole audience erupted in laughter. Wow. And it was a year ago. That, so it was last May. And yeah. I think everybody probably thought, at least certainly everybody who was like in the business of like predicting, thought like, oh, yeah, there's no way. Um, yeah. I think people really overestimated how, well, not Ola. They really, uh, I I discounted the fact that, like, Ted Cruz is such a slimy scumbag. You know, the interesting, yeah, the interesting thing to me about Ted Cruz is that the only reason he made it to the end is because he spent the first six months of the primary when everyone else was in it praising Donald Trump. So he lasted because he had like this weird strategy of, I'll just say like, I love Donald. I'm glad he's running. Donald is exciting. He's a breath of fresh air. I'm, I'm happy he's in it. I think Donald is saying things that people need to hear. And so Trump never went after him. So he just happened to be the guy who was like left over. But there was no way yeah. he was ever going to really win because then he started saying, like, Donald Trump is a pathological liar. And it's just like, wait a second. You spent all last year saying you loved him. So yeah. it's like. It was, like, very easy to compliment him when you thought he had no chance of winning. Yeah. And it's. But it is almost like watching some weird reality show strategy that, that is like, yeah, you can win the number two. You can get up to number two, but you can't win. Just like. Trump can get the nomination, but that makes it very hard. When he's just insulted every group that they were going to need to convince anyway. Yeah. Um, here's a blast from the past. I, uh, I remembered this recently, and I reminded... Um, I was noting some group, and I mentioned something about... Oh, I was, I was talking about how, like, in improv, how... You can say something, you can say or do something in a scene and it's maybe not great, but if you really commit to it and you make that thing like, well, this is what the scene is, we're just going to do this, 
that you can make it great in as few as one move just by someone can come in and say something absolutely ridiculous. And as long as you like work to make that a viable thing, it can be made viable almost all the time. And the, yeah. the moment that I chose to give the example was, um, and I, I'm assuming you'll recognize it as soon as I say it. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the board, I address to you this question, shareholders, when did the Tylenol Corporation become a goddamn witch factory? <laughs> I do remember that. And how it was in the show, the Vantage Point show, that uh, I was watching the audience, and then the first scene, um, Catherine Mudon started a scene by saying, they were like stirring like a broth in like a big vat. And she said, I don't know why, but it was like such a weird first line for a scene. She's like, since when did Tylenol become a goddamn witch factory? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like a complete non sequitur of initiation. Like, yeah. no part of that sentence makes sense to me. And then, no, it, it, but it weirdly poetically resonates, I think. There's something about it. Well, I remember true, it's been even what. Even though it is nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, this is what, like, five years I'm remembering this line, you know? Yeah. And the. Maybe longer. And uh, five or six years, maybe. Um, 2000, six years ago. It was like 2010 was that class. Yeah. So I still remember that line no. because. Yes, it was 2010. I still remember that line because then you initiated the scenes addressing the board of directors of Tylenol. Yes. Since when did the Tylenol Corporation become a goddamn witch factory? <laughs> and it's like, it's so weird because it's almost like there's not a name for that rule, but I'm just now thinking that um, you could almost call that you got to Woodward and Bernstein it. You got to um, get those two sources before you can run the story. Where it is like one person saying it, it's a weird line in a show. But having you play an authority figure who then addresses this as if this is a valid concern, it's like we have a second source. It works now. Yeah. It makes sense now. Uh, I think I've been explaining that, not to get too much into improv, but like something like that to like groups I coach. So it's like, it's almost, it's like, what's more fun? If that's like true or if it's not true? And it's like, it's usually. Always more fun if the thing is true. Like, yeah. It's way more fun if Tylenol has become a goddamn witch factory than yeah. if it, that's just like, oh, a weird thing someone said. And also also the fact that that is the way people, ref that specific turn of phrase is the way people yeah. talk about it. Because I think there's that other temptation to rephrase it and make it funnier. But it's almost yeah. always funnier to not fix it and to like make do with what you got. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been using the chopped analogy that, like, I just found out what that show is. Chopped? I don't watch cooking shows. Love, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I love, Mary and I are, we always watch Chopped. We love Chopped. And it seems to me, what I, I've never seen it, but uh, someone described to me what it was. I'm like, oh, that's how, like, good improv scenes are a lot, where it's like, you use the ingredients you have. And, mm -hmm. and it's like whatever you have at the top of the scene, those are the ingredients that you have, like whatever first things you do. And then you make your scene out of that, and that's how you get a good scene a lot of the time. Yeah, you sort of, it's like, okay, how do I like accentuate the positives here and sort of hide the negatives? Yeah, 
for me, it always is. I think negative I, into a positive. I think uh, I think it's uh, it's also one of those things like the thing you were saying about like it, it's more fun for a thing to be true. That I tend to think about it in terms of like the only reason to go against it is if it's some for some weird reason going to be more fun to pick at it yeah. and to build it up. Like maybe every now yeah. and then there's an instance where it is more. Um, it is more of a successful thing to pick apart and tear something down. Every now and then that's true for whatever personal or chemical reason. Um, but almost always, particularly the weirder the thing is that is being built, like I was coaching some group and they did a scene and it was like, uh, it, it was like some weird thing that I can't remember what the example was, but I was comparing it to how like there's that like that thing where if you just made something up and it's weird and then you start commenting on how it makes no sense, um, then it's kind of cheating in a weird way to the audience because they're like, well, you made it up. Why are you like you can yeah, immediately exactly. turn on it? It's like in movies where like characters will sort of, I think, be like, ah, oh, this person like looks. Dumb. It's like, well, yeah, this was like designed this way, or it's like, or it's like a character will come in with like a weird hat, and then like people will start making fun of that hat. Yeah, and it's like oh, this joke doesn't work for me because it feels like, yeah, you gave them that hat as yeah, a we're, writer. It's we're, not like you're not like goofing on it. For like, real. It's like every now, and, every now and then, a flaw of even though I love most Aaron Sorkin stuff, but a flaw of an of the Aaron Sorkin stuff that I'm least fond of is setting up like a foil to be outsmarted. Um, so it's like, well, of course, because you made the opponent easily uh, defeated. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, it is a, it's a definite thing of like, um, uh, it's a definite thing of every now and then, but also it's that thing of like, it's actually harder work to call it out because you can maybe sometimes every now and then I'll do a scene where I'll realize it's making no sense. And I'll have to, and it is like a little more exhausting because you have to commit to a thing of like, why did I do that? Why did I like where you got to really be like, yeah. how would I react if I really did something that made absolutely no sense? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, you're not coming out for DCM, are you, Matt? You know, I'm on the fence about it. I part of me wants to because it's fun, and there's uh, obviously a lot of friends I want to see. Yeah. But I have a bunch of weddings I have to go to, and it feels like there's so much travel in my yeah. summer already, and like expense-wise, so it just feels like oh, I definitely that could just be an added expense that is I don't need. I definitely get that right because I I can relate to that because I know that last year going to Mudon's wedding uh, wiped me out <laughs> for a lot. Like I, it was almost the end of the year before I was back to like being feeling like, Oh, I'm not still feeling the after effect of having to take a trip. Yes. Yeah. JD's back in the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. JD is back in the room. Hey Matt, I okay. hope you're out in LA soon. Oh, fantastic. Everyone is coming out to LA. I'm not going to move hey, don't there. Don't say it like that. That's very hurtful. Don't boast about it. Oh, well, it's nice for my friends. To move out here, I enjoy that. Do you still live in the same place? I do. Well, I think we are looking to move uh, kind of uh, early.
early fall. Oh. Did, uh, did you guys get a dog yet? We did not, but that is on the docket. Hell yes. Um, just a bit of housekeeping. Gether was asking if we wanted to go see uh, Captain America Civil War at 930. Uh, but I don't... I'll go. Uh, but we'd have to end the podcast at Astoria Cinemas, and then I'd have to go back in. Would I be able to make it back in by then? Uh, well, you're going to have to... Where are you going anyway? 10.30, i got to be at the... Uh, what theater is it? I don't know what theater it is. Um, at West 50th Street, the Ann L. Bernstein Theater at 10.30. Huh. i got to be there at 10. General admission seating. Right. Mm. Yeah, we don't have to. Well, I, no, I don't know if we'd be able to. Yeah. Um. I could solo the end of it. Yeah. Since I forced you to solo. For hours. How many hours has this been, JD? Three. Three hours. Jesus Christ, Matt. How are you? Uh, I'm doing uh, well. I'm thinking maybe if you guys have stuff to do, we can uh, wrap this up because I yeah. Eat you gotta lunch get you gotta well. get you gotta get lunch. You gotta get tech stuff handled. It's nice talking to you. I feel like we haven't talked in forever. Yes, I know. It is always great catching up. Yeah. Um, and if I don't see you at DCM, I hope I see you maybe when I'm out there at some point. You know, who knows? Yes, I would love to. Uh, let's keep in touch. All right. Good. See you on the internet. That's a pretty good sign off. I think you should uh, you should keep that. I like it. All right. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it works. It's, it's true because that is probably where I'll see you next. Mm-hmm. In the virtual. And also, sphere. it creates a feeling of intimacy uh, on the internet, which is a place that often really lacks intimacy. Yeah. Like, oh, I will see you there, yeah. rather than like. I have an I'll, ad- like, read your thoughts. I have an attitude about like I'm looking at your face right now, like your smiling okay. your smiling face is looking at me this whole time. Wow! On my phone, and when I see I have a different attitude towards Facebook in terms of like people that I'm actually friends with and also friends with on Facebook. Like I see their face and it is like, yeah, that's my friend. My friend's there. Yeah, it's nice. I I like it. I agree with you. Yeah, but I'll tell you the other thing. I talked about this earlier, but. Let me ask if this bugs you. Do you get frustrated by whenever you like either tweet or make a joke or something like that? Or do you have people in your life who just, uh, they love to comment with follow-up jokes? Yeah. And that's all they do is comment with follow-up jokes? Yeah, there's that. And there's also, I think, people who will like straight man the joke or like take it seriously and it's just like, ah, oh, I don't, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, it's a real problem out there. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, Matt. Have a yeah. good have a good uh, lunch. And uh, tell JD I say goodbye as well, and I'll see him on the internet. All right, I will. Bye, Matt. All right. Bye. All right. Now, uh, genuinely, through most of that phone conversation, I think I forgot. Um, I think I forgot that we were recording a podcast during that. So I may have said things during that segment. Um, I may have said things during that segment that I didn't. Um, um, 
I may have said things during that segment that were not that were just just naturally me in a phone conversation and not thinking about the requirements or the limits of podcasting. Um, uh, right now, I'm just texting Gethard, responding to this movie invitation. Um, Well, so why don't I just call Gethard and see? Um, let me see. I'll, I'll call Gethard and see how he's doing. See if he answers. Hello. Hey, Gethard. Uh, just so you know, I'm I'm recording right now, so your voice is on the thing. Yeah, um, JD, JD, I've been doing it solo for I think three hours now because JD's working on the edit, so I'm in the other room. Um, but I've been. Oh, you at, you're at the at the studio at the office. Yeah, yeah, he's in the. I'm in like the uh, the brainstormers uh, ping pong table room here. Um, you think he's gonna be mad when you? Uh, you think he's gonna be mad when he's working on Saturday and I'm? No, not at all. He he seemed uh, open to the idea of doing it. Um, the I can't do it. We're we're we had to start early today because I had a ticket to go see that stolen house, that um, improv show on the set. Um, like Adsit and Lutz and them. Yeah. Um, but JD seemed open to the possibility of meeting you out there for Captain America. Uh, but it it would mean he'd have to end the podcast solo and like take the gear and head out that way because I'd got I'd have to be back in Manhattan around the same time, so that might happen. Well, that part that part is your guys' business. Not, I don't. That's yeah. not my business. That part's not mine. Yeah, I guess I was saying that more for lis- listeners of the podcast. Oh right, I guess I keep forgetting. It is, I guess that's the weird thing about your podcast is everything's both very personal and very public at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing? How's your day? I tell you, that's pretty good. Um, Hallie and I slept in, slept a lot, and we watched. You know what? I'd never seen. I'd never seen uh, Finding Nemo. Did you like it? Loved it. Watched part of it last night. Oh, you want to hear? It? Here's a good thing. Here's an exclusive. How many hours in are we? Can I ask? Um, we started at nine forty-five. Uh, so I think are we? Uh, Coming up on eight. Coming up on eight hours. Coming on eight hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we don't have we don't have a TV in our bedroom, but we do have a pullout couch in our living room. So we slept on the pullout couch and we fell asleep watching Finding Nemo, and we woke up and finished it. And I loved it. I I haven't seen it since it came out in the theater, but I loved it. it I, I it's really like I hope that new one's good. I can't tell from the trailer. I can't get a vibe of what the the what the feel of it. Whether it's you know. Uh, but I really like. I don't remember. Uh, Finding Dory is the sequel that's coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm hopeful, but I, it's one where I, I genuinely just can't tell from the way the trailer is edited whether it's a a good movie or not. You know, uh, I'd like to believe just because they they were able to make the Toy Story sequels good 
that they, that this would be another opportunity for something like that, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm also I'm also always happy to hear Albert Brooks talking in anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I it hit me pretty quickly. It was him. The one I had trouble figuring out was I didn't realize that uh, that one fish was going to flow because I just never, I wouldn't expect him to be playing a fish in an animated movie. Yeah, I forgot he was even in that. Um, I I saw that movie, The Good Dinosaur. Uh, which was which was kind of of the Pixar movies, kind of not not among my favorites. But there was a character in there that I was convinced was Bob Odenkirk, and it was it was Steve Zahn. Um, I never saw that one. Uh, I'm not. I, I tell you, I'm not inside with Peter Pixar. I missed the boat. Like the big one that I've never seen that people get mad at me for because I'm such a like I'm a pretty encyclopedic Marvel comics fan. I've never seen The Incredibles. I think you would probably like it because it's a pretty fun take on superheroes. People tell me it's a lot like Watchmen now. And it's like a comedy, comedic version of Watchmen. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, there is something to that, but like, uh, I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, yeah, I want to check it out. Yeah. Um, are you excited about Captain America Civil War? Very excited. Um, like, there's so many screenings tonight, but none of them are sold out, which makes me worry that maybe there's like burnout on the Marvel movies, but I have a feeling it could be the best one. Yeah, it looks, I mean, I really liked Winter Soldier a lot, and it kind of snuck up on me because I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I liked uh, both the Captain America movies a lot, but I also really loved Captain America from when I was a kid, more than I think, I think for a lot of people, that's a second-tier Marvel choice. Yeah. But he was right. For me, he was like, it was Spider-Man and the X-Men, and that was like everything. Yeah. Like Captain America was probably consistently the very next match for me. Interesting. Where did Iron Man fit in your, when you were ranking them in your affection, where did Iron Man fit when you were a kid? Well, Iron Man, I will never forget this. Um, I like didn't know much about Iron Man, because with comics, like, Comics was probably the first. You, you know me well enough to know that, like, when I fall into something other than a rabbit hole, like with soda or J. Crew clothing, like I just yeah. go all in. And uh, for me, the first time I, I was camping with my channel, I bought a three pack of comics. It had a Fantastic Four, it had a classic X Men, it had a GI Joe comic, and I flipped out. I was like, "What are these? These are the best!" And the X Men one just opened the door to X Men so wide. Never got into Fantastic Four. Uh, yeah. But Spider-Man, when I discovered Spider-Man, that was it. And Iron Man, I didn't know much about. But I'll never forget my dad. I used to get these, like, my parents used to get me for Christmas. Like, it would be, like, 20 packs or 50 packs of Marvel Comics. They found some place we could order. It came with, like, a storage box and just, like, a load of random comics that you didn't get to pick. Oh. And that was how it would go for me. It was amazing. Like, the first few years of my comic, I think I started reading comics in third grade, and it was, like... I'd read Spider-Man and X-Men religiously, and then my parents would get me these variety packs once or twice, like my birthday and Christmas and my birthday in May, so like every six months. And then I'd just find new stuff, and I'd double down and go all in on that. And Iron Man, I had like a big pile of Iron Man comics in order, like five or six that came with one of those variety packs. Yeah. And my dad, my dad was like a workaholic. He used to work on the weekends a lot. I think he felt bad that he wasn't spending too much time with me. But he would, like, bring me to work with him on the weekends when it was empty. And that was, like, an activity 
I really loved it. And I'll never forget, I, uh, he used to bring me to the, the like, cafeteria at his work. He'd get me hot chocolate, and he'd go work, and I'd sit in the cafeteria reading comic books. And I read about six or seven issues of Iron Man that were all in a row. Yeah. And they were just really good. It's just from a stretch where it was really good. And that's when I was like, that's when I was down with Iron Man. But I never, I think I bought a lot of Iron Man from that point forward, but I would never say that Iron Man is one of the closest to my heart. There's a degree that when Iron Man was what cracked open Marvel as a movie making yeah. entity, I was very, very surprised. Very surprised. I think everybody kind of was. I, I wasn't. Yeah, I was not surprised that Fantastic Four had consistently bombed because I've never. They were always like the first family of Marvel, and they were the first ones out of the gate. But I never, outside of the thing, and to a degree, the Human Torch, I never found all that interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's weird because my relationship to superhero comics was always a little bit peripheral. Uh, but it always seemed to me like I was surprised at Iron Man just because it always seemed like there was something impersonal about the costume that uh, yes. you, you can't you, it just can't convey a lot of personality, which I think maybe the thing they just having Robert Downey Jr. who has such like a, a so much personality that it kind of balances the fact that when he's being Iron Man, uh, there's really not a lot that can you can convey other than just, like, a machine yeah, fighting? I do think the best writers did a good job at that. Like, probably the most famous Iron Man storyline of all time is they reveal that he's become an alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, I think the armor, I think the fact that the, the suit does, doesn't convey humanity, like, the best Iron Man stories, I think, have their elements of that, where it's, like, armor that protects him from the world but also shields him from having to be a human being the world knows about. Yeah. Sometimes I think that the armor plays real nice into that, but out of the gate, I don't... And, you know, also the armor keeps him alive, but it makes him less than human. So I think there's, like, a lot there from the beginning, but the better writers have exploited that, and I would agree that that suit is problematic as an entry level. Yeah. Am I going to... And I'm looking at the cover of the comic book, is this the one I'm going to grab? Yeah. Uh, Thor is the one I'm most... Thor... I'm, like, a Marvel fanatic, and Thor has consistently just confused me since I was eight years old. So I've never understood. Because he's a guy. I've never understood. I've, it doesn't make sense. And also the way they write it, they write it with this weird, like, me thinks, yeah. me thinks ye mortals. And it's like, I don't understand what's fun or interesting about this. Like, is there a reason why he shouldn't just yeah, be able to... Like, I don't know if you heard this Howie behind me just went, but the Thor movie was awesome. And that's what I'm saying. Like, the Thor movie... I enjoyed the Thor movies far more than I've ever enjoyed a Thor comic book, ever. Yeah. I, weirdly, I, I I have not... I think the two Thor movies are the only ones of these that I haven't seen, of the Marvel movies. Oh, they're good. I, I keep meaning to. I do, they just pass me by, you know? Well, I'm really surprised you didn't see the first one with Kenneth Branagh. I don't know if he directed the second one. He directed Kenneth Branagh directed yeah. the first one. I don't know if that into your, like theater and Shakespeare background. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't because it's not, I wasn't avoiding them. I just think by circumstance, I didn't see the first one when it came out and then when the second one came out, I was like, I haven't seen the first one yet and because I've seen every other one that's come out, I think. Yeah, I think I, I, I've seen all of them except predictably Iron Man 3 because my ego of getting cut out of that movie, it would have hurt too much. Right, right, yeah. I, I get it. I, I think the big thing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, 
Now, is there a reason why, since Thor's a god, like, it's one of those things that it feels kind of like he should be able to just fix anything and make all the other superheroes irrelevant, right? Yeah, but I think that part of what the movies are really doing right is, like, there's a real arrogance about them, too. Almost like the elves from the, the Lord of the Rings, as, as written even more than in the movies, where there's, like, a real arrogance of, like, like, you guys are the ones who keep fucking everything up. Why do I have to be the one to speak? Like, like yeah. he's not Superman. He's not, like, geared towards, I'll help everyone with everything all the time. He is, like, a little bit of an arrogant, um person who's judgmental towards humanity. Sure yeah. I had uh, a friend... Yeah. No, oh, no, go for it. A friend of mine, uh, when I was growing up, my best friend was... Uh, his parents wouldn't let him read X-Men comics because they were really religious and th- his mom was convinced that they were called the X-Men because the comics were X-rated. Uh, I get that. Yeah, and... He couldn't convince, they just wouldn't, they were just convinced, and then he had a bunch that were hidden, and there was, like, one issue that had, like, the cover was something that was, like, a love story, it was, like, two characters, and it said, like, a love story, and she yeah. found them and threw all, all of his comics because she was convinced they were... That's killer. Yeah. Although I would, have, I would have to imagine somebody who's, like, that paranoid probably wouldn't like the X-Men if they really knew what it was about because it's ultimately like an analogy. It's all like really an analogy to race relations and, and uh, yeah. And at this point, I think it's also fair to say an analogy to like, um, the, like, um, like an anti-homophobia. Right. Like, yeah. Like it's a lot of analogy to like race and gay issues in America. So a person who's that worried about Pornography probably wouldn't like some content wise anyway. So it yeah. probably worked out. Yeah. But hey, look, Hallie and I Hallie and I are cleaning our house. Okay. I'm uh I would have to imagine I I really like talking to you always and I like um generating content, but I also don't want my house dirty and dirty on a day that I'm enjoying yeah. enjoying it with the wife. Yeah. Well uh, uh I'll, JD, hold on. Yeah. Hallie's here, I have it on speaker. Connor, did you ever wonder why a spider doesn't get caught in its own web? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I, I think, I don't know. Is there, I, I've never wondered why. But now that I answered the question, aren't you, like, so, isn't your mind blown at the very concept? Like, why don't they get caught in their own web? Yeah, I mean, I guess I probably have, on some level, rationalized that there's something about the, uh, they have an immunity to their own adhesive or something, you know, like that they, because it's from them, it doesn't stick to them maybe, right? Yeah, that's, so I looked it up because I was like, once I thought about it, then I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I had to know the answer. Yeah, it's kind so of a mind-blower. Like, you know how they have, like, hairy legs? Yeah. Spiders have, like, little tiny hairs on their legs? Yeah. So they basically, like, when they're crawling across their web, they just make sure that only those little hairs on their feet are the part touching the web. So they're able to just, like, kind of crawl across it without getting stuck. And also, they have to be, like, super, super, like, fanatical about cleaning their, themselves and their feet because, like, if they had debris or something that got on their feet and then that got caught in the web, then they could be in a pickle. So they, so they, a spider can get caught if they're if they mess up. It could, yeah. 
And like, okay, this is a cool thing that they're not totally sure about, but they think maybe yeah. that they like make the center part of the web, like that's the part that has like a lot of glue on it. And maybe the web that they spin for like the outer part where they might be like sleeping or hanging out more, that doesn't have as much glue. Ooh. I mean, it would be so frustrating to be a spider and put all that effort into making a web and then get stuck in it and then you're just done. Oh, it would be horrible. I mean, it's tragic. Yeah. It'd be like so horrible. That's why when I thought of it, I had to know the answer because I was like, oh, it's a, the thought of a spider getting caught in its own web was like very upsetting to me. Did you think of it it's because... A, you, a, did you think of that because you were... Sorry, go ahead. of it all really got to me. It got me in the heart. I wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah. Did that, did that did that thought occur to you because you came across a spider web while cleaning? I saw a, like a daddy long legs in the middle of a spider web, and I was like, "Oh, that's so sad that daddy long legs got caught in that spider web." But yeah. then I got so confused. I was like, "Wait a minute!" I was like, "Can a spider even get caught in a web, or is that the daddy long legs web, or does daddy long legs even have a web?" Like, it was hard to imagine the daddy long legs having a web. They seem to just like crawl around on the ground. <laughs> But they're a spider. I don't know the whole thing. There were so many questions. Yeah, could like to me. can it can uh, are you immune against if you're a, if you're one spider, you're a daddy long legs, and you go to someone else's some other spider's web, are you automatically caught in that, or can the you use the part that is the is it like a, a skeleton key where you no spy every spider can be careful, or is it just an immunity for your own spider web? I think. No, I think if the, I think if any spider messes up and like just like their the, like their body yeah. like touches the web, I think they're screwed. Whether it's their web or someone else's web. Ooh. Seems yeah, like-, like they don't really have immunity. They got to be like super. They got to be like vigilant about this. That's why like they're always cleaning the feet and stuff. See, I didn't even know spiders always clean their feet. Yeah, they gotta be like, they gotta be vigilant about this. I'm telling you, Connor. They I feel, can be in a real pickle otherwise. I feel like that's the type of thing that should be a phrase that then people know, where it's like, like an elephant never forgets, and a spider always cleans his feet. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how we learn stuff like that is when we make it a thing where it's like you should like if if kids come in and they have uh, like dirty feet and they come into the house that you say like a spider always cleans his feet. And then they learn that as a fact while also... I mean, someone had to be the first person to say an elephant never forgets. Yeah, I don't know if that's even true. I don't know if if elephants have good memories or not. (laughs) They do. They have really good memories. Didn't you see this video that went viral of, like, these two elephants that were reunited after, like, they didn't see each other for, like, decades and decades. They hadn't seen each other in decades. And then they were reunited at this elephant sanctuary, and they were, like, so happy to see each other that it was, like, you couldn't barely even, like, get them, separate them. They just kept, like, wanting to hold each other's trunks and stuff. And then at night, they have to separate the elephants at the sanctuary just because they can't keep an eye on them and they don't want something bad to happen. Yeah. So they put them in just next to each other and these two elephants, they bent the bars of the cage because they were, like, still trying to, like, grab, like, hold one another and, like, hold one another's trunks. But they hadn't seen each other in, like, so long. Oh, that's nice. You gotta look this up, Connor. It's a tearjerker. Yeah. Ugh. Whenever I think of elephants, I always think of that thing in Planet Earth where that one baby elephant gets lost. Oh, 
my God. You don't understand. I like, I, that, that haunts me. Like, I wish I'd never, it was so beautiful, but I kind of wish I'd never seen it. I wish I'd never seen it. I think about it all the time. That shot from up above where they're just like, it's headed the wrong way. And you just see off in the distance and you're just like, oh my God. Your heart sinks. Like, oh my God, nature is so cool. Like, nature is so heartless. Yeah. It's true. I'm not. Do you think the one where the little baby elephant, like, he's born and he can't straighten his front legs yet? Did you see that? No, no. Oh, you gotta look this up. Okay, but this baby elephant is born and when he comes out, he's like perfectly strong, but his, he can't straighten his front legs at all. So he's trying to walk and he can't walk. He's like kind of walking on, like his. It's like his front half is crawling on his knees, but his back half is fine, so his back half is walking on his feet. It's very awkward. And then it comes time where, like, his elephant family is going to have to migrate, and they have to migrate. It's, like, the time that they do it. It's, like, super important for their, like, feeding and mating and all this thing. And so everybody's moving on, and this little guy, like, can't really walk yet. And he's, like, struggling and kind of crawling and trying to keep up, and the mom is, like, in just dress. The mom is like looking at the pack that's moving ahead and looking at the baby being left behind and the mom doesn't know what to do because like her survival is kind of hanging in the balance too and she just keeps kind of like nervously kind of like walking up to the pack and then kind of walking back and trying to wait for the baby and it's like I almost cried my eyeballs out onto the floor and then but then he figures it out. He starts doing like elephant yoga. He starts doing like baby elephant yoga and he keeps like stretching and stretching and stretching his legs and like you can see that he's like trying to stretch out like the muscles and the tendons and get the legs to work right like he's kind of figured out what's wrong about his situation and he works it out man it's like so inspiring I haven't seen that at all I feel like I need to see I need to see more elephant videos like that to wipe that one image out of my head a little further I know of this poor baby elephant just like headed for nowhere just headed for doom doom uh, oh, JD has an elephant video I want to tell you about one. The one that you like. Don't you love the one where the baby keeps baby elephants trying to climb into the baby pool? Oh yeah, you showed me that one. Yeah, you like that one. That's a good one. I'm too. gonna have to Google a couple of baby elephant videos. JD is joining me in the room now. Hey, JD, um, JD, just remember, a spider always claims its teeth. A spider always claims its teeth. Yeah, this is a this is a like uh, a didactic phrase we're trying to popularize. We're trying to get popular. Sort of like stage nine. It's feet, right? If spider always cleans his feet. Spider always cleans its feet. JD, come in. That's how you don't get stuck. Uh, JD, nine thirty, Captain America. You in? I would, but Connor's got to be at this uh, play at ten thirty, and I'll be there at ten. He's got to be at ten. And we have to end at 9.45. We have to end at 9.45. So I could make it, but Connor couldn't make it. And you'd be talking for the first 15 minutes. Yeah. I think I'm just going to take the night off. You're going to take the night off? Yeah, I'll probably just go home and go to sleep. Okay. So nobody, nobody's coming to the movie. Well, you don't have to say it's so sad. <laughs> no, it's just on my end. You know, we just did have a 23-minute-long conversation that ended, you know, which is fine, but it's just kind of funny. But I would have to imagine, I don't know how better you guys go, 
But when you're recording 12-hour days, 23 minutes, it's like a very weird thing right now from perspective where I imagine 23 minutes is like nothing to you guys today. It's like nothing. It's a tiny little... Like 23 <clears throat> minutes to yeah, it, 23 minutes to me today is like a significant portion of my day. I think we had a good conversation, though, regardless of the outcome movie-wise. Wait, so you're saying, you're saying it was a waste of a conversation because no one's going to the movie with you? No, 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 because here's the thing. Because Connor came back to me, I, I explained to Connor, yeah. like, Hallie and I are cleaning our house right now. Yeah. So, like, usually a conversation about, like, do you want to come to the movie is like, oh, no, I can't make it, or like, yeah, I might be down. But in the context of a 12-hour day, 23 minutes, is nothing. This is like one, what is this, that's one twenty-fourth yeah. of what you guys are doing today. So you're looking at it from that perspective, whereas for me, I've now taken 25 minutes off of being in my house, which is not good or bad, but it's just very interesting. It's just a very interesting thing to think about. We're having a, yeah, way. You, we're having very different days. Right now. The actual concept of time and the function of time is different for us right now. Mooj is in the room too now. Yo. That's awesome. And he's leaving. I'll see you guys later. Right. Hey, dude. Bye, Mooj. Good work today. Right. Uh, I'll say in, in closing, and I'll let you get back to cleaning your house, that the the image of you reading the comics and drinking hot chocolate at your dad's work, um, I really like that, because it does remind me about how, like, I can remember I used to get these comics that would come in a three-pack at a gas station, and you could never yeah, see... that was that. You could never see what the middle one was, really. You know, you'd kind of, like, try to bend the plastic to see what that middle one was. But you didn't want to mess up the comic by bending it too much. Yeah, yeah. And, there, like, I don't, less than the comics themselves sometimes, the experience of getting them, like, the memory of, like, oh, they took me here and this is, like, the, the, like this little treat, that's the part that stays with me. Is the the feel yeah. the feeling of the experience? I would say that's totally true, especially because like as a kid, I also remember like I used to go like I would save up my money. And when you're a kid, you don't make money. When you're a child, you don't. It's not a thing that you do. It's a thing people give you, and then you have to hoard. And my parents knew that they wouldn't take me to the comic book store um, more than once a month. But generally what I would do is I would, I would like, scramble and save, you know, once I got into comics, I feel like I started visiting my grandparents a lot more because it made, they would maybe slip me some money because they were grandparents. Yeah. And then once I got up to 20 bucks, I'd be like, let's go. Because when, when I was a kid, it was one comic is one dollar. And they'd take me to the Livingston Mall, and it would be a scramble to get 20 comics. And the Marvel wall is the back wall. I never forgot that. I'd blow right past that DC wall. <laughs> go to the Marvel wall. Then there was the other wall that was like where you had like Archie and Dark Horse and stuff like that. And I stopped by there because uh, Archie was where the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics were. And yeah. that was generally the only thing I bought that wasn't uh, Marvel when I was a child. Yeah. I mean, you know, because I was, I, was already, like, I was already pretty heavy into the comics before Image and Valiant. People forget Valiant. Valiant was... Uh, like right around the same era in the Valiant made the real splash but it faded away. Yeah. Yeah. And we could get, I mean, we could talk, I also really liked the way we were thinking about like the tiers of Marvel characters, like where Iron Man is in my place. Because that's what I think, because like, I love the Avengers. I guess I, I do feel like 
I read The Avengers every month. I don't know that I read Iron Man every month. Right. But to me, it was like, you, know, you can get your Iron Man and Thor. And because Marvel was so amazing at using like that asterisk system to let you know what other... Like, yeah, know, like see this Iron issue, Man, yeah. You kind of get a sense of what all those other characters were up to. But Captain America, I faithfully bought every month the fact that I was also reading about him in Avengers and then there's like weird tears like then you get down to that level of Marvel Comics where it's like kind of like a crapshoot over just to stay hooky like I, I was like a big Silver Surfer fan and I think it's just because when I was a kid that's when they were like building up to the Infinity Gauntlet and looking back I think they spent a couple of years just making Silver Surfer awesome knowing that he was going to be such a big deal for this like company wide thing whereas yeah. someone like Doctor Strange and even Daredevil. Like, I really appreciated them, and I'd go on streets where I read them a little bit, but I never got totally hooked on that tier of characters. Like, Daredevil was probably, looking back on it, Thor is cheesy, I would maintain that. Fantastic Thor is cheesy, I would maintain that. Daredevil's probably the comic that, like, I am aware was really good that I missed the boat on hardest from that tier. Whereas Silver Surfer is one that I liked more than I probably should have based on its overall quality. Yeah. Like, we could get into this with every Marvel character. <laughs> Is there a Marvel character that if, if Marvel came to you and said, look, we're going to let you play, you can play one of them, and it'll be a, it'll be a relatively... What? Like, I could play a Marvel character? Yeah, you could play it, and, and we're going we're gonna to try something out where we're going to do a, like a low-budget Marvel movie, and we're going to try it out, and you can do any... You can be any Marvel character you want. And you can do it comedically or you can do it seriously, but it's your choice. And they're not giving me one of the top tier characters. I mean, you could if you wanted. You could, but not one that's already been kind of claimed at the moment. You can't reboot one. Yeah, yeah. Let me think. Um, who would be like a really. Who would be one that stands out as like character that's like kind of off the grid and she's a stranger. I mean honestly I know it's cliche because I've publicly spoken so much but multiple men I think multiple men is right. incredible <laughs> you know the thing about multiple men that, that people forget first of all it's everything because no one cares about multiple men yeah but multiple men is that multiple men lived on a farm and his parents were killed and he was just kid on a farm by himself, scared to talk to anybody, and his powers developed and there multiple of him, so he spent his whole adolescence just with himself, with other versions of himself. Psychologically, that is so complex and weird. Yeah. What did Multiple Man appear in? Uh, multiple Man was like an X-Men affiliate who for years, like, they met him really early on. That was one of the first mutants that the X-Men met who was not an X-Men. They invited him to join the X-Men, but he wasn't into it. So another thing that I think Marvel was really cool at is like there were times where there, there were times where characters, DC never did that. DC never had characters that they're like, hey, no, I'm not feeling it. Sorry. Like, yeah. We can be friends. I'm, not, I'm, the, I'm just not feeling it. Um, and so then for years, multiple men, they'd like, multiple men lived on this island near Scotland with Laura McTaggart, who was this like non-mutant researcher and was kind of like Charles' Lewis, that's friend and former lover. And uh, for years, they like sometimes we him a multiple man was going on an adventure to when they were in that part of the world. And then multiple man eventually was added to X Factor, 
when Peter David took over writing X Factor. That's like probably my favorite stretch of comics ever is Peter David's X Factor because X Men were so incredibly popular and they basically said Peter David want to write X Factor and he was like, Yeah, but I want to take like the shittiest B B level side characters and put them all on one team together and it's so funny and so good and really well written and really good that character, like really good psychology of the characters that shine through. Yeah. Really, really good. So probably multiple man. I feel like at some point I'm going to like call you back and tell you another one that I thought of. I know, I've always known if Marvel is the case with that him want you to write a comic, I know exactly what that would be. Yeah. Exactly what that would be. Yeah. I want to write, I, I've always wanted to write like a four issue limited series where Captain America fights Bullseye, which traditionally is Daredevil villain. Because mm-hmm. Bullseye is like, he's like this assassin. He's like corporate, he's like this assassin for hire that can make anything into a weapon and I always feel like there's like a real psychological thing there of like to really make an argument from Bullseye's perspective that he is the real America corporate greed cutthroat um, everything for money that's the real America Captain America so where you to stop me and criticize me with your flag you're an idealist you're a cartoonist you're an idealist yeah. who uh, buys into the myth but if you look at reality I have a lot more to do with America than you do I feel like that's something that could happen. I feel like you could get that to actually happen. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd be kind of scared to even pitch it, but I think it would be great. But the other thing is, if I ever got to a point of stature of, um, enough that I could pitch a comic, they'd want it to be funny. Like, they let comedians, they let these comic people write, oh, our food is here. Hey, I should go. I okay. should go, Connor. All right. All right. Have a good, ma- have a good movie. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All right, JD, you're done editing? I'm done editing. Uh, now, how would you say it went? Would you say it went smoothly? Would you say it went uh, swimmingly? Um, Was it a little bit more of a slog than you thought? It went fine. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird episode. It's going to end up being fine, but some of them are pretty much you know done after you shoot them and this one took a little bit more work yeah just because there was so much that we shot and it's a little bit more to finesse yeah exactly mm. the edits weren't hard but picking and choosing what to keep was hard yeah a good kind of problem yeah. right yeah as opposed to like we don't have enough no exactly we got to stretch it's that's, also the tone of, the tone of the episode is very strange because people talking about uncomfortable things yeah that's I like good. the way it looked having some of those like dinner table shots on the monitors. Yeah, it's nice. Um, how you feeling now? Good. You're packing up to go somewhere. I don't know. Am I? Or maybe we'll just sit here. Uh, we can sit here. Yeah. Um, go, let's go into a room with windows, though. Yeah, where is that? Down the hall. Okay. I'm going to bring my stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, can we go in like the LLC room or one of those rooms? Yeah, exactly. Da-da-da. 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 Can you Da-da-da-da. take this bag? Um, or not? He's already left. It's crazy. But that's how it goes. Millions of people live in his foes. Maybe they <laughs> <laughs> Might be a new number one song uh, 
why? What's climbing up the charts? Drake is climbing up the charts. Oh. His songs are a little bit harder to learn because he's got a couple different ways of singing that are like rhythmically a little bit tricky. Right. Uh, or I find it tricky anyway. Is this open? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, this is a nice old room. Yeah. Um, a nice old room for the boys. Here's a nice old room for the boys. Here's um, a nice old room for the what's, boys. What's mulling the... over in your head? Just tired. Yeah. I have to work every day. Um, I wish I didn't. <sighs> oh. The, uh... So what's going on, Connor? Oh, That's not know. related to movies or TV shows. Well... I think so. It's May 2016. When I think about, I mean, when I'm, it, it's weird because you know you go through so so big a, a portion of life where you are. Um, it takes a long time before your brain. I don't know if you're ever fully your brain ever fully divorces from the, the way a school year is structured because it, that yeah. pattern gets imprinted on you. Like, I remember when I first started in school being like, wait, I don't get to be at home with my mom? Like, I, like yeah. thinking like, this is, feels like I got to waste most of my time now being someplace else with strangers. Right. And it didn't make, I remember it not making sense in a weird way because it felt like you're a little kid and you're at home and then suddenly you're at something else. And it does feel kind of, un, I remember it feeling kind of unnatural. Right. Because it is, like in, in like a... In a, a previous kind of civilization or in a different kind of society, maybe you would just be on a homestead with the family and that would be it. And you would be around your family all the time, you know? Right. And you'd work on your homestead or whatever. You, um, you wish you had a homestead to work on. No, I don't want, not that I want that, but there is some element of it. I just want the good parts of it. I moved when I was very young, so I was always very uncomfortable Yeah. at school. Because usually it's like, you go to school for the first time, you're uncomfortable, and then you get used to it. Yeah. How many times do you move? I started going to school in Atlanta. Then I went to school in Charleston. Then I went to school in Wilmette. So it was like yeah, three schools in three years. Yeah. Or less. Less, actually. Yeah. Three schools in like two and a half years. I would... I mean, there was a point where my dad almost got a job somewhere else and almost had to move. And I remember like me and my sister just like freaking out, just like, absolutely not. Just like, we were just like, couldn't imagine it. It was like, we were going to have to move to Seattle or someplace. Right. And he did not, it, we weren't the deciding factor in it. Yeah. But it was one of those things where when I think back, I'm like, Oh, we would have had no say. Like it would have just been like, we're moving. Dad yeah. has a new job. It's in Seattle. You'll make new friends. But it would have, I mean, I would have been so, horrified by it yeah um that's so hard but so it's hard to break that imprint of like september's when school starts and you go till may and you have a break over christmas september's when school starts for you i feel like school starts in august for us um late august early september for us usually yeah uh but i usually associated like september's the month you know like even if it 
even if it started on the 31st of August, it still was like, well, August is a summer month. Right. Um, Isn't it weird that we take the summer off from school? Yeah. Why do we do that? Um, in a lot of cases, it's because... Was it so like kids who work on their farms and stuff? Um, I think there might be that. I know that it's at certain points, like, not all the schools in Missouri had, like, the air conditioning facilities to, it was, like, old buildings stuff like that, where you would actually end up having to close the school because it got so hot the kids were passing out. Right. Um, but, uh... We had a lot of snow days. We would have some snow days, usually. Um, but it really, you know, you get so far into adulthood and you still have this weird imprint in your mind of like what the shape of a year means, even though it really doesn't mean anything to you anymore, you know? Um, and, but then I had for a long time, the shape of a work week, which was, I worked from Tuesday to Saturday for a long time. I worked for Tuesday, to Saturday, and then I do a half day on Sunday. Right. Monday is a day that I've come to associate as like Monday is a day off. Right. And so now I've had a year of not having that work schedule either. So it's like a second, it's almost like images that let are, that are on a computer screen too long and it burns into the screen. Right. That I have that for both school year schedule and work week schedule. And they're both like irrelevant patterns now. Yeah. But now it's weird because now it's sort of like, I know that like we've got a few more weeks of Gethard show, so that's May. And I know that June for me is a little bit defined by Del Close Marathon at the end of it. Sure. And then I know that July I'll be in DC. I'm only doing one show in DC on this year, I believe. Big Slobby Naturals? Terry Withers. Oh, I guess I should do Big Slobby Naturals. Of course, we're the stars so, of Big Slobby Naturals. It's you and I, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll do Where that. the front man. I always think of Big Slobby Naturals as like a band, like the, um, what's that band that's like really huge? Uh, um, they always look like a, um, like it's some sort of like. It looks like they're all going to drink poison or something. Some sort of like hippie cult. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. No, no. I may just be based on some one weird image of them. Um, what band has that many people in it? I don't know. I always picture it being a big spectacle. Um, but like a late 90s, early aughts band. Late 90s, early aughts? They're more of an alternative band, I think. And there's a bunch of members? Maybe I just saw some spectacle that they put on once. What on earth are you talking about? I mean, maybe What's I'm the not... image look like? More details. Like what I... Like, just like... <sighs> Um, what are you going to Google? What could you know. possibly Google, Connor? I don't know. Big old band from the aughts? <laughs> Siri. <laughs> what could I Google? I don't know. Oh, um, the Just name some. Name some. Uh, name bands? I hope that I'll <laughs> battleship you on this one. All right. Um, my Morning Jacket. <laughs> no, no, but keep naming bands like that. Uh, uh, I'm probably way off. Cab of it. for Cutie. No, but like name Arcade more. Arcade like Fire. That. Nope. Uh, <laughs> That's a great game. Um, uh, Taking Back Sunday. No. Uh, uh, I'm thinking all the bands that my friends liked. Um, think more. Um, Oh God, I can't even go with words. 
Um, it's not the hold steady, but think of something that sounds like that. Um, the it, it almost sounds like a a, a Dr. Seuss type n name, like the Glorious Bandersnatch. Um, Glorious Bandersnatch. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and you think it's from the aughts? Yeah. The. I, I'm trying to think. Um, All right. Um, how about... Uh, The Snow Patrol. No. Um, God, I, I can't. But like big, big musical happenings. Uh, um, uh, Hoobastank. <laughs> no. Um, uh, Evanescence. No, that's a great game. Um, uh, My Bloody Valentine. No. Uh, let's see. My Chemical Romance. No. Paramore. No. Panic at the Disco. No. Fallout Boy. No. Um, Franz Ferdinand. No, I mean I'm trying to just look up different bands and see if other things come up. Okay, how about the 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 the, 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 the Decemberists? No, uh, no, but oh yeah. Not, I feel like they'd be friends with the Decemberists. <laughs> um, friends. Something like the 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 big hoopla. The the uh, the phantasmic. Uh, <laughs> um. The big hoopla, phantasmic. The phantasmic uh, notion, the you sure it's the aughts? Yeah, I'm almost positive it's the aughts. Um, I wish I could think of even one thing they've done. Um. Widespread panic. Um, no. Uh, I wish I could think of it. 
wish I could think of even one thing. But it's the same genre as the Decemberists, you think? No, but it's close enough. Um, here, I want to look up and see. Uh, <sighs> Let's see. Band of Horses. No. Margot and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. No. The Long Winters. The blank, blank. The... Mighty Mighty Boston's. No, the hopeful... The hopeful sandwich. The... The... Oh. <laughs> what? What's the image you see in your head? Just like what it looks like... Oh, they've got a lot of musicians there. Are all they are they all part of the band or some of them audience? Is this a cult? Describe describe any of the details that you can see. I mean, this is why I don't like I would not be good uh describing things to like a police sketch artist. I'm always amazed when you see people in, in things and they're like, the eyes are a little close together. I'm like, I don't know how close anybody's eyes are together. I'm looking at bands with a lot of members. Paste Magazine says Arcade Fire Ozzo Motley Library Voices New Pornographers The Pogues Gogo Bordello Broken Social Scene No Okay Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Polyphonic Spree Polyphonic Spree Hilarious I I almost said Polyphonic Spree but for some reason, I that I googled band with a lot of members, and that's what came up. Now they have a lot of members, right? Yes, and they do look like a cult that's going to drink poison. Yeah, I guess I assumed the. I guess no, you. They were right. formed in two thousand. They're a coral rock band. Yeah, I guess I assumed the polyphonic spree was older than two thousand. But I guess they're more psychedelic pop than alternative. But what did I bring up about them? Why did I even bring them up? Because you're talking about. Uh, uh, that us doing uh, Big Sloppy Naturals is like we're members of the Polyphonic Spree. Yeah, it made sense. That's the closest I feel like to like we're the front men for the Polyphonic Spree. Great. So, listeners, I'm glad you were on this 30-minute ride as we figured out that metaphor. I hope that I bet that was really compelling to listen to. I bet it was infuriating if any of them... Maybe. I bet there are people that were like, Polyphonic Spree, you're talking about the Polyphonic... And you, we are like the... Phantasmic Blast. Yeah. The Hopeful Sandwich. I once did that game with Jeff Falzone. I may have talked about this before. We were on a train ride from... Uh, from We went from Liverpool to London and then back up from... Oh, no. We had two different train rides, two different countries. One, we were played this game on a stalled train on the, from Liverpool to London where we played the game of which Costello songs were friends with each other. But right. then there was another time when we were on a... We were on a bus... 
from like San Francisco to Santa Cruz or something like that. And this was right after Schindler's List and Quiz Show had both come out. So we were like right. real excited about Ray Fiennes as an actor. We were like, this right. guy's amazing. And I had read an article that Ray Fiennes was being, was being considered for the new James Bond. Right. And I was very excited about that because I thought like, man, he would be like a real edgy James Bond. Like get this re- actor who's like played this like... Uh, who's like so uh, kind of raw and would have been really interesting. And Jeff couldn't remember who Rafe Fiennes was, even though we talked about him a bunch. And I'm like, Rafe Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes. And Jeff was like, who is he? Like, where do we know him from? I'm like, Jeff, we've talked about him. We've talked about him. So he's like, he started saying stuff. I'm like, you can guess it. I know you can. You know what it is. Because it, it would be like if you and I were talking and I couldn't think of Jim Henson or something like that. You'd just right. be like, you're so close. I'd be like, I feel like you made puppets. I feel like Jim Henson, like you made puppets. Yeah. And you'd be like, you're close. You're so close. So I was like, I started writing down the things he was saying and the stuff he was remembering was like, he was picturing black and white, like grainy footage. And, uh, he named a bunch of Spielberg movies. He named like ET and close like things that had nothing to do with it. Clearly was his brain going like he was in Schindler's list. He never said Schindler's List, but he named all these like Spielberg adjacent things. Right. And then there were some that I couldn't get. Like at one point he said, The Price is Right. And I'm like, Oh, that doesn't make any sense. And then I was like, Oh, no. Quiz show. He did a show right. about it, a game show. And everything that he said was like you were trying, it was like you were playing a game of taboo. And these were all the things you. Right. Uh, Ways you could describe Ray Fine's career without saying any of those yeah. things. But it is such a weird thing how like. The stuff you say when you're trying to remember the thing that you can't remember is like a weird artist's rendering of like, you think their name sounds like this. Well, I have an issue where I'm really bad at remembering people's names. I'm horrible at it. I was doing this just last night where I was trying to describe, um, uh, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it now. Um, the name of the movie, um, New Batman. Who's new Batman? Uh, um, you want me to say it? Yeah. Ben Affleck. He made a movie where they're making a fake movie. Argo? Yep. Yeah. I couldn't remember the name Argo, so I had to, do, I had to go that route. Yeah. It went that exact route, and again, I couldn't remember it. Because it's, my brain's just like, we're not going to remember Argo. Yeah. And that happens all the time where I'm just like, I have to go like, uh, the guy that wore shoes in that movie. Okay. He was in this other... It's like I have to like take them on a journey. Yeah. Like, I know the path to get to the name, but I don't know the name itself. Yeah. It's such a weird thing the way the brain works. Yeah. I hope they never do any comedy about that topic. It's banned. I we hope... have to stop this forever. Let's stop this forever. You wouldn't make jokes about other... Other things. Other, other bad other things. Other things that go wrong. You would never make a joke about how you are clumsy and bump into things. Yeah. You'd never make a joke about slipping on something. Um... Yeah, I started looking at the top, uh, the top ranked um, comedies on IMDb when I saw that quote. Yeah, just to see which comedies have the highest ranking and to see like how many of them would get knocked out if you could think of a statement to make about any of them to say you would never make a comedy about this. Um, the first, the highest ranked one was Life Is Beautiful, which is the uh, Roberto Benigni Oscar winning Holocaust comedy. 
on IMDb on whatever the thing as far as like the ranking or whatever within the, within the ones that are in the top 250 they consider Life is Beautiful a comedy yeah I guess I've never seen it um, it's not exclusively a comedy but it's got a lot of comedy in it right but that, was, um, that is funny that that's like the most the first it wouldn't be anyone's favorite comedy I don't think right. but um, the uh, my favorite movie is Man with a Movie Camera yeah, they would. N- you'd never make a movie of a band who had something that someone else didn't have. Yeah, yeah. Life is beautiful was the top one, and it was like, okay, well, that's about the Holocaust, so you'd never make a movie about that. This ha- we have to stop this forever. The second one is City Lights, about a homeless guy who falls in love with a blind girl. Yeah, that's two. That's two things you should never make a comedy about. Um, the un- the Intouchables from 2011 is the third. Highest rated IMDb top 250 comedy. I, most of the top 250 is not comedies. This just means that someone put the tag of comedy on the movie. I think so, yeah. I don't think they categorize the movies. I think it's like probably a meta tag. Maybe. So someone's like, there's comedic moments. The fifth is Back to the Future. You would never make a comedy about almost having, se- about almost having sex comedy. with... It's a comedy. It's not a comedy. It's a comedy adventure. It's an action Comedy. Comedy. It's not a comedy, though. Uh, Doctor Strange Love. My favorite comedy movie is Back to the Future. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> it doesn't sound right. Uh, it doesn't sound right. But I would say... The funniest movie of all time is Back to the Future. <laughs> it's weird how that feels like a burn, but it's just... Um, I, know just Blaz- I know Blazing Saddles is on there, too, and then that's another one that would just be like, can't make a movie about that. Yeah, but I can go, the funniest movie of all time is Blazing Saddles. It's like, that's a thing you could believe. Yeah. Uh, Back to the Future is so funny. It oh is my God. funny. Back to the Future is so funny. It's funny. It's not. It's not that funny though. God, I was crying laughing during Back to the Future. There's nothing oh, but jokes. What's in that your movie? favorite? Oh, my favorite joke in Back to the Future. Um, probably something Crispin Glover said. Wait, that movie is a comedy though. Every character in that movie. Does spends the whole movie doing funny stuff. I don't know if it's a comedy. Christopher Lloyd, it's nonstop jokes. Marty McFly, nonstop jokes. I think it's like an action. Con- it's like an action adventure. Oh, you want action? It's a, it's an adventure. My favorite movie. It's an adventure movie. My favorite action movie of all time is Back to the Future. The action scenes are amazing. It defies a lot of the labels when you think about it in a weird way because you would not if someone's like, oh, you like action movies? Oh, dude. You gotta see this one. It's called Back to the Future. Oh. It has a lot of scenes where it's just talking, but when he rides that skateboard behind a truck. Dude, my fa- it's an adventure movie. I think it'd be an adventure. It'd be in the action adventure category at Blockbuster. I think it would go in, in uh, comedy or science fiction. <laughs> my, dude, my favorite <laughs> science fiction movie is Back to the Future. Oh. You wanna talk about great science fiction? Back, Back to, to the, the Future. future. Um, it's probably uh, uh, speaks very highly of that movie that it doesn't make sense in any one category, and yet the pretty best much comedy, everybody loves it. Back to the Future Two on Stranger Tides. Um, the favorite comedy is Back to the Future. Why does it seem so weird? I know there's got to be a lot of people because. 
when people say my favorite movie is Back to the Future or one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future, it does diminish it a little bit when you add one of my... If you say one of my favorite comedies is Back to the Future, that feels fine to me. Uh, it still feels weird. That's, the funniest movie of all time is Back to the Future. But all the jokes hit in that movie. I've never laughed harder than I did in Back to the Future. I busted a gut laughing at Back to the Future. Oh, my favorite comedy character is Marty McFly. Christmas Glover, if someone said their favorite character was Doc, comedy character was Doc Brown. Yes. Or, uh, um, what's... <laughs> you almost said Crispin Glover. What's Crispin Glover's character? George. George McFly. Yeah. I would believe that if someone was like, because that is a truly great comedic performance, Crispin Glover in that. It's the funniest movie. It's so funny. Hunter, it's so funny. It really is funny. Hunter, Back to the Future is the best comedy. I can remember, I can remember the summer that Teen Wolf and Back to the Future came out. I I can remember holding the opinion that Teen Wolf was the better movie. Interesting. And it didn't take long before that opinion fell away. Right. But but it existed. Part of it was because I think when I saw it, there were a lot of jokes that depended on the knowledge of like the fifties. Right. There was a there were a lot of jokes where it would be like. Who's president uh, in 1985? Ronald Reagan. The actor? Yeah. And to me, it would just be like, I don't know. Yeah. Um. <sighs> uh, you know, I, I, I remember thinking this in the 90s when it's like, I remember the beat stuff at school. It'd be like, like, dress like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Dress like you're in the 70s. I dress like I'm in the 60s, like yeah. 50s night. Then in, in the 90s, I remember being like, what would the 90s be? Like... The 90s isn't anything. It's just normal. Yeah. And then now, I bet people do like 90s. I mean, 90s oh, yeah. themed stuff is a thing. Yeah. What's the dress What's the dress thing for 90s, though? Um, culottes. Oh, I guess it's like baggy pants also. Yeah, like any grunge type stuff, maybe. Yeah. Um, what about the 2000s? Um, I imagine that's like people with cool technology that's a little bit too big. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I bet that's, uh, what would it be? Like Abercrombie and I don't know. What would you say is the the? I don't know because I don't. I'm not very fashion aware. You know. I just Google searched aughts fashion. What is it? I just googled that fashion. That the nineties fashion. No, the the aughts. Um, I guess it's like gelled up hair. Yeah. It's a big one. And, man, I don't know.
I don't know. I'm out of my depth here. Oh, Valor. Yeah. Showing your belly button. Um, full velour suit, like sweatsuits. Definitely a big one. I don't know, man. Um, I we started this run of things by saying that you're only in one show at DCM, Terry Withers Mysteries. Yeah, but also in Big Sloppy Naturals. Yeah. Um. The. That probably means just more um, hanging out and having fun, right? If you probably won't to, go to DCM that much. You probably won't go to like the party space. Yeah, I would have to imagine. I don't think so. I'm not a big party guy. I'm not either, but I tend to think that doesn't feel like partying to me so much as like you see people who've been out of town for a while. Yeah, I guess that's true. I. I can't remember last year, or it was last year or the year before, where I went into the, uh, I went to like the, whatever the media hour was, uh, whatever it was, and I think I ran into Zach, and Zach was like, hey, uh, he was like, we were talking, and and he was standing near the red carpet, and they were like, you only get red carpet, and he was like, come with me, I was like, no, no, you go. He said, no, come with me. I'm talking to you. And I got onto the red carpet with Zach, and immediately all of the photographers started yelling and pointing at me to get away, to get away. Uh, and it was it was funny, but it was also like, I was like, I'm lucky that this doesn't, like I did process it like it doesn't hurt my feelings, but I could easily imagine a person to whom, like this is nothing but hurtful to yes. have like, like 50 people all going like, Go away, Step get out, out of the shot. Step out of the way, get out of the way. Zach, Zach. And it was just like the, the, uh, I mean, and then watching how people have to stand in front of those things where they were like, up here, up here, look up here, where they're, you're just like standing there like a bird, yeah. uh, moving your head, just giving everyone a slightly more direct shot. Yeah. That it, when you watch people do it, it looks like they're being punished for something. Yeah. Uh, it's no, it's no bueno. No bueno. Yeah. But I think a lot of those things are the reason why that's why I'm like, also I'm no longer, I don't, I'm not on a house team, the theater. Yeah. So I'm just sort of like, I don't know, DCM isn't necessarily made for me. Right. Or it's not something that's like necessarily like opened its doors wide for me in a way that. Not that it needs that to. That feels welcoming in that sense. Well, that feels like I have to be there. Have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, because there, were, I think maybe like two or three years ago, it was like I had like ten shows, 
Yeah. To you know, last year Terry Withers had a primetime slot, and I had like six other shows at really good times and all that stuff. Yeah. And then now it's like I haven't improvised at all, really. I didn't submit anything. Yeah. Didn't ask any of my friends who we usually do stuff to do that those things or submit anything. Yeah. Just sort of like if someone submitted me for any of the shows that I normally do. So that's why I'm like, and I'm fine with it. Cause also I don't, you know, I don't you need to be up until 5 a.m. Yeah. You also had a pretty busy year. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm just like not. That it's, it's, I would imagine it's hard for you to fantasize about a weekend where you are going nonstop. Because no, I fantasize about. No, I love the Gethard show, but I fantasize about it being over so that I can just have a, sleep in. Yeah. Go for a walk outside. Yeah. Have lunch. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. That's a. It's a weird thing, but like, so I have this like when I think about my life right now at the moment. I can't really think that much past July. I don't really have a roadmap past July. Yeah. Um, now I have so far, like since December, uh, since December, I've done, uh, two movies, little parts of movies, two episodes, a little part on a TV show, getting ready to do another TV show. And so it's been pretty good in terms of like, like I'd be able to get by if things just continued at the current sort right. of thing. And where like a thing pops up and it, that becomes your thing for a few weeks. Right. Um, and so it's been an interesting rhythm to the, to the year so far. Um, And in addition to that, I feel like it's also been a, an interesting year. Like I feel like every time, every time there's been like either people, either people moving to LA, like UCB people moving to LA, or the other thing being the spate of uh, people having babies, particularly in like the past few weeks. Like Gavin yeah. had a baby, Sylvia on the stepfather's had a baby. Um, there's people, you know, Kevin Hines is about to have a baby. Like, there's a whole Karen Hammerberg. Yeah, had, yeah, Karen had her baby. Like within the same um, span of time, that it starts to feel like. I mean, it may be, it may full well be that those are people who then are doing less yeah. UCB improv stuff because now they have this other thing that's way bigger, and suddenly it might. I mean, could also be that it remains their thing, like. Oh, this is a fun outlet that, and is a break away from like yeah. constant feed and care of young new human animal. Yeah, but it also is a thing that starts to feel a little bit like oh, it's that's potentially the same as like someone moving away in some ways, depending on how they're. Well, it's like it's a thing that's not going to change. Yeah, it's not like oh, that show will be over, then we'll be back. It's like no, they're that's their life. That's the thing. That's the thing now. Oh boy. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's real weird. I'm looking forward to this year, though. I'm optimistic about this year. I've had a tough, I had a tough beginning to the year. Very much so. So every year I do, 
on my birthday, which is like, you know, January 19th, yeah. of January or middle of January. I post this image on my birthday that's like I make a new weird like spiritual headdress for myself mm -hmm. and then post this image that is like uh, pseudo-religious text um, foretelling what the future will hold for mm. me that year. And like... Yeah, I've seen this. Last year it was like, you know, we'll bound into battle together and blah, blah, blah. And this year, for whatever reason... Or did I do it on my birthday? Yeah, I did it on my birthday, I guess. Yeah, this year of mine was like, there are great hardships. This year will be full of great hardships, and I will only get through it with your help. And it was like, it came from that. And I, th I don't know why I wrote that like that. Yeah. But then it sort of <laughs> ended up being true. Yeah. Where it's like, this, the spirit of this year has been like, a lot of things getting in Health the way. Health things and... Yeah. Yeah. And it has been like, all right, I need to get through this stuff and I need to like deal with, you know what I mean? Yeah. In a way that's been interesting. So I'm looking forward to this year, but it hasn't felt like my year has been able to like start, start. I still feel like I'm playing catch up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would ever like being as busy as you are. I'm not that busy though. Even still, I do the Gethard show right now, and that's busy. You don't have a day off ever. No, I don't. That's busy. Yes. Um, and even, even I feel like on days when you maybe have a couple things, I feel like, I feel like you've always got a lot going on. Maybe, I try not to do much else. I stopped performing entirely when the Gethard show began. I just said, it was a bummer because um, I started doing the mime, that mime thing yeah. around town. I did some really cool shows. I heard about a couple of them, I think. And then uh, there's a really cool person who's sort of a manager in the comedy world. Not my manager, but she just b manages for an agency and books things. She emailed like every show in the city and was like, you have to book JD to do this thing. And I got all these offers from really cool stand-up shows that were like, Hey, we hear you're great. Come do it. And then when Gethard just had to start, I was just like, I can't. I'm sorry because I'm not good at. I'm not good at multitasking. Well, also I'm good at single tasking and really pulling through on that singular task. Also, it's not like you can like. Gethard could go from here to go to a Santa place dressed as is. Whereas you have to put on full mime makeup. It's not easy to get out of or into. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why I bought this bag. For mime stuff? Yes, yeah, so that I had. This is supposed to be all for my makeup. Yeah. Because it was getting hard to get. You'll be able off. to start in a few weeks. You'll be able to recontact those shows, right? Yeah. But it was just the kind of thing where I'm like, you know, and there's a lot of people that work on the show who go do shows after work. And yeah. Gethard would perform. during, And it was just like. I can't. I think because of my responsibility for the show to make sure it's always things are going well. Yeah. I'm just like, that takes up all my energy when I'm not doing that. Yeah. I've now started, I know, like I plan what I eat for dinner Yeah. every night pretty much. Like each week. Do you like that? The day of the week is the same. Do you like that? I do because I don't, it doesn't, it means I don't have to think about it. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm I, I, I plan ahead. That's why I do a big grocery shop every week where I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Well, I, don't, I don't have time to cook. Yeah. So for me, I'm just like, I know I get Chinese food on Friday nights because that means that Saturdays I can have the leftovers for lunch. Uh-huh. And then, like, I know each day what it's going to be. Like, tomorrow I go to this one sandwich place, I get the same sandwich. And while they're making the sandwich, I walk up to this bakery and I get a donut. And by the time I get back to the sandwich place, my sandwich is done. Then I go have that sandwich and I'll watch, like, golf. Yeah. Because I find it relaxing. And that's my Sunday. Um, but now I'm like, today threw me off because now we're doing this. Yeah. And then tomorrow. You weren't going to have that on me? No, but it's good that I did. Well, because I didn't get Chinese last night because well, instead. Everything's wrong. I know. Well, that's why this weekend's been strange because yesterday I went to see Hannah and her sisters with a bunch of people. Yeah. I went to dinner with them. So it was just like. And then tomorrow I was like, all right, I can just spend all day doing my thing. And then yeah. Tammy, which is be fun, was like, come. We'll talk about pens. And I was like, great. But now that's another thing that I wasn't anticipating. Yeah. But that's like, that's like two hours of my time. Yeah. But still, I'm like, that's too many things. I have too many things. Yeah. I've been uh, trying to write, though, while a Gethard show happens. Your movie? Yeah. Good. I, I relate a little bit to your mime thing in the sense that, like, I had like some shows every now and then will ask me to come do Lucas, come be Lucas on the show. Right. And I agreed to do one this past Wednesday cause it was, uh, Dom and, uh, Brian Foss were doing the show and it was star Wars day. So I thought I'll do it. And I'll, I was doing Sabonis earlier in the evening. And then there were a couple of shows that I knew I wanted yeah. to see in between this one. Like, I'll just make an evening. I'll just stay there, bring my Lucas stuff. And then I was getting ready to do, but normally I don't do it because I don't want to have to use a bottle of spray Right. spray my hair and then go home and wash out of it and everything. And so, but I was doing it, I'm in like the back hallway, like spraying and like using my phone as a mirror because I didn't want to like, it was all crowded in the green room. And I didn't yeah. want to make it unbreathable for everybody. And then when I went out into the show and everyone's wearing wigs, everyone's got like dopey wigs on. I'm like, man, why do I like, why do I insist on spraying my hair white every month when I do this? Why don't I just like get like a gray wig or something like that? But there was that thing about like, I think it'd feel different. I think there's, Something about like, yeah, I've got, I'm Lucas. I have gray sprayed beard. I have gray hair. There is something about it feels like, yeah, I've got to commit to the thing. Yeah. I, the, I did the White Sinax show a couple months ago. Yeah. I think that was the one I heard about maybe. Night Train, which is like a pretty big show at yeah. Field, you know, and it's like always a crazy bill. Yeah. So the bill was like Wyatt, obviously, Michael Che, Sashir Zamata. Zamata. Now I know how to say her name because of SNL. I always say Zamata because that's closer to my last name. Yeah. Um, J.D. Zamata. Yeah. Michael Che, White Snack, Sashir, Dan St. Germain, Marcus Monroe, and me. Like, of those names, like, those are all pretty big hitters. Yeah. And then I came and it was funny because they're all just, we're all hanging out in the green room and the show starts up and then I get to the mirror and I start putting on makeup. And I have all these like chains and all this stuff. And like Michael Chase, like, what is all this stuff? <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's for his bit. It's super funny and blah, blah, blah. And I just like, I, I feel ashamed where I have to be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not funny enough where I can't just show up like you guys in like whatever your clothes you're wearing and like capture the audience, which is like, you know, it's not really the truth. That's not, I don't, yeah. I don't believe that. No. But it's like embarrassing that it's like, we're probably going to have the same a similar impact on the audience. Yeah. But I have to literally like 
paint my face, put on a costume, spend an hour before the show planting all these props everywhere, making sure that, like, I can attach my, you know what I mean, all these things, and then I have to lug this stuff from Queens to Brooklyn and back, and it's all heavy because it's just raw chain, and then you can just show up and literally just, like, make the audience Riff, go nuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel that sometimes, too. When I'm lugging my suitcase full of Lucas stuff over uh, from Chelsea over to the theater, I feel 50% uh, good about it and 50% dumb about it. Like, there's right. a part of me that's like, I could probably do the show and just sit at a table and not bring my, like, full-size R2-D2 phone, just have it sitting at the desk because I feel like it looks right. Right. Uh, there's all these, like, ritualistic parts of it, like, the same Radio Land murders that keeps getting more and more destroyed each, each month to hang on the wall. Like, I do this thing where I take a bird whistle. Yeah. Which is, I think I have one here. Do you want to hear, Let's hear it. Hear what a bird whistle sounds like? Yeah. Do I have it here? Oh, I might not have it. Oh, yeah, here's. So I use these bird whistles. My character, Trouble the Mime, yeah. always has a bird whistle in case someone asks me to talk. Yeah. And I can just make this bird sound. But no one ever asks me to talk. So I just always have this in my mouth. And it takes like a while to get it warmed up and get it working. But I just always do this and no one knows. Yeah. It, it never pays off. Yeah. But I just do it every time. Yeah. That's why you... What's interesting is it changes the shape of your face a little bit. No. <laughs> I always just thought you were making a very specific face... When you do that character, okay, I have a bird whistle in my mouth. <laughs> um, hey, mom, I want you to talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Say something funny. It's not broken, is it? No. Hey, mom. Not yet. Say something to my friend. It takes like a couple minutes. Wow. Eddie is uh, concentrating. He's focusing feverishly. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. That's uh, worth it. Here's the thing. Um, Eventually, someone will ask you, especially if you do a bunch of shows. Eventually, you do a bunch of shows in a row. Yeah. It will hit. And the thing is, like... Like, hey, man. Like... Surreal. Surreal. It would be genuinely surreal to have... Especially with the face you're making. I honestly didn't know there was such a thing as that where you like hide a bird whistle in your mouth. Where do you get those? Uh, secret places. Okay. No, it's actually for like bird people. Yeah. Um, it's called a. Uh, uh, what do I call it? It's a. Fuck, they have a name. It's like the Texas Warbler or something. Yeah. I mean, this was to a certain extent. This impulse. This, 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 this impulse. This 
impulse. 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 This impulse. impulse to have a joke like that, that is there, even though it may not be needed, it may never even come up, to me is that thing I was talking about with in the Tony Hale interview, where I was talking about the way Arrested Development made me feel as an audience member, where I felt this show cares. Like, this show is taking care of me in ways that I'm not even aware of. Well, what I stole this from was, in the magic world, you always build outs for yourself. Yeah. And in the sideshow world as well. Because, ostensibly, you're doing this... Anytime you're doing one act, yeah. dozens and dozens of times, you can't... You have to assume that something... Might go wrong. ...different will go wrong each time. Yeah. And you always have to have backup. So, like... I treat this sort of like a sideshow act, this character, where yeah. I have a dozen outs for all the things that can go wrong. Like, if someone doesn't... Like, in each of my pockets... Yeah. So I have a couple of notes that come out of my pockets, but I also have in my other pockets, I have about, like... I have something like 12 pieces of paper so that, like, if someone misses one of the notes, I have a note that addresses that. Or if, yeah. like, people aren't doing the thing, I have a note that addresses that. So it's like... I have all these rip cords for if something isn't going correctly yeah. that I can address it. And that's one of them where it's like if I'm ever forced to speak or someone's making me speak and it's like mm-hmm. I can just go to that. Yeah. I mean Or if someone's not paying attention, the yeah. audience is too loud, I can be like <laughs> I don't have it in my mouth anymore. Yeah. But I can whistle at them and get their attention back. Yeah. Or I can get mad at them and it plays funnier than if I was silent. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, the, like, having, it's interesting to think of them in terms of as outs, because that also makes me think of, uh, I feel like I'm always doing similar things in terms of comedy. Like, it's a different thing, obviously, getting out of that as opposed to doing an illusion or something like that. But knowing that you have a backup for, like, if this doesn't work. Like, I always think of when I do George Lucas' talk show that the one basic out that's built into the show is that George Lucas would not be a good talk show host. So I can either it's, – it's either good because I'm making it good or yeah. when things go wrong, I can always steer right. into that skid and be like, this is bad because I'm a billionaire filmmaker who has no aptitude. There's no yeah. world in which he would be the host of a show, right. any show. Um, so it is always kind of like, well, this can go either way. And if they don't, if the guest doesn't like it for whatever reason, I can go another way. Right. The, and I feel like it's the same way in improv scenes where I'm always looking for like, there's, there's at least two exits to the scene sort of like, right. uh, how you do it. What I like about that whistle thing and the fact that no one's caught on to it yet is that to me, the way you prepare for stuff where there's a joke that Maybe a hidden secret that never pays off. Maybe no one will ever ask Trouble the Mind to talk. Yeah. But to me, it's worth it to sometimes have something there in case. And maybe it never goes off. Maybe that, maybe that particular thing never happens. But boy, if it does, won't that be satisfying? Yeah, and it's, I've had to use it a couple times. And it's, honestly, what it's most useful for is... Um, Right before I go out, yeah. or getting attention right after. No, is if someone's like, 
and because I usually have to be like right near the audience before I go out, and if someone's yeah. like, "What the fuck is your deal?" and I can be like, whistle right in whistle their face around. and make a big, and they're like, "What the fuck?" and then it feels like this weird, bizarre moment. I had, I think, for the first year that I was doing George Lucas, whenever the guests would come out, I would always say to the when I shake their hands, I always say. This part's fake. It's just, it doesn't matter what we say here. It's fake conversation. It's fake talk. And I would say that to every guest who came out. I'd shake their hand and tell them, this part of the show doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we say. It's just fake talk. It's part of doing a talk show. Because, and, like, because there's always those little moments where right. you have, like, but to you, this is, that is your way of also letting the celebrity guest know that you are in the character of George, who is someone who right. is very self aware, but not aware of the tropes of, being right. a television host. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and it's such a socially awkward thing to do to say. Yeah. Rather than have small talk to just say, this part doesn't matter. It's not. Yeah. It's like, we won't see this part. They won't hear it. Yeah. And every now and then, maybe someone in the front row might have picked up that we were doing it. But it was usually like a private joke between me and a guest. Yeah. And I think I'd done the show for a solid year. And Arthur Meyer, when he was a guest on the show, he was the first person to actively, like... He sat down. The first thing he said was, "He goes, George Lucas just said," <laughs> and he and it was so fun because I kind of been. I thought someone would do that in the first show. Yeah, I kind of thought someone would be like George, just like call me out on it, but no one did. And it was so fun when Arthur Meyer just did it, and he was like, and it was, I was like, yeah, I've been doing. It. That's what I do every time. Yeah, and it's it's funny. It is that kind of thing where. Uh, if you build those little secrets, you have those little jokes. That's what I liked about Arrested Development. It's what's like, a lot of my favorite things are like, they put things here and maybe you'll never find this joke. Maybe you'll never, maybe this thing will never happen, but we put so much thought and care into it that uh, there are like hidden sort of multitudes to any. Oh, get the show this season. I've been making sure tons of that is happening. There's so many things hidden in this season of the Gethler show that people do not realize. That... Yeah. Like, for example, the conspiracy episode. Yeah. There's, like, you could play a game with what we hid in that episode. Interesting. There's one particular moment that you would love that I think most people will not be sure what's happening. In what way? Something happens, and I'm sure people don't even know what's happening. And it's a really cool joke. And how is this joke? How are you in? In what way are you implanting a joke like this? Oh, are you going to type multiple ways? Me? Multiple ways. Here, I can tell you. I can tell you one of them, which I think you'll appreciate. Yeah, um, it's going to take me a second to. But is it the type of thing? I'll just ask while you're typing. Is it the type of thing that you put it in in the edit, or you put it? In, you build it into the organic nature Both. of the show. Both. Both. Ooh, I like that. Um. Um. Is this the type of thing that? Oh, I covered my mic. Um, is this the type of thing that a white hat hacker would be able to uncover in the raw feed? No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, hello to all the white hat hackers who listen to 12 Hour Day. I'm so tired that I think this episode, weirdly, might be the episode in which I've had the least awareness that we're recording. Really? I literally, I just put on a top. I just, because I was a little cold, and it didn't even occur to me that I had a microphone on. Uh, um, 
Um, here. That's one. Right, That's one see. example. It's great. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, be on a lookout for some fun secrets fans. Try and find them. They're everywhere. I wonder if the people who actively started looking for things like the thing you just revealed to me secretly off mic, I wonder if people really started digging in looking for things like that, how many things they would find or think they've found that aren't there? A bunch. Because I, I did that once as there was an episode where I was like, hey, there was a bunch of Easter eggs hidden in this episode. Yeah. And yeah, I saw that you said that was like the first one of the season, right? No, I think it might have been two, two? or three. Yeah. And then people, people started, finding stuff. started finding stuff. And some of it was stuff that was like half planned or small little things. But I don't know. It was, uh, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. <sighs> what, Connor? I don't know. Um, just sleepy, you know? How much do you weigh, Connor? How much do I weigh? Probably 200. I think I fluctuate between 190 and 210. What's the most you've ever weighed? Probably like 215. What's the least you've ever weighed in adulthood? Um, probably 185. Okay. I'd like to get down to that again. Uh, 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 uh. My doctor prescribed me to gain weight. Yeah? Yeah. What are you doing about it? Is that what that big egg full of jelly beans is for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I just, I eat three meals a day now, which I wasn't doing before. Three square meals. Not totally square, but three. Three hops and a cot. Exactly. And I'm just making sure, yeah. I sort of... I bought a scale to gain weight. I just stepped on the scale. Do you have you gained any? I have, a bunch. Congrats. Thank you. You look good. I don't think you look skinny but you don't look like you've gained a ton of weight but you look good yeah did you see did you see me in February at all uh yeah I did not look good in February um can you check I, your transmitter check my transmitter yeah, yeah. I I think might be fine. lately I think I've been trying to what am I looking for battery yeah, or maybe is it in the same pocket as your phone or something? No, my phone's over there. Oh, then don't worry There's about it. There's an iPod, but it's off. Don't worry about it. It's um, all fine. The, uh, I think I, for the way I'm eating at the moment, I'm trying to do like, like how uh, actors will do like one for me, one for them. Wait, they will? No, it'd be like, you'll hear that thing where they'll like, an actor will do one project that's like, this is the oh, kind yes. we're going to make, and then they'll do one that's like a superhero movie. Right. Try and do that with meals. Where it's like right. a meal that I want, a meal that I need. A meal that you want, a meal that they want. Yeah, one for me, one for them. Them, I just consider like yeah. healthy vegetables. That's hilarious. Um, 
do those lights help you? Do you like having those lights on? No. Do you want to turn them on? Yeah, okay. I like to. I don't mind if we get, if it gets dark in here. Okay. I feel like that. Na- then I prefer that natural glow. Yeah. To that, especially it's a little jittery. Yeah, I was hoping they were going to be like warm incandescent lights. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, it's a. This is a nice room to be in. Um, this is good room. Mikey Yerg's been writing music in here. Oh really? Yeah. I've been writing. You know. I know you think my emails are insane. You've said it before. You think when I write emails, you've said they're insane. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Is that I feel like I've I've put in my 10,000 hours on email writing yeah. and learned what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And I feel like I used to write emails like you. Yeah. Where you try to cover every base in the email. Yeah. And people did not respond to them. No one responds to my emails ever. And when I send emails like that where it's like, here's everything. Yeah. Don't people don't respond back? Yeah. So I learned you got to parse it out, keep it simple and short. Treat them like texts. And so, yeah, or just. But what if it's emails where people where you need to establish who you are to someone? It's got to be super short then. Because it's the thing is that if you send these super long emails that are like here's every possible scenario, and people don't know what to answer back because they assume maybe the thing that they're going to answer back has been addressed or what you know what I mean? It's like Ugh. it's too long. You gotta write. You gotta write a script with them. Is what you're doing. Lines, dialogues, and it's improv. Imagine that. Think of an email you write as an initiation. Well, now it makes sense. Now I know how to do it exactly. You know what I mean? What's this, Dad? <laughs> that's 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 the most Connor Ratliff initiation. Also, what's this, Dad? You're basically just saying, I'm not gonna give you anything other than the fact that you're my father. And then yeah. I need you to answer. And there's something. And there's something that I don't understand. Yeah, but I don't mind if the second line to that is, you asked for it. Got you. Is this not the one you wanted? And I'm like, all right, I'll name it. <laughs> this frog's dead. <laughs> Comedy. Yeah, but your email should be initiations. All right. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't be, hey. Here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's a bunch of things, here's a question, here's another explanation. If this is the answer to your thing, here's can, the thing. Can I tell you an improv initiation I'm peculiarly proud of? I feel like I might have heard this before, but go for it. Really? What? You think I told you? Yeah. Happened in the past few weeks. Have I talked oh, to never you? mind. It, uh, the suggestion, Stepfather Show, the suggestion was Tomahawk. So immediately I, my mind sort of goes towards, anytime I feel like, uh, uh, there's words that maybe go towards uh, problematic scenes. Yeah. Anything where I'm like, oh, that's going to bring to mind Native American type stuff. Yeah. Um, I immediately start like exploring. What are our options? What are our options? What's fun about this? Where are right. we going? I immediately start trying to like block off. Uh, yeah. What would have been? What would a, a white male comedian in 1960 have done? Let's eliminate those options. Yeah. Uh, those are all no good no more. Yeah. Um, and so I did uh this isn't the one I'm proud of, but I, I, I did say it, which is I started saying, I'm like, uh, I said, so uh, what's this, some kind of helicopter store? And uh, that's not great, but it's fine. It's serviceable because yeah. <laughs> the character doesn't know what it is. Right. It was, I was imagining it was an airfield or an airstrip. Right. Um, that scene happened. Another scene happened. Another scene happened. And then I had this. I had this notion in my mind, and I'm like, well, if no one goes near this, I'm going to do this for the group game. I know what I'm going to initiate with. And my initiation was, uh, and this is Thomas, 
who is, of course, a bird of prey. And uh, I was very proud of that as an initiation for Tom, a hawk. And, uh, of course, the scene, quite predictably, as in I should have known better, the the scene became, uh, I think Shannon for the second line was like, his name's Thomas, and he, oh, okay, did you name this bird? Are you proud of yourself? And so yeah. the whole scene became about, yes, actually I am. And then lo- like lots of lines like, we noticed no ring. How are you still single? And it was all these people being yeah. so impressed with someone who would come with so such, and then pimping me into having to name other right. clever birds in the aviary. Right. Um, but, uh, so emails, emails though, um, I... I've been trying to get, I've been trying to get, and it's just a whim. It's just a, Mikey and I have been talking about trying to convince, find a record label that we can convince to put out the Spirit of Ratliff holiday EP on vinyl in a limited run. Kind of, I think that might be dead. Why? Time. For what? Time has gone by. What do you mean time has gone by? I just don't, is there demand? Maybe. Well, holiday things are evergreen. <laughs> I just think, did you reach... The, was there demand when it was available? We sold We sold some, yeah. How much did you sell? You don't have to give me a number. Good amount. But enough that you could convince a record label. Well, here's the that thing. That would be worth their... The... They have... They put out all kinds of weird shit for Record Story Day Black Friday. Right. And I feel like... So you want to create a discount album. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not a discount album. It's a premium it's like, album. It's a limited edition. It's like writing, writing a comic to be in the 99 cent bin. No, Record Store Days are not. Those are exclusives that usually... Sure. And... I think weirder and more obscure stuff than that. I've seen weirder and more obscure stuff than that come out on Record Store Day. So yeah. I'm like, what's this? What's this? Here's the thing. Here's, yeah. what, here's what can make that happen. What? If you become like a big celebrity. Yeah. Then any of that can happen. Yeah. I think that's just the recipe to all the success of all your creative dreams is like you become a big celeb. Yeah. Well, oh, it's worth the, tr- worth the shot. I bet. I mean, I'm, I, I think it can happen. I just think it's funny that it's like, it's May, and you're trying to convince records, like, uh, wait, what do you call them? Labels. Record labels. Yeah. You're trying to convince record labels to well, we had an print offer. vinyls of a... We had an offer from uh, a record label in Brooklyn to put it out last December. We got approached... But didn't get rescinded? No, it didn't get rescinded. What, what happened was the machine... the 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 pressing plant that was going to put it out on cassette. Right. Uh, there was one that couldn't do it in time, and the one that could do it in time, their machine broke, and it was going to put them a few days behind, which meant they couldn't do it in time. Right. Um, so we already had one label who okay. was actively, and that was the label that put out Macaulay Culkin's pizza right. record. So I, it's more just about finding a weird small label that would be willing to put out a small thing that... Because I think we're going to try to uh, do some more shows, Mikey and I, in December uh, uh, this year, and try to get 
we're going to try to keep pushing that special as a thing that like is a Christmas thing. Yeah. As a weirdo Christmas thing to watch. Um, I feel like the weird thing to me is how no one responds to things even at the level of like, no thanks for things. Like I can kind of understand record labels not responding because it's like, oh, it's this unsolicited thing. But particularly in some cases where it's like, you know a person who's like passed on word and said like, hey, yeah. here's this thing. Uh, or like I did that I did that show where I was trying to contact all the presidential campaigns to Right. And that one was really weird to me because I even had campaigns like the Green Party reached out to me and they were like, hey, we see you doing this show and you're trying to like contact us. And then I did and their email bounced back as an invalid email. And they're like, oh, try this other one. And then no response. And I'm like, well, you, I didn't even contact you. You contacted me. Right. It's so weird that there's like, because that's even different than like a personal email where you're like, oh, I understand why people are busy and you just don't have time to answer all your emails. Right. But when with business things, I'm always, it always seems like, I know that, there's so many people in so many businesses who their job is just like answering right. these things because there's so many people who work for it. And like part of it is we've got to respond to all of our emails. Right. Like I would think the baseline would be like when I emailed M&Ms and I was like, hey, do you have anyone for my midnight comedy show? And I got an email back pretty quick. that was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, that's like. There's always, particularly places that have like big corporate structures, like everybody there is constantly looking for right. ways to justify like, I do work here. I'm useful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think also legally too, sometimes it's just easier to not respond. Yeah. It leaves you less culpable. You got to find a killer for um, May 20th. If you have any lines on anybody. Yeah. I'll try to push hard for someone. Yeah, uh, I'm not. Big. I'm. I'm not hearing back at the moment from the person I've been trying. Um, but I think I know why. Um, both just being busy and other things. Yeah. Yeah. Try doing emails more like initiations and see what happens. I think it'll go better for you. It always feels rude to me. No, I mean, don't be rude in your... Don't initiate no, I mean, like, being... I don't mean I'll be like, hey, idiot. I mean, like, it feels rude to not explain yourself. You can be like, hey, this is Connor Ratliff. I know you from Email this. me back if you want to find out more. <laughs> no. You can be like, hey, this is Connor Ratliff. I know you from blank. I was emailing you to see if blank... And here's why. No. Point one. Goodbye. Goodbye, bye. And then they might be like, no, I don't think you're going to be like, well, actually, point one and point two. And they'll go, Point two will be in the next email. It could be. Uh, And each time I'll, should I tease the the next email you'll get if you don't answer this one? If you don't answer this email. I'm just going to keep sending more. (laughs) That sounds like a threat more than a healthy email communication. It's a healthy threat. 
Wugga, wugga, wugga. Did you enjoy Hannah and Her Sisters last night? I did. I'd never seen it before. You've never seen it before? No. I love that movie so much. It's good. The structure of that movie is great. Although, here's an issue with it. Yeah. It's one movie. Yeah. And then Woody Allen writes himself into it. And then it be- ends on his movie. Mm. No, because his movie's tied to... It starts 20 minutes in. His story starts 20 minutes in? And then we don't wrap up the other story. Which one? The one with My- Michael Caine. No, we did wrap up that story. That's actually... It doesn't really get wrapped up. And then it gets wrapped up, and then it cuts to Woody Allen's story getting wrapped up as the final moment. Yeah. Well, you agree with Woody Allen then, because Woody Allen hates that ending and doesn't like that movie. Oh, interesting. He thinks he sold out by giving it a happy ending with uh, her being pregnant. See, I think of that not as ending on his story as much as ending on her story. Diane Weiss? Yeah. Um, the thing I like about that movie, I think the Michael Caine story is wrapped up. The thing I like about that, have you seen Crimes and Misdemeanors? Mm-hmm. I feel like those movies are like conjoined twins. Sure. Like. The shape of them, the the look of them, the, the they're both like novelistic. Like they feel like they yeah. they follow a lot of different stories that are interwoven and tie together in a couple different ways. I think both movies come to the same cold conclusion. I think people it's more noticeable in Crimes and Misdemeanors that spoilers to anyone listening who hasn't seen these movies. Skip forward ten minutes. Uh Crimes and Misdemeanors, you have a movie about a guy who has his mistress killed because she's inconvenient. He feels bad about it, and then he doesn't. And he gives this speech at the end where he's basically like, you have Woody Allen plays a good guy who basically gets shit on at the end. He loses to the big successful guy that he thinks is a joke at the beginning. Like Alan Alda's character like wins and Woody Allen loses. Martin Landau has his mistress killed and ends the movie... And he's like, one day I woke up and I felt fine. And I no longer, the guilt was gone and my life is good and my problem was solved. And you see that he's like paid no price for it. The Michael Caine story in Hannah and Her Sisters basically ends the same way, which is that like this guy cheated on his wife with her sister and there's no consequence. Like she will never know. The sister will probably never tell, and he's got, he got everything back that he wanted. Have you ever cheated on someone? No. You had to think for a moment. Um, I had uh, a relationship where the, the one ended basically, and then, but it, what, there wasn't full closure on it, but it had ended, and right. then another relationship began. Where it felt murky enough that, like, I wouldn't have felt comfortable uh, saying, "Right, I'm dating someone else now." Was this recent? No, this is years ago. Okay. Yeah. Have you? No. I think I've been. I recently, I've started going to therapy again. My therapist pointed out. She's like, you know, you're allowed to like, go on dates with different people at the same time, like in the same. Mm-hmm. Event of time. She's like, you know, you can go out on dates, multiple dates with people. Yeah. That's okay. Not that you can sleep with people or, you know, like, but like, 
I never really understood that. And so like any time that I'd like go out on a date and then a week later go on a date with someone else, I'd feel yeah. so much guilt. Yeah. Because I'd feel like, oh, this person doesn't know and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I think that's also because when I go on first dates, I also try very hard to like empathize and be like, let's see if we can, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I pour a lot more into first dates of like, let me just throw myself over to this and see what, how it feels. Yeah. Maybe more than I should. Yeah. But so, no, I would ne- I don't think I've ever done anything cheating. I think the closest would be something like what you said, where it's like one thing ended or one thing was in a murky place and then I've yeah. gone out with someone else. Where it definitely feels like the, the situation feels like, oh, if I ran into this person, it would feel. It wouldn't feel good for them. Yeah, it would feel awkward. But I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I would be a quote unquote villain. Like, I don't think. But, so some like, of the, but some of that might depend on point of view. Totally. That, that if someone did decide you are a villain, then you would be in that context. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I've done that that much, though, cause I, because of my guilt, mm-hmm. my dating guilt. Dating guilt. Um, but that's what I felt about the ending of that plot line, which was just like, holy shit, like, he made this movie about, it's like a fatal attraction type plot, but normally those types of plot lines go to a place where it ends with, like, comeuppance or, like, the classic sort of fatal attraction storyline ends with, like, dead bunnies and a violent fight and stuff like that, as opposed to just, like, it's another Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, Barbara Hershey's character is with someone else now and she's happy now and it's all like a beautiful dream it's all just it's also amazing to me Michael Caine is so good in that movie and it's such like such a good use of him in that it's both a comical plot line like there's an element of like the part where he's like running around the streets I love those shots where he's like trying to run into her and so he's like running up like street after street so he can like come around the corner and uh, yeah actors are so good in that movie like that scene that's the, the scene where all the sisters where the camera's like going around the table and you know that each character knows a different element of what's going on and we know all of it uh, I really like that I really like the part where it's Carrie Fisher and Diane Weiss and they're trying to negotiate who Sam Watterson's going to drop off first yeah and it's that like very awkward, clumsy, like Diane Weiss is trying so hard to make it. So it's like, oh yeah, but like you could go and they're like, oh, well it's probably faster the other way. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. It's just like, so, so well observed. And also I have a real fondness for how New York looks in that movie. I think that's like, I think I've talked before about how much I, when I moved to New York, there was the tower records right. that was by Lincoln center that I was always like, that's the tower records from the end of Hannah and her sisters where he walks by and it's, and even at that time it was like, it's a record shop. Yeah. She's looking through vinyl. And by the time I was in New York, that was a CD shop. But I was like, this is the one, this is from the end of this, that that was to me, that was as big a landmark as there was in New York city is like, Oh, like an important scene in one of my favorite movies happens in this store that I can just go into. In that scene, they'd gone on an awful first date and yeah. then he gets back together with her. Have yeah. Have you ever gone out with someone? Or disliked someone and then later dated them or later become close to someone that you really actively did not get along with to be in. 
mm, I've been friends with people where I actively dislike them at the beginning. Like I've had friendships where I was like, sure, I wasn't gonna like sure that this was someone who annoyed me, right? And then eventually we became friends. I don't think there's ever been a, a dating situation like that. Um, I don't think so. Um, has have you had that? I think almost every one of my friends. I don't. I don't think I trust people to begin with. When I first meet people, I'm always like, yeah, I don't trust you. Did you feel that way about me when you met me? No, because the first way I met you, I told was like through like, oh, this guy's really great at improv, so I only knew you as this uh, great skills. improviser first. Skills-based meeting. Yeah, but there were so many people that I was like, I, this, I hate this person. This person is an enemy. Uh-huh. And then they became my best friends. That's a funny pattern. I think it's also I give off a certain amount of intensity yeah. That I think people are just can be a little on edge around me or be not sure of me. Yeah. But then I read their unsuredness as like aggression. Yeah. I can see that. Um, did you laugh watching the movie last night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you consider it a comedy? Mm, maybe. But if someone said that's the funniest film I've ever seen, you'd be like. I could believe that more. Because um, I think what's funny about the Back to the Future thing is the most notable thing about Back to the Future is not its comedy. Yeah. Whereas Hand and Sister, that is probably still its most notable thing. Uh, one of my favorite tricks in that movie, and it's such a graceful trick, is the part where the doctor comes in and reads him the diagnosis and it's bad, and it just cuts to him and it's just like, God, it's over. You're done, you're dying. And it's just the simple thing of like the cut to is that close up, and then it, the doctor walks in and says, "Yeah, you're fine." Yeah, it's because it's just a matter of deceptive cutting, but it plays to me almost like a special effect. Right. That it's like, wait, but we already saw the doctor walk in. I really like that. Is there a name yeah. for that? No, not really. I don't think so. Because it also felt like. I get real tired of the use of dream sequences in things, I think. I feel like over the course of the past 20 years, the idea of a dream sequence has lost a lot of the impact for me. Yeah. I think just because it's like so overdone to the point where it's been over spoofed even. you know. Do you have recurring dreams in your life? I don't think I have recurring dreams, no. Do you have any dreams that you remember? Yeah. Yeah. You said that as if there's dreams that weigh heavily, heavily on you. I mean, there's vivid dreams. Uh, sometimes I'll only remember like snatches of them, but usually the two most vivid kind of dreams that I have are what? What? You said sometimes I'll remember snatches of them, which, like, oh, as if I were as if you would remember the whole dream from start to finish. No, as if. You know, snatch it can be a derogatory term for a woman's vagina. Oh, right. Um, not necessarily derogatory. It's just uh, colloquial. A colloquial term? Yeah. But I just like the idea that it was, you have these dreams. I just dream, I just remember. All you can remember is, is the snatches. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, um. Nah, if I, remember, I remember a good tale when I see it. The, uh, I 
the two kinds of things I'll remember from dreams are um, really uh, intense, like negative emotion, kind of like someone's really mad at me in a in a dream. Right. I'll remember that vividly because I'll kind of hold on to it a little bit. You thought I was mad at you. Yeah. I remember. It was not long ago. I had a dream. You were furious with me. And I couldn't figure out why. And it really stuck with me because I like woke up and I felt like, is JD mad at me? And I was like, no, it's just a dream. I haven't talked to JD. I was like, it felt real. Like it felt more like a memory than a dream. Right. The other thing that I'll frequently also not like that happens in dreams is um, I will dream of something that when I wake up, I'll have the loss of it not existing. Like I'll dream that it's like, I'll dream that like Elvis Costello just released like a new record on like six sides of vinyl. And it's, it's based on like, uh, songs about my hometown or <laughs> like, it'll be something that'll be so specific. I'll be and I, in the dream. I'll be like, what? Like what? When did this come out? And they're like, you can have it. You can have all three of these or whatever. Right. And then I'll wake up and I'll be like, Oh, I don't have that record. And I'll be like, Oh, that record's never going to exist. Like it's worse than losing it. It's losing the possibility of it. It's just like that would never exist. I had two dreams like that recently. I had one maybe like a year ago where I like met someone fell in love, got married, and, like, moved into this home together. And, like, career stuff was going well, and it was like, oh, great. And then I woke up, and it was, like, <sighs> all gone. And then more recently I had one where uh, I had written a film. Uh -huh. Something I wrote got sold, and then they wanted me to direct it. Mm-hmm. And all the things that I wanted were coming together and they were giving me a bunch of money and it was just like this big sigh of relief of like, I'm not going to worry about money again. And That's I was, a horrible I was, thing to feel. I was looking at like new apartments to move into and I remember being like, oh, I can, li I can live in this nice two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan now and um, my agent manager was like, yeah, it's great. It's going great. Everyone's getting happy with it. And like it was just like, it felt like I was given the stability that you only dream of in this industry and like far premature. Oh. And I was so happy and just so like, God, all the stress, all the work was worth it. Cause I got to this point and then I woke up and I remember like waking up and being like, where am I? Oh, I'm in my, Oh, I'm in my old apartment. Oh my God. I'm in my old apartment here. Oh, you wow. thought of it actively as like, yeah, like how did I get back here? Yeah. And then I had this moment of like, all oh, right, I'm here. And like, Oh, I should call, oh no, that was a dream, wasn't it? And that it was like... It just sucks. I had that moment of just like waking up and realizing that like, oh, I had just dreamed all of that and none of it was real and I still got a long way to go. Uh, do you like that Star Trek episode? The finale? No. Um, the, what's the one where he lives his whole, that whole life? In the moment, and he put, learns to play that flute. Oh yes, I always think that's such a heartbreaking. But it's also like he has a full life. He has a full yeah. life. But I love the way the show. Can't remember the name of that one. I love the way the show. It's called like. 
Mind's Deception or something like that. Something like that. I love the or like way turning a, le- uh, a new lead. It's something. Yeah. It's some listener right now is like furious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the one hand, you have this feeling of like, I love the way that show had him yeah. remember how to play that instrument. So you knew that it really happened to him. Right. Um, that he really did live that full life outside of Starfleet. The inner light. The inner light. Also a Beatles song, I believe. Um, the finale is also similar to that as well. Yeah. What a good series. Um, Are you... Let me ask this. Do you think you will um, subscribe to CBS All Access to get access to the new Star Trek show when it happens? I don't know about it. Oh. This is the first I've heard of it, so no. No. Probably not. I don't think CBS has enough to offer me right now. It's an interesting thing because I... During that period in the mid-2000s... Um, oh, cause you watch Survivor still, too, don't you? Oh, yeah. Survivor's better than it's ever been this season. Survivor's better than it's ever been this season because... That's a CBS show. Yeah. Uh, it... Pearl Island's the best, though, wasn't it? With Rupert? Isn't, isn't Pearl Island considered the best Survivor? With Rupert? Yeah. I can't keep track of which one's which, but... This has been one of the best ones for this reason. I love when they keep it relatively simple in terms of the gimmicks. Right. But what makes the game interesting is that you can never predict what the psychological um, makeup of the group is going to be. Right. Um, You don't care if I spoil a thing that happens in Survivor, do you? No. What about you, dear listeners? Yes. Not too late. I mean, the winner will be picked by the time this one's... Done? Yeah, Susan's going to win. They had one sort of gimmick this season, which was that there was a clue, because there's these hidden immunity idols all over, and if two people decided to combine their hidden immunity idols, they would develop what's called a super idol, which they can play after the vote has happened. Interesting. So they can undo the vote. So there were these, there were these two guys who were kind of bullies on the team. One of them is a professional former, I think, football player. Is Scott Armstrong a former football player? I have no idea. Okay, let's say that's his name. His name's Scott. Might be Armstrong. I can't remember. But big guy. And when their numbers started being uh, in danger, they started playing what they described as psychological warfare. Right. So they would do things like uh, they hid the machete so that they couldn't, like, cut open the coconuts. Right. They, like, hid tools that were needed around camp. And then when people started realizing it was them, he took, like, a big thing of water and put out the fire. So we were just, like, doing, like, dick stuff. Right. To try and, like, try to, like, they thought they were being really clever. They were trying to, like, mix it up. They formed an alliance with this really uh, great guy named Ty, who's, like, this older guy, little wiry guy. And he had a hidden immunity idol. And one of these two bullies had a hidden immunity idol. So they were like, let's form an alliance. Then we have a super idol. And no one else knows about the super idol. It's a secret because they had the clue. But then they started, like, Ty started feeling like they weren't listening to him, and they were just, like, taking him for granted. And there was an episode where they were, like, laughing about how they were going to vote Ty out the first chance they got. So you saw, like, them being villains, like, behind his back. They get to a tribal council. uh, 
they've already revealed everyone. We've got these media outlets, but they haven't revealed the super idol thing. But they're acting like they're it's fine. They've yeah. got it made. They get to the point. They have the vote. Scott gets voted out. He turns to Ty to get the other half of the super idol. And Ty just goes, shake his head no, and goes, sorry, no. And it was, they had, it had never occurred to them because they'd been so confident they had this super idol right. that one guy could just withhold his half of it. Right. And it would just be a regular idol that you can't play. Right. So the other guy's idol's gone with him too. Goes home in his pocket. And it was such a small, it was like the smallest way that anyone had ever found out in like 20 some seasons of Survivor that they, had, they were being voted out. Because normally you get the big presentation yeah. of like you're voted out. But not only was this like he was hearing it from this little guy who was just saying, no, sorry. No one else in the tribe even knew what he was asking for because it yeah. wasn't a thing. So they were like, what is he's like, you're not going to use Wow. And this huge, big, hulking bully of a man got voted off. It was like so satisfying to see. Was he pissed? He's furious. He's still... Every time when the jury comes in, he sits there and he just scowls. He's still mad. Like, weeks later, he comes out. Because normally they get, like... Right. They, they start to, like... They shave their beard or whatever, and they come out and they look. Right. He's just sitting there mad every week. Uh, That's hilarious. I like watching that show because uh, my mom and my sister both watch that show as well. Right. My dad hates it when we talk about it. Like, whenever we're all together, we'll inevitably start talking about Survivor. Right. And my dad just cannot stand it. My parents both watch Survivor. Yeah? They love it. Uh, After watching The Deadliest Catch again. Yeah? I found it very soothing. Never seen that show. That's on which channel? Discovery. Discovery, yeah. And it's about, like, fishermen. Yeah. And it's, like, a quote-unquote reality show, but it's a documentary show. Yeah, it's not like a competition or anything, right, is it? Yes, yeah, no, there's no competition, and it's not, it, I don't believe there's any soft-scripted elements to it. It's yeah. like pretty hard and fast, because it started up before the soft-scripted stuff began. I feel like if they'd start producing that show now, it would be much more soft-scripted. Yeah. But it seems pretty just document, like a documentary, Yeah. which is what I love. And it's just documented like people on boats fishing, and it's just like very soothing. Yeah. I was thinking about how I really want to go fly fishing again. I went fly fishing in Colorado, and I found it to be so relaxing mm-hmm. and soothing that now I'm, like, craving doing that again. It's something I would never... It sounds like such a cliche of, like, oh, you grow up, and you, like, start watching golf, you want to go fly fishing. And it's like, yep, I started watching golf, and I really enjoy watching golf. I find it so relaxing yeah. and entertaining. It's, uh, it's bizarre how soothing it is. I Oh, my God. I have to find... So they have the intro to the Masters. Like, yeah. You know, and normally in the NBA, it's like, we're going to watch the Boston Celtics take on the Cleveland Cavalier. Yeah. Or LeBron and his Warriors can be able to stand up to the, t-, you know, whatever. Yeah. This was like, it honestly felt like this like announcer reading a sad poem over nostalgic music. It was like, bum, bum, bum. And he's like, the grass is green. The wind is blowing ever so slightly. <laughs> and the men are out walking across. Some were victorious, some are not. And it just like it was like yeah. the most non sports beginning to something and I thought it was so funny. Let me see if I can find it. Um, I'm gonna uh, let you talk for one minute and one half minutes. Okay. 
That sounds good. All right, so I'm going to find this Masters. Opening room for the Masters 2016. It was just so relaxing. I'm going to put Connor's mic because I can hear him zipping something. Um, this is me, right? Yeah. It was just so, so, so relaxing. Um, gosh, where is it? Uh, that's the Olympics one that I'm whistling. Uh, maybe this is it. Let's see. After this ad, protect your engine and save. Ugh. Pick up five. Anyways, I've started watching golf, but I find it really, really, really enjoyable because it's just, it's just people competing against themselves for the most part. They're all very calm. The cadence is really calm. Listen to those sounds. How relaxing is that? Oh, come on. Um, 26. What would you even call it? Masters opening? I don't even know. It might be lost a fucking time. This might be it. Okay, if I can find this, it, God, it would be so good. BBC One. Just looks super confident there. I'm trying to find it. Super confident there. There's a place that has an effect on people. Jason Day still in touch. Today, well, it's like the BBC. Tonight we are hearing and clearly trying to green BBC One. Center of the cup again is amazing. Ah, 2016, day two, part one. Blue skies, uh, some scattered clouds, but the story today will be the wind. Temperature right now at 69 degrees. Uh, the wind out of the west northwest, 17 miles an hour, gusting to 25 to 30 this afternoon. And this will be a challenge for these great players. Well, let's take you back to the uh, opening round. And the uh, the, I'm getting close. That's almost it. Yeah. Um, come on.
Let's see. Henrik Stenson at 15. No, what the fuck is this? That's not the fucking. This is not the right fucking thing. Sorry. Uh. Come on. This might be it. No. From the start of the No, it's not the American one. Darn it. Ah, so frustrating. The CBS Master... Stop. Don't play the video, you idiot. Masters 2016. Full broadcast. Anyways, it's truly amazing. No, this is someone r screaming about it. Oh. You want to know what's funny now? What is? is I could probably watch it using that CB uh, CBS login thing. It's true. This is just from a long form uh, branded content. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, this is proof that you need to get it, yeah. In, in that... That is a, a good, um, what was the term you were talking about in terms of like proof of concept? Uh, that would be a good example for any potential future sponsors out there. Right. Want to put branded that, yeah, exactly. into 12 hour a day. We, I mean, because that was a good long run. I mentioned CBS a while ago. Yeah, and then. Quite naturally got to that. We talked about Survivor. But ultimately, the point was to show that JD has no interest in CBSL access. But then I needed it. It sounded so natural. It was so sincere. But it was just, oh my God, I laughed out loud because it was literally just like, doo 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 doo. And it's like, birds are singing, the clouds are out, everyone is remembering the days of their past and the moments of their future. It felt like a meditation thing. Yeah. It was like, in no way was this the beginning of like a sports broadcast. I want to start golfing again. I, I tried golfing when I was very young. But I think it would be a nice... I mean, I'm turning into a, a fucking cliche grown-up where I'm like, I watch golf, want to play golf, would love to go fly fishing. But it's just because being growing up is so stressful. Being an adult is stressful, and there's just things that you can do that are relaxing. Yeah. That's why people do them, is because they're relaxing. Yeah. Um. Thing I think you'll like when you get CBS will access. No. Is well, the thing that they're they're doing that I think is smart. It's actually the one time that I had an idea that I'm like, oh, I know this would be a successful idea. I just didn't. It's the kind of idea that I would have been in no position to figure out how to even make it work. But right. Oh shoot. 
What happened? I, you out of sounds? No, I I had your mic off for a while. Oh. When you left, I had your mic off. I don't think you spoke too much. Okay. I'm um, sorry. That was my okay. bad. Just because I heard you, I heard you walk outside, then unzip something. And I was like, "Well, I'll turn his mic off." I just unzip my. Uh, I know, but it sounded hoodie. like maybe I was hearing you in the restroom. Um, the uh, so what I just said about branded content was that on? No, you should repeat that. Uh, it doesn't matter. Figure it out, listeners. Figure out your listeners. That's one thing. What should, I, what should we tweet out? We got f- our viewer listeners are very. Are they paying attention right now? Yeah. Well, we got. You know when should we talk about should we talk about it now? Let me finish my just this okay. one CBS All Access point I'm making, which is that there was kind of being paid to do this. No, it was that. Are you contractually obligated to get this thought out there? I probably have said this on a previous episode that there was a point where a bunch of shows got canceled all in a row, and it was like it felt like like if right now we're living in peak TV, it felt like. The era where like Firefly got canceled, Arrested Development, uh, um, the uh, Star Trek Enterprise, like, I think it was the first time since the original that like a Star Trek go- show got canceled. Right. At the point where they, it, once it had like the Star Trek base as we know it, it was like... Yeah. And I remember feeling like, wouldn't it be great? Because they were all also shows that kind of like tried to look for another network. Right. But couldn't find one. And my feeling was like, wouldn't it be great if there was like a someone set up a like an HBO style cable network where you paid a premium every month, and they made them they made it known that our thing is, if a show with a following gets canceled, we will pick it up, and we even call ourselves like the you know the Rescue Channel or something like that. Uh, we make it part of our brand that it's like when your beloved. What would the name be? It wouldn't be the Rescue Channel. Um, Second Life. You're watching the Second Life Network. Yeah, that's a video. It's a popular. It's not back popular then. Video was, that, was that already popular back then? Wait, 2005. You want to start it in 2005? Yeah. That's what. That's. You wanted to have started this. That's why I had the idea. Okay. Yes, but Second Life was big in 2005. Um, I'm saying let's brainstorm what it would be right now. Oh, holy heaven! Holy, there's a lot. <laughs> What, what's a good name for it? I think it's got to be like, not the, redemption, but like... The uh, Do-Over. You're watching the Do-Over Network. You're uh, watching... Or like what... Uh, uh, what's the golf thing? Not Mulligan. Uh, yeah, the mul- take a Mulligan? Yeah. Yeah, you're watching the Mulligan Network. And you get Richard Mulligan from Empty Nest. <laughs> you keep conflating it with some other thing. <laughs> oh, then like, you're watching this- the Mulligan Network. <laughs> um... <laughs> um There'd be another season of Empty Nest just yeah. as like a flagship show. Here's you could you could call it Comet. Comet. Well, I guess that's already a popular product. Yeah, but not a network. But there's yeah. lots of. But anyway, so my idea was orbit. That, like orbit coming around again, second orbit. Great, right? yeah. that's great. That's the best one. Yeah. Because my thinking was like, okay, so maybe Serenity, maybe Firefly, maybe Rest of Island, maybe none of these individually yeah. are popular enough. But I was like, the same way that the cable networks bundle everything, you could... I mean, HBO already kind of works like that a little bit. And that like, yeah. shows like Game of Thrones like boosts viewership. Like, you get a combination. Because I was like, the Star Trek base is almost enough that just a Star Trek show could sustain. Yes. Because uh, I at that point, I was like, I would pay... 
for HBO just to get Arrested Development. I'd right. pay for that just to get that. So I'm like, if there's more people like me and you get enough of chunks of these and you just cater a little bit to each of them, you only need to please part, each part of your subscriber base a little bit of the time. Yeah. You want to turn on that light? Yeah. And that is basically what... Do I press something? I assume you press something on the floor. Oh, yeah. Um, the, that is basically what CBS is doing, which right. is the new Star Trek show, uh, which is being written, I think, it's, it's a first timeline. It's original timeline Trek, so it's not part of the J.J. Abram alternate right. timeline universe. It is uh, in, in the OG. world of all the... Yeah. O-O-G. Um, it's being written by a couple of the guys who wrote, I think, the reboot ones. I think they're okay. involved in it, and other people who've been involved in various Trek shows. But they're going to premiere. They're going to premiere the first episode on regular CBS, and then from then on, it's just on CBS All Access. It's not on CBS. I think it's going to work. That I think would be cool. If it's a good show at all, then it'll be one of those things where it's like, I mean, although we are entering that period where there's so many different. Um, for like cord cutters, yeah, it's already getting to the point where it's like, yeah, you could have just subscribed to cable, like for the number of like if you're on Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, like yeah, uh, uh, there's so many different things that have exclusive shows that are just like you gotta. Do you have cable? Yeah, yeah. So do I. I you have cut, RCN. I cut my cord. Yeah, and then I brought it back. Once we once got the show got bought, I was like, I think it's my duty. Because the problem was that I was not watching any new TV because I'd wait for it to come out on yeah. Netflix or whatever. Yeah. And so that meant I was like a year or two behind. Yeah. And then that meant that I was not up to date. And I was like, if I want to work in the television industry, guess what? I should probably be watching modern television. Yeah. It's also good that you're able to get one of the few cable systems that actually gets the Gethard show. Yeah, but I paid like 12 bucks a month extra for it. Oh, because it's part of an extra package? It's part of the news package. <laughs> But you could just get the news package if you were just a newsie, right? Mm, I don't think so. It's not available on some? I don't think so. Oh. And, you know, it's like... Still. If I'm... Because the other thing, too, is that, like, I was missing things like the Oscars and sports. Sports is the big thing I was missing. Because uh-huh. I love sports. I love watching... I do this thing now where on Sundays. I'll watch any sport that's on. Mm-hmm. I've started watching NASCAR. You are a real old man now. I watch NASCAR... Because NASCAR's out in the mornings, and I'll watch golf, and then I'll watch the NBA games. And then to fill time, I'll watch whatever weird other sports are on. I just, Sundays are my sports day, and I love it. And if you've cut your cord, sports are the one thing you cannot watch. Yeah. There's no way to watch sports online. Other than going to bars? Yeah. Because NBA doesn't really have a good, you know, you have to buy the individual packages. It's, It's not. Yeah. There's no way to do that. I ESPN would make a or NBA would make a killing if they like for like you know for ten bucks a month you could just get all of the games in the moment they end if they're up online yeah or if you watch them live they'd make so much money because they have that but it costs like a hundred bucks a month or something yeah something crazy for uh, NBA All Access or the Access Pass or whatever they call it League Pass. I bet you'll have it soon enough. I might. I love basketball. I watch so much basketball. It's crazy. 
I I think the reason I keep uh, cable, I I remember uh, when I moved to England. I uh, didn't have cable for a long time in England, uh, for a few years. Hey, you didn't have telly. No, oh, I had a telly. But I remember when I first got there, and I was I was inquiring like about whether it would be po- like how would I get cable on TV? And there was this guy who's from Birmingham, and he Birmingham. He, I remember him saying like, um, I said, well, how do you like? Where do you? What company do you contact about getting like? Because a lot of the TVs in England, a lot of the houses, you'll see the little satellite dishes right. everywhere. So I'm like, is there cable or is it just terrestrial or satellite? Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, you won't be able to get cable. You won't be... Uh, stu- students don't get cable because when you're going to school, everybody is so, you're going to be so poor, you won't, you won't even have money for food. I was saying, like, I'm not having enough money for food. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, because students never have any money. You're going to be so poor. You'll just be happy if you have any money for food. You won't be able to get cable. You'll be lucky if you're able to get food. I remember thinking, like, what? what is it? And I, that was the thing I noticed early on when I first moved to Liverpool, that people would, like, when I bought a TV, the first thing everyone would say about it was, like, about how people would want to steal it. Right. Like it was the first go-to would be, like, oh, I bought a TV, and like, people want to nick that. They'll take that. Like, it's, it's weird how much quicker right. people just jump to, like, you got something, someone else will take it. Yeah. Um, That's hilarious. But w- when I came back to it, I had cable in London, but when I came back, I still was, like, missed American TV so much. Right. When I came back to America, and then when I was first in New York, I just made it, like, even though it was expensive to get cable, I was just like, you know what, like... I don't drink or smoke. This is just my thing that I buy that's an extra big yeah. expense. I just, I have cable. And I think the main thing that I keep it for now, because I tend to have, like, access to most of what I want through, like, a couple of different streaming things. Like, a lot of the shows that I want, I can get through right. other things. Because I have Netflix. And I've got, you know. But... um it's mostly just to have like cable news channels to so, like, that's the thing that I have on when I don't want to pay attention fully to something, but I want to just have the TV on just any cable news channel. I'll flip around. It's interesting because it makes most people tense, but for me, there's certain people that are just like as a presence, someone like Chris Matthews, like, I'll be sad if when Chris Matthews gets older and like retires or passes away or something, because he's just like a voice that like, I know that voice. I know what he sounds like. And it's just like he's there. That's what sports is for me. Yeah. And the other thing that I have is I have this psychological thing where um, I like knowing that the world is still working outside. Uh-huh. That the world is still existing. Yeah. Whereas if I watch, that's why I don't like watching Netflix or Amazon is because... I turn that on and I feel it's like... What time of day is it? What time of anything? Well, it feels like, like, uh, like the seas could be overflowing and like... You could still be watching and I, Daredevil. And, and Netflix wouldn't let me know. You know what I mean? Like Daredevil yeah. doesn't know. 
But I feel like if you're watching network TV, it's like, oh, I'm watching this with people right now. And if something went wrong, they'll let us know. I you feel like connected to everybody watching live television. I, uh, I also like, even because I have DVR on my cable, I think cable news because it's the thing that's it's on now. Whereas yeah. I don't tend to watch most shows as they happen because I'm usually out when they're on or whatever, you know. Uh, a couple of times uh, when I've been trying to watch uh, Agents of Shield, yeah, um, and it's been on Tuesday nights, and there have been like primary results, yeah. And they, rather than cutting in with a scroll to show the results, they've cut in as if it's like, breaking news, dun, yeah. dun, 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 And, which is so infuriating when you're watching the show like a day later, so it's not even like news anymore. Right. And it's like, there's one episode where they cut like the guts out of it. I need to go back and rewatch it because so much got cut out of it. And it was for like a primary that was not like a, like they could have easily waited. They could have easily been like at yeah. the bottom of the screen, here's the result. Because... It, there was almost nothing they benefited from like here we're here to tell you that so far tonight in this result we are ready to call you know yeah, exactly. uh, Wisconsin for Bernie Sanders or something and you're just like oh they're just like this makes me not want to watch it on right. the network if you're going to do this right uh, when there's nothing remarkable about it it's just like you could have waited a half hour for this it's not you're not you don't need to be that up to the minute yeah. on ABC News with the prime anyone who's really that like it's probably not watching. No one's watching ABC Agents of Shield. Like, oh, I can't wait to find out the primary yeah. results. I hope they cut in as soon as it happens. Yeah. Um. Oh. Yeah, I like the night the world's going on. That's why I liked when I lived in Manhattan because you can hear all the outside stuff. Yeah. But I didn't like it because you could hear all the outside stuff all the time. See, what I remember, because this would have been relatively close to what it felt like uh, when I lived on this street. Right. Um, in terms of, like, I remember the first night in the apartment on 37 Second, thinking, like, the sound of the Second Avenue traffic was constant. Right. And thinking, like, oh, it's so loud. Honking. See, I love that. That moving. And within a couple of days, it was like the sound of the ocean. It was like I lived by the ocean. And the sound of cars whirring by was just like the tide going in and out. It became so relaxing. I have family that has a house in Los Angeles by the ocean. Yeah. And it's right by the beach. So yeah. it's like you hear the waves crashing under rocks at night. And it's the most calming thing. Just knowing the world's still spinning. Yeah. And all the things that are problems to you are, no, are not stopping the rest of the world. Yeah. It minimizes things in a way that is really refreshing. Yeah. That's why I think I'd be, I could never be the kind of person that like, well, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think I'd be the kind of person that could live in the middle of the mountains by myself. But maybe they'd take the same calm and like hearing the wind blow and hearing the, the where it just like, I'm just a speck in the ocean. The things that are worrisome to me are not worrisome to the wind. Yeah. Anything else? I don't know. I wonder what it feels like to be on a boat in the middle of the ocean where there's like no land in sight. It would terrify me a little bit, I think. Yeah. 
It scares me. It feels claustrophobic in a weird way. Right. It's wide open, but you're trapped. That's my favorite part of For All Mankind is when they have footage from whatever, the, like Apollo 9 mission or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or not Apollo 9. Apollo whatever. Whichever, because they had a bunch of them. But they had the footage where the guy's on the dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. They're doing an orbit, and so he's alone in the shuttle on the other side of the moon, so he can't see Earth, yeah. and he can't be in context. The moon's in the way. Yeah. So he's basically the mo- he's the most remote any human has ever been in the history of mankind was this guy. What's, con- yeah, what's you have a concerned look on your face? Uh, no, nothing. I. Um... It's hard to keep up. There's a lot of subtext in those words. Uh, Well, you must have way more than I do. You must get just constant emails about stuff. Yeah. Um, Did something go wrong? No, nothing's gone wrong. Um... It was just had to do with when a rehearsal would have to be. Okay. Mm. It's not a problem at all, but I just needed to check my schedule and make sure. Mm. The room that we're in is on 37th Street. There's a large semicircular, three windows with the semicircular arch leading out to it. They're all like almost floor to ceiling height. So we're getting a big, good big view of the building across the street. But the sun is setting right now and is almost close to being fully set. And we have a single light on, so it's pretty dim in here. Yeah. And we're casting long shadows on the wall from this dim light. And there's probably no one else in the building, so I think the building's closed at this point. How do we get out? We can get out, but no one can get in. We're probably not allowed to be here right now. Really? Technically. Yeah. Shit. Why? What if they set the alarm? No, there's no alarm. We could probably go up to the roof even. I mean, we could say we did it, and listeners would say, like, with a few well chosen, <laughs> open a window, and then. <laughs> here we are up on the roof, JD. Exactly. They said we couldn't. Um, what are the rules about being allowed to be in this building? Well, technically, you have to be out by a certain time. I don't know what that time is. But I believe it's, it's earlier than eight. Yeah, I believe so. But they don't do a sweep of the building. No, because it's all private. They don't have they don't, the security guard doesn't have access to all of our private areas. Oh, um, it's nothing to be concerned with. You know, well, the room that we're in is the room that the LLC uses. Um, or next to all the guest band rooms. Yeah. And guests, celebrity guests. Um, and I usually, this is usually where I come first whenever I get here. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, what? What? This is, should we? Oh, are we deep enough in, do you think? Yeah, we only have two hours left, right? Yeah, it's true. Less it's, than two it's hours. It's 8.06. We've got... Hour Less than an hour, hour and, and uh, 39 minutes. 
ish. Yeah, let's do that in a second. You keep delaying it. Yeah. Um, so I usually come here first because I don't. I'll usually uh, check in with the band and see like what we're gonna do for the um, for your opening for song. the opening song. Panda, 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 panda. Which I played my demo of earlier when I yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, there's two giant cork boards on the wall, pretty enormous cork boards that the LSE will never use. It, well, one of them has two things on it, and the other one has nothing on it. And there's instruments in the single plant. We're sitting in the room full of instruments owned by Mikey Yerg, Halle Bullet. John Vafayadas and Bill Florio. And Alex Clute. Uh, Together, mm-hmm. they form the LLC. Um, and Godzuki. Now, in the next room, that's where guests are. That's where celebs sit. That's and, where the biggest celebs in the world have sat. And what about the room after that? That's where the biggest mu- musical guests in the world have sat. Um, yeah, let's do it. Like, well, Connor, you and I had a uh, a moment of of uh, of cathartic bonding. I feel. Yeah. Usually for the musical acts, I'm in the booth, watching from in there, making sure everything's going right. Yeah. I, I've never come out and dance. Yeah. This season, I broke that rule. Yeah. And I came out and I just let loose and I danced because we had childhood hero band who and current hero band you and I have talked at length about. Yes. They might be giants on yeah. the show. And <clears throat> I was in the booth for the first three songs. I told the network, I was like, just so you guys know, I'm going to do the first three songs in here. But then I know what the fourth song they're going to play is and I'm going to have to leave and go out on the floor and dance that song. And I'm sorry. And I know it's not professional. But I'm just letting you know what I'm going to do. And they said, we're going to do the same thing. Because, they all left? Yeah. They all came out and danced as well. Is that why when it was filmed, all the all the shots look so bad? Yeah, that's why the cameras are pointed at the ground. And I ran out because I knew they were playing Birdhouse in Your Soul. Yeah. And normally, here's what I'll say. Normally, our musical guests only really play three songs or something like that. Yeah. But they might be giants played like seven songs because everyone was so excited. Yeah. And techni- and if you want to get technical about it, they probably played uh, closer to like 25 or 30 songs. Yeah, exactly. Technically. Um, but yeah, so it was, uh, I ran out on the floor and there was a really, it was a surreal moment for me because I believe The Empire Giants was the first or second album that I ever bought, Flood. Yeah. And the first real song on Flood is Birdhouse in Your Soul. So when I was standing in front of the Johns, both performing Birdhouse in Your Soul with a full band, it felt like this surreal, full circle moment. Mm. And there was a moment where we got to the line, my story's infinite, like the Longines Symphonite. Connor and I were next to each other dancing, and we turned to each other and shouted the lyrics at each other yeah. With the biggest smile on our faces because it was like we were fulfilling this lifelong dream of like, we had this, we had like a private concert 
Yeah. This thing that we all built, we had a private concert from our favorite bands of all time. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, and uh, in, was it our last episode? Was it the last episode where we talked to the Longines Symphonette? Because uh, that was Christmas music. Yeah, it might have been. Might have been the last one. Yeah. Um, where I was playing, I have a box set of the Longines Symphonette. I was playing that. And it's one of those lyrics, you know, you have s- lyrics in songs that you sometimes sing past because you're like, I don't know what that is. Right. And unless you look it up and look into the annotation of certain things, you're just like, well, there's a lot of things in there. Maybe I just don't know what that right. is. And I remember seeing that box set of Christmas songs not too long ago when I got it for like a $5 at an antique mall in Jefferson City, Missouri. I remember seeing... I was looking at Christmas things. I was looking at these box sets, and I see this one that says the Longines Symphonette. Yeah. It was weird. Like, seeing it written down, I'm like, I know what that is. Yeah. And also, I didn't even have a moment, like, trying to remember how I know it, because I see it, and I'm like, as I see the words, I'm like, the Longines Symphonette. Like, I'm seeing yeah. it like it's attached to the, yeah. the musical notes. Um, it was very satisfying. Um. But then a, a fun thing happened yes. where John Flansburg. Hi, John. Before the show was talking, he, Gether, and I were talking, and Gether was talking about his podcast. And then somehow it came around to 12 hour day. And he was uh, excited by the idea that we have this podcast, just like one long conversation. And they had all these questions about how we did it and all this uh-huh. stuff. And then I sort of talked about the 12 head community a bit and he seemed super engaged and he was asking tons of questions about the type of people who listen to it and when they listen how they listen and so then the show happens they perform they like perform like five songs and then leave and the audience starts chanting one more song please one more song please one more song please so they come out and they play like two more songs to which then the audience chants thank you Thank you. I think I started the please in that. That's great. And then, but everyone, it, it is uh, indicative of the the Gethard Show audience how quickly they yeah. picked up on it. Because I think I said it once, and immediately the second time, yeah, it was like everybody was saying it. Yeah. And then after the show, of course, I go up to the music and thank them, and I walk backstage, and John Flansburg, he goes. Thank you. It's great. This was like he had. A, it seemed like they had a blast in the show, and he goes also. I've, I've subscribed to your podcast. And I was like, no way, that's so cool. And it was like this moment of like, that's insane, this is so cool. It's someone that I've looked up to and idolized and who's created all this work that is like burned into my soul. Yeah. But I sort of didn't believe that it was, that he did, or maybe he did, but would never listen. And then about a week late, I told Connor this, and Connor, I think you were excited to hear that. Yeah. But I think neither of us t- really thought yeah. That's someone we've looked up to that's been such a part of our artistic development. Yeah, it's enough for them to be vaguely curious about it that it would be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It doesn't have to lead to anything. Right. But then a week later, I get a notification on Twitter. Connor gets a notification on Twitter. And then the official 12-hour day one that... Boom, that, boom, boom. That the official They Might Be Giants account to start following it, which is run by Flansburg himself. Yeah. And so it felt like, oh... No, you know, I talk with all the guests and whatnot, but I don't become best friends with most of the guests, and none of them probably 
none of them are like, oh, I got to follow this guy on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just because it's like, you know, a passing professional creative... Um, Courtesies. Courtesy, shit passing in the night, like we have this thing. But then when we saw that, it was like, oh, maybe he's actually listening. And then a week later, the official then behind the account tweeted about the show. I forget what the exact tweet was. It was um, something along the lines of that uh, JF currently listening to a uh, 12 hour long podcast and there's nothing wrong with me yeah um or, uh, uh, and then someone else tweeted at him something about the thing and he responded by saying it's well, wonderful at the end of that pot at yeah. tweet he did at one two hrjd yeah yeah and then he, and then someone responded and then he responded to them by saying it's wonderful which was cool so within a span of a few weeks uh I got text from Mitch Hurwitz saying, I love him. Yeah. And we got a text uh, from John Flansburg saying, it's wonderful. That's nice. That's nice. It feels um, good. It, well, because here's the thing that I think is so interesting about this podcast. Yeah. Is that sometimes it feels, not that we're shouting into the void, but you don't know who's listening. Well, that's not true. I mean, in some cases, we quite specifically know who's listening. Yes. Like, we are friends with them and we... But you don't know if you've hit this, like... Yeah. A small group of people who are going to be who listen to it and that's it. Yeah. Or if it's something that like does have some sort of foundational element that is interesting to it. You know what I mean? Like it's just hard to believe. So it's like when someone who you trust their creative instincts, yeah, appreciates it, you feel like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, like what we were speaking about a little bit earlier about the the danger, the pitfall of you meet your heroes or people that you admire and you hope that... You, the, the fantasy usually is something along the lines of, um, oh, I bet we hit it off. I bet we'd have like a good conversation. Right. I bet we'd get along. And there is an element of... It's weird because it is a one-way street. But I think... Because it only verifies in one direction because we, we have no way of... I mean, we've met various... We know people who are, like, friends of ours who listen to it, and we know that we get along with them and we yeah. talk to them and our friends and all that. But the, the operating theory, to a certain extent, is that if you listen to this podcast, and I would say if you listen to, like, all of it, yeah. then that means you would probably enjoy hanging around us because the difference is not that much. Well, and something that I say that is sort of... Slight of an exaggeration of the truth, but it's true. Is it's like, and I think this is what I even said to uh, Mr. John Flansburg as we're talking. Is I was like, I'm sure you have people that come up to you and feel like they know you because they've listened to your music for so many years and it's been part of them. But the truth is, they know your music and they don't know you. Yeah. And I was like, with this podcast, it's different because people come up who we've never met who feel like they know us from the podcast. And the truth is they do. Yeah, more or less. The only thing is we just don't know them. Yeah. Which is still why it's strange. And while the entirety of our personalities and who we are three-dimensionally is not, you know, you can't get that through a podcast. Yeah. You know a lot more than... than you probably, you, than you, probably you, you probably know a lot more about us than you do about some of your friends. Or, your, or maybe not even friends, maybe uh, your acquaintances. 
you know yeah. a lot more about us than maybe you should for what your literal relationship is to us. You probably know a lot more about us than maybe some of our acquaintances know about us. Yeah. So it's interesting. So it will, it would probably you know like after um, when Roger Ebert couldn't speak anymore. Yeah. And they made the uh, they but they had so much good audio of him that right. they were able to make it so that he could recreate his speaking voice. Yeah. Um, if you take all of the episodes of these podcasts, I bet you have pretty much everything you need to totally recreate anything you want to have us ever say. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, and if if you need any more syllables, we're just going to go through them right now. Wait, I'm going to find the actual list of human phonemes. I want to read all that. I'm going to read them out loud. All right, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to give you what I think are the ones that are the missing link. That should complete the collection. Um, but JD's going to read all of them now. Oh, no, these are... There's a lot more than I thought. Yeah, there's a ton. There's so many. But... Um, oh, wait, here they are. Okay, great. B, D, F, G, Huh. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Hold on. The first one sound like you're saying beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. Beautiful girl. It's amazing that the first <laughs> the first one's here go beautiful girl. And if uh, if if you are making the robot version of my voice, please let it be completely natural, except when I refer to. Oh, but, Oh, you oh, are Connor, such a... Connor, look down the street. Do you see that butterfucker? <laughs> man. Oh, man. I, you know... Butterfucker. Your daughter is such a butterfucker. That does feel like it could be some sort of, like, Cro-Magnon Justin Bieber hit. <laughs> butterfucker. 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 Wow. Butterfucker. Butterfucker. Wow. Butterfucker. Butterfucker. There we go. And, I mean, that does feel like, uh, that does feel like there's something, like, it's ironic in a weird, it's strange, I mean, not right, it's strange that in this segment where we've been talking about the MIB Giants, that we stumble across something that feels very much like the kind of thing that two people who've grown up on their songs would, like a song that merges a listing of of, uh, phonetic sounds into Cro-Magnon desire. Let's see what other words are in here. So, b, d, b, d, f, g, h, ha, j, k, la, m, m, p, r, s, t, v, w, y, z, z, th, m, ing, sh, Wow. 
air, ear, or, er. I think those are most of them. That's what it says. Got it. Look at all the people in the buildings living their lives. Look at all the people in the buildings living their lives. Um at the end of Buttafrica. <laughs> That's the coda. That's the musical coda. Yeah. Buttafrica. 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 Look at all the people in the buildings living their lives. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right. What time? We are at 8.24, so we have... Uh, it's time for the 8.24 secret. First up is Connor Ratliff's 824 secret. My 824 secret. Three, two, two one. one. I. What do I have? What do I have? 824 secret. I want it to be a good one. Oh, I mean, it's not really a secret, but I'm missing a tooth right now. I've noticed that. You noticed it? I saw it because I was sitting down and you went. Ha 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 about something. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. And you keep hearing it with your tongue. Yeah. Um, yeah, I gotta get an implant. Gotta get an implant. Um, that was uh, a month ago when I was, uh, I had really, something got infected underneath the crown. And they were like, I'm like, what could I have done to prevent? And they're like, Someone's just happens. Like someone's just getting an infection. Right. And uh, I had apparently one of the one of my teeth got cracked above the gum line somehow. And it started hurting so unbearably. So I mean like I had a night where I just didn't sleep at all and I was just like going crazy in my apartment. Right. Because I was just like, what would happen is I would, uh, the pain would be horrible. Right. And then I would fall asleep, I would have trouble falling asleep because the pain is so constant. Right. And I was taking, you know, Tylenol and trying to, you know, it wasn't making any difference. And I would eventually fall asleep and then at some point, while asleep, and sometimes it would maybe be a few minutes, sometimes it would be a lot more t- time, I would inevitably bite down or like do like a right something where you, you know, you're just not in the same control over yourself in your sleep. And I, I would bite down on it, and the pain would be so excruciating that it would immediately wake me up. Right. And 
once it happens a few times, your body stops cooperating in terms of even trying to go to sleep because your body's like, no, 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 no. Right, when this you, is just going to happen again. Yeah. yeah, and so I emailed my dentist on a Sunday morning and I was like, I haven't slept all night. I need some pain medicine because I, I had an appointment on Tuesday, but that was the soonest I could uh, um, go in was a Tuesday uh, because I was, I was filming on the TV show search party on Friday. And when I, and then I got him to prescribe me some pain medication, but I tried, I was like coaching in the afternoon and at a certain point I was like, I was in so much pain that I was just like, guys, my prescription just got called in. So I'm going to have to leave because I just can't like, I got to get this pain dealt with. I got to get it dealt with. Yeah. And it does become like when you're in a situation like that where you're in pain and it's particularly like it's like pain in your head. Yeah. You do like after that night, I was like, not, I've always been like, uh, sympathetic towards like euthanasia. Right. And the idea of like when people are suffering and you get to a point where there's like no quality of life and they want to, you know, put themselves out of their misery. I've always been sympathetic towards like, yeah, I can see you get to a point where it's like, you don't, yeah, you don't, if you're not, if you're all you're experiencing is agony and there's no way out except just numbing it. And you decide like, look, I've lived a full life. I want to go out before I'm just like screaming and begging. Like I would have, right. when my dad was going through the horrible pain when he was in the hospital, I was like, if this had been 300 years ago, we just would have already shot him. Cause there just would have been like, there would have been no hope that it could have been made better at that point. Yeah. And going through that night where I just couldn't sleep because of pain and I was so exhausted and I was just like in my apartment just trying because even just sitting around being in pain was so uncomfortable. The time slows and you get to the point where it's like three in the morning, it's four in the morning and you're just like even the, knowing that like the day doesn't bring any like relief yeah. to it. It's just like daytime. Maybe I can contact my dentist and get something. I had a similar experience. Well, I weirdly I had crazy health stuff, which yeah. I can get into in a moment, but the, this was just small things that I was cooking dinner for myself, and for whatever reason, I had one of my oven mitts, but yeah. the other one, it was like in the washer or whatever, I, it was in the laundry, Yeah, and like I didn't think to grab my ta towel because I was so used to it just not being hot because I had oven mitts, yeah. so I just reached down to grab the pan, and my thumb hit it, Ooh. and it was like that moment, like, and then like... I was like, ouch. It like doesn't hurt at first. Yeah. Because your body doesn't know how to flow. Like, right. Your body gets weird sometimes. Stuff like exactly. That. And then suddenly it was like excruciating like pain. So I had like burned skin. Yeah. And then that night I was, I couldn't sleep because even though it was a small part of my thumb, there was just this like immense, like the nerves had been. When like, was this? It was like a month, a couple months ago. Ooh. And I just couldn't sleep because it was like, throbbing pain and, such, and I was like oh my god this is like a tiny part of me a tiny burn on my thumb that is like driving me fucking nuts and I cannot sleep yeah. and I'd like wrap it in like wet towel, towel to like just like numb the pain yeah. and I was like I can't imagine now I understand why there's something called a burn unit because people that are like in fires or something happens where it's like their whole body is burned and they yeah. talk about how painful that is I was like oh if my whole body felt like this, Oof. I would not want to live. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's so much that it like you would just want to end it. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. It's amazing how quickly it can change. Yeah, how quickly a small thing can just become Oh, I'm done, you know. Oh, I'm done with this. Yeah. Oh, I'd rather just not feel anything than have to feel this anymore. It does make you think about just the fact that like they were able to give me pills that took care of it and then I went in uh tooth was extracted and uh and then there was no pain. Yeah. It's truly crazy. Um Yeah. Yeah. So I had. And I've never been on painkillers of any kind. I was on painkillers for about a week. Well, so I had my first double painkiller experience, which was at the beginning of the year, I went through crazy health stuff. I was talking about that, like, January 1st, I got awful, what felt like food poisoning. Uh, what I believe now is that it was just this flu that was going around, but I was one of the first people to get it. Yeah. Because I, I saw so many people go through the exact same cycle. I yeah. got violently sick for a day. It went away after a day or two. Got better. And then a week later, it came back. And I got really sick again. And because of that, I thought something was really wrong. And I think it created like all this like acid reflex. And, and like, like everything was hurt. Like my stomach was hurting. It wasn't like upset. It was like my stomach hurts. And yeah. like my intestines, everything hurts. And so I'd had this dumb doctor that I'd gone to for years and I'd always go to him and I would say, Hey, this, and he'd be like, well, I don't know. And he'd put me on things. And then I'd be like, Hey, I think cause I get really bad side effects on most medications. And I was like, Hey, I'd call up his office and be like, Hey, I think I'm having side effects. And they'd be like, uh, okay, we'll talk to the doctor. And then they forget to call me back ever. Or I'd go and do test results. And they'd forget to give me the. I'd go and do test and forget to give me the results. Yeah. And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll 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 call you back tomorrow with the results." And then like I'd call them back the next day, and they just would have like closed up their offices before giving the results, like stuff like that. Yeah. Over and over again, and like they wouldn't let me talk to the actual doctor. They kept Ooh. they kept being like, "Oh well, we'll just tell him," and then they'd always forget, and I wouldn't hear back. Yeah. And then when I got super sick, I was like, "I need an appointment." Like I'm super sick. And like, okay, we can see you in two weeks. And this is not like. I'm, I have insurance. This is like a good. This is like not. Yeah. Like, this is not like Medicare, Obamacare, some doctor out in Queens that's like overworked. It's like no. This is like a well-paid, normal doctor in Manhattan. Yeah. And it was like two weeks to see him, and then he wouldn't know what to do. Like there was all these times where I'd be like, my heart's doing this weird thing. He'd be like, well, if you can't replicate it here, I can't. I, I don't know what to do. And I'd be like, okay, but I'm telling you, my heart does this weird thing. So all this stuff is going wrong. I was feeling awful, and I lost thirty pounds. Oof, I got and you don't have you don't have thirty pounds to lose. No, and my friends were telling me like I looked scary because I got down to one like like one forty, like under one forty, which is like I shouldn't that shouldn't be the case for me. And so I was asking my uh, family, I was like, I need a recommendation for a new doctor, and I have family that lives in New York, and one of them works at Lenox Hill Hospital, and she was like. I'm going to give you the doctor that all the doctors here go to. And I was like, great. And I went to that doctor, and it's the best doctor I've ever gone to in my goddamn life. Yeah. It's been amazing. And I, I went and saw her the first time. She spoke to me for like an hour and a half, which is like crazy. She did all these tests. And then she was like, 
I'm really worried about this stomach stuff. She's like, I think you should see a gastroenterologist. And I was like, okay, can you recommend one? She's like, yeah. And she opens the door to her office. She's like, hey, doctor and this doctor, like, can you, can you see John right now? And he was like, yep, I can. And so then I went across and saw him. And then she was also, she gave me an EKG and she was like, oh, I don't know if you know, but I think you have a heart problem. And I was like, that, like, she's like, she's like, I think you have like a heart murmur. And she's like, you should go see this cardiologist though. And I'm like, all ha- like, yeah. like in one day. And then I went and saw that gastroenterologist and he was like, oh, I want to, I want to do a full endoscopy and, yeah. uh, then also a sigmoidoscopy, which is like the first part of your colon. And I was like, when? And he's like, how's tomorrow? And so like, I'd been dealing with this stuff for months and within a day, these doctors had been like, great, we'll solve them all right now. So you have to take all this crazy stuff to get a, colon, uh, a sigmoidoscopy to like clear your entire colon, which is like yeah. a goofy experience. You have to drink like two liters of this like, go- like weird liquid and it just like clears your body. But it's actually not that bad. Uh-huh. And then I went to go to the center. It's like the colonoscopy center. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I was nervous because they're going to put you under. And I'd never been put under for anything before. Never? No. And so, you know, they roll you out. And for me, it's an endoscopy colonoscopy. So it's like they're going in both ends of my body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they put the IV, the thing in your arm. And then the doctor was like, they're all joking around. They're so nice. So, like, great bedside manner. And the, the anesthesiologist like, was like, yeah, man, where do you want to go on vacation? Like, where do you want to go? Anywhere in the world. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like... He's like, just pick a place, and you're about to go there. And I was like, what? And he was like, pick a place, take a deep breath, and you're going to be there in a second. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he loves that shtick. Yeah, he does. And then I was like, I was like, ah, I'd like to be somewhere warm. And he's like, all right, just think about somewhere warm. Take a big, deep breath for me, and have a good trip. And as he did that, like, literally, like, it was like, zoop, the tunnel closed. <laughs> but, like, you, your body feels, it's a great feeling because your body gets warm, but mm-hmm. in a very comfortable way. And now I understand, I mean, this sounds dark, but like, I understand that like, cathartic, calm feeling of death where it's like, I'm sure it's the same feeling, Rick. Your body just gets warm and it's just like, oh no, I would prefer if everything just went dark right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt that and you go to sleep and then literally it was just the next thing I knew, I had these crazy dreams. You remember them? I don't. I remember them a little bit. But the next thing I know, I'm being shaken awake by like one of my best friends, uh, my buddy uh, Blake LaRue. And I'm in a different room. And he's like, hey, JD, wake up. And there's all these doctors like, hey, wake up, wake up, you're done. And I was loopy. I was out of it. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening while I was under is that they did the sigmoidoscopy. Just, they're checking. The endoscopy went fine. And then the sigmoidoscopy, they found like tumors, like, you know, whatever Polyps. Yeah, colon polyps or whatever. And so then they went from being a sigmoidoscopy to a full colonoscopy, which was like cool of the doctor just at once to be like, never mind, we're going full colonoscopy, let's just do it. And the crazy thing is with like, you know, you're not supposed to get a colonoscopy until you're like 45, 50. Yeah. And I'm 28. Mm-hmm. And then the doctors, they did all the tests and all thing, and they're like, they're like, yeah, like by 50, these probably would have turned into cancer. And they weren't looking for them. But they found these things, and it was like this weird roadmap moment. Because they, they had thought that I might have cancer was what all this was about. I yeah. forgot to say that up top. So I was stressed out because I was like, oh, I have cancer. That's it. When, you know when you go to the doctor? It's like very much like Hannah and her sisters. 
Yeah. Where it's like, you're like, yep, I have cancer, I'm dying, I know this is it. In the middle of the night, you can't stop thinking about it. You're like, yep, I have cancer, this is it, this is it, this is what it's gonna be. And then for them to find out, not only that I have cancer, but another cancer they weren't looking for, they actually found something that could turn into that is right now totally fine and they removed it. So like I also got to go on the alternate timeline of life where I didn't turn 50 and have colon cancer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyways, that stuff happens. I, I wake up also, and this is just a funny detail. My friend has video of this. He was taking video of it at the time. And he was like, hey, how are you feeling, JD? What are you, what are you thinking? What's going on? And I guess the first thing that I said when I came out is I just go, I just want to be a great director. <laughs> and like, I was just like, they're like, yeah, you will, you will. And I was like, I just want to be a great director. And then he's like, what else did you, what did you, what did you dream about? And I was like, I dreamed that I was in the NBA, but I wasn't good enough. But I just want to be a good director. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. But I, and then, anyways, they sent me home. Also, when I went home after that, my tape, I, the doctor, because I, I had gone two days without eating. Yeah. Because I didn't eat, so I had to get blood tests and then to go to the general practitioner. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, that same day, she gave me the gastroenterologist who was like, oh, tomorrow you're doing the colonoscopy thing. Yeah. And so that, I just happened to stack two things you're not supposed to eat before next to each other. Yeah. And they had forgotten to have lunch. Yeah. So I just hadn't eaten for two days. Yeah. Which was like crazy. So then he was like, Matt, like, don't worry. You can go home. You can eat, eat anything you want. He's like, eat a big meal. He's like, your one thing is I need you to gain weight. But so then I went home and I cooked myself this big meal. Yeah. And I just like started eating it. And then I bit into it and I was like, oh no. And I spit it out. I was like, I've ruined this. I like that I dump like soap in this accidentally and I keep eating it and I try to eat different parts and it all just tastes bitter. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And so then like I throw it all away and I'm like, fine, I'll just make myself a peanut butter sandwich. I cook this amazing dinner. I throw it all away because I'm like, I thought that I'd like tainted it. Yeah. And I was like, the last thing I need to do is like eat something that'll make me sick after I've had this whole procedure. So yeah. I'm like, I'll just have a peanut butter sandwich and then I eat the peanut butter sandwich and I'm like, it tastes bitter too. And then I take anything in the fridge and it all tastes bitter. It's because like my taste buds were inverted by whatever anesthesia, like uh, anesthetic yeah. they used for the endoscopy. Ooh. And so it was weird. Yeah. Uh, my mom, after she had her back surgery, for a long time, nothing tasted right to her. Yeah. My dad, his taste buds for a long time were really, like it is a thing where it's like, it's so changeable. It also makes me th think there should be an operation I can get where it'll just change my taste buds so it'll be like... So you love vegetables? Yeah, it'll be like, kale will taste really good to you and you won't like candy so much. Yeah. But so that all happened. Yeah. And then it, I started seeing a th new therapist which was great and dealing with like anxiety stuff and then also just like... Because after you have weird stomach stuff, you're just not confident in eating for a long time. Yeah. So I'd like build back my confidence eating and I got back to a normal spot and then I started working out again and then I was like, felt like I was in the best shape of my life. And then I was playing basketball and I was playing the best basketball. Like, you can talk to Gethard, anyone on the team. Like, I was playing out of my mind. Like, I was playing so good. I just had, like, gained the ability to do some things. Like, I was able to dunk again. Yeah. And, like, all the stuff that, like, I hadn't been able to do for years. I was, like, back in the horse. I was gaining weight. I was gaining muscle. My coordination was back up. It was just, like, great. Yeah. I had this one game. I went nuts. My stats were great. We're in a league that like, takes stats. The next game, start, game starts off. I'm back at it. I'm having a great game. And then suddenly in the middle of the game, I'm running up court. And I realize my arm feels weird. And I look to my left and I realize my left arm is like 
hanging off of my body, not connected. Oh. And it's just skin and tendons holding it on. Because I had fully dislocated my shoulder. So my arm is completely out of its socket. Just what did you do there. to dislocate it? No idea. Oh, my God. Wasn't it? I think it was just like I got tied up in a rebound and I spun around. And it like just that one, it just oh. popped it out. So my arm's backwards. And I can like sort of like move my fingers a little bit. Yeah. So I knew that it wasn't like totally fucked. Yeah. But it was so painful. But then the hilarious thing is that like I'm going... Oh, fuck. All right, I need help. I need help. I need help. And in basketball, when you're on defense, you're, you'll yell, like, I need help. And we were just on defense. So I think my team thought that I was complaining about them not helping me on defense. Or that, like, because I wasn't getting back, yeah. that I, like, was like, I need help. Like, cover for me. But what I was really was, like, I need help. My shoulder, like, my arm is out of its socket. Yeah. And so I kept going, I need help. No, no, no. I need help. Something's wrong with me. My arm is out of its socket entirely. And then I had to like, go up to people, to go up to the ref and show him. Oh, my like, God. point, because like, my shoulder, there was a big, you could, it looked like I saw crazy. the picture. And then the ref's like, oh, shit. And he like, blows the whistle. And then like, no one knows what's happening until, as people see my shoulder, they start being like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And then I like, told the team, I was, like, I, was like, I was like, here, grab my arm. Grab my arm and pull. Because I was like, I just... It hurts so much that I was like, I just need to get this back in the socket. And I was like, I don't know how, but I've seen fucking rigs do this. So, like, yeah. maybe there's a way to put it back in. But it was what? just, like, so was there? tight. No, of course not. So then I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And it was just, like, so painful. So I was like, can someone just call an ambulance? I need to go to a hospital. Because, like, unless anyone knows how to put a socket back into the, like, I yeah. need to go to a hospital. So then the ambulance comes. I go downstairs, and the security people are like, you can't wait outside for that ambulance. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like getting lightheaded because I was in so much pain. And I was like, I was like, I didn't, I don't yell at all. In fact, James McCarthy, who uh, was in the hospital with me at one point, was laughing because like, even though I was in excruciating pain, my voice was always like, okay, and now this is actually hurting a lot right now. So if there's something you guys can do quickly. Oh. What? So they were yelling you couldn't wait for they're an like, ambulance they're, there? They're, they're like, uh, the security woman, I walk downstairs and like my bag is on the floor. So I'm just kicking my bag because like, I can't put it on my shoulder. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, can you call 911? I think they're calling upstairs, but I don't know if they're calling. And I just want to make sure someone has called 911 so I'm not waiting out there. And she's like, what? And I'm like, look at my shoulder. And she's like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, just call 911. Just have an ambulance come. So I go outside because like now I'm starting to feel like lightheaded. And so I was like, I just want fresh air. Yeah. And then the woman comes up, she's like, she's like, she's like, I need to fill out an incident, you need to fill out an incident report right now. And I was like, no, like, I need you to call an ambulance. She's like, no, I can't call an ambulance until you fill out an incident report. And I was like, no, my, like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking oh about? And then the, the building manager guy comes out and he's like, he's like, he's like, what's going on out here? You can't be out here, like outside on the sidewalk. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, I'm going to be here. Look at my shoulder. And he's like, oh, shit. And then before that, this uh, Blythe, who is Tyler Parker's wife, she's an amazing comedian, basketball player of her own right. Yeah. She's with me, and she's like, somebody's calling on one. And she's like, and this guy goes, what, you need to call 911 because you're having an anxiety attack your friend is hurt? And she's like, no, his arm is out of the socket. And then he was like, oh, oh, shit. But he was like accusing her of wanting to call an ambulance because she was gonna yeah. faint because like ooh my friend is hurt and then she was a badass then the ambulance comes and the, the, the paramedics step out and I was, like, I was like hey can you guys is there any way you guys can just pop this back in 
So I don't have to go to the hospital. And they were like, oh, no way, man. We can't do that. We have to take you to the hospital. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, they bring out a stretcher. And they're like, how should we get? And I was like, I just, I'll just get on the ambulance. I don't need me on a stretcher. It's going to be more like, yeah. they spent like Tweedledum and Tweedledee spent like <laughs> four minutes trying to be like, well, what if we lay like, and I was like, ow, no, just let me just, I'll just step into the fucking thing. So I get inside and then the guy starts eating a sandwich at the driver's wheel. And I was like, hey, can we go? And he's like, I got to take your blood pressure first. And I was like, okay, but I'm in so much pain right now. It would actually be better. And I start making all these like sarcastic jokes. But I was like, yeah, so like blood pressure seems important, but also like my arms in pain. So if we could just get to the hospital and they could put it back in, that's probably going to be better for my blood pressure than whatever you're doing right now. So he's oh. doing that. And then they do the blood pressure. I'm like, okay, can we go now? Like, we, is there any way we can go? Like, hey, Eric, hey, Dan. Like, they've had their names. And I kept using their names. I was like, hey, can we just go to the hospital? And then they're like, we got to, like, fasten you in so that your arm doesn't move while you're in the car. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they start trying to put this seatbelt across me. And it's, like, hitting my arm and moving. Oh, I'm, like, I'm like, ow, this is hurting more. Oh. I, was like, I was like, how about this? Just put the seatbelt on. We won't tell anybody. And you'll just drive me like this. And they're like, well, we're not allowed to do that. And I was like, guys, I'm in so much pain. It just hurts a lot. And I'd just like to get to the hospital and get this over with. And they're like, okay. And the guy starts going to the computer. He's like, what's your name? Oh, and before I go in the ambulance, the woman goes, you can't get on that ambulance. So you fill out an incident report. The woman at the building is telling me I can't go to the hospital because I have to fill out an incident report first. She's like, what's your address? I'm like, I don't need to fill out an incident report. I'm not going to sue you guys. Bananas. I was like, I'm going to the hospital. We can figure this out later. Have a good night. Thank you. And then in the ambulance, the guy's finishing his sandwich before he's driving. And I was like, hey, can we just go? Then he starts driving, and he's on the phone. It's and, a nightmare. And so he's driving with his right hand on the steering wheel, and then his right shoulder holding the phone was here. And his left hand, he's eating a sandwich. Oh, my God. And I was like, I literally said to the other paramedic, I went, hey, man. Your boy Eric's literally on the phone and eating a sandwich while driving. Doesn't seem safe oh. to me. And he was like, yeah, he's a pro. And I was like, okay. So then I get to the hospital. It's NYU Hospital, which is great. I get in. They're super nice. Where's that at? Where's that at? Uh, it's like 20. It's over by um, uh, the theaters, the um, uh, Kips Bay movie theater. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen the hospital. That's a good one, right? It's a great one. Yeah. I walk in. The doctors are, like, super young, but they're, like, really nice, and so I'm, like, joking around with them because I always have the mentality to, like, I want to make jokes, be friendly, be someone that, like, they're, like, look forward to treating. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. They see you as a person and not just another Yeah, and so that body. they're also, like, uh, I could go treat this guy who's pissed off or I could go talk to this guy who's going to, like, make jokes and, like, yeah. fucking bullshit around. So we're all, like, making jokes, but I'm, like, they're, like, they're, like, they're, like you're, this is... They're like, dislocated arms are really painful. You're in a lot of pain right now. And I was like, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain. So like, can we just pop this back in? And they're like, unfortunately, we got to do x-rays first. Because if anything's broken or torn, if we try to put it back in, that's actually worse. And I was like, can we fast track the x-rays by any chance? And they're like, totally, we'll do that. Um, and then they're like, is there any way, they're like, can we give you morphine? And that'll help with the pain. And I was like, sure. Because when I did the colonoscopy and all that stuff, that hit my insurance deductible. I had to Ooh. pay like six grand for all that stuff. Yeah, I remember you telling me when you had had basically like hit that amount, and then you were like, "Well, I'm past my deductible." Now. So that meant that everything from that point out was free. So they're like, "Do you want morphine?" And I was like, "Yeah, I hit my deductible." So like, yeah, I'm not paying for this. Yeah. So they gave me morphine, and that was such a great feeling. My my mom loved morphine. 
It, it is because you feel it and it just like feels like this like oh this sense of like warmth covers you and you're like okay yeah but despite the morphine I was still in a bunch of pain which is why I knew that it was like not a good thing then I go and get these x-rays and the x-ray guy keeps like moving my arm and I'm like ow that hurts <laughs> that hurts yeah. hey man you're moving it and it hurts he's like I know I'm sorry so then they do the x-rays and they bring me back and then they come and they're like, all right, we're going to try to put this back in place. And they're like, just so you know, sometimes we like do stuff to put people to a, a sleep before we put them back, arms uh-huh. back in because it can be painful. But like, I assume you just want to stay awake. And I was like, yeah, let's just get it done with. Yeah. So I have like three doctors around me and they're all trying to like jam it back in because it's like not going the right way. Yeah. And then eventually one doctor's like, whoa, let's try the rotator method. And they like do this thing and like rotate my arm. And it really hurts because like they have to like bend your arm and it's like all your tendons are being. And then they rotate it and also it's like, and it like pops back in yeah and immediately the pain goes away for the most part it's just insane amounts of soreness right and they put you in a sling and then they're like you have to go see an orthopedic surgeon and do physical therapy so ultimately it still is the same as popping it back in it's yes. just they know how exactly how to do it and they do x-rays first yeah and then they're like you should wear a sling but you should wear it only for like a week and you have to make sure you move your shoulder else your shoulder can become frozen yeah and I wore a sling for one day and everywhere I went everyone's like Oh, hey, what happened to your wing, buddy? Hey, man, what's going on with your arm? Like, everybody. Yeah. And after one day, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with the sling. And so I just, like, dealt with the pain. You didn't like all those remarks. But then that meant that my full shoulder mobility came back within, like, a day or two. And, like, Noah Foreman had his shoulder pop out. And he kept it in the sling for too long, and his shoulder froze. So that meant that it took him, like, a good month before he got any range of motion back. And I got mine yeah. back in, like, a day. I remember that. But yeah, and then I went to the orthopedic surgeon, and I made him teach me how to put it back in myself, so I don't have to go to the hospital again. Mm. So, anyways. Whoa, I mean that's so harrowing. I can't believe that ambulance situation. Like, just the idea that people can't get into ambulances without filling out incident reports is such an insane thing. Well, that's why I'm like now, New York City. From now on, if yeah. something happens, I'm just taking a cab to the hospital. Yeah, because I just waited for 15 minutes for the ambulance to show up, and then fucking Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Yeah, like, and, the, and the ambulance is so expensive anyway. Yeah, luckily I don't have to pay for that either. Yeah, but it was just like so stupid. The whole thing. Oh was my dumb. god! I mean, it's a nightmare. I'm glad it's at least something that was not a long-term thing or made worse by an ambulance yeah. driver crashing. Well, it also means, but I, I'm not allowed to play basketball for three months. And I have to do physical therapy twice a week now. Stats are ruined. They are this season to wash, but I I negotiated with my doctor to make it two months and not three, so in June I'll be able to play again. That's not too long. No, so, so I'm feeling good about it. But yeah. also the other thing is like, the damage was done not with it dislocating, but it being out for two hours while I got X-rays and while fucking the fucking you know idiot brothers yeah. couldn't get me to the hospital. But so now if it yeah. happens again, because once it happens one time, apparently it's way more likely that'll happen again. Yeah. Um, but now I know how to put it back in. I don't think it'll be a big deal. Yeah. But that's, uh, that was my beginning to the year. Ugh, hey, hey, hey. It was just like, my mom was just like, when I called her to be like, I was like, she always laughs because whenever something bad happens, I go, don't worry, I'm okay. And she's like, that's when I know it's something bad is when you say you're okay. Yeah. So I was like, I'm okay, but I'm in the hospital again. And she's like, <sighs> God, can you get out of the hospital? Yeah. Because I'm not really hypochondriac to just this stuff all fucking happened at once. Yeah. I've been under twice. Um, once at the dentist 
by accident. He left me on too long on the gas. Oh, really? It was a really, I really remember it as like a vivid experience because I was a children's dentist. He put the thing on and I remember forgetting who I was. <laughs> and I remember, I remember like being, having like clear lucid thoughts of like, oh, I don't, I don't remember who I am. Like, I don't know my name. And then I remember getting to a point where I was like, I don't even know what I am. Like, right. I don't know. Like what? Like, I know I am. I am like, I know I'm something, but like, I forgot what people were. Right. And I, and it was really like, and then at the tail end of it, I remember hearing the dentist say, I hearing like someone say something like, you know, like doctor, is he supposed to be? And hearing him be like, Oh no, I forgot. Oh God. And he had left me on longer than he was supposed to. He had forgotten. Right. And then left the room. And then someone else was like, what's going on? Like a child is just like, shh. Like yeah, with forgetting her. his entire existence. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking after that, like, man, I remember so much about what my brain felt like. Yeah. When was that? The other time, the time I actually got like full on, like knocked out, knocked out, was when I had my tonsils and my adenoids taken out. And I remember it was like an overnight stay in the hospital. And yeah. I remember um, there was a, uh, I had a room, I had to share a hospital room with another kid. And I think that whether it was a stormtrooper or I, I, it might, I, I, my mom had given me like an action figure, like a Star right. Wars figure. And the other kid had asked if he could see it and somehow broke it, like just clumsily yeah. broke it. I just remember being like, like that was my like, yeah. What I was getting out of this was this. Yeah. This is why I put up with this shit, and you fucking yeah. And uh, he wanted to watch game shows, and I wanted to watch. Uh, I think there was an animated special, and it was either it was a Chuck Jones special. It was either Ricky Ticky Tavi, or it might have been a, a there might have been a, a Jungle Book one that right. was like a. But it was one of those I remember that was like a Kipling thing. I remember this kid just wanted to watch game shows. And I was like, game shows? Game shows to me felt like... It's we're like, kids, man. We're kids. We don't watch game shows. And uh, there's a cartoon on. Um, and I remember when they wheeled me to, to like the... Away from my parents, like yeah. the day that they were... When they were about to do the surgery. And it must have been so awful for my parents. Because I remember they were like wheeling me away. And I remember just screaming like, please... Please, like, don't let him, please don't let him do it. Like, really just begging them, screaming them. I remember my mom crying. And, because it is just, like, a little kid begging, like. It feels like E.T. Yeah. As a real kid, you're like, no. Yeah. And then I remember going into where I knew they were going to operate on me. Yeah. And I also knew, I, God, I could sense it. I knew all, everyone kept telling me, like, oh, but once you get your tonsils out, you'll be able to eat all the ice cream you want and all the. And I remember thinking, like, I know I'm not going to want it. Like, I know it's going to be bad. Yeah. And I remember the, the anesthesiologist, I remember saying to him, uh, I'm lying there and they're about to do the surgery. And he's about to put me under. And I said to the anesthesiologist, if I, I'm not going to let you, if I don't go to sleep, you won't be able, if you, I'm not going to let you put me to sleep, I won't be able to, you won't be able to do the surgery if I stay awake. And... 
I remember the anesthesiologist being like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like really yeah. kind of like dismissive. And I remember being like, it making me so mad how confident he was. And I remember right when I was like feeling furious at him yeah. that second, just out. Yeah. But I remember being like, how dare he like be yeah. so he confident. He's going to be you. Yeah. Um, and then when I came out of it, it was exactly what I thought, which was just like my throat hurts so badly yeah. that then they would come in. They're like, do you want ice cream? Do you want popsicles? I'm just like, no, I don't want anything. I want this to not have happened. Yeah. Um, that's the only time I've been out like properly out under anesthetic. See, I thought my colonoscopy was very pleasant. There's think, a lot. Of, there, I'll say this. There's a lot of. Um, um, what's the word? Um, I just forgot all the English for a second. Just now? Yeah. Uh, what the fuck is the sentence I'm trying to say? There's I, a lot I, of. There's a lot of. Um, um, what's the, the word that means that like. Um, It's the word. It's the word that. It's the word that means that people are, like, they say a lot of, they talk a, a big game about something without knowing it, knowing really about it. Like, oh, there's a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation. Misinformation, or there's. There's a lot of um, preconceived notions. Preconceived notions about what's going to happen in yes, a colonoscopy. There's a lot of preconceived notions about colonoscopy being this like. Um, Look, it's just some man. He puts his whole arm up your ass. Yeah, that's honestly people are like people are like, oh, you turn fifty and you get it fucked in the ass, but it's like everyone's seen that scene in Fletch and they assume right. that that's the thing. Yeah. Um, Look, all I know is a grown man puts his entire arm up to his elbow into your asshole, and they call it medicine. Yeah, exactly, and it's like no. That's the general vibe that you get. Right, and really, what it is is like a tiny camera. Yeah, it's a, a procedure where like they put you on a hospital bed, they put an IV in your arm, and then. You wake up and literally feel nothing. Yeah. You don't feel anything. There's no nerves in your colon, you know what I mean? So it's not like you don't feel anything. Yeah. It's not, you're not sore. It's just like, nope, that was that. Yeah. You helped me. Thank you. And then the people that people always say is they're like, like, well, the night before is the worst. And it's like, I honestly thought the night before, it was like, it doesn't hurt at all, like drinking the stuff. It's like, it's funnier than it is anything else. So it feels like you're in like a fucking cartoon where you're just like, oh, time to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like I find myself laughing of like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Off to the races. So anyone that's nervous about a colonoscopy or is like trying to put it off, like do not. It is so easy, so painless. And man, is it, will it stop bad things from happening? Yeah. You know, it's an easy thing. Let's start moving. Okay. I'm going to use the restroom real quick. All right. Um, I need a snack or something, I think. Yeah, because you didn't eat anything. No. Um, there's probably, uh, in the room over there, there's a, a craft, crafty, like chips and pretzels. and. Where's that at? The kitchen by the bullpen. Just follow that hallway. I'll take a look. I'll, I'll talk. Uh, or no? I carry a transmitter with me? Yeah. Um. All right. 
Um, okay, I'll put all my snacks in it. All right. Bet meet you back here in a minute, JD. Were these lights on before? I'm walking through this sort of the area of the, the offices at the Gethard Show where all the interns and the workers are. And oh yeah, here look. Chocolate chunk and all kinds of things here. Let me get a smart food and maybe a maybe a seltzer. That's what I'm gonna do. Let me get a seltzer from this. Oh, there's a hot uh, light bulb in the fridge. A whole thing of smart food and a granola bar and an apple. We didn't miss anything glorious. That was might have just been static because Sony's when they're not getting a signal, mm -hmm. just do nothing. Mm -hmm. But Sennheisers, which I'm using for the first time today, if I'm borrowing one, when they don't get a signal, they just give static, <laughs> which mm. is not helpful. Oh. Mm. Oops. Sorry for the noise. It's okay. What, what, summarize what you said. Mm. I was talking about my snacks I selected, which I've just summarized. I was also talking about how peaceful it is here and how... I can see how how easy it would be to just fall asleep in an office if you worked in Manhattan and you had the office cleared out and there was a couch. Right. That it would just be like, oh, I'll just go to sleep. Especially, I would think, if you had, like, the next day off, but you wanted to get up early and not mess with... Like, if you just wanted to, like... Uh, you knew you were, like, meeting a friend for breakfast the next morning or something. Right. That it would be like, oh, I'll just sleep here and then get up early and go for a walk in Central Park at, like, sunrise. Right. See, I can't do that, though, because I need to shower in the morning. I can go without if I know I'm going to get a chance to shower later that day and it's not, like, a high-pressure situation or something. Right. It's not socially unacceptable. Yeah, like, to me, the idea of... There'd be something appealing about how, like... You want to unplug that hand into me? What? You want to unplug this? Unplug what? This. No. No. Um, there's something about the idea of, like, right now, falling asleep here, and um, with the plan being that I'll wake up at the crack of dawn, walk up to Central Park. Right. Uh, early Sunday morning. It must feel nice to be someone that lives on Central Park. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, like, thinking, like, oh, and then I'll get a train home at, like, 9 a.m. or something. Right. Um, then I can shower whenever I want and go out and start the day again. But, like, there's something about... I mean, when I used to live in Manhattan, there was that thing about just knowing that, like, on a Sunday, like, oh, I'll just walk up to Central Park. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I felt that with like Union because I live in the East Village, so it was like Union Square and mm. uh, Washington Square Park. I was like, oh, I'll just go over there. I'll just go see what's. Oh, I feel lonely. I'll just go walk where there's 
hundreds of people all happy doing things, mm -hmm. and then you feel better. It was a good apple. Is it? Mm hmm No guarantees with apples. I'm a little allergic to apples. You are? Yeah. Actual allergic? Yeah, like my throat gets really scratchy. Oh. Not too bad. Yeah. Is that, has it always been the case or something that's developed? Uh, I think it developed, but it, allergies are the kind of thing that like they get worse over, you know, they get worse, not better. Because mm -hmm. I was always like, well, I'll just eat more apples then and teach my body to very... like it. And I guess that's not how that works. What do you think of the casting of the new young Han Solo? Uh, good. I, we, I went to NYU with him. Everybody seems happy about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I've only him. really seen him in that Coen Brothers movie, I think. I didn't know him, but I remember seeing Tetro and then everyone being like, yeah, he's like a grade younger than us at NYU. Oh, at the time? Yeah. Because we went to NYU at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think he's a year or two younger than me. But there was some story about how he got Tetro. Did you ever see Tetro? The... What do you call it? The Francis Ford Coppola movie? Yeah. It was good. And he was really good in it. Mm. So I feel like he'll be good in this. Is my guess. All right. All right. We loser, are moving loser, out. Loser, loser. Oh, yeah. Um... One second, I'm going to tie my shoe. The uh, area where I need to head to yeah. is sort of near Radio City, I think. Oh, perfect. that good for you? Yeah, because I'm just going to jump on the entry and go home. Mm. Home, home again, it's true. Okay. Want to click that light off? Yeah. Of last night's. That's great. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Is there a light switch here? I don't know where these lights are. In this cockamamie building. Uh, walking through the TCGS prop room right now, which is now, used to be a shelf and now is an entire room. Is there just not a light to turn off here? There was a, a pretty fun moment in the show last night where, uh, although we never, I never mentioned Buster Poindexter because I wasn't sure... I wasn't sure whether or not, uh, how seriously he takes that as a, 
alter ego. Right. And I wanted to err on the side of like respecting him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was a point where I, I was pretty deep into the tr- pretty deep into the show where I mentioned the fact that he was the ghost of Christmas past in Scrooge. Right. And I would say probably 25% of the audience went like, <gasps> and you could tell that people had been watching the whole episode having like yeah. a vague idea of who he was, but hadn't made the connection that they'd all seen him in Scrooge. And, I, and it, was immediate, it was really funny because it was such a... Uh, uh, like a wave. An like a unplanned shockwave shock of... Like they weren't... No one had thought to try to hide their surprise. They're like, "Oh, that's where we know him right. from." Did he? Yeah, I think that was funny. Yeah. yeah, he laughed. Um. All right. Alrighty. Ah, now here we are on 5th Avenue and 37th Street. In the big city. Across the street from the SNL exhibit. There's a funny moment, apparently, where after this, uh, we taped some stuff with Bobby Moynihan after his episode on the Gethard Show out on the street. Uh-huh. But apparently he walked out and noticed the SNL exhibit right across the street, and he was like, this is weird. He was like, that's weird that that, is, that exists. Uh-huh. It's like a museum to... It'd be like if you stepping out of somewhere and be like, oh, there's the TCS exhibit. And it's like, Connor Ratliff corner, you know? Yeah. Because Bobby is now, I believe, the fourth longest cast member ever on SNL. Wow. Or it's like, maybe it's not is, fourth, is, but is it's like Keenan the longest? No. Um, Daryl, Daryl Hammond? And then ahead of him is... Uh, For a while it was Kevin Nealon, right? someone else yeah I forget who but but Bobby I think is like top five or something which wow. is like crazy yeah um I was uh it's interesting the way uh the way culture works at the moment in terms of like uh Mr. Show just got added to HBO Go. Right. And Larry Sanders Show is returning to HBO Go. Oh, it is? Yeah. Great. And apparently Gary Shanley, he'd made a deal with HBO before he died, not thinking that it was like a legacy. Now, he's not thinking that he was going to, but he made a deal because he wanted Larry Sanders to be back on HBO. Right. And it is amazing how we now live in a, we live in a period where whether or not something is available in a certain kind of clickable way yeah. dictates whether or not another generation finds it. Yeah, but that was also always the case even for like DVDs, VHS, oh, yeah. Yeah. things that got replayed on TV because there's stuff that just got lost in the archives and is dead forever, you know what I mean? Yeah, like um, if something was syndicated properly, then we knew it because right. it was on TV all the time. Right, like and- Wonder Years. Yeah. There was a whole generation of people who never saw Wonder Years because... Of music rights. Music rights, so they would never sell it, and they would rarely replay it. So it was just like, yeah. Yeah. And you just... And at a certain point, some shows get to the point where if you if you skip a generation, you kind of can't get them back in the yeah. same way because you don't have the continuity of like, oh, my older brother watches that, and yeah, exactly. I watch it. Now, I, now my kid brother watches it or whatever. Exactly. Um, 
it's such a, um, but it is like, because uh, I, I was uh, talking about SCTV right. and about how like it got put out on DVD or a lot, a big chunk of it got put out on DVD by Shot Factory, which right. were really good at, I feel like they're, they're sort of what Rhino was for music a generation earlier for like certain things, just like this won't be lost. We're going to put it out so that it can at least like stay alive for another five years or whatever. I think they also did Hey Vern, It's Ernest on DVD. Oh, yeah? Which was a... The, the Saturday it, morning. Yeah, the Saturday morning show that won multiple Emmys. Mm-hmm. It was like a hit show, hit yeah. show, and then it just never ended up on DVD or VHS or anywhere, and you couldn't find it. And then I think they did a, like, late 90s, early 2000s, they did, like, one batch of DVDs of it. Did you get them? Yeah, I have them. Uh, I remember that show, and I also remember feeling like that was, like... Uh, that was the, the, the version of Ernest that I'm like, oh, this is like prime Ernest. Yes, it, like, was. it absolutely was. Prime Varney. How many of his regional commercials have made it to YouTube? Almost all of them. Oh, yeah? There was like a, you can watch like what I want to say is like a 45-minute supercut of all of them. That's great. Because it starts with like the local milk dairy ads and then it gets out to the regional dairy ads. Yeah. It's really um, fun. My favorite one is uh, one of the early ones. Where it's like, hey, Vern, I just got this new thermos. It's amazing space age technology. Uh, um, you can put hot things inside and they'll keep warm. But you can also put cold drinks inside and they'll keep them cool. What I want to know is how does it know which one? Or like, uh, Oh no, the punchline is like, it's like, but the thing I don't understand is, how does it know? Like the idea yeah. that it like. <laughs> that it's like smart technology. Yeah, that it like, it, it knows whether it's hot or cold and then opts to keep it hot or cold based on that. Yeah. It's like, you keep your hot things hot, your cold things cold. What I'm wondering is, how does it know? <laughs> and it's just like such a great, yeah, weird little joke. Um... You know what's weird is I believe I have a very clear memory of my dad quoting that exact commercial. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Weird. Another weird uh, looper moment. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, the... The one, like, I keep, but I keep thinking, like, right now, like, if some streaming service would put SCTV out, it's still at the point where there's an awareness of who those people are. Right. But, you know. In, like, five, ten years. Five, ten years, like, that window shrinks a little bit. Where it's, like, people are like, who's this guy? Yeah. Yeah. John Candy? Oh, John Candy. We are near Bryant Park now. We're on 40th and 5th Avenue. 6th Avenue, I'm sorry. And things are looking fine. 
Things, things are looking fine. Things, things are looking fine. Oh. Yeah, I, uh, I did a, a, a UCB like corporate show inside that SNL exhibit. Yeah. And you just do the show on the stage. But it's very surreal. Right. To do an improv show on a replica stage of... Yeah. Uh, the SNL stage, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Beautiful New York. Ooh, this looks really great. I wish it were just a tad bit warmer. Now we're just walking around. It's it's a brisk New York City. We're walking near the corner where we ended episode. What episode was it where you got into a taxi to go to the airport? Um, was it to the airport or was it just that the uh, I got in a taxi because? Um, or you had like a flight the next morning? I had a flight something? the next morning, and when we got to this thing, the 7 wasn't running at all. Yes, and I was just exactly. like, I gotta get in a taxi. But this is exactly where it was. Yeah. And I remember walking through Times Square and being like, oh, this place stinks. <laughs> so we're back there again. We're back. Are you excited about the new Space Jam movie? Uh, I've never seen the original Space Jam. Really? It's a really, yeah. it's a really fun movie, and the animation stuff is really well done. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen enough bits and pieces of oh, it, but it's just something that. I never. What's happening? What's that thing levitating in the air? Is it on a string? Do you see that? Yeah, that, it looks like a parrot. It's on a string. I see. What is it doing? I think it's just garbage stuck on the string. But the string was so thin, it just looked like there was this thing floating. Why does it look like a parrot doing a, a hanging from a wire? I have no idea. Maybe it is a parrot hanging from a wire. That's a big piece of garbage. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to New York, Leslie. Welcome to New York City. There's the Steinway and Sons piano room. You know, those are made in Astoria, Steinway. Oh. Yeah. They drive them over here? Yeah. And tune them and put them in display for the for the Richies. Oh, uh, they're um, I think later this summer they're going to show um, at Town Hall. I think they're doing a, a screening of the original Star Wars trilogy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a Alamo Draft House. Uh, What's the town hall? The New York Town Hall. That oh, like the actual. There? Okay. Yeah. Um, I might be a little Star Wars out. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I like this. Eleven thirty-three, Sixth Avenue. Like a when you walk by it, it all twinkles. Yeah. And then when you get straight on, it all stops. I like it. It's a good look. 
Yeah, it's uh, Saturday, August 6th, if you're interested. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I just sort of feel like it might be fun to see it with a group of friends who've never seen it together. Yeah, that could be true. I just feel like I've seen it so many times. Yeah, that but might also be true. I wonder if there'll be a joy associated with it now that I know every line, every word, you know what I mean? Especially what it, if it's any special edition at all. It is. It'll be a special edition. Then you're out. No, thank you. I've seen enough robots bopping each other on the head. <laughs> bonk! Bonk, bonk! Ha <laughs> He's stupid. Um, it is just a matter of time, though, before they make the call that, uh, in the same way that they made the call to, uh, clear the decks for the of the expanded universe it is just a matter of time before somebody decides look let's go ahead and just release the original unchanged version oh they're gonna do it yeah i guarantee you they're waiting until like three movies deep and then they're gonna release them and try to make bank off of them yeah man when are there gonna be two chick-fil-a's in manhattan Ugh. Do you see a de Blasio? Yeah, I, good for him, you know? He, de Blasio made an announcement that was, New Yorkers do not eat a Chick-fil-A. Which, imagine if you're a business in New York, <laughs> and the mayor of New York is like, don't eat there. Well, I feel like that company is, their decision to open these here is a deliberate provocation. Yes. Like, when they opened the one in Jeff City, I get it, they got a line around the corner, and it's all the people who listen to Rush Limbaugh, and they're they're doing it there to show their political solidarity, right? As much as they already eat a chicken with a pickle on it, exactly. But there is a thing about a, a chain that has been so overtly political in a way that is like the opposite of what Ted Cruz calls New York values, exactly. That they they're basically asking for that kind of response, which is like, hey, guess what, New York, you got lots of uh, food options. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I bet you could find a chicken and a pickle a lot of places here. Yeah. And that, that, that doesn't stand for atrocity and hatred. Yeah. I mean, you got a 24-hour McDonald's just two doors down. Ugh. Grosso marks. Oy, oy, oy. You can get a buttermilk crispy chicken. Ugh, that doesn't sound. Those words are deceiving. You know what I always find so interesting? What? All these jewelry stores that have to clear out their. That what? All these jewelry stores that clear out their shelves every day. So they can't be robbed? Yeah, like look at this. Doesn't this seem like a lot of work? <laughs> yeah. Also seems like there's got to be a more profitable place to sell jewelry than that storefront there. Yeah. Yeah, like that one. <laughs> yeah. We are now in the jewelry district, though. Oh, so glamorous. So glamorous. Now we are 
And I don't know, that, have we ever been in this area? Yeah, we have for 12-hour day. We've been adjacent to here. Yeah, Christmas. we walked, we walked yeah, through yeah. here during the Christmas hellscape. Yeah. Um, I do always get a, I probably mentioned this then, too. I always get a weird, nice feeling being around the streets where I, when I first would visit New York for Thanksgivings. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> well, we are very close to where Saturday Night Live is about to start happening. You know what's sort of cool? What? If we wanted to. Yeah. We could probably text or call people and just go up and watch right now if we wanted to. Yeah, if we really tried hard and, and swallowed our pride and, did, yeah. and didn't mind, like, texting about five people to try and really make it happen. Like, we're probably, yeah, just a couple Who text would you messages text? away. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Mouth it to me. Uh... uh or yeah. I think they could I think could help make that happen yeah but I, just the idea that it's like it's within we're a part of this world it's within the realm of, realm of possibility and for so many people it is not and it's cool to be like oh yeah we're doing the thing they'd probably make us shut our podcast down though yeah and also we'd look like doofuses what? Yeah. Uh, Magnolia Bakery, JD's favorite bakery in New Made York City. Made famous mostly by that Andy Samberg Uh And the feature film by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. around the basement of uh, Rock Center. Is it open now? What? Is it open now? I don't know. We can. Where's your play? I'm looking to see. Which play is it again? It Fun. is... Uh, Fun Home? No, no it's um, Stolen House. Um, it's right over there, I think. Um, it's that one where, it's that one where the improvisers take over the set of the play. Like, uh, Adsit is in it and Lutz and it's, uh, it's in a theater that has a play that's running. Right. And they just let the improvisers use the set for their play. As oh, if that's cool. It's their play. That's cool. Um, I used to do when I was in the first couple years I was in New York. A couple of times I did the twenty-four hour plays. Right. And that was always at the Atlantic Theater. Right. 
and they did a similar thing where because it would be on the Monday when the theater was dark and everyone would get to write their play to the set yeah. that it was there and I know one of the times I did it I remember being excited because the set designer was Santo Laquasto who is Woody Allen's like yeah. decades long uh, set designer so I was like, oh, wow, I get to act on this, like, set that... I noticed the Laquasto Film Society. What? That's, isn't that the Laquasto Film Society of Matter Reference? And, oh, yeah. Uh, 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 oh. Wes Anderson, Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, Boat. Yeah. What's it called? I can't remember. Oh, this is, good. This is an easy one. Everyone's shouting it. All of our listeners are shouting. Everyone's shout. Oh, let them shout. Let them shout the words. Ba 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 booey. What they're shouting right now, loud and clearly, for all of us to hear. Tweet it. Oh yeah, right now. What I want you to do, listeners, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and whisper it out loud. When I count to three, and when you do that. It'll make me remember what the name of it is. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Whisper it. A little louder this time. One, two, three. Whisper it. Something important is happening. Oh, that's the Blasio, I think. Yeah. 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 I believe he's in there. Uh, he drove by yesterday and someone was like, oh, that's de Blasio. Uh, yeah, so we were just talking about de Blasio five minutes ago. Yeah. And now he drove past us. Yeah. In a quiet little police processional. Lights flashing, but no sirens. What a world. What a world. Yeah. What a world we're living in. Um. Well, now it's just a, it's a nice evening stroll, you know? Yeah. Um. You think you're going to fall right to sleep when you get home, or do you think you'll... No, I'm going to eat dinner and then watch some NBA. Oh, there you go. But it's uh, really bothering that I can't remember the name of this movie. What's... The, wait. It's his name. What, what's whose name? It's Bill Murray's character's name. Steve Zizou? Yep. Yeah? Life oh, Aquatic. I, Life I aquatic. thought... Life Aquatic. Yeah. I didn't know that's what you were asking. I yeah. was confused. Yeah, I, I would have had that the whole time. Life Aquatic. Yeah. Yeah, because that's my favorite. Yeah, it's mine too, but I think something's wrong. Not really, but like, I just can't remember things. Uh... In front of Bobby Vans. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the brain just doesn't remember, and then sometimes it does. Yeah. Do you know where your play is? Uh, 100 is the address, so I think it's on the next little block, maybe. Oh, that would make sense. Uh, Are you going with folks to this one? Yeah. Uh, it started off, I think, as a stepfather's outing. Oh. Uh, but then I think we had some opt-outs and some opt-ins, maybe. I'm not sure, because Distin was one of the people who was going to come. 
And I think now he will not be because he no longer is in New York City. Right. We are near the majestic Delicatessen Cafe, right across from Manhattan's own Applebee's. And how majestic is it? Oh, so majestic. Majestic. Okay. Oh, it's just our neighborhood grill and bar. Just your neighborhood grill and bar. Why don't they say bar and grill? Isn't that the phrase? Uh, maybe that's, they were able to trademark that maybe. Yeah, right. Let me look and see. I don't feel like we passed where it was, but I do feel like we've walked oh, further than I thought it would be. But most places are on the other side, aren't they? I thought so. Uptown girl. Girl. There's the fun home set. I'm willing to bet that it's up here. What's that, man? I'm willing to bet that it's over here. All right. Feels like it. Yep. Down. Uh, were you ever around when that alien uh, restaurant was there? Yes. Uh, like Mission to Mars or whatever? Yeah. Mars 2012? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, this is at the N.L. Bernstein Theater. The Jerry Orbach Theater. Both of them. Both of them. Well, here we are at the destination point. At the destination point. What time is it? Where are we time-wise? We're, We're about five minutes from the... Let's do one lap down the end of the yeah. block and back. Not a bad idea. So we'll have to make up a little bit of time. Yeah. For... Uh, Oh, we just passed. There's an adult toys and video space. We can go in there and test our theory about eye contact. Oh, yeah. Hello, we're adults. Hey, we're all, we all know We all know what, what we're this here. is. Um, JD, do you think you'll ever direct a Broadway play? I would love to. I'd love to write a Broadway play and then direct it. Excuse me. If um, if the producers of Jersey Boys came to you and said, JD, yeah, we want you to reboot Jer Jersey Boys on Broadway, and honestly, you can do whatever you want with it. Like, yes, page one rewrite if you want. Absolutely. You have to keep the title, right. and. The costumes are not negotiable, but other than that, you can do whatever you want. Yes, I'm into it. I'll do it. <laughs> Left or right? Straight. What? Kind of, you're a madman. No. All right. Oh boy! 
It's crazy that place sells both alcohol and ghosts. I'll be here all week. And now we are right in the thick of the hustle and the bustle. You can probably hear that. New York City sound. Hong Kong. Beep, beep. Get out of my way, buddy. But the football. Okay. All together. You want to cross over? Yeah, let's cross over. All together now. Oh, you want? I can show you the old trauma offices. Yeah. They're blocked that way. Sure. They got turned into a fancy restaurant and luxury apartments. A fancy restaurant? Yeah. Ooh. I think, at least last time I was here. But it was a bummer because that was like an icon of the exploitation era was that offices. Like, all the books they write about that. Yeah. Talk about how disgusting the basement was and all the offices. So I do feel... Like it... I, I do feel a bit of honor that I was able to be there. While and it work was there. Still. Yeah. At the original offices where it all went down. Now we're just... Um we're in Hell's Kitchen. Which has become sort of a cool neighborhood now. Yeah. Now that it's not as crazy. Okay. It's funny because it's all these old brownstones that are being converted into restaurants, but they still have the brownstone skeleton. So uh -huh. it looks strange, doesn't it? Yeah. It looks sort of how the East Village looks, or uh, like Alphabet City, St. Mark's. Do you find it weird, like what I was talking about before, about trying to picture for going forward the shape of my year? Uh, do you feel weird not knowing that, like, really any either options that are already on the table for you or options that could suddenly appear the way they could very easily be a totally different, like you have a real... Everything is a much more starkly kind of choose your own adventure sort of yeah. format that like one option could mean, oh, I leave town for the rest of the year. Another could be, oh, I'm right here in the thick of it. One could be, I'm busy all the time. One could be, oh, it's actually like not bad. It's a, uh, it's a few days a week, but it's uh, more than enough to keep me occupied and allow me time to work on my own stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel fine with it, just because yeah. I let it all wash over me Yeah. as best I can. Yeah. But I think I've 
I don't let it stress me out because I know I'll be fine. Wherever. Yeah. And I know something will happen. It's not that nothing will happen. Yeah. God, it's so crazy because now looking at this whole block, it's, you know, back when I always spent time here working there at Troma was, what, 10 years ago now? Yeah. Nine years ago? Uh-huh. Even it's all that different. short amount of time, so much has changed. Yeah. Like this all didn't used to be restaurants and stuff. It was like weird porn shops. And yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah, Uncle Mario's certainly wasn't a thing. Here we are. This is it. What is now? The Irish pub? Yeah. Right next to the McDonald's? Or is it this one or is it? What's the address? No, I believe it's this one. Yeah, it's this one. This is it. I think. Let me see. Oh, yeah, this is it. This is it? Yeah. So you should go up those stairs? This used to be Troma Entertainment, which is now a gossip bar and restaurant. Yeah. And gossip with a fancy G at the, at the front of it. Yeah. An artistic G. Yeah. And it's, was Troma next to the Amish Market back then? Yes, it was between McDonald's and Amish Market. And that, the basement down there is where all the old props and posters were stored. And you would enter through that? Yeah. And I was there when we were like cleaning out kind of final shit. Like I found posters. You know what I have? It's crazy. I have a My Neighbor Totoro poster from when Trauma owned the license to it before Disney got their hands on any of the Miyazaki stuff. Yeah. So it's My Neighbor Totoro with the Trauma logo on it. It's like I think that's sort of cool. That is cool. And there's a bunch of these old exploitation posters that are just like crazy, like Nightmare Weekend and all these bizarre movies down there. And then. You'd walk up there, the first floor, you'd take a right, and that's where accounting was. And then all the new posters were the left. Lloyd and Michael's office was right there. It's with two windows on the second floor on yeah. the far right. Um, Michael's desk was right there, and Lloyd's was right there. Um, through this window was like the weird fucked up closet thing that was never used. Um, upstairs, one more floor, that was um, where all of the, like, Wait, what was the second floor? Let me think. Third floor was... I thought the fourth floor was interns. I think the third floor might have been print storage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was like storage of old prints. Uh-huh. Fourth floor is where we hung out, and that was where all the current prints were and all the DVDs and all that stuff to send out. That's where the intern hangout was. And on the uh, top floor, that was where all the editing was. And then when everyone left on Fridays, we'd all go up on the roof and everyone would set out chairs. And it had a beautiful view of the city because it was just like straight on. Straight on. It was like, I remember so many summers of just like everyone would come to the offices and it'd be like basically a party on the roof. It was really fun. So nice. <laughs> yeah. And then this first floor was a veterinarian's office that paid rent to Trauma. 
feel like there's one extra floor that there used to not be. They, I think they might have built an additional floor office. I don't. I feel like that. I thought it went Lloyd's office, then Lloyd Michael, and then intern, and then editing on top. But yeah. Wow. Uh, it's weird. It's always weird dealing with stuff like that, where like stuff changes and. Uh, you just gotta take it. <laughs> you know, like you just gotta like stand yeah. there and be like, "Yep, yeah, well, it's gone." And like there are huge rats downstairs because it's next door to McDonald's, so the rats would feast. Oh. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, Michael Emerson lives around here. Oh yeah. And one time we we're sitting outside, and my buddy Pete, who's hilarious, Brazilian, like abusive surf guy. Yeah. Uh, Michael Emerson walks by, who played Ben in Lost, and at yeah. the time we were all watching Lost. Friend goes, oh shit! It's you. You're fucking evil, man. And he just had the most look of just like, like the most look of like he gave us a nod of like thank you for watching, but just like Please I don't. don't want this. Yeah, I do this every day. Yeah, but I remember laughing so hard because like he walked by to me and was like, holy shit! It's that guy. You're fucking evil, man. <laughs> Because also the funny thing was, seeing Michael Emerson on the street was shocking because in Lost, the way the show worked is that you'd have these scenes where normal stuff was happening, and then the big chilling moment was suddenly his character would enter, yeah, and it wouldn't be a big deal. He'd just be like, oh, he was the, he happened to be in this doctor, and it's like, you, you knew that the fact that he was there meant that like, some shit was happening. Yeah. And all the flashback scenes. So you walk into your life and suddenly see him was like... Yeah, you suddenly feel like, oh, no. oh do I end up on the island? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah, I like the show that he's on now. It's ending. Person of Interest. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it at all. I kind of, you know, not to get another plug-in for CBS All Access, but uh, I do I don't kind know, of... What did they pay you? No, this is actually kind of a negative thing, which is that, like, Person of Interest and The Good Wife are both these shows that are on CBS that are kind of like... You know, CBS is so known for their, like, procedurals that are kind of, like, all one and the same, all right. kind of, like, crime and military procedural and all this... Right. But they have these couple of shows that are like, they have the the feel and the energy of like what should be a popular show, but a little bit of like the quality of a cable drama. Right. Blended in like it. And they're both ending like within the next, like Good Wife ends tomorrow and Person of Interest ends like in a few weeks. And this is one of those things where like my experience of watching CBS is going to be like, oh, they just like... Both shows that I kind of had an interest in are both ending. Right. And they also were both New York film shows that I had this weird feeling of like, oh, maybe like if I had timed it a little differently or uh, if they had lasted a little longer, they would have been the type of shows that eventually like tiny parts would pop up in them. Right. Uh, here and there. But alas. But alas and alack was not to be. For to be was too hard to live. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we're we're. I think we've reached the end of our 12-hour day, JD. I think we have. Will this be the first time that we end? Not, not on the subway. Maybe. Just on a city street. Well, I guess the other one was when you got in a cab. No, yeah. This this is a. Uh, we always end either at Queensboro with me walking through, having to walk through. Times it Square. might be. It might be the first one where we end it and one of us is going to specifically do something extra. Yeah. Normally it ends and that's the end. Like, that's the end of the day. Right. But I don't remember another one where it was like, well, and that was just a fluke of scheduling that I was going to be going to this thing that I already right. had a ticket for. Um, sort of a uh, flip side of the first episode, going to watch a movie before we start recording the episode. Yeah, exactly. We'd never do that now. We would just record the movie. Our last episode ever, we should end watching Wolf of Wall Street together. Yeah. Yeah, on the series finale. Or we'll watch The Wall of Wolf Street. Oh, what a great movie that was. It's a bunch of footage of a bunch of wolves trying to jump over a wall. (laughs) It it cuts right through the center of Wall Street. It's a real bad wall. Yeah. Kind of dreadful. This is a nice day, JD. It was. It was a very nice day. I, I worry I'm going to fall asleep during this uh, performance. I was thinking about that. I bet because, I bet it's, I won't, imp- because it's, it's improvised, I bet you won't. I, I think they have snacks. I'm going to get a snack for energy in here. An energy snack? An energy snack. You want to go to Bear Elegance Gentleman's Club real quick? Bear Elegance. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Gentlemen's Club. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Nice to see you. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Jander. Hey, I'm JD. JD, nice to meet you. Nice, uh, in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, very funny line delivery. Oh, thanks, that, dude. The one line in particular that I really liked. We're, oh, the transracial? Yeah. Yeah. You dick? Yeah. Hey, Dick. How's it going? How's it going? Um, I'm Vander. Florencia. Florencia. Very nice We're, to Oh, you just made it onto a podcast. Jacob. What? You're on the You're tail on end of our podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. You're in the last minute of 12-hour day, episode 11. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, How's it feel? How's it feel to be at the end of a podcast this long? It feels great. Eric? It feels really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to be on it. I've heard great things about the podcast, and we're excited to be part of it. Um, you got a message you want to say out there? Uh, just uh, you know, try new things. You never know when you're going to fall into a podcast, and you know, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing tonight. And I was we're at the end of our podcast. We forgot to mention that before, Bander. You're, curr- you're currently on our podcast. Oh, man. What, what podcast is this? It's 12-Hour Day with J.D. and Connor. Okay. Is it, we're, we're right at our at the end of hour 12. Yeah, you're probably in hour 12 right now. Yeah. Our, well, hour, so hour 13 if we run over. What's that? Am I going to make it in? Or oh, it's not edited. There's no editing. It's a 12-hour yeah. long podcast. All right. Yeah. Every episode. And so this is the end. Yeah. We always explain what it is at the very end. Yeah, at the very end, we finally explain what it is. What you just listened to took you 12 hours. It also sounds like this is a bit. This is not a bit. No. This is all true. This so is this what's is episode happening. 11? Yeah. Is this the 11th episode? This is the 11th episode. Hey, the next one's a big one. Yeah. Oh, it's 12. Yeah. 12 of 12? Okay. We got to go big for that one. This is, this is yeah. a hour 132? 
Uh, probably higher than that because we always go, go over. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> we run long. We're not disciplined. No, not at all. Is there a theme to this podcast at all? Is there any, <sighs> is there any prompts at all to any of the episodes? Or? No, no. Just you don't talking. title them. It's just whatever happens. Do you guys hang out? All yeah. Saturday, or is like, do you does it keep your separate lives? No, that would be a hard one. Oh, to that would, yeah. No, it's we, one in each year. We you follow. We meet up, and then we just it's a, the idea is it's an unbroken twelve-hour conversation. I see. So we started talking at nine forty-five a.m., and now we've just finished. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, honestly, it's quite industrious for a Saturday. Yeah, it's it's fun, and it, you know, it's made us better friends. Well, uh, you went to work for a few hours, and I yeah. I took over for a while. But you were, he was at the, he was at work, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, I'm gonna get off your podcast. Yeah. You right. well, thanks for being on the I'm podcast. Gonna... Do you want to plug it? Do you want to plug anything? <laughs> <laughs> it might be a few weeks before it actually comes out, and yeah. it'll require tw- not twelve hours of listening to get to it. I got nothing. It's a great place to put a plug. Yeah. People are like, oh, wow, what are we gonna do? I'll do that. Uh, what's a fake trail I could be doing? Great. Let's have that video you just did. Oh yeah, I did um, uncomfortable see so uncomfortable interviews with kids in the hall. See so uncomfortable interviews. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at John Bander. I had one good tweet like a week ago. Go find go it. Go find it. And because you didn't find it already. Okay, twelve heads. Go to at John Bander. It's at J O N N B A N D E R. And find what you think is the tweet and tweet at him and go. This it? Question yeah. mark. Yeah. Yeah. Please. And. I'll, I'll we'll take any <laughs> conversations I can get. Perfect. Right, yeah. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Cool. All right. We're, I'm sorry we're out of time. No, that's very fair. Don't have time for you to plug I'm sorry we're out of time. Yeah. Well, next next time. Next time, yeah, next yeah, time yeah, we'll yeah, get plugged in for you, Eric. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I like that we've run out of time. Yeah. Our apologies to Jeff Cesario. Uh, that's I'm Larry Sanders. I know. All right, I'm handing my mic over to JD. It's been a very good day. It's been a very good day. It's been a good 12-hour day. It's been a 12-hour day. I'm glad I spent this 12-hour day with you. I'm glad I spent it with you as well. Farewell, Connor. Farewell, JD. All right, I'll All see right. you guys. See you later. Ready? Have a good time. Yeah. All right. I've had a bad Well, now I'm just walking down the streets alone. I figure I'll give you a couple minutes here because since uh, Connor did three hours by himself. Um, and because of my headphones, it looks like I'm talking on the phone, so I'm a lot more comfortable just speaking out loud like this. Um, let me throw this into my bag. Always an excuse to not talk, right, J.D.? Um, yeah, it's been a good one. Uh, you know, again, I always feel like, I always feel like they're not good. I don't know what my expectations are. I don't know what would make me feel like it's a good episode. I think what it is, is I feel like I've exposed myself enough that I'm just repeating myself and I'm just, I'm not discovering anything new about myself, nor am I really discovering anything new about Connor. And he, to me, sort of feels like, oh, no, it's just this. Now are you guys just listening to who we are since there's no new discoveries? And aren't you going to get bored with who we are? That's how I feel. Um, Like when you have a best friend for a long time, and then, like, after a while, you're like, man, I've spent every day with this person. 
Not that I feel that about Connor, but maybe you guys feel that about hanging out with us. So I don't know. Um, I'm happy to go home right now, though. I'm walking uh, up Broadway to 52nd Street. Just a very beautiful view of the city, the Colbert Show. Um, Dieter is ahead of me. Oh. Yeah, I'm all exhausted right now. Not like minute to minute exhausted, like I'm not tired right now, but long term, I'm exhausted. Gotta pull out, uh, I got three more weeks to the Get Them Show. And then I, uh, and I have jury duty, I guess, is the next thing after that. But I think that'll be weirdly relaxing, since I'm not in charge of anything. I just let it all wash over me. Um, yeah. I went to jury duty once before, and everybody, they made us all sit around for entertainment. That everyone at Queens County jury duty watch Mrs. Doubtfire together. So it was like people from all walks of life, because Queens is a diverse, all laughing along at a Mrs. Doubtfire, which I just thought was a surreal sort of moment. Okay, so you call me then, okay? All right, so I'm just passing by the Ed Sullivan Theater here. All the lights are out. Except for one office. Someone's up late working at Ed Sullivan. I had to guess it's like probably an editor or an AE or someone. It's literally just one office. Huh. They changed the marquee to be all the lights move around. I don't think that was ever the case back when it was just a Letterman show there. I like this city, though. I think next week it'll be a little bit warmer. Right now it's a tad bit cold. But right when it gets a little bit warm, that's when I'll be happy. It's when I don't have to wear a jacket. When I'm just a... Oh, I'm not wearing a jacket, but I'm just a tiny bit cold. Right now I'm wearing a jacket and I'm a tiny bit cold. Which is just a tiny bit more than I want to be wearing. <sighs> Hope you guys are doing good. I wonder if some of you that started watch, listening to this podcast um, and needed it to like get through your job or anxiety or sleep issues or whatever, I wonder if some of you have developed or changed or don't need that anymore now. This podcast doesn't really feel doesn't really feel a need for you anymore. Um, I get that. That happens. I know there's shows that I used to be obsessed with because it was like it filled a specific need in my life. And I feel like our show is very much that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's people that were like, oh, I'm done with 12-hour day. But I don't think Connor and I are going to stop anytime soon. Even if the gaps get longer or whatever between when we do it, I doubt we'll ever go, all right, we're done. Even if it's like years from now and we're on different parts of the world I could see us going let's do one more episode and just keep going so I think this will end up being a pretty cool sort of long term project I think we'll see
already it feels weird that it's been two years. That feels like a lot of time. Because um, I feel like I've changed a bunch in that time. But who knows? Also, I will say this. I feel like sometimes we deflect having real conversations in this podcast by talking too much about movies and TV shows and things like that. I felt that today a little bit, which is why at times I got quiet because I was trying to reroute the conversation to, uh, you know, uh, the more human aspects of us. But, you know, I know you guys don't really care. You just enjoy it. You like listening. All right, I'm on 57th and Broadway. across the street here. Oh, light with the other one. Oh, I feel like this building here, this building has been like the bottom three floors been under construction for like five years. Sort of hate that. I wish there was a date at which every building in New York City needed to be in ship shop shape. Uh no cleaning of the facades, no any of that stuff. So that you can have one day where you walk out of New York and just see the city how it's meant to be seen, not under construction. But I guess that's also, you could say that maybe the city's supposed to be under construction. Maybe that is what it is. Maybe we're all under construction at all times. Metaphor. But I'd like to think that there could be this like preserved state of just like one day where it's like every building is being seen exactly how the architect meant it to be seen. And every storefront is filled up with the thing that it's supposed to be so you could walk through New York and see it, how it's all supposed to balance and how it's all supposed to look and how it's all supposed to bounce off each other. You know? Feels like New York always has some band-aids. It would night it'd be nice not to be sick sometimes. And that's the other thing too, is that you never you never realize or appreciate it when you're fully healthy. Because there's always something, even if it's tiny. And then when the bad things happen, the big things, your brain you're you always wish like, oh man, I just I wish I felt better. I wish I felt normal. And then when you are normal you don't appreciate it, because all you can do is think about the one tiny thing that's annoying you or the thing that's stressing you out. Yeah, I feel like your body changes its its meter for uh, being hurt or feeling stressed to make sure there's always something. You're never perfect. Unless that's maybe, unless maybe some, some of you are perfect. I doubt that though. Not because of you guys, but just because in general, I doubt that that exists. I wonder if, like, 100 years from now, anyone will listen to this. And it'll be weird because you won't be hearing street sounds or you will be hearing sounds of stuff that doesn't exist 100 years from now. It's like, whenever you hear recordings of, like, the streets from, like, like I think there's, like, recordings from, like, 100 plus years ago 
where you hear the streets and there's no cars and no sirens because there weren't any cars or sirens filling the streets as much. Um, I wonder if that there'll be a, a version of that for people to know this. Whoa. Passing in front of 222 59th Street. I'm seeing these uh, inside the windows. And there's these like beautiful, huge, high ceiling apartments. I can't imagine living there. How cool would that be? Yeah. All right. I think I'll probably let you guys go. Um, it's been nice sort of talking as I walk, though. Walking as I talk. This is a nice city. I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner. Now that my schedule's off, i got to make some decisions for myself here. Maybe Chinese? <laughs> Maybe. We'll decide in a second. There's Times Square from afar. I'm walking around along Central Park South now. I have been so for about a block. Passing in front of the uh, Marriott and the New York Athletic Club right now. See some couples walking through Central Park at night under the white street lights in Central Park, the lamps, and there's a lot of carriage drivers sleeping in their carriages, which those soon will be gone, right? They're going to be replaced by like Model T's or something. I don't know. All right. I don't know where to turn this off. I guess I'll wait till I get down to the subway. That seems like it'll be more convenient. But I guess that also means that. Ah, what time is it? Uh, uh, let's see, what do I do? What do I want? What do I want to eat? God, I can't decide what I want. Ah. All right. Just gonna I'm gonna go Rice and chicken would be really good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll go with that. I'm not going to do Chinese. I'll do uh, whatever they call themselves. Those guys. Pita hot. I'm going to get some pita hot. That sounds good, JD. Does it? It does. Also, it feels later than it is. 
It's only 9.45, or 10 o'clock, I guess. Or, oh shit, 10.20. Maybe I should just get Chinese, if I can just pick it up. Yeah, I guess I'll do that. Da 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 this will take 15 minutes off my eat time. Yeah, I'm going to order some right now. Hi, can I place an order for pickup? Uh, can I get sesame chicken? Uh, small. Uh, and fried pork dumplings? And two egg rolls. That's it. Thank you. Bye. Excuse me. If you thought I was being too nice, that was me being rude at the end. Oh, speaking of rude, a guy just blew his cigar smoke in my face. It's my dude. Blowing cigar smoke in my face like I like it. I hate that. Um, okay. Going down to the subway. I think once I get there and wait for the train, that's when I'll turn you off. But it's been a nice little walk. I've enjoyed this. Um... Guys, this has been good. You've been good listeners for all this. I appreciate it. All right. Now, actually, I'm going to turn you off. All right. Oh, and my train's coming. All right. Have a good one. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Oh, it's not my train. Oh, maybe it is. Happy 12th hour day. Happy 12th hour day. Did they forget?